Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with TELUS. This is being broadcast live and recorded live on November 20th, 2020. The time right now, 10.07 p.m. That was The Scam Man. And that is by a guy named Leonard Shea, who's from Canada. Not a very well-known song, but very appropriate for this show. And this is dedicated to Christopher Mitchell of Las Vegas. This is dedicated to you. And if you guys still want to donate to the Lee Bradbury Restraining Order Defense Fund, which we described on a previous show. We had Lee on here for a long time. Very sad and frustrating story, but uh, at least it has a semi-happy ending. But he was at $1,500. I've already made a payment of $560 to him, but he's still out $940. If you'd like to donate to that cause, please contact me in one of the ways I'm about to give out on this show. I'm still taking donations, and uh, I promise you, 100% of the money will go towards his defense fund and not a penny more. He will not make a penny on this, and all the money will get to him. Okay, so we have a free roll. It started at 9.50. I'm not going to reset it. So if you doubled up like bad guy did last week, I'm not going to bad guy you and send you back to starting stack. You can still get in until 10.15. It started at 9.50. You have 25 minutes late registration. Right now it's 10.08, so you got seven minutes on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Plenty of time to get in there because if you don't have an account there already, you cannot play because it requires a separate account. And that account must be validated, which I'm not going to do for you in the next seven minutes. So if you're not validated or you don't have an account yet, you won't play this week. But you have plenty of time to get over there if you do have an account that's validated. And it's $50 being given away this week. And it'll be 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third. No fraud online poker room. I'm going to pay you in pretty much whatever way you want except PayPal, because I'm banned from PayPal, but uh, pretty much any other way you can think of to be paid, I can do it. And that includes Bitcoin, Zelle, Cash App, uh, many others. So just uh, let me know the way you'd like to get paid, and I can probably pay you. Just don't ask for PayPal, at least not yet, because I don't have a PayPal account. It has been banned. But it will be cash money. It won't be on some crappy poker site where you don't want the money. This is Real Cash Money and our free roll. We give away every single week the only poker radio show or podcast to do this on a regular basis. I bet you cannot find one other in the entire world that does a free roll every single week. I don't know of one. We've been doing it for eight and a half years now, and we will continue doing it. This week, the money came from three sources, one voluntary, two involuntary. The voluntary one came from Willie at MechFML. Thank you to him. He sent me $25 tonight, so thank you, Willie. He's a regular listener and forum poster. We also took uh, money from two previous winners who didn't claim it, McAllen18, $10, and 15 from Gordman, both of whom didn't claim it. Or if they did claim it, I don't remember, didn't note it down, so maybe I paid them and forgot. But either way, uh, that's where the money came from. I'm not keeping it. If you do not collect your prize within six months, at any point I can take that money and roll it back into the pool. I'm never going to keep the money, but I may roll it back into the pool once six months pass. It can happen at any point. It won't happen on the six-month mark, but it could happen at six months in one day. It could happen uh, 10 months, 12 months, whatever, whenever we need it. So make sure to claim your prizes. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55-775-372-8355. That's also our text number. Seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. You can text before, during, or after the show. If you text during, there's a good chance I will read your text on the air unless you ask at the beginning, please don't read on air. Otherwise, I may read something embarrassing that you don't want people to hear. 
The Mount Charleston line is a different phone number to call into the show. Can't text it, but you can call it. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the number. It's an old 70s rotary phone sitting on top of Mount Charleston, which is about 45 minutes away by car from Las Vegas. A real mountain with snow on top during the winter. During the summer, it's very nice over there. It's only about uh, 75 degrees usually when Vegas is like 110. So check out Mount Charleston next time you're in Vegas, whether winter or summer. You can ski there, too. It's not the best ski resort, but you can ski there. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. We also have the call to listen line. This is not a number to call into the show, but is a number to listen to the show. If you don't want to interact with the show, you just want to hear it, you can just call 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736. That's the call to listen line, which is a way to just call up and listen. It works from any phone, does not require a data plan, does not require a computer or the internet, will not use up any of your data, and in fact, you can listen to it with zero bars on your phone as long as you can complete a phone call. And it never buffers, never freezes, it just works. 605-313-0736, over a million minutes listened to on there. Free call as long as you can call to the U.S. for free. And... If you have T-Mobile, it will cost you one cent a minute because that's what they decided to charge because it gets a high volume of calls. And there's nothing I can do about that. I wish there was, but there is not, at least not for the moment. We have an alternate call to listen line. Works the same way. If the first one is having some kind of issue, 641-741-1095 is that number. Are you forgetting these numbers already? It's possible. They're not easy to remember, and there's so many of them. Just go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com, and they are all listed there. A reminder, we have updated our radio player and our chat room recently, especially the chat room that got updated about uh, two weeks ago. So you can actually get in and chat now with any device. You need a Poker Fraud Alert forum account in good standing. But uh, with any device, you can get into the chat room now. It does not require Flash. In fact, there is no Flash on Poker Fraud Alert now. We've killed all Flash from the site because Flash is going away. So... The chat room is a new old chat room. It's a 2000s-style chat room, but nevertheless, it works, and it works from any device, and that's the important thing. You just need a forum account in good standing to get in there, and same with the radio player, where before that required flash. It does not anymore, so that should work from any device. Just go to the radio tab and press the play button. It may start automatically. It may not. If it does not, just press the play button. It will go. You can use that to listen to the live show or the streaming reruns, because when we're not live... There's always something up there. There's always something running on Poker Fraud Alert Radio when we're not live, which is a rerun of the show. It picks randomly and just runs it as if it is live, and then when it's done, picks another and another and another until we come back live on the air. You can find that on the radio page, and you can also hear it on the Call to Listen line, and you can also hear it on the TuneIn app. Speaking of the TuneIn app, the ways to listen to the show, I have an announcement about that. We do have all the same ways to listen except one, but I have added one in its place. So what we had and still have are iTunes, TuneIn. In fact, TuneIn can be used to listen to the live show and the archives. There's two different entries for Poker Fraud Alert Radio on there. We also have Stitcher, Bullhorn. Bullhorn is interesting. You may want to check out Bullhorn because Bullhorn has its own call to listen line that you can use to listen to the archives. So let's say you want to hear a previous episode, not the current episode or the streaming rerun. You want to pick a specific show from the past, but you want to use a call to listen line. Bullhorn actually provides that. They give you like a temporary call to listen number and they actually complete the call for you. It's a pretty cool app called Bullhorn and uh, search us on their Poker Fraud Alert. 
So we've been on there for a little while. Just not many people use it, but you can check it out. I think it's uh, got a pretty nice feature there. Then we also have iHeartRadio and Spotify that we added this year. Earlier this year, both of these work, both huge services, obviously. iHeart uh, iHeartMedia, I think it's called now. But iHeartMedia and Spotify are two other ways you can listen to the archives. And here's the new announcement. We had Google Play, but if you've been using Google Play, you've probably noticed it's gone. They have done away with Google Play. Not for us. They, they completely killed Google Play. It doesn't exist anymore. So you were probably directed to go to YouTube Music, which you probably tried and then found we were not there. And we're still not there. So what do you do? What if you were a Google Play user, like on Android or whatever? You can do it on iOS too. But let's say you liked using Google Play and uh, you're wondering where to find us now. Well, aside from those other apps I mentioned, we are now on Google Podcasts. Similar to Google Play, but this is uh, their newer product. So we're on Google Podcasts. So if you download the Google Podcast app on your device, you can search Poker Fraud Alert, and we are on there. So that's our new announcement. We are part of Google Podcasts in addition to everything else I listed. Of course, if you don't want any of that stuff, you just want to either download or play the MP3 file of the show directly. You can just uh, click the MP3 button on the radio tab. Just scroll down. You'll see all the different buttons to click for the different ways to listen to the archives. Click on the one for MP3. It will take you to our radio archives forum where you click on the episode you want, and then you just can click on the MP3, and it'll play, or you can download it, whatever. You can do whatever you want with the MP3. Except you can't, uh, you can't reproduce it without my permission. You can't sell it. If you want to listen to it, listen to your heart's content. But... Uh, you can download it. You can just like it's just about every device in creation today can play an MP3 without needing an additional app to do it. So that if you want it, like a simple way to listen to the show, you can just uh, click on the MP3 in the forum. A lot of ways to listen, as I said, and we even have the call to listen line. I mean, I, I can't think of a show out there. Forget poker shows. I can't think of any show out there that provides you more ways to listen, both live and in the archives, than this show. Like, can you name one? I can't. And why did I do this? Because I want it to be easy. I hate when people want to listen to the show and their favorite listening uh, app or uh, method doesn't work. And it makes them not want to listen. So I want to make it easy for you. Someone asked me about one called like Acast. I'll have to look into that one. I've never heard of Acast before, but I'll look into Acast. Maybe we'll add Acast too. Basically, I'll add anything as long as it uh, doesn't cost me money or at least doesn't cost me much money and isn't a pain in the ass. So... If it's a lot of effort every week, I'm not going to do it. That's why I don't put the show on YouTube. It's a pain in the ass. I could do it, but it's a pain in the ass. I don't feel like it. It's not a video show anyway. We will have a video show next month, by the way. That's in the works. It's not guaranteed yet, but uh, there is a strong desire to do it by those who did the show on the election night. So we're going to have uh, at least a tentatively planned sometime in December around the holidays. We're going to have a, another video show if you want to see, see the way all the co-hosts look once again or just enjoy the video format some people complain my beard was too long i i don't care you know like uh in fact i'm gonna do this i don't usually do this but i'm gonna i'm gonna read an email i got from a troll i usually don't respond to these things i usually don't even read them on the air because if it's constructive criticism okay but you know some people just send me messages either texts or emails or comments through the comment form that that are just meant to insult me and if that's the whole point of sending it to me i mean that's fine like i'm, I'm not going to cry about it i understand that comes with the territory here but 
at the same time, I'm not going to give these people attention. But I guess in this case, I, I will do it. And uh, this is a Bitcoin enthusiast, or at least he claims to be. In fact, he called himself Bitcoin, and he's a listener to this show. This is what he wrote, and I'm going to give you my response. This is an anonymous submission through uh, the Poker Fraud Alert contact form. Todd, because you had your blinders on concerning Bitcoin, you missed out on over $100 million. Really? If you would have put just 5 k on it when you first started bashing it, he's referring to in 2011, that would be your profit. But even if you had waited years to buy, you still cost yourself likely tens of millions and certainly millions. Enjoy your worthless dollars. You can use that for toilet paper. Come on. Todd, you don't know anything about investing and nothing about money, and you look like you are 60 years old. Get a haircut and shave, you bum. LOL. Go Bitcoin. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here, but let me give you a few answers, Mr. Bitcoin. First of all, to have made obscene money on Bitcoin, if you invested back in 2011 when it was like five bucks, like when I first became aware of Bitcoin, it was it was five bucks per Bitcoin. And right now it's like 18,600 last I looked. Okay, so yeah, you'd make a pretty uh, healthy profit there, so to speak. Uh, yes, if you bought uh, a thousand Bitcoin, then uh, you would have $18.6 million out of it. Not a hundred million, but uh, you would have, uh, you'd, you'd have uh, $18.6 million. So that, that's when I first started bashing it. So I wouldn't be a hundred million, but still, you know, yes, 18.6 million would have been very nice had I bought a thousand Bitcoin for 5K, which is what it would have cost at the time, and then held on to it until now and then sold it today. Yeah, I, I, I could cash it out for 18.6 million. But here's the problem. In order to do that, I would have had to hold it to until today and avoided the temptation to sell. And I think the only way I could have done that, the way, only way any rational human being could have done that would be if they were in a coma and then just woke up today. So if I bought a 1,000 Bitcoin in 2011 and then something really bad happened to me and I was sitting there in a coma for nine years and then they wake me up and there's a 10-year-old boy by my side and it turns out it's my son Benjamin who I haven't seen since he was one and uh, they go, Todd, I can't believe it. I can't believe you're conscious. I can't believe you're back. And I'd say, wait a minute, I just have one question for you. you know, forget my son being nine years old or forget asking what's happened to the world in nine years. Um, what is Bitcoin worth? What? 18,600? Sell, 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 sell. Like that would be the only way it would work. Otherwise, uh, there would have been many points when one could have dropped out, including uh, three years ago when it was more than 18,600. At one point, it was like 19,800 uh, at the end of 2017. And then after the crash, it would have been very difficult not to sell because it did look like it was going way, way, way down and people didn't know if it was even headed for like zero. So I, I get if you held on all this time, then congrats. But I mean, find me anyone who has. <laughs> I'm not saying there's nobody, but very few people. I, I wouldn't have. And I don't think uh, Mr. Bitcoin here would have either. He says, even if I waited years, well, it depends what years. Yeah, if I did it in like March 2016... Yeah, it was like $400 then. So yeah, I, I, again, not quite as much money, but I could have made a lot. But uh, again, Bitcoin had been slowly on a trudge down by that point. And uh, then it rocketed up between then and the end of 2017 when it got to almost 20K, and then it crashed to about 3K, and now we're back close to its peak again. So yeah, if you could see the future, you could have made a fortune here. 
But there were a number of people who bought in towards the end of 2017 that got beat down very hard because they saw it crash down to like a sixth of its value or worse. And they finally just dumped it and said, forget it. I give up. So, yeah, I guess if I had a crystal ball and I could see exactly when Bitcoin would be peaking, then I could have bought. But that could be said with anything. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, it's very hard to predict Bitcoin. I've tried. Others have tried. It's a very tough thing to predict. I will nonetheless give you one prediction. I think it's going to go up near its peak last time, then fall, because you're going to see like a panic sell-off because everyone's afraid it's going to crash before hitting 20K. And from that point, it's either going to continue going down or it's going to then come back up and break 20K. But there's going to be at least one crash before it breaks 20K or before it breaks 20K and sits there. It may break 20K super briefly, but like I, I imagine that once it gets around 20, it's going to fall, and then where it goes from there, I'm not sure. But uh, to answer the last thing, the last two things, he says that uh, my money can be used for toilet paper. Enjoy my worthless dollars. My dollars aren't worthless, and they're not going to be. In the distant future... Maybe even not not so distant, but not super recent future. Uh, cryptocurrency may come into widespread use, but it will not look like the way it looks today. This guy doesn't understand. This is what got him so mad last time. I said the reason Bitcoin is never going to become mainstream is because it's too hard. It's too hard for the average user. And it is. If you understand it well, it doesn't seem hard. It doesn't seem hard to me, but at the same time, I can understand why it's hard. I can understand why it's hard for uh, my 75-year-old mom, who is very smart, but just isn't that technical, and she would have a hard time with it. This would be hard for a lot of people who are not technical at all. If you are technical, then yeah, Bitcoin comes easy. But a lot of things come easy to people who have an aptitude for certain things. But for the average person, it's not easy. Something has to be very, very easy and intuitive to work with the general public and Bitcoin is not, nor is any cryptocurrency. And so far any adaptation attempting to make it easier hasn't really caught on or worked. So it would have to be something that's uh, much more user-friendly and it, it'll be sometime, something in the future. So I'm not dismissing cryptocurrency, but I'm saying that the current form of it is not going to ever get widespread use. And you can see that because look, look at all the years it's been here and how many things can you pay for with Bitcoin? Even things online, how often can you use Bitcoin? Like other than gambling, <laughs> how often can you use Bitcoin to buy something online? Like not that often. It's a good way to transfer money back and forth. That I'll agree with that, but it doesn't have that much practical use. In fact, it has even less practical use than a few years ago. Finally, about me looking like I'm 60 years old and I needed to get a haircut and shave. Well, you know I haven't gotten a haircut. That's pretty obvious. For shaving, yeah, sometimes I grow my beard longer. Sometimes I shave it shorter the moment it happens to be longer. I did the same thing five years ago, and I eventually shaved it back down. But uh, as far as me looking 60 years old, I will make a bet with you, Mr. Bitcoin, that uh, if you would like to, we can take a picture of me, and and we can post it on uh, some kind of forum. It could be Reddit, anything that uh, is neutral, that uh, no one knows me. And we can ask people to guess my age. We can post a few pictures of me, which are fair pictures, not filtered, not ones where I look older than usual or younger than usual, just various fair pictures of me. And uh, if anybody, if the average is over 50, you win the bet. How about that? You say I look 60. So uh, if the average is over 50, even 50, 
then you win the bet. If it's under 50, I win the bet. Okay, how about that? We'll do it even money. So let me know how much Bitcoin you want to bet. I will have to escrow, of course. I, I don't think I can trust you. But uh, if you'd like to take that bet, then we can arrange it. Pretty sure I don't look 60. I've never been uh, confused as a 60-year-old. Okay, so I gave that too much time. <laughs> See, this is the way to really get me to uh, acknowledge you for a while on the show is to send me a troll message. Actually, usually not. Usually I just uh, ignore that. This guy was clearly angry about the Bitcoin comments. I could totally tell. Like, this is some Bitcoin enthusiast who is like mad that I'm not uh, praising it and saying it's wonderful and it's uh, soon our money will all be worthless and those who are holding cryptocurrency will be the rulers of the world. It's not going to work that way. Though, if you were patient and if you were able to see the future and you held your Bitcoin that you bought nine years ago, then whoever did that is very, very rich. And I tip my hat to you. So here's the agenda, and then we will get going. We're going to do our interview first with Amanda Stinchcomb. She's going to talk about her life and about the Texas poker scene. We will get to that right after the agenda. Ty Stewart, the head of the World Series of Poker, had a talk with Chad Holloway of Poker News about the very controversial second World Series of Poker main event in 2020. So I will read you part of that and comment myself about what Ty Stewart had to say. A man claims that he was mugged in the Four Queens elevator and that the Four Queens is being very uncooperative, that they just want to wash their hands of it and pretty much pretend it didn't happen and really don't don't want to help him at all. That's what he's claiming. So he agreed to come on this show, but I could not find him tonight. So it's likely we will not have him on tonight, but maybe next week. Either way, I'm going to read his tweets and discuss his story. Bill Perkins is in another high-profile Twitter battle, this time with Doug Polk. He is complaining about uh, Doug Polk's recent disagreement, which was going on privately until Perkins outed it, with Daniel Negreanu regarding going over hand histories. Speaking of Doug Polk, he is continuing his match with Daniel Negreanu, that heads-up grudge match. And, yeah, it's been up and down. It continues to be up and down. And I'll tell you how that's going when we get to that segment. Various states are shutting down due to COVID-19. This has happened before. The states are shutting down in several ways, including casinos. I'll tell you about the casino shutdowns. And then later in the show, I'll tell you about the actual COVID shutdowns outside of casinos. I don't do much poker talk on this show, especially poker strategy talk, but I will go over a limit hold'em hand that I played heads up in the past week. It's a very interesting hand, and if we have Trader Ruski on by that point, he can analyze it with me since he's a limit hold'em player as well. may surprise you the way this hand went down and my thinking during the hand. It's very different than no limit thinking as you'll hear from the description of that hand history. This occurred on Bovada. I will go over some coronavirus stories, including Master Scaler. I'll give you an update on him and how he's doing, and about the Moderna vaccine that claims to be 94.5% effective. Of course, about the major spikes going on throughout the U.S. regarding the coronavirus. And I will finish with an editorial about the illusion of security, which I say is happening with masking, that I believe masking is effective. I believe it helps, but I also think it hurts because 
people believe they're safer than they actually are and they take risks they shouldn't be taking. I will explain that in full when we get to that final segment of the show. So let's get to the interview here. The interview is with Amanda Stinchcomb. And you might remember that name because she was on the show previously. A while back, like at least three years ago, maybe four years ago. Amanda Stinchcomb was a poker player, and she still is. She still plays poker sometimes, and she's going to talk about that. She's not a big name in poker. She first appeared on 2 Plus 2, basically saying, hey, I'm, I think, 21, 22, whatever she was at the time, and I've moved to Vegas, and I'm going to take a shot at uh, grinding poker for a living. And she was very upbeat and very accessible on the thread, and she was willing to listen to all the criticisms and... Uh, yeah, took questions and you know, people expressed their reservations about the whole thing, about that's not easy to do, which it isn't, to just show up in Vegas without a big bankroll and expect to support yourself in poker, especially when you're very young. So uh, she gave that a go, and that's, that's when she got to be known in poker. And not too long after that, uh, I ended up talking to her and asked if she'd like to come on the show, and we had her on here, and Brandon was on with her too, and and we had the interview. So some of you remember her, but a lot has happened in her life since then. And she contacted me this week and said she'd like to come on and talk about that. And also the Texas poker scene, which we don't talk about very much on the show. We talked a little bit about it, like some attempts to bust some of these Texas rooms. But Texas is very weird because most of the card rooms in Texas are uh, like illegal or quasi-legal card rooms. It's, it's a very weird situation over there as far as poker is concerned, and she'll explain it better when we have her on here. So it's going to be kind of a dual-purpose interview. One is so you guys can listen about the Texas poker scene, and two, so you can hear about uh, all the things that have happened to her, because she's been through a lot since she was on here last, and not all of it has been good. But in case you're worried, it's going to be a depressing interview, much like our interview with uh, Lee Bradbury, A. Hoosier A., recently. While there will be some frustrating and uh, not-so-uplifting elements to this interview... Uh, you'll hear at the end that things have worked out and that she's doing well right now. So uh, that's a little bit of a spoiler here. But just to let you know, you're not going to hear someone uh, who's going to tell you about how everything went in the toilet and they're still there. So we're going to call her up. I'm a little bit late on this. But we're going to call her. Hopefully she hasn't fallen asleep. It is in Texas. It is uh, now 12.30 a.m. there. We're going to find out about what's been going on in Amanda Stinchcomb's life. She's obviously still pretty young because when she appeared on 2 Plus 2, I think she was 22 and it was like four years ago. So I think she's 25, 26. We'll ask her. Much younger than I am, much younger than most of the listeners to this show. Going to give her a call. I I met her in person in uh, 2017. In fact, there's a picture floating around out there of her holding a knife to me in a restaurant. I kid you not. She really is holding a knife at my throat. In a Korean barbecue restaurant in 2017. Hello. Hello, Amanda Stinchcomb. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Welcome back to it. It's been a few years, but uh, yes. you you have returned to the show, and we've been talking on Facebook recently, so happy to have you back on here. And I watched over the years everything that had been going on with you, and I felt bad to read a lot of it sometimes because... Uh, Looked like it was very tough, and then we'll get into that uh, mm-hmm. shortly, everything that happened here. So when you made your first post on 2 Plus 2, was it in uh, 2016? I think it was 2015, okay. if I'm not mistaken. It might be. I think. Sometime around there, yeah. It's yeah. been like five years. 
Okay, and and so you were you were like twenty six now or twenty seven? Twenty eight. The twenty. Oh my goodness! I can't believe you're yeah. twenty eight. Wow! I, I was. I my guess is you were like like around twenty six. That was real. I, I would have never guessed twenty eight. I was going to think twenty six, maybe twenty seven, maybe even twenty five. But uh, like twenty eight. Wow! Everybody's getting old. I yeah. I still I still get carded. So no, you you don't look twenty eight. I've, I've no, I've seen in the pictures. You don't look like you're twenty eight. It's kind of the reason this surprises me. Also, just like I, I remember, like I met you three years ago. You just seemed so young to me. So like it's just hard to picture you near thirty. But uh, I'm near 50 now, so I'm way past where you are. So anyway. Yeah. We... Yeah, it's crazy when I think about uh, how long, it, and it's been like seven seven or eight years since I learned how to play poker. And just like thinking about how much it has happened in a short period of time. I yeah. feel much older than 28. But... Yeah, no, that's understandable. Like when a lot of bad things happen, stressful things happen, you can feel like it, the time can go very slowly. And it can feel like uh, a long time passes. Like I, like I had a terrible situation happen to me in, in 2018 with uh, some psychological issues. And I mean, I, those were the longest like three months of my life. So anyway, yeah. um, uh, so let, let's talk about here what happened. So you, you've, going back to the beginning, you moved to Vegas. What, were you 22 at the time or 23? Um, I think I went out to Vegas. Right before I turned 22, because I didn't start playing poker until my 21st birthday. So by that year, so then I think I posted the thread the following year. Okay. So, so you had already been in, okay, so you'd already been in Vegas. See, I I didn't go back and reread the thread. So I was 22 when I posted. But, okay. Yeah, I think that's what it says. Okay, in so the... you so you had been in Vegas for a year, and you had been playing poker for a year by the time you posted that. No, I had uh, I'd actually so I went. I learned in California, and then I went to Vegas, and then I went back home to Delaware, and then I went back to California, and then I went to Vegas, okay. and then that summer that I posted the thread. I had just gotten back to Vegas. Okay. So, so at the time you were trying to be uh, like kind of like a, a low limit, uh, low to mid limit grinder who was going to uh, support herself through, uh, you know, like live poker play in Vegas. Well, when I posted the thread, I had been playing for like, I'd been playing for a year. I didn't really do much else. I think I got, it's really fuzzy. I I think I had gotten a job at Dunkin' Donuts for like two weeks, but that was the only job outside of poker that I had. But that was because I was living in Delaware, and there's there was online. I think I was streaming online before I went out to that. I'm not sure, you know? Wait, what do you mean you were streaming? What were you streaming online? Your poker play? I did stream on, while I was doing that thread, I know in the beginning of the thread, I was streaming some poker. I did do poker. Oh, really? So a lot of people that that wasn't big back then. That's that's gotten a lot bigger in recent years. But back then, the streaming yeah. uh, the streaming poker was not a big thing. Well, actually, yeah. You, uh, I was listening in. You guys talking about Bitcoin when Bitcoin was three fifty four hundred. That's when I was streaming online right before Bovada got like split into ignition, and I had I was playing. Oh yeah, no, because that was after. I mean, that was after. Yeah, I streamed after that summer. Yeah, I was. I'd gotten sober. I remember those yeah. days well because I had like like forty Bitcoin that I had won on Bovada, 
and cashed out. <laughs> and and then I right. sold it I just before, it. like just before it shot up in, in like around March 2016, I sold it all at a, like a small profit and I was very proud of myself. And then uh, and yeah. then it just rocketed up. I was like, no, I finally held those 40 Bitcoin. Of course, that, that guy was making fun of me before. He's going to make fun of me even more now. So, okay. Oh, man, I had I had Ethereum when it was like 925. I had like 20 of them. I was in there with like two Bitcoin from Bovada because when it switched, it was like I cashed everything out. I didn't trust Ignition, so I just kept everything in Bitcoin. And then uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to buy some of this Ethereum because this one's the only other cryptocurrency in the entire Coinbase platform that is worth anything more than five cents. So I'm going to buy some of this. <laughs> <laughs> and then I sold it all by the end of 2016 because I had taken like I think like four or five months off of just life like I just took a life break and I had my Bitcoin and I was using my Bitcoin to kind of live on the profits that I had made and then oh really right so, so you were kind of sold it all and it all like shut up and I'm just sitting there like oh man oh okay so you a, you sold it because $5,000 sheets that bought my grandma like <laughs> So, so you were uh, so, so you were selling it's, you were selling it at the time to kind of live on during that second part of 2016. And yeah, so like in 2016, Bitcoin was like just getting kind of like like businesses were picking up it as a uh, a way to pay for stuff. Like Overstock used it. There were tons of like online sites that were like, "Hey, buy your stuff." Yeah, I remember that, and then, and then a lot of them dropped it since then. But yeah, that. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. I know that's that's what fueled it going up like that. Where there started right, to be some right. attempt at mainstream adoption, which didn't really stick, but uh, it, it pushed it up after mm-hmm. it had peaked uh, at like twelve k, and then fallen really badly. And it was like slowly, and then started slowly going down, 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 down. And you hit around four hundred, and then and then it uh, it rocketed back up in, in two thousand sixteen. So okay, so so then uh, what? I know the big turn in your life occurred when you. Uh, you met a guy who you ended up uh, who ended up getting you pregnant. It was a boyfriend you had. Uh, now, b- before that, though, were you still playing poker for a living when that occurred? I think you were in L.A. when you met that guy, right? Yeah. So I was out uh, when I met him. Uh, I actually met him through like a guy I knew from the underground, uh, L.A. underground. Um, I'd been out there playing pillow. In the, uh, at a couple underground games out in uh, North Hollywood, and I was doing really good. I think that dude, like, I was living, playing poker, and... <laughs> okay, so you, so you were still... I guess this guy... So this guy just kind of, like, saw that I had money from playing poker, and, like... That's kind of why he like approached me. Oh, so so you're saying that that uh, boyfriend you met at the time actually came to you because you had money and he didn't. Yeah. Really, I, I didn't know. See, I didn't know that for a living. So I had a really like I guess carefree life. Like back then, I you know before I got pregnant, I just smoked weed all day and played poker all night and like went to the beach when I wanted. Yeah. So, like, this dude, like, you know, getting, he he was young, he was, like, 21, and he's, like, you know, living with his family, getting bitched at for not having a job, and he sees me just, like, not having a job and doing whatever I wanted, and I guess that's kind of, like, because, like, 
I guess he saw that. Like, so, like, that's the good part of playing poker. But that's, like, not me in a downswing. Me in a downswing is, like, not that. <laughs> well, right. And, I, and I've, said, I've said this to a lot of young players before. And they, they always dismiss me when I say it. But the, the problem is uh, the problem of being a, a professional poker player and supporting yourself with poker when you're young is that uh, sometimes the, the decisions people make uh, during that time that, that can be uh, – that, that, People can lack the maturity to make the right life decisions to support themselves with it. So when they're going well and winning uh, every week, then, yeah, everything's going fine. And then once they go into a downswing, then things can fall apart. And that's why I've seen so many poker players in their 20s, including some really, really talented ones, uh, go bust and disappear from the poker scene because of, of, of they, they don't manage everything well. And, and it can be tough to manage everything well when you don't have the life experience to do it yet. So, so that and, – and, of course, this also – like you mentioned – the whole poker lifestyle attracted this guy into the whole scene because it, it can look great. You don't have to work a regular job. You're, you're playing a game. It seems like money just flows in and it can be, it, it can falls be from a tree. Yeah. It can be very know, appealing. It's like, backyard, like yeah. I walk out the door for three hours. I play a game. I come back in and you know, I can order lunch now. And yeah. My rent. And you have, you have but, more money. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's not always like that. And the most important part is like, you know, there's the cliche minimize, losses and maximize your wins so like part of minimizing your losses is like knowing how to bankroll your life to like catch you for when you're in the downswing like you gotta expect the downswing the downswing's gonna happen you can't be like oh i'm gonna win 100 percent of the time or even if you have that like 65 percent 64 percent even 56 percent whatever you have the win rate right and you're in that upswing and you're living your life the way that you can afford to because of what you bring in. But you also have to like take into consideration like anything you have. And like the fact that like COVID just destroyed the entire like live poker ecosystem just goes to show like there's no security in being a professional poker player there's no paid leave there's no unemployment there's no there's there's nothing to kind of like catch you if you like lose yeah your job, well and right? a lot a lot can change too like the games can get tougher the games you were playing before it can dry up there's a lot players of things that get better yeah players get yeah, yeah. their money yeah, yeah. So, so there's a lot of things that can change over time and and doing well today doesn't mean you'll do well tomorrow and you could just have a, a losing streak where you just get really unlucky for a while and uh, and then and then you start to question things like was was I ever good or was I just lucky the whole time or maybe the game changed right. and passed me by you start to have all those thoughts when you start losing so uh, and sometimes those those sometimes that's the truth and other times you're just getting bad luck and sometimes it's a combination of a few things anyway so so you you're with this guy and and I didn't know he was younger than you that that part I, I knew he was not old but yeah, I saw I saw pictures first, of him first person that I've dated younger than me I think my whole life <laughs> okay See, I, I saw pictures I saw he was a young can't, guy but... can't say I'll ever do it again yeah like... well well when people hear what what happens you'll, you'll they'll understand why so um so how, how long into the relationship did the pregnancy occur oh man super so so like i just have to like say this because like before i met this dude and made all these super bad decisions my older sister passed away in like a super tragic car accident right oh wow Uh, and i had only been sober for just barely a year right and i like completely lost my shit and uh i was making every bad decision that i could without drinking right so i was like a dry drunk right i was smoking weed but it was 
It was for, uh, so I found out I had a folic acid deficiency that causes neuropathy. And I was, I've been in like a lot of pain for a long time. So I smoke weed because it helps a lot. And it's not like a bunch of painkillers that make me dumb. So, or, you know, because of my past, I prefer to not be on the painkillers. But, so she, she dies. I lose my shit. I, meet this dude not making the best decisions and he you know I'm like vulnerable I'm I'm very vulnerable like around people I'm very open I talk about like my weaknesses and the stuff that I've gone through and stuff so like you know that opens me up to people taking advantage of that and he just happened to be somebody who was a predator and he listened to everything I said, and then he used that against me. Um, I have a very traumatic past, so I had, you know, a lot of stuff that could be used against me, like triggers and stuff like that. And he used those, and he knew what they were, and he figured out what they were. I found out I was pregnant, um, five weeks pregnant, and it was, I was in Vegas at the WSOP, I think it was like, so beginning of June, mid-June, I found out. In, in, in 2000, found it was in 2017, out. right? Yes, 2017. Yeah. Um, Mid-June is when it, so I hate to say it, but I'm pretty sure that conception date-wise, oh, I got knocked up like the first time we hooked up, which was super crazy because I was actually told by the doctors I couldn't have kids. And oh, then wow. I didn't know that either. Miracle baby with like the worst person yeah, that, <laughs> could ever be with. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is unfortunate. Uh, of, of all people. Super cute to be kid him. though. Like I'm not mad. Like genetic wise, not, not, not a bad pick, but you know. Yeah, I know the, the, the guy ended up being a jerk. So, so, so let's let's get to what happened there. So, so I'm, I actually met you during that World Series when you were pregnant. Yeah. I, I had seen you around yeah. the previous year, but we didn't actually meet. You I and just, Brandon are like he, Brandon and Larry, like saved me. <laughs> yeah, so that, so she, uh, so, so I remember you needed a place to stay. Uh, was this because he left me? He left me. He he deleted all of the contacts out of my phone. I. Uh, so, like, I suffer from PMDD, which is, like, a hormonal thing, and um, it it makes, like, my hormones get really crazy. So, when I got pregnant, um, my hormones spiked. The reason that I kind of, like, I had myself committed because, like, my hormones did, like, they just, like, kept getting worse, and I was, like, late, and I was, like, oh, man, and I, like, started feeling, like, super, super seriously depressing feelings like that I hadn't felt in years and I was like there's no reason I should feel like this I'm like way over this like I worked through this I shouldn't feel like this I was like I need help I got committed you know the first thing they do when you go into the hospital and you're gross they give you a pregnancy test so I'm like sitting there like just fucking panic attacks back to back constant not going away just going through all kinds of, like, I've been, we had actually been living on the streets in Vegas and in the tunnels, like the Vegas tunnels. Oh, see, I didn't know that like either. So, a so you, okay, so you and the, I see, I didn't, I'm learning some new things here too. See, some of the things I'm asking you, I already know the, know the answers. Some of these things I don't know either. So, so you and the, and the boyfriend, you went to Vegas with him. I didn't know that either. And then you, you two lived in the Vegas tunnels. I know about the tunnel stories, but I didn't know about you, so, you live there. Yeah, I've got like, I'm, I'm telling this story super backwards. <laughs> 
But, so, like, I meet him, right? And then the series is coming. Let me, like, backtrack. I'm going to backtrack a little bit and, like, try to put this in order. My brain is okay. always crazy. So, I meet this guy. The guy that I was with when I met him was, like, this alcoholic dude. We got into, like, this super really big fight, and he tried to fight this other guy, whatever. I wound up leaving where I was staying and staying with a friend. After I left and stayed with that friend, this guy hit me up once he knew that I wasn't with the other guy. And he hit me up. And uh, I let him come stay with me at my friend's house. And then my friend was like, we were making plans to go to the go to the uh go to vegas for the series and he was like okay i got this other friend that you can stay with and then you know i got this job for you for the for the dude i was with who's gonna remain unnamed um (laughs) i was with dude and my friend and we were going to vegas and like this moving truck to move like it was like a job like a moving job from la to vegas so we get to vegas we're staying at like a Holiday Inn, I think, in Henderson, and uh, it's like 117 degrees outside. Well, we go to sleep after we get there, and when we wake up in the morning, my friend is gone, and <laughs> he, like, doesn't answer the phone, and he had just left us there <laughs> and, like, went back to L.A., and there was nowhere to stay, so, like, you know, our room was up, and we had to, like, go outside. Did you have any money at that point? Very little, if any. I was calling and talking to several people. And so, like, this guy was super jealous. So we were outside in, freaking 115, 120 degree weather. And because the people that were offering me help were guys, he was refusing the help. So he would rather have us outside because he didn't understand poker. So, like, he didn't understand, like, backing and, like, like stakes. So, so he was he was he jealous that if, if a guy was helping you, he thought that meant you're gonna have to have sex with him or something in return. Is that what he was afraid right. of? Right. That was that was like he's he's um his family's you know from from Mexico and Nicaragua and and they're very like they're not gamblers. They don't gamble. They're very you know th- they do good things with their money. They're smart with their money. They invest. They save. They're very, you know, humble in the way that they live, regardless of how much money they have. Like, that's how his whole family is. So, like, when he's thinking about people giving me hundreds of dollars to, like, play a game, he's not really understanding why they would do that. So, like, I kind of understood. I made excuses for his jealousy towards that because of, like, the standpoint of okay so you just you just don't understand because you've never been around it so like you're only saying that because you're frustrated that we're outside but it was really just me making excuses for his jealousy and and um so we wind up going back to we wind up like getting getting to the closest casino was like a stations casino and we're sitting inside and, you know, when you're playing slot machines, you get free drinks. Yeah. Um, so we, I think, you know, my classic move is go to the penny slots and put whatever I got in there and just hit the button when they come around. And <laughs> so we're in there and he's getting drinks. He's drinking and I'm trying to, like, figure out what we're going to do and he's drinking and he's starting to get, like, increasingly more 
like, aggressive and, like, verbally abusive. And um, he's, like, telling me, you brought me here. I don't know anybody here. I shouldn't have came out here. Like, now, did he know yeah. you were pregnant yet? Or he, did, did you know you were pregnant? No, we... Okay. No, we did not. So, as he's getting more frustrated we like go on the side of the casino in like a walkway and we're sitting on a bench and he's like one of the security guys walked by and he's like he's been by the way he's like a super hardened criminal he's like committed all kinds of atrocities and it's oh like, so, th- so this guy had a bad he had a bad uh violent criminal history is what you're saying he has no he has no morals whatsoever like he will hit a woman a child a man a fam like he's He's very, I don't even know what the word for I see. the type of person he is. <laughs> well, okay, so so, uh, so so what happened there with the security guard? He's a sociopath, guard? I suppose, right? So he's like, I'm going to hit you in front of that camera so that I can get arrested so I can oh, wow. go to jail. Because going to jail, at least I have, you know, somewhere to sleep and it's not hot and they'll feed me, right? Wow. So he's like... He, like, threatened to hit me just so that, you know, he would get arrested to get away from me so that he would, you know, be able to secure his own safety, whatever. I'd only known him for, like, two months at this point. Not not really. <laughs> These are the dangers of jumping into a relationship. Right. Well, it, it's, it's stupid, too, because if he, want, if he really wanted to spend the night in jail, he, there's a very easy way in a casino to do it. You just walk up to a blackjack table and grab someone's chips off of there and start walking, and then they'll, they'll come over and arrest you. That's, that's a Wait. quick way to end up in jail. You don't have to hurt anybody. So, so he decides to forearm me in the throat um, and then run. Right? So I'm, like, sitting there, like, choking uh, and uh, I had, like, turned, right? Because he had, like, said something right before he hit me. So I was, like, in the process of turning towards him. So, like, I get so, like, when you turn your neck, it kind of, like, I guess, puts the trachea a little bit behind the neck muscle. So, like, the way he hit me, he hit my neck muscle instead of, like, my throat, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that doesn't um, sound good. But still, like... I couldn't talk or use my throat for, for for probably a good 20 minutes in shock. And so he runs, and then I guess, like, one of the security came over and asked me, and I, like, filed a police report, and, and then, like, all of that. And then I'm, like, leaving. And he – I have my dog. By the way, like, this whole time in Vegas, I have a dog, a mini pen, like, it's – 12 pound mini pin with me uh is he was my uh my ptsd dog right so i brought him with me everywhere so he's with me like this whole time in like outside and everything and uh so after the police go after the police report the dude hits me up some i I forget how he contacts me but he contacts me and i think he like used somebody's phone to call my phone and tells me to like go across the street to the Walmart across the street from the casino and I don't fucking know why but I did like I went and he like apologized you know whatever he's like you can't leave he guilt tripped me like can't leave me out here I don't know anybody I'm sorry I'm just you know hungry and I go back and we wind up because we're still in Henderson for the beginning part, and then after that, 
we're at Walmart, so we find some money that gives us a ride towards the strip. And then we wind up staying behind Venetian and Palazzo. There's, like, one of those tunnels entrances, like, on the back, on the street behind. So so you, you stayed in the tunnels that night in, in the entrance there? Yeah, there was, like, this lady. There's, like, people who live down there. They, they clean them out. Like, they, like, go through and purge all the tunnels throughout Vegas because they're flood tunnels. Yeah. So people die all the time. Yeah, from flash floods. I know people die in there, yeah. Yeah, so um, there's, like, this lady out there. We had, like, slept up on, like, the ledge right on top of, like, the the drop. So, I mean, there were tons of other people down there, like, a bunch of shit down there. Um, Everybody was pretty chill, you know. Uh, this crazy psycho, like, in the morning started lighting random stuff on fire. And I'm like, what? Like, and I'm like, people live here. Like, you're lighting people's stuff on fire. And then, like, he's like, oh, this isn't nobody's stuff. And then we're, like, sitting there later. And they come back and they're like, oh, man, somebody somebody burned my pants. And, like, go like, fucking figure. <laughs> so... So in the tunnel, in the thing, so this is what leads up to me getting committed, right? So then I get committed. They put me on a permanent 72-hour hold because I have a I have a lot of uh, abuse in my past, right? So, like, I'm not always, like, when I'm having an episode, which I used to have serious episodes. I don't, I haven't had an episode in a really long time. But I used to have episodes of, like, flashbacks and stuff. Where, um, like, if I woke up from, like, a night terror, I wouldn't be able to, like, separate, like, oh, hey, I'm awake now from, like, the flashbacks and the nightmares. Um, so, when I woke up in the hospital, um, there was, like, it was in a room that was separate, like, there were female side and a male side, so I woke up, and when I woke up and I looked across, the like, three dudes and I was like naked in a nightgown and I just like lost my shit (laughs) and I like jumped off the bed and like hid under the bed and like under the blanket and like kind of just like burrowed under the the hospital bed and then uh they they wound up moving me when they moved me to their their psych unit they have like a row of like rooms that's like no doors like 10 stalls and then they have a big glass room and they put me in the big glass room in front of the nurse station and they kept me in there and while I was in there my kid's dad gave my dog away okay so and, so uh, and, and so so you were in and had they, they did the pregnancy test though did it come back positive yet yeah so it comes back they put me in the room and then they come in I thought that I was pregnant, so, like, as I'm losing my shit, they, like, keep telling me that they're gonna, like, give me, you know, the needle to sedate me, and, uh, I'm, like, can't do that till that pregnancy test comes back, and then it comes back, and then they still threaten to sedate me. I don't really know how to explain it. Like, it was definitely an episode. Like, I was going through so much, and I was just kind of, like, my brain was just kind of broken. So after they come in and they're like, you know, pregnancy test results are back and came back positive, like, oh, nonchalant, like, and I was like, 
Good. You came back what? Like, are you sure? <laughs> Asked him like five times <laughs> if I was hearing it right. <laughs> so then I called out to the guy and I told him, and he's like, okay, so my uncle is going to come, come pick us up from Arizona. He's going to be here in like an hour or something. And they're like, he's going to be here tomorrow and they're going to release you. And they released me. He tells me that my dog was just like, Somewhere where they're just like holding him for me. So, so you're, say, you're saying he? You're saying was this uh, the the boyfriend? Yeah, um, we'll call him BD. Okay, so so BD. So, so B, BD got uh, uncle came from Arizona and got you and then brought you to, to BD. Like how, how did how did you get back with? I'm missing no. that part. So when I come out of the hospital, while I was in the hospital, BD was like sleeping outside of the hospital. Okay, like, sleeping in the hospital, like <laughs> just hanging around it. Um, he, and when I came out and I was talking to him because he had, because BD had told me that his uncle was going to come and get us and take oh, us his back uncle. Okay. Okay. To Arizona. Yeah. So he tells me that his uncle is going to be there in an hour. And then the next thing I know, we're like waiting for his uncle. And as his uncle pulls up and he like drives across like further across the parking lot away from me and bd says all right just wait right here i'm gonna go put our bags in the car or no he said that he's gonna go get the bags because they were checked at ballet he goes and gets them and then he tells me to meet him down the street at the gas station so i go down the street to the gas station and when he comes back he gets out of his car takes the bags out and he's talking to me and then he tells me that there's not room in the car for me because it was like a truck. So they're like, he just like gets in the car and leaves. My bags had been like put in like like uh, like some sewage water. So like two, like I had two suitcases and like a a book bag. One of the suitcases and a book bag were just like soaked in sewage water, and uh, that was like all I had my name was two suitcases and a book bag and that at that point I think that's when I reached out to to you and Brandon and that's when I like came to hang out with you guys I was at Palazzo if I'm not mistaken yeah which where I can't, I can't, I can't even go anymore I've been banned from there but uh so, so yeah. you, <laughs> I was banned from there when I went in there every single time since 2014 when they caught me in the garage with a joint no really no, I, I got and a black guy I, I I got banned. A black guy, and they accused me of doing a drug deal <laughs> just because, like, and believe me, that's not what it was. And we hadn't even smoked it yet, but we were planning on it. We were totally going to, like, that was definitely going to happen. They just called us beforehand, but they accused us of doing something that it was it was crazy. So, just like little sidestep story, when that happened, uh, Metro came to the Venetian, like, security office after they patted me. They had a female uh, security pat me down, and then a female security pat my friend down. And then when Metro got there, security pats my friend down and finds some shit on him, right? That has nothing to do with me. And then uh, this male Metro officer comes over to me and starts patting me down, and he gets ready to, like, 
pat down my boobs, and I'm like, man, if you if you keep on patting, I'm gonna start screaming. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> so like, <laughs> okay, let, let's get let's get back to the what happened in uh, in, in 2017. Um, so so you, I remember. You, Brandon told me that uh, you had contacted him, and you, you were, and you also contacted me. It wasn't just Brandon. You you contacted me and Brandon about mm-hmm. having a place to stay, and and you had mentioned that you had uh, just left your abusive boyfriend. Uh, so so what was the, the what I'm still missing here? What was the actual thing that made you just get up and leave and be done? Because that, that's what I was under the impression was happening there. From a hip, no. So it's a, it, it took me a little bit longer to get a to get away from the the, the okay the so you had, you, relationship. Okay, so you hadn't actually left him yet. That was uh, so so. But but what if? No, so he left me. He stranded me in Vegas and went oh, with his uncle okay. in Arizona. Okay, maybe that's was cool. Okay, maybe then, maybe that's what I'm confused about. I knew I knew the boyfriend was not around there. I knew I knew at the time that he was very jealous and I knew that he would never have been yeah. okay with you hanging around with us if uh if he was still in the picture, but then he was gone. So I, I had thought you had left him for being abusive. I, I guess I'm I'm confusing something. So yeah, all right, so I know I, when I was hanging out with like uh you, Brandon and, and Larry and we were like you you guys were like playing the baccarat and stuff and then I went over to Venetian. I was banned to play the one two five figure that they had running. Um, I signed up, I told him my name was like Alicia, I think, or Amber, just to be ironic. And uh, <laughs> that I didn't want a card. So I sat down and I played and I was playing. And then like BD started blowing up my phone while I'm playing. And I actually texted Larry and was like, hey, I still want to play, but this dude won't leave me alone. And I don't think I can win while he's fucking with me like this, so I'm gonna cash out. <laughs> so you you cashed out, and, and, then, I, and I remember. You, so then I th- I think you stayed with Larry for some time in his hotel yeah, room. Yeah, stayed, stayed. Larry was awesome. I stayed with him for like a week or two, and he uh, he almost was like he was he was kind of like a father figure, I guess. Kind of like during that, he was like very protective of like me being pregnant, right? Because he has a wife and a little... He had a wife... A little, little baby. Yeah. His baby was, like, two or three back then. So, like, for him, it was, like, you know, me being pregnant was kind of like, oh, man, I can't believe this guy just, like, totally fucked you over and you're pregnant. And he was just, like, trying to make up for it but being nice. So he let me sleep on his his couch and and he fed me. I remember I tried to eat, like, this, this veggie wrap from the Venetian kitchen, and it was just it just looked like grease poured onto a bun. <laughs> so, so you stayed with him there for two weeks, and then where did you go after that? That's what, that's kind of when I lost track of you. I knew you'd stay so, with Larry there, and then uh, what happened after that? This is where it kind of gets a little bit worse. He leaves me. I call as while I'm at Larry's. I call my dad, and my dad's like, when I told my dad he was I was pregnant, he. I think he kind of broke a little bit, and uh, <laughs> he got really drunk after not drinking for a long time, and then told me that I was the reason that he got drunk because I was pregnant. So that wasn't an option; like I couldn't go back there. And then my mom is just God bless her heart; she is just not there in the head, and by no fault of her own, she's super sick, so couldn't go there. Very, very toxic. So I didn't really have anywhere to go. 
Vegas wasn't where I wanted to be and be pregnant. And then I had, like, all this guilt of, like, not knowing, like, am I going to not have a father for my kid? Like, for some reason, that was, like, some kind of, like, instinctual need that I had, like, to for my my kid to have a father, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so that, like, that, like, drove my decision to, like, move in with my kid's dad's mother, the my kid's grandmother, for his father, right? So I, I take, take my pregnancy on a bus to a train and then take a 23-hour train ride to Kansas to live with BD's mother. Was he there or just her? Well, no, he was still in Arizona. So BD is still in Arizona because he left me in Arizona. And then he's in there. I get, so we're now looking at like the beginning of July, right? Two weeks later. From mid-July, if I know I'm pregnant, two weeks later to end of, or mid-June to end of June, beginning of July is when I go to Kansas, right? And so I get there with his mother. His mother seems cool. His mother talks so much shit about him. Like, I could never even... The only, he, she, she always said, she always said, chinga tu madre to him. And I always thought it was ironic because, you know, she's saying, calling him a motherfucker. Yeah. But the way that it's said in Spanish just is like, fuck your mother. <laughs> yeah, she's his mother, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so she was, so you were there, how long were you there with, just living with her without him there? I'm there for two weeks with just her and his little sister and his stepdad, right? And, uh, right around two weeks, he in Arizona gets into some, some, he gets drunk and starts beating up his uncle's wife. Breaking stuff. Great. And gets arrested uh, for 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 domestic violence and, and vandalism, and uh, so he goes to jail. And he's in there for like five days. So when he gets out, he can't stay with his uncle anymore. So his mom lets him come back, gets him a train ticket back to Kansas, where I'm at. Happens to be the night before my birthday. When he gets out, he like he's like all like super cold to me. So he he basically treats me like super nasty, short tempered, all of that for like not like abusive, just like rude and not nice for like two weeks until I get a pregnancy confirmation, and then I get the pregnancy confirmation, and he's like I thought like after we leave he's like. And I pulls the car over after we leave the clinic, and he pulls the car over before we get back to the house, and he's like, you're not allowed to do anything unless that's how you can do it. You can't go anywhere with anybody unless I'm there. Like, you're not taking my baby and doing anything with my baby. That's it. That I don't say that you can do. And I was like, you've been like a super dick to me for the last two weeks. Like, where is this coming from? He's like, well, I thought you were lying. I thought you lost the baby and we're just saying that you had it, right? He basically locks me down in his brother's house and cuts off, like, when I can talk to people who I can talk to. He, like, hovers over my shoulder when I'm on the phone and threatens. Like, he had, like, threatened. If I wanted to leave, I had to have an abortion. And if I stayed, he was going to treat me however he wanted to treat me, which wasn't nice. Um, He had 
another daughter with a woman who lived in his hometown where we were now at um, that he had started sleeping with while he was with me. Um, so, so wait a minute. He, he got he, another woman pregnant uh, while he was with you? He has a third third child that is four months younger than my son. Oh wow! And there was a first, and there's a first child before that too. Yeah, and then there was a child that's eighteen months older than mine. I oh wow! So he he, he, he so he was constantly getting everyone pregnant. He got he got that uh, first person he's pregnant got, before like, you. Magic semen or something. Yeah! Wow! That's, that's crazy. That's, be better. If, if, a lot of babies really fast. You think he yeah, start? You, you think so, he start using protection after all these times, but he doesn't learn. <laughs> so, so how did you feel with this? Where, where there was a, another baby with uh, somebody else that came after so your honestly, pregnancy? Like it, it might. I don't. I don't know how this is going to sound, but like my. So his first kid is a girl, but he's uh, he's Hispanic. So like when we found out that my kid was going to be a boy. He kind of got attached to the whole first son thing, and at a certain point, I was like, like, I knew she was pregnant, but I didn't know if it was a boy, but he was, like, still clinging to, like, being in my kid's life, and I was really trying to cut him out of it, right? So, so how did you eventually cut him out? Like, what happened? What was the final straw that made you cut him out and, and leave? The final straw was, um, it was the two two-part event uh i was on the phone with my dad trying to book a flight to leave and uh he i was trying to do it in secret and um he i was like trying to be super vague but he caught on he got really violent after he figured out that i was trying to leave and he made me cancel the plane ticket so I canceled the plane ticket, and then my dad stopped talking to me because he thought that I stayed by choice. So that was the, that was the first thing. What, what, what was the second thing? The second thing is he had asked me to wake him up for work. Uh, he had gotten a job, finally gotten a job, and asked me to wake him up for work. This was a couple of days later. And uh, so in the morning, I start trying to wake him up, and he gets... Uh, he gets mad at me, but his mother said that if he doesn't go to go to the job, or if he loses the job, that we have to leave the house. So he has to go to this job. Like he has to wake up. Like there's no other option for us right now. Um, that would be any better. And so he gets mad and decides to take a good twenty pound pillow and hit me in the face with it. Um, he had. He had already, like, restrained me, hit me. Like, he had already, like, physically been abusive for weeks. Like, in ways that were, like, not leaving huge bruises or busted lips. But, like, he was still being physically abusive and forceful. And um, I didn't really have any say over what I did at any point anymore. So when he hit me that morning, uh, I had been sleeping with my Bible that night and like praying all night and then I uh, I just I just uh, I found the strength to hit him back and then he punched me really like ten times harder and uh, then he went to the bathroom assuming that I would stay 
because I've said already so many times, right? And I just I just grabbed my book bag and threw what I could remember to throw into it and just ran right past his mother out the door down the street. I had no idea where I was because he didn't really, like, I wasn't allowed to leave the house. So, like, I didn't know where I was going. I just knew that, like, on one of the drives that I went on, I saw a church, so I just, like, <laughs> prayed that I could get to the church, and I got to the church, and I hid on the, uh, like, those little fans, like, the fan things that are outside. There's, like, a whole, there's a fence around there, so I hid in the fence. And I actually called my mom first, and then my mom told me to call the cops, so then I called the cops. And then when the cops finally got there and I told them who he was, once I said his name, like, all five cops that were there all looked at each other, like, and then one of them was like, really? That one? Like, they all knew him because he had a record in that town, like, uh, like, in decade long. So they take me to a woman's shelter. I go to the woman's shelter. Um, I'd been in contact with a uh, my dad's brother's cousin, sorry, my first cousin. Um, he had been deployed, and when I got to the shelter, he had just gotten his um, his orders of like come home. So. He offered for me to leave the the shelter and come stay with him and his wife in Colorado. And then I got to Colorado. And that's where I do the whole being pregnant thing. And then I have my baby out there. It's super rough. It's super warm. It's just kind of me. Um, they worked and then, you know, they did shit. So it was just really me in the house for myself. Um, I had, like, a, uh, there's this nurse family partnership program that, like, helps first-time moms with, like, a certified lactation consultant, and uh, I had one of those come to my house, like, every two weeks and talk to me about babies and teach me how to be a mom, and then I had my baby. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, <laughs> and uh, it was super rough, super rough. Still kind of super rough sometimes. <laughs> well, there, there was one, there was a, so there was a whole a second thing that happened. So, so uh, I know that uh, the kid ended up in in foster care. So what? And then there was a battle you had to get yeah. the child back. So what, what? What caused you to to lose the child? And and when was this? Like, how old was the child when you so, lost the, when you when they took it away? So, okay, so when when my son was this is the end of he was born in two thousand and eighteen. So. Toward the end of 2018, actually, I think it was, so I lived with them from August 8th of 2017 until August 15th of the following year. And then I moved into, like, a assisted living for, like, single moms and single parents in Colorado. While I was there, I had somebody that I had met throughout whatever throughout the years reach out to me and um offer me a job dealing poker in austin um and i had been looking 
for a job in Colorado for months and nothing paid above ten dollars an hour and all I kept thinking was I'm never gonna be able to give my kid any kind of life as a single parent if I don't make enough money like that equates to a two person income, right? So I'm like I dropped out of school. I got my GED but I've never been to college and I've played poker for a living for five years so I have no work history for a long time. Um, so I didn't really like even though I have skills and I'm intelligent and I can do a whole lot of stuff like I don't have the paper trail to like prove it I guess. Um, so I took I took a chance and I'd taken quite a few chances on my own but it was like even even harder to take that chance like with a kid now I have a kid to think about I'm like man I don't know what if it doesn't work out and I just like ruin my son and I's life and like you know I can't come back from this and then so, I'm so, like, so, so you moved to, to Austin <laughs> to take this uh this poker job this poker dealing job yeah Okay, yep. so so and, and where did you did you get your own place there? Like, where did you stay in Austin? So I stayed with the uh, the guy who offered me the job. Um, uh, we shared a two bedroom apartment. My we got the master bedroom. My kid and I stayed in there, and then he stayed in the other. He was the GM. He helped me. He taught me how. He brought a poker table into the um, living room, set it up. It had speed felt and he brought some decks cards and he was like just practice until you can pitch the cards where you want them to go and I spent the first few weeks um, pitching while in between mothering and all that kind of stuff and I think I finally I think the date that I actually started dealing was November 4th was my first day actually dealing. So is the, no, yeah, November, the, so November 2018, about uh, two years ago. Yeah. So you, you started yeah. dealing and, and uh, okay, and, and so that was, uh, so you got that job. So right here at this point in the story, it sounds like it's not that bad. You've moved to Texas. You actually did get the job. You're able to do to do it. So, so how, how, and you, you had a place to stay with yeah. this guy you wanted to help. So, yeah, so that, actually, how, the worst how, thing that's ever happened to me in my life actually wound up turning into like the best thing that happened to me like. I wouldn't have my son and I would not have, you know, the, the stability in my life that I have right now enjoying what I do on a day-to-day basis if it weren't for, like, that catastrophic failure that my life had imploded so, upon. So, so, and you're talking about what was about to happen when you were going to – so what, what happened there to make you lose the child? So I move out to Austin and I'm working and uh, I start playing again and – the job, that, the the card room that I first started working at, we had some irreconcilable differences, and I decided to move on. And um, I started, I got hired on at Cowboys Card Club before it closed uh, at a high enough hourly to where uh, if I needed to deal, I could deal, but I was playing. And then tentatively... I was dealing at Cowboys while playing from March until August. Cowboys actually wound up shutting down like in May, so I was only technically in 
enrolled at Cowboys as a dealer for two months, but I still played until August. So it was just like playing for those months. Once they shut down, I just kept playing. And then I kind of hit a hard spot in July uh, because in June is when the Cowboys shuts down and then I go into a downswing at the same time. And then the girl who had been living with me, uh, she decided to leave. Uh, last minute, she had an emergency or whatever. We'll, we'll call it that. And uh, so I was kind of left high and dry. Didn't have anybody to watch my kid. And uh, I, without anybody to watch my kid, I couldn't work or play. So um Get super tight on cash real quick. I had reached out to my cousins, the ones that I stayed with while I was pregnant, to help me out. So, like, they said they'd come help me out. My cousin's wife comes out and says she's going to help me watch my kids so I can work. So she comes out and, yeah. I was in the process of moving to my own apartment, right? I signed a lease, so I was moving out. And uh, she was going to help me do all this stuff, get back on my feet, you know, just a little hiccup. And instead, the morning after, so like 12 hours after she gets there at night, and in the morning, she's like, I go out that night to go play, I go play, make like 400 bucks. I come home at like three or four in the morning. I laid down to try to sleep. Uh, he wakes up pretty early. I just like constantly hear him like just being unhappy, right? So I'm like, I can't sleep. I can hear him not happy. So I like keep getting up to like check on him. And then, uh, Finally, I'm just like, whatever, I'm not going to sleep. And then she's like, hey, I'm going to go to the store. Do you need anything? And I'm like, yeah, here, here's 20 bucks. Let me get uh, get him some uh, Pedialyte. And I was still smoking cigarettes, so it was like a pack of cigarettes. And she's like, okay, and I'm going to take my bags down so that when we move, it'll be easier. And I'm like, sure, okay, you know. And then she's like, I'm going to leave these pajamas here on the chair for for tonight, right? Just put a nice in on, on, on the cake here. Because when she walks out the door, five minutes after she walks out the door, she sends me a text message that says, I can't do this. You smoking, if I'm around you smoking pot, I'm going to lose my job or some shit like that. And basically saying that, like, She's just ditching me. She ditched me and then told me that I was, like, a a horrible person for smoking pot, which she knew I did before she even came out there. And her and my cousin have talked about being cool with, like, a bazillion times and didn't think it was an issue. And if it was an issue, she knew before she came out there and never should have came out there. But she comes out there. And then the next day, CPS shows up at my door. So she, um, did she report you to see? She reported you to Child Protective Services. Yes, yeah, she called them and she made this super long, elaborate report 
about how um, I was smoking pot around my baby, how I was drinking all the time, how I was having people over doing doing uh, doing meth and and smoking crack in my house, like all fucking complete blatant lies because I've been sober for four years at this point, aside from smoking pot. And so, so, so they they believed her and they took the kid. So they came. So I'm in Texas. So they came. They showed up at the door. I don't. I didn't know that I didn't have to let them in. You don't have to let them in. You don't have to answer the door, and you don't have to cooperate. Like, they, and then that's the first thing that I didn't know. Second thing I didn't know is I didn't know I didn't have to let them take my kids without a court order, because <laughs> that's not the impression that I was given that they. They gave me it's apparently CPS is like it's separate from the government, like federal state laws don't apply to CPS. So when they come in, they ask me to do a cheek swab, and um, I just take in like I think like two milligrams of like an Adderall because I have like two hours of sleep and have like a full day of shit that I had to do um work included so like they got me so I complied with the mouth swab and it showed up positive and then I told them that um I took Xanax for my anxiety and my night terrors but I didn't have the prescription so they used that and then, uh, and then the marijuana, of course, I tested positive for that. And because I didn't have any family or anybody that could stay there with me to um, supervise my kids while I was around, they took them. Hmm. Okay, so um, so so what month was this that they took the child? June fourteenth. June fourth, you didn't you know the date? Yeah, okay. So, so June fourteenth, two thousand nineteen, and uh, and I know you had a a court battle about this that lasted uh, at least six months. This I saw from our uh, conversation history that in December it was still going on of uh, yeah, two thousand nineteen. Took eight months. Okay, and, and uh, eight months to get them back. And, and what what were they looking for? And I know you had some issues where it seemed like you were going to get the child back, and that, I saw a lot of the frustration on Facebook in your posts that you it, it seemed like it was going to happen, and then and then you were uh, and then they would find a reason not to. So what what were they looking for as far as like what were they looking to see before they'd return the child to you? So as I've mentioned, and is I've been very open about I have uh, PTSD. Uh, severe PTSD. Um, it was diagnosed as chronic PTSD because it was ongoing and for many years. So the symptoms are, I guess they're a little bit more complex for ongoing trauma. And I have a lot of panic attacks. So like when CPS came in, I was having panic attacks because I was exhausted. I was having panic attacks, a lot of panic attacks. I was, um, not eating, and I was losing a lot of weight. Uh, I was like 110 pounds. Um, I was really sick. So when the interviewer or the investigator was in there and she was talking to me, and I was like barely holding it together, um, 
knowing that I have no grounds or no reason for them to let me keep my kids. Like, I know that I look like a complete wreck. And I have these people who, I have a person who is in the military and a second grade teacher that just reported me to CPS. There is absolutely no way that they're going to take my word over this, right? Mandated reporter, like, it's, I tested you know, I'm just everything like I'm just like predicting. I know that it's just gonna it's gonna be bad. So I like wind up for me. I always take a break when I'm like getting overwhelmed. I'm like, hey, I tell the interviewer I'm gonna go on the balcony and call my dad. So I go on the balcony and I call my dad. And you want to know what the interviewer put into the report? You put into the report. You're gonna jump? Up there yelling at myself. Oh, I thought and they were. Like, I, I, the front end. I thought they were going to put in there that you. Went, I thought they put in there that you were you were you went out to the uh, balcony to jump. So they didn't put that. Just that you were yelling. No, just close. That I was that I was screaming belligerently at myself. Oh, okay. Um. So they they were testing me for being um, mentally stable. They tested my mental stability. They pushed me and tried to trigger me. They tried to trigger me until I didn't let them trigger me anymore. Like, they would intentionally do stuff that was meant to upset me to see if I had stopped reacting and getting upset to it. They they put me through eight months of numbing me to, like, any kind of, like, emotional reaction. At one point, after... After six months of it, I was just, like, so broken that I was talking after my court date. I talked, I called my uh, my lawyer, and I told her, I was like, there's no fucking way that I'm ever going to be able to meet their standards. Like, the, the amount of, like, psychological stability and emotional control that they were expecting of me with trauma brain was just, like, impossible like I was not capable like they took my kid and then wanted me to watch them neglect and have him abused while they told me that I wasn't like safe for him to be home yeah that's right you, not any case I, I saw that on the Facebook so you're mentioning that one of the foster families actually seemed to be abusing the kid and kept claiming that these were just uh, random injuries he was getting by falling or something he was removed from his first foster home after a uh, apparent accident where they said he rolled off of the bed during a diaper change into a nightstand. At the time, he was 18 months old and maybe 15 or 20 pounds, if that. These people were like 250, 350 pounds. Like they were big people. This is a little baby. I don't know how a baby. So like, he had two black eyes. He still has the scars on his face. He had two black eyes, like cuts and bruises, That's and too bad. marks all up and down his body. Like it looked like he had been like beat up repeatedly. But the this was on a Monday. And the prior Friday, I had noticed some some bruising 
on his back that looked irregular. And were, and were these people ever uh, investigated or arrested or anything for this, or no? So that on that Friday when I found the bruising on his back, I called my lawyer, and my lawyer and I both reported that to CPS, like externally, and then um, on that after the accident. I reported it and with the photos and um, the previous three months of me being like, hey, this isn't right. Hey, this is off. Hey, this doesn't feel right, right? Like, by the time this accident had happened, like, I had said, hey, this makes me uncomfortable. And then they became hostile towards me because I was questioning whether or not the way they cared for my son was safe enough for him, which it wasn't, right? Because inevitably it led to him having a super severe accident that could have killed him. Because if you, like, the pictures are really, really hard to look at. And then they don't take him to the doctor after the accident. Um, They take him to an urgent care that says he has no injuries whatsoever, right? And they get that signed off. So that's what goes into the report, that he didn't have any injuries. I was constantly sending these pictures to people like, what do you mean? How does this story line up with these injuries? Like, I sent those pictures to so many people privately asking them, like, if this is what your kid looked like, would you believe he just fell into a fucking nightstand, you know? Yeah, I know, and, uh, and this is this is a problem with with CPS here. I, I, I see. I've never had any experience with them myself, but uh, I can tell you from people I've known, and even stories I've read in the news as well of people I didn't know. I've seen that uh, there's a lot of very incompetent people that work for CPS in all states, and that uh, mind-bogglingly bad decisions occur by CPS on both ends, where. There's something really dangerous for children, and for whatever reason, they're either ignoring it or making excuses for it or believing ridiculous explanations by the abusive parents or foster parents and, and, and doing nothing, or the other side where they are doing too much for, uh, uh, to, to someone who actually uh, isn't guilty of anything or, or, or anything very serious. Uh, I, have a, I have a friend whose uh, sister had their child taken away by CPS. Uh, from, and, of course, I, I wasn't there to see it, but from what was described to me, and I think I believe it, um, basically false allegations that, uh, that weren't provable at all and didn't seem likely to be true. And, and they took the kid and were very difficult and wrote very misleading reports. And, in fact, uh, uh, my friend was very, uh, really mad about this because uh, their, their dad, who was the grandfather of this baby, uh, it was a big guy and older. Uh, this the stress of this to him actually led him to have a heart attack and die. So they kind of blamed CPS for that. And uh, and I understood how they were feeling. You don't know for sure if that's what caused the heart attack, but it was very stressful. And from what I could tell, the whole thing was very frivolous. And I was like, why are they? It didn't make sense why they were pressing so hard. And I've seen other cases where where they there's obvious abuse going on, and and they do nothing. And this is this is across the country, different CPS in different states. I've seen that they must have a lot of really incompetent employees who uh, come to a conclusion in the first few seconds, whatever it is, and then decide to do whatever they can to uh, basically 
prove whatever they thought in the first place rather than say, hey, we made a mistake. Hey, we thought the wrong thing. Hey, maybe our first impression wasn't right. It seems like people want to, they want to stick with their first impression. So I can imagine this is very frustrating for you. And I remember seeing the, the uh, description of what was going on on Facebook. And I, when I was reading this, I'll tell you as an outsider, when I'm reading this, I, I thought to myself as I read this that I knew you were having your issues I knew you probably hadn't handled everything perfectly yourself and that, um, you know, that there, there were regrets you had, but that I, I could imagine the helpless feeling you had when your only child is being abused and you're trying to tell everybody you can that the foster parents are, are physically abusing your kid and they're saying, no, they're not, you're crazy and you know, you know what's happening and there's nothing you can do about it. That's, that's, that's an incredibly helpless feeling. And, and it, I can imagine – see, some people may listen to this and think, oh, you know, I, I don't think I believe her. I think that the, the experts at CPS had to know what they're talking about. I bet this, this Amanda's lying about her. She's exaggerating. I'm, I'm telling you people – well, I don't know specifically in this case, but I can say from what I've observed of CPS from both people I know personally and uh, also news stories I've read, a lot of incompetence there and a lot of really stubborn people. More kids die in foster care every year than they do in the homes of their parents, period. That is a statistic, and that is real life. Out of all the kids that are in abusive homes that die and the kids that they take out of, like, non-abusive homes, like, they take so many kids out of homes that aren't in abusive homes that they increase the number of kids that are dying because they're putting them into homes with people that aren't their parents. And, like, when you have – they took my son at 15 months old. He has PTSD from, like, a traumatic separation from his primary caregiver at a crucial developmental stage, right? So now he developed autistic characteristics due to, like, he's struggled with, like, autistic behavioral issues. But this – these are the terms that the neurologist used for me to be able to understand what he was going through because he went mute. He stopped talking. He didn't respond to his name. He didn't, he didn't want physical touch or affection. He was very like, just kind of like alert, but like not alert, if that makes sense. He, he turned into, like, a kid that was just, like, a shell of the baby that he was when when he went into foster care. The most difficult thing about CPS is that they're, they're built on a, like, here's a question. Is it this or is it this? If it's this, go this way. If it's that, go that way. And there is no deviation from the prerequisites that they have for the way that they deal with their cases. Every case is dealt exactly the same. Every parent, guilty or not, goes through the same thing. It is not part of our justice system. So there is no innocent until proven guilty. It's remove the kid and then prove your innocence. So, well, yeah, oh, yeah. And, and you know, what I've seen is, uh, like, like what I was saying before, the other problem, and I believe what you were saying too, that maybe that, that what they're, uh, that they do it in too algorithmic of a fashion rather than the thinking about each in, on an individual mm-hmm. basis, but also that, uh, there, there's a human, uh, human nature that people like to 
be right and believe that they haven't made a mistake and believe that they haven't done something stupid. And so you'll have people defending stupid things they've done or stupid conclusions they've come to, even to the point of absurdity. Uh, we even see it sometimes in, in politics where people will do this uh, who are on a political side and then will defend something on their side, even though it makes no sense. Uh, so, so you see even this a lot. Behind things they don't really stand behind. So, 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 party. so, so <laughs> what what happens is I, I think with some of these people who work for CPS is they they make a quick conclusion about something which they do in good faith. They're trying to do the right thing. Then they happen to come to the wrong one. They, they happen to see it wrong or, or or not judge it accurately. And instead of being willing to uh, look at it again and and and. Uh, modify the way that uh, they were thinking before they wanted to stick to their original conclusion that they, that they were right and and this is why you're wrong and this is why they're right and it can be infuriating and and i know this I, i've dealt with i've never dealt with cps personally i've dealt with with businesses and, and and government institutions where this occurs where i feel like beating my head against the wall because i have every all the evidence on my side to show why what i'm telling them is correct and they find every reason to tell them tell me i'm wrong and i feel like Mm-hmm. It, it, like, what's wrong with this person? And it's not. This is not that uncommon. So I can imagine when you're dealing with someone at CPS who has power over uh, what's going to happen with your child, uh, that that's got to be infuriating. And and on their end, they think, well, we're dealing with a lot of really messed up people and messed up parents who've been abusive to their children and neglectful to their children, and uh, and so we we don't. There, there's also the way they approach it because uh, they. They deal with, with two things a lot. Number one, they deal with just awful parents and awful people, and they see that again and again and again as so they get jaded. And then they also deal with parents who, uh, like, where, where one parent reports the other, like in cases of divorce or whatever, where there's the parents aren't together anymore, and where one reports the other out of spite or out of uh, paranoia. And so they also have to deal with, with hysterical people who are accusing the other of abusing when they're not. So they they have to deal with false accusations, and they probably get so jaded so, with, with these things happening so that where, they don't want to listen anymore. I, I feel like sorry for cutting you off. I know I like intentionally did that pretty hard. Uh, I feel like where CPS really fails in two places are they have a high turnover rate. So when they're training uh, all those caseworkers, like I was my caseworker's first case, she didn't know what the fuck she was doing. She didn't know how to make, you know, exceptions. She barely knew how to do the basic paperwork, let alone, like, specialty paperwork, right? So, like, there's that shortfall for, like, having a high turnover rate. You lose people so fast that you don't retain people who are are qualified to really make the most out of what they're doing, right? And then and the second part where they fail is not differentiating between like you know defcon level abuse and like okay this is a person who is a genuinely good person is a good parent but is struggling with some stuff that we can help provide services with and not remove their kids to provide those services so they don't offer that like second level of hey keep your kid at home, but we're going to do weekly check-ins. Like, the return and monitor phase should be an option for, like, parents like me where they never once thought that I was abusive towards my kid. They didn't think I was neglecting my kid. They were concerned with the deterioration of my mental health because of how much I've been through 
and how stressful it is to not only raise the baby on your own, but to do that while working full time, being the only like the only person to to like bring the money in and to pay the bills and to take care of everything. And I didn't get sleep. I think I slept for two hours at a time for like probably a year, to be honest. And it it really ta- it really took a toll. So when you have when you have these these caseworkers that are also just people, right? Because like you have the system, but then the system has to be enforced by people, and the system is only as good as the people who utilize it, right? So like if they don't know how to use the system to benefit people, then it's not it's not going to work right. Like, when they did the investigation into my son's accident, they found no reason to believe that it was neglect or abuse, and that family had another kid within three months. But then, you know, my kid is thriving, and he has been super, super stoked since he came home. It was really hard for the first few months. When did yeah. when did you get the so, child back, and and uh, what caused that to happen? So last year, Malachi got pretty sick. He started getting sick in like October, and he stayed sick through through the through the winter months. He went. He was going to the ENT. He got his ear tubes removed. Well, he was. He'd been sick for, like, a lot longer, like, off and on, but when he got sick in October, he stayed sick, and he had a lot of doctors, and he had a lot of medications that he had to take to get better, and the foster parents were failing to meet his medical needs, Um, and I was constantly on the phone with my lawyer trying to get them to schedule these appointments that I wasn't allowed to schedule to get him to the doctor for doctor's appointments that I wasn't allowed to take him to myself and to try and get my kid better because they didn't care if he was drowning in his own snot and coughing all day. Like, they they didn't seem to care, right? So after two months of it being, like, them failing to, like, missing doctor's appointments and not filling medications, I guess they put in a notice that they weren't going to be foster parents anymore, and it aligned. It was like a month before they were planning on sending him home to me. But what got him home was me starting DBT therapy. And when I started the DBT therapy at the same time, I also finally found out the doctors were... I found a doctor that was finally able to figure out what was causing my neuropathy. So when I took, uh, started taking my medicine and um, I had a, a chronic gastritis, it's been like a year of stomach inflammation and stuff. I was having a hard time. That's why I lost a lot of weight. Couldn't really eat too much. My stomach was just like always hurting. So I got on medicine for that. Started eating again started doing therapy, and within two months, I was really feeling better. And um, in February, uh, I had pushed for a a hearing, a permanency conference hearing, 
to re re revisit my son coming home. At that point, I was able to do more for him than the foster family could do for him. And because it's so difficult to find a foster family that we were close to, like it would have taken them as much time to find a foster family to put him in as there was left before he was meant to come home uh, for the return and monitor. So they sped up the return and monitor timeline um, and within those four weeks he was home. So they just transitioned him into the home. They visited me, I think it was once a week for the first eight weeks and then every two weeks for the next three months. Once COVID started, so he came home. I got really lucky. He came home. Officially, the papers were signed as March 1st, the day before his, his second birthday. But um, he had been home for the majority of February on, like, overnights and stuff. So COVID shut down the card room in March 17th is when, like, across the board, all the card rooms decided they were going to close for, for COVID. So when did you get him back? So I got him back February. Fe- February of 2020. Okay. And, and then the, and then the very shortly after that, the card room shut down. Yeah. Okay. And, and when did they, uh, when did they open back up? Um, they opened back up in June, I believe June 1st ish. Okay. So what, I went what, back to work June 15th. What did you do in that period to to support yourself and the child when you couldn't uh, work in the card rooms? So I started working at SA Card House, and they were super awesome, and they applied for that, uh, that, that business loan. So they got approved for that, that payroll protection loan, and they were able to give us that through okay. for, like, those eight weeks. And then... By the time that was done, the unemployment was. I was able to get approved for the unemployment. Okay, so. all right. So and and so your child, your child's doing well now, and there haven't been further problems. Like everything is uh, better now. Because I know you've you've had the child back for about nine months. How how are things going today? Yeah, he's doing he's doing really good. We're um we're we're still struggling with. He has some allergy issues and complications from that. So we're doing a lot of doctors visits. But he is super happy, smartest toddler in his class. Oh, good. Um, he uh, he talks. It's it's weird to watch like a human go from just babbling to like having like I was like listening to him play in the the tub earlier, and he's like having full on conversations with his toys and playing, and I'm like, okay, so. He's doing a lot better. When he first came home, he was like a broken baby. I hate to say it, but like he was just so angry and scared and anxious and it's shameful. It was it was really sad that if he did something wrong or thought he did something wrong, he would just start hitting himself in the head. or you know it was he he struggled a lot when he came home and COVID wound up being a blessing for us because I spent every single day calling doctors reading information about how I can help him um 
He, I got him into therapy. We did therapy for him. He has been doctors. He has several case managers helping me with his um, like development now. Um, and I've been very proactive on making sure that what I don't know what he went through in foster care. I can only guess, but I am making sure that I give him every opportunity to not have it affect his life. Like, well, what's good here? I'll tell you what's good is that uh, you know if, if he seems to be showing improvement, if he's uh, seems to be getting a lot better than he was nine months ago. First of all, he won't remember any of it. He'll remember nothing of yeah. what we were having before, which which is good. That that really helps with uh, preventing long long term trauma and uh, and and you know, provided everything is good going forward and he's uh, lives a, a normal life and is raised in a normal environment and uh, you don't have any further issues and they uh, and, and you keep him and everything stays good, then uh, then he should he should be fine. And it's good that you got him back and, and got him out of the system. And I'm glad there's been improvement here. And, and you, you know, kids can, things can change very fast, even when there's any kind of uh, developmental delays or uh, sometimes oh, yeah. they catch up super quickly. They can bounce back, especially if they're back in, in uh, normal circumstances, which, which it seems like he is now. So I'm, I'm very glad to hear that, that this is uh, turned around a lot and that, uh, you know, and, and there there have been people with, you know, that because of COVID nineteen changing things, there have been a few fortunate side effects people have happened to run into because of uh, uh, things changing, and it happened to be fortunate for them. I know for the for most people, it's been very negative, and for the country and the world, it's been negative. But uh, I'm, I'm glad you were able to get something positive out of it, and and it, everything sounds a lot better now. And I know you when you it's almost like. It's almost like my life sucks the rest of the time. So when COVID happened and everybody else's life sucks, mine sucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that is kind of opposite. I know it's hard, it's hard to even it's tell like people. It's irony thing. Like, ha-ha, got him. It, it is hard to tell people, like, oh, you know, 2020 was a great year for me. They're like, what? You go, no, yeah, no, it actually was. It's a, that's a, Everything was crappy before that. It was, the begin- it was around February 2020 when things turned around. Like, Wait a minute. That was the opposite for everybody else. So, uh, yeah, I, I can – you know, for for everybody, it's different, and uh, um, I, I'm I'm glad that you've. See, there, there's a few positive things that happen, not just getting your child back and healing what it, what was going on with him, but but also that you've got a better idea for yourself of what challenges you have and and uh, what conditions you have and and how to how to take care of them, how to prevent a, a recurrence of of the problems from the past, and you also now know what what type of guy not to date in the future. And, uh, oh man, none, uh, none. I've been single. Oh, you've been single. So I was going to ask that. I was going to ask if I was going to ask if I was going to ask if you're with anybody now. But I guess I guess not. But actually, everything after everything you now went I through got, that makes sense. I got two body pillows, bro. I got two. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, that's uh, it's you know I would say this is a happy ending or mostly happy ending at the moment here. So what about right now? How is it going these days? September, I changed jobs. The next week, my car broke down. Three days later, after my car broke down, I had to get a new car. And my babysitter up and ditched me. But it only took me six weeks to recoup, and I didn't lose anything. Plus, I got a new car. Hmm. And I was able to pay all my bills and not be late on anything. Huh. So, you know, where I am now is 
it, it took a it took complicated path to get here, but yeah. um, I'm grateful for all the experience. To yeah, like, and if, no, exactly like you were saying. Like now, I'm prepared. I I hope everything stays good. And let's let's change the subject here before we finish uh, yeah. about the uh, totally different, but a little bit related. The Texas poker scene. A lot of people don't understand that very well. Uh, so in Texas, do they have any actual fully legal card rooms like like a commerce type thing in, in California? Do they have an equivalent in Texas at all? In Texas, there is law surrounding poker games. They're not illegal card rooms. They are legally ran um, private membership rooms. Um, so you pay a membership fee to go into the poker room. And when you're in the poker room, you have to be... there's So when you get into the poker room, you do sign... Most poker rooms have a form, a membership form. You fill out all your information on the membership form. And then you pay either a daily membership fee. They range from like 5 to $10.00 or a monthly membership fee, and those can range from, like, 20 to 50 or $60, depending on where you're going. And then um, when you buy into the game, all of the money stays on the table. You can't rake any of the games that are being played. Um, instead, to make up the deficit on income, for uh, not being able to make rake, you actually rent your seat for an hourly fee. And those hourly fees range from three hours, right, to like $5 hourlies. Their average would be between 8 and 12 So like three years ago, they were a little bit higher. They were like, I think, $15 an hour, some were even more, they were like $20 an hour for, so, for so, these, but those have gotten lower. Okay, Poker so, has been legal for, I'd say, about five years is when, like, the first legal, like, poker room that was allowed to open to the public, like, we, you can advertise, and they're following this guideline of don't rake the games, don't take money off of the table. It's a membership. It's a private club. Yeah, you know, and, and like I've, I've been in our tournament. Their their seat fees. You don't pay like a, a tournament rate. You pay a seat fee. So right, like, right. So, so that, here's, here's my question. I, I know that I, I I covered this before. I know it wasn't on the last episode you were on. It was uh, I, I had a separate segment uh, a while back about. Texas poker rooms and some legal challenges that were taking place. I know they eventually uh, were able to beat them, but th- yeah, I know that there have been some who have tried to attack this because, as you said, the games can't be raked, and it, this is kind of like a loophole in that uh, what what was intended was that people could run home poker games where you could have some people over, and of course, if you run a home game, you're not raking it, a real home game I'm talking about, so that way it's not illegal. What these card rooms are is an extension of what a home game would be Mm -hmm. to where now there's multiple tables and now it's not in a private home, it's actually in a business, but they're still not raking, so technically, since they're not raking anything, the house isn't uh, 
making any kind of money from the poker being played, and they're getting around that by, as you said, charging a membership fee to get in and also a, a seat rental fee at the table. And, and some have said, well, look, that's the same thing as rake or a time charge. It's it just said to be a different thing. And truthfully, you know, being honest about it, that that, that is what they're doing. It, it's uh, It really is kind of a rake that you're just doing it a different way. Uh, but uh, now I, I'm not opposed to uh, live poker taking place, and uh, and I think it should be legal. I think all the states should allow card rooms to exist, and each city and county should decide whether they want to have this or not. I think it's foolish to have these uh, laws against rake in the first place. That's uh, the whole thing is dumb. But but given the laws they have at the moment, uh, that you know, because this is a loophole around it. But it's not a complete loophole. I know there's been some uh, legal attacks at some point. Some rooms got shut down. Uh, they got they reopened because there was some there was some corruption in the investigation itself, which was interesting. So yeah, uh, yeah, you're talking about prime socialists. Yeah, the prime social thing, and we talked yeah, about that yeah, on the show. They, when the when the attorneys general when the attorney general went into prime social, they like tried to finesse money laundering charges in there, I think, having to do with them not having, like, the proper permits or something. Yeah, and there was and, and there's someone who was just assisting with the whole thing. Uh, it wasn't completely neutral, and it, it was a former consultant. And they so there was uh, there was some corruption. There was some degree of the corru- of corruption in the investigation itself, yeah. and that pretty much killed the whole thing. Yeah. The whole thing was dropped because they knew that they would be dead in court because of uh, a key player in the whole thing uh, had a conflict of interest, and the, the whole the whole thing fell apart. So, uh, but but uh, still, what remains? Yeah, that whole thing scared like. All of the card rooms in Austin. They were like, "Oh, it's, it's going to happen." Like, yeah. No, it made sense because it looked like this was the beginning of a big clampdown on these rooms, and it did. And, and I will. But it wound up actually being really good for us. Um, I think so. There's, there's, we, there are people who regular lobby, regularly lobby for like you know the the way that we run poker rooms. Like there are people who are talking to government officials that are, you know, developing these, you know, these, these guidelines to run these poker rooms. They, they are more set on making sure that the money that gets bought into and played with on the table stays on the table until it's cashed out. So they are completely fine with the poker rooms doing the memberships and the seat rental fees because those aren't infringing on like lotteries or like any of the the gaming regulations that they have against raking. Yeah. Um so well, yeah it is a loophole and it does it does seem that like, you know, we're just that these poker rooms are just running outside of the wall through a loophole. But they have been okayed um rounders has a liquor license alamo has been around san antonio it was the first card room in san antonio back years ago and in in austin you have you have you have hundreds of poker rooms in texas like spread all over the place i think in san antonio there's probably 20 
20 different poker rooms. Wow. The three big ones are Alamo, Rounders, and SA Card House. <laughs> and then in Austin, you have, um, you have Shuffle 512 South Austin, and then you have um, TCH and uh, Rounders, or no, Lodge. Well, let, let, let me let me let me ask you a question here. The, the biggest one of them all, whatever that is, uh, how approximately how many tables are there? That, that in, in that, I just want people to get a, an idea of the size of like even the biggest room there. So a lot of ta- a lot of card rooms adjust their table usage based on um, based on how, their traffic, like how many people are coming in. The bigger card rooms, they have. Um, like 15 to 20 tables and then like your smaller card rooms they'll have some of them will have like three or four tables maybe just one or two tables running but like you know they they also have like pool tables and tons of tvs and chess games the one i worked at had like the live uh like life-size chess oh oh, really as tall as you is there like, – I've got a question here also. Are there any higher limit games that run in any of these, or are they all kind of lower stakes? The games in Texas, the way that they they run are kind of interesting. They, they're really big fans of five-card high-low. They call it Congress. They play a lot of Congress out here. Um, you could find 20 Congress games on any given day of all stakes and sizes. But it's a lot harder to find a PLO game. PLO is very, mm. very. That's, that's surprising. Very, <laughs> PLO is very in Houston, from what I'm told. Uh, not so much in San Antonio. We have some PLO, but it's very like it's like con- they like to play the the round of each. Like they'll do five five round of each, and then we do a lot of bomb pots out here. So I think uh, at Alamo we run a five five round of each PLO and $5 bomb pot. So, like, since COVID, post-COVID, a lot of players went underground because all the card rooms shut down. So the underground scene got got pretty big. So a lot of the the rooms, or the the games running under there have kind of taken the bigger players right now oh so so there's a lot of um, so there's that, that's interesting actually so there's you're saying they presently so there's a lot of, presently there's a lot of underground games running at the moment in in texas in addition to these card rooms which is open back up yeah the the card rooms when when the card rooms open the the home games kind of died down but then when the card rooms had to close then all the the card room players like they went that knew the underground they went into the underground so you got like the games now. They're they're mostly like the one twos and the five five, but they're super deep. Like we only run one two because then everybody can play one two. But there's one two and one threes, and then some of them are no caps, some of them are max stack. But like you go into any of these card rooms, and the one two table, if they have a table running, is probably going to be super deep. Like. Not very irregular to see a $5,000 stack on a 1-2 table in a Texas, like, poker house. Um, I see. Well, that's interesting. Okay, well, 
Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, we had a long conversation, almost two hours, and uh, thank you for opening up uh, about, about everything. And I, I hope that uh, everything will continue to go well there, and and your your son will remain uh, healthy and and developing well, and uh, hopefully everything continues on an upward trajectory. And if it if it took a pandemic to do it, then so be it. At least uh, <laughs> at least you're you're back in the good shape here and. I know, like it's it's a lot has happened since you first appeared on two plus two five years ago. And yeah, it's kind of it's it's kind of nice to. Uh, I feel like I honored you know Brandy's memory by like bringing a good a good ending to a sad story, right? You know, they they spoke so bad about her, mm-hmm. but like to really like kind of like be so likened to her story. And to, like, kind of only imagine, like, what she may have been going through or feeling. And then to know, like, to get through that, it's, like, if my story, I open up only because if my story can, like, help that one person not just give up, that's what I, like, that's what helps me get through the next day. Like, no, that's, that's good. It's, 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 <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's good if, if, if uh, you know, if you're open about what happened there uh, and, and you think that maybe others can hear it and... and benefit from it and learn from it that's a good thing there and it's a positive thing that you're willing to express what happened before and where you are now and uh, thank you for coming on and, and telling it i know when you contacted me this week and you said you wanted to talk about the scene in texas which i thought people would be interested in i said you know what i bet they'll also find the story of what's happened to you since you were on the show all the different stuff that went on i thought they'd find that interesting as well so thank you for coming on here and i hope everything uh continues to go well and uh you know maybe sometime in the future we'll check with you and and maybe uh are, are you ever going to come back to vegas if uh to play poker at all or the world series if it, if everything returns oh, to normal at some sure. point my kid is going to be a poker prodigy <laughs> like, i'm already setting him up he plays with cards every day <laughs> you know for, i don't think i'm going to be I just, I'm, I'm, just, gonna, I'm guessing i'm, I'm gonna not going to try to I'm guessing I'm not going to be in Vegas this summer because of COVID. I just don't think I'm going to quite want to go back there yet. But uh, yeah, uh, so I, this is scary enough. I think the next time I'll be at the World Series will be 2022, and I can play the seniors event. Uh, got <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I'm going to be a senior. So, all right. Thank you for coming on, and we will talk to you later. And uh, thanks for reaching out to me. We hadn't talked in almost a year, but it was good to hear from you. Sounds good. It was good to it was good to catch up. I know that uh, it was a super long conversation, but it was definitely nice to talk to you. Yeah, uh, this is always I've a long always show. Enjoy, enjoyed your opinion. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, thank you very much. Okay, well, thank you, Amanda. All right, good night. So that was uh, Amanda with a, a long story about what she went through. You know, if there's anything you can take from this, is that there's a lot of pitfalls one can fall into in life and as a poker player, and even as not a poker player, just uh, a lot of times, as I said a little earlier in the interview, problems can then cause more problems, and the attempt to solve the problem or your reaction to a problem can cause more problems, and you can end up in a spiral where one event sets everything off to end up very tragically and really alter your life in a negative way. And the better you are at taking control and not letting that happen, as tough as it can be and as uh, much strength it may require, uh, that can make all the difference. 
And sometimes for young people, this can be tough because they lack the life experience and maturity to do the right thing. And especially young people who also have some kind of uh, psychological issues like Amanda had that can be even tougher. And that's why a lot of times I will say that young people should not be poker pros because it requires a lot of self-control. It requires a lot of maturity. It requires a lot of even temperament. And if you don't have that, even if you have a lot of talent, you can end up broke or worse. And you can end up making a lot of bad decisions. And I've seen it time and time again. Sometimes people recover from these decisions, as it looks like Amanda has, and sometimes people don't. Sometimes people die. Sometimes people end up in very, very bad shape and don't ever get out of it. So that is something people should think about. I know we don't have a lot of young people listening to this show, but this also applies to older people. That I, I have seen it, even people my age, people even older than me, I've seen who end up in a terrible state because of one problem that just causes a snowball effect. And I'll tell you, two years ago, more than two years ago now, but uh, August 2018, when I developed my psychological issues, I kept telling myself, I'm not going to let this snowball, I'm not going to let this ruin everything, even if I'm going to be stuck this way, which I thought I might be. I thought I may be stuck that way forever. I'm going to find a way to take control of it and just live with it, even if the rest of my life is very unhappy. I spent hundreds of hours researching ways that I might be able to get out of it, and eventually I was successful. And uh, I'm thankful for that every day. And, uh, you know, whenever people talk about uh, psychological issues or illnesses which prevent them from behaving normally or responding normally to things, I can understand that because I went through it and I, I didn't have any issues which caused me to act out or uh, or act crazy outwardly, but uh, inwardly, everything was processing wrong. So I can relate to this type of thing now much more than I could prior to this. It's one of the things you can only fully understand once you've gone through it yourself. Anyway, let's move on to some regular poker topics. There continues to be fallout about the World Series of Poker deciding that they are going to have another World Series main event. And I talked about that some last week, but there's been further fallout, further debate, and also an interview with Ty Stewart, who is the head of the World Series of Poker. He's actually the boss of Jack Effel and Seth Polanski, who are right under him. And uh, Ty Stewart is the, the head honcho there, as far as the World Series is concerned. And uh, Poker News talked to him, so I'm going to read you parts of that interview. I'm going to give you my opinion. But first, I want to talk about uh, a little bit more about what this really means, that they're having this World Series, and some of the objections being raised that I didn't fully get into last week. And Seriously Serious brought this up on the forum. Uh, if you go to the Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum, you can see a thread he started called WSOP crowns main event champion, then tries to take it back. And, you know, when Seriously Serious first brought this up, I totally got his point and I partially agreed with it, but I partially disagreed because I had seen some rebuttals to it that people who were defending the World Series were bringing up, not even employees there, but just people who thought the World Series uh, was fine for doing this. And so I, I kind of like played devil's advocate and presented those counterpoints. And then he answered back and I go, you know what, now that I think of it, I think I agree with you. I was kind of in the middle before, now I agree more with him. I, I thought the whole thing was stupid, but now I, I'm i kind of more bothered by it before than I was last week. So let me 
tell you what's going on here. There was a World Series of Poker main event champion already crowned in 2020, and that's immediately a problem. This is a man named Stoyan Madanjev. I believe he's from Russia, and he played on GG Poker, and he got the following uh, certificate in the mail. It had his name on top written in uh, calligraphy, Stoyan uh, Madanjev. Sorry if I'm not pronouncing it right. Congratulations on winning WSOP event number 77, $5,000 no limit hold'em main event of the 51st annual World Series of Poker hosted by GG Poker. We are honored to present you with a World Series of Poker bracelet for your outstanding tournament performance. Earning a World Series of Poker bracelet is poker's ultimate achievement. In addition, the World Series of Poker and GG Poker have updated, have upgraded you to diamond status at all Caesars properties. You will hold this upgraded status through January 2022. Thank you for playing GG Poker, and we look forward to seeing you at the tables in the future. And then it has a logo of WSOP, a uh, logo of GG Poker, and the person signing it, of all people, is not Ty Stewart, not Jack Effel, not even Seth Polanski. It is Daniel Negranu for some reason. <laughs> Because he's the face of GG Poker. It still doesn't make a lot of sense why Negreanu's signing it. But okay, whatever. Bottom line is he got this in October when he won the main event. So that that should have been it, right? Like, uh, they didn't say WSOP Europe. They didn't say WSOP Online. They actually called it on the certificate. And these are the points that Series of Series is bringing up in, in response to me, and he's right. They called it the 51st annual World Series of Poker hosted by GG Poker. So forget the GG Poker part. Forget where it was hosted. The 51st annual World Series of Poker, that's saying that's that's it. That's the World Series. And it said he played the $5,000 No Limit Hold'em main event. Well, there have never been two main events in the World Series ever. There's never been anything called the main event and they have another main event of the actual World Series. There's been uh, Circuit main events. There's World Series of Poker Europe main events. They've had that before, and then the main event that takes place every summer. That's fine. But here they told him that he is the main event champion of the 51st annual World Series of Poker. So Stoyan, on uh, November 14th, tweeted out the following. And by, by the way, this, this was after our last show. Our show was uh, on November 13th. But this is what he tweeted. So if I won the 51st annual World Series of Poker main event, what will the December one be? And this is in reference to the fact that they're having a second main event in December. What will the December one be? The 52nd? 51.1? 51.2.0? 51.0? Just wondering. Well, he has a good point. Stoyan's basically saying, I thought I'm the main event champion. So... This someone's going to win this one in December. Is he the main event champion of 2020, or am I? That's a great question. You can't even say, "Well, you're the Europe champion." I mean, yes, you had to, you couldn't be in the U.S. to play this on GG Poker, but you didn't have to be in Europe either. You just had to be somewhere that GG Poker served. But they called it the main event for the World Series of Poker. In fact, there were people who traveled to foreign countries. So they could play this, because you could play this if you were American, as long as you were not on American soil while you were playing. So people traveled to play this. Stoyan did not have to, but some people did. This was considered the World Series of Poker main event. Now, there were some criticisms of this event that uh, you could buy in multiple times. I think Stoyan bought bought in a ton of times uh, in, in trying to catch fire and eventually go on to win it, which he did, but a lot of others 
bought it a bunch of times it did not. So there are people saying this isn't the real main event. Not only is it online, but uh, it's got rebuys, and the actual main event has never had a single rebuy. If you bust from the regular World Series of Poker main event, then you're done. That's always the way it's been since the very beginning, all the way through through 2019. So there are some people at the time in October saying this is a BS main event. I think even I kind of said it. But nevertheless, that's what they called the main event. And when he won it, they presented him with a bracelet and said, this is the main event of the 51st World Series of Poker. So who is the main event champion? I mean, this is a great question. Who is the main event champion? Stoyan or whoever wins this other main event that's going to be mostly online, but also the final table live in December, who is the 2020 main event champion? And if there's two champions, like, how do they explain that? Like, why are they holding this? And is this unfair to the main event winner? Because every year you think of the main event, you think, okay, well, in this year, oh, yeah, that was the year this guy won. So, for example, you think of 05. That's that's when uh, Joe Hashim won, 2006. Oh, that's when uh, Jamie Gold won. Uh, 2007. Oh, that's when uh, Jerry Yang won. uh, So you you go on from there. You think of each year's main event and associate with a particular winner. And that's an honor that each winner gets to have. And Stoyan's afraid he doesn't get that honor because it's going to be this weird thing that maybe they're going to forget about him and and crown the champion to the 2020 main event, uh, this other person. Now you could say, okay, well, there's two. There's the the online one and then there's the mostly online one. And they can just say there's two champions, uh, the GG Poker main event, uh, World Series of Poker main event and the WSOP.com hybrid uh, live online main event. They could just claim the two main event winners that year and eventually when everybody returns, uh, put both their banners up. But still, it's weird. And it's – there's also a question. People who traveled to a foreign country to play this or people who bought in a whole lot of times in an effort to become the main event champion and everything that goes with it uh, – would they have done so if they knew that there was going to be a second main event in December? And a lot of people are claiming they would not have. So there's a lot of uh, controversy about this as well. So uh, Sirius and Sirius said that uh, the World Series of Poker Europe wasn't called the 50th annual World Series of Poker last year because obviously it's its own separate festival. It's not part of the historic Las Vegas Summer Series. The online series on GG Poker was officially billed the 51st annual World Series of Poker, making it the same series as the one that's been played at the Rio every year and Binion's before that. This was just a change of venue. Well, I mean, he's right. That, that's, it's true. So these are good criticisms. These are legitimate criticisms. Also, uh, Chris Moneymaker is not a fan of this. Chris Moneymaker tweeted this on November 15th. This is back to Stoyan's tweet. He said, on the bright side, you will be a really cool trivia question one day. Disagree with what the WSOP is doing here. Wow. So Chris Moneymaker, who really is the face of the modern and semi-modern World Series of Poker. If you think of the World Series of Poker and someone asks you, name a World Series of Poker main event champion. One of the first names that's going to pop in your head is Chris Moneymaker, because he significantly contributed to the poker boom. He was what got a lot of people interested. So Chris is saying that he disagrees, which I know he's not the end-all, be-all of what's right and wrong in poker, but that should say something that Chris Moneymaker himself thinks that this is BS. 
and he can understand because I'm sure he wouldn't have been happy if they held another World Series main event that year and he became uh, one of two champions of 2003. I'm sure he was very happy being the 2003 champion and the only 2003 champion, which he should have been and which he was. So there's a lot of people objecting to this and there's a lot of accusations that this was a money grab. So what does the World Series of Poker have to say back? Well, let me get to that here because uh, Ty Stewart did an interview with Chad Holloway of Poker News. Chad Holloway is is a very good journalist. He uh, asks a lot of good questions. He tends to be fair. He's a smart guy. He tends to understand the issues involved and asks what people want to hear. So, uh, so I like Chad. I think he does a great job with Poker News. He did a nice article on me two years ago when I was uh, running deep in the main event and the things I had gone through in 2018. Or actually, it was last year's article about both the World Series and what had happened uh, the year before. But uh, I liked him before that. It wasn't just because he wrote an article about me. So anyway, here is what uh, Ty Stewart had to say. He said, there must be a world champion in 2020. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a dumb answer. <laughs> that uh, there already is one. Poker's history is too important. It's a unique format for the main event, but this is a unique year. We want to keep the players' health and safety top of mind and still deliver a great televised showcase for the game we love. Now, the health and safety he's talking about is the controversial term that you have to take a COVID test before playing the live final table, and if you're COVID positive, you're out. You just get ninth place money and you're out. Here's what uh, Ty said in response to some of uh, the questions. He asked, should the players expect any tournaments built around the World Series of Poker main event, either online or live? Meaning, are we going to see any other events you guys announce? Ty said, we're still working through that. Many of the citywide poker rooms are open. Bally's in particular, that's the Caesars property, has some plans to expand their poker offering using the best safety protocols. We feel we can likely hold some pretty significant one- to two-day tournaments and mixed games against the backdrop of the main event. But there will not be any World Series of Poker bracelet events or poker events Besides the main event, that production will be a bubble for those entrants once they go through the COVID testing. So, so basically, he's saying don't, there's not going to be any other bracelet event, just this. All right, fine. Chad asked him, what will be the World Series of Poker's position on Stoyan Madanchev's WSOP GG Poker main event title? So he says back, congratulations, Stoyan. And then he writes the congratulations in like Russian as if he's trying to be cute there, talking about uh, Ty Stewart. Well done to make history winning the Guinness Book of World Records largest ever online event. Congratulations on your bracelet and $3.9 million. That, That's the entire answer, which is stupid. I'm going to say it right now, Ty, it's stupid. That's not the question Chad was asking. Chad was asking, like, what's your position on him being the main event champion and then not being the main event champion, or at least not the only one. Like, how are you handling this? He's not asking you to congratulate him and talk about how large the field was and how large his payout was. I mean, that's great for Stoyan, but that's the concern is not that. The concern is, how do we have two main event champions in 2020, and why do we have that? Why are you even doing this? Like, he, he totally dodged that question. Ty is not stupid. He's not a stupid guy. He knew exactly what Chad was asking, and he chose not to answer it. He just basically said congratulations, which is a little bit insulting, to be honest. Okay, so then Chad asked, some folks feel the summer $5,000 main event was this year's WSOP main event. 
Others say a 5K multi-bullet online event is different than the traditional 10K freeze-out main event. What are your thoughts? So he said back this. I don't like the business of comparing accomplishments. Whose bracelet is better? The Colossus winner or a 10K mixed event? They are bracelets and they're part of our history. We've often identified the finale events of our series like the World Series of Poker Europe or WSOP APAC as main events. But we were pretty transparent in every press release that we're holding on hope to still play the World Series of Poker later in 2020. To me, the main event means 10K freeze out, period. Hasn't changed in 51 years. Won't start now. Okay, well, this would all be fine if you didn't call the GG Poker event the 51st annual World Series of Poker main event. If you just called it the GG Poker main event, fine. But you definitely equated them here is the problem. That is the problem. You should have just called this the GG Poker World Series or the GG Poker main event. But this it was not called that. That's the problem. The reason it wasn't called that is because they were trying to get a lot more participation in the GG Poker series by adding the prestige of a real World Series of Poker bracelet that is supposedly going to get credit the same way any World Series of Poker bracelet were to get credit. So somebody who won any event, not just the main event, any of the bracelet events on GG Poker not only gets a physical bracelet, but they're considered a World Series of Poker bracelet winner. Same way I'm considered a World Series of Poker bracelet winner, same way that uh, anybody else who's won a World Series of Poker event is a bracelet winner. Whereas if you won a World Series of Poker circuit event, then you have a ring, not a bracelet, and you're not a bracelet winner. If you won a World Series of Poker Europe event, you may have a bracelet, and you may have... Uh, some people may consider you a World Series of Poker bracelet winner, but really they uh, it's considered a different set of bracelets. It's, uh, it's the World Series of Poker Europe. You're not a World Series of Poker bracelet winner. You're a World Series of Poker Europe bracelet winner. So these are different events... Here, they actually gave out World Series of Poker bracelets, which were equivalent to all other World Series of Poker bracelets. And they gave out a main event bracelet for the 51st World Series of Poker. Why did they do that? Because they hadn't had the idea to do this yet, about this December one. So that's why, if they could turn back time, they would not have made that the main event. They weren't pulling trickery there. It's not like they said, ha ha ha, we're going to hold a main event and get all these people to participate and get a, a big, big, big field. And we're going to make a lot of money. And then in December, we're going to drop a second main event. <laughs> That's not what they did. They, they, I can't say that for sure, but I think it's unlikely that this was premeditated. I think someone just came up with this idea in the office. Wait, you know what we can do? We can still kind of have a live World Series of Poker 10K main event in the U.S. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. And then they got the little complication. They already have a main event winner from 2020, and they've got to dance around that. So he still hasn't really answered that. He's saying, oh, you know, all bracelets are different. Well, yeah, all bracelets are different. Yes, you can't compare bracelets from totally different events. He's right. that The Colossus winner and the winner of a 10K mixed event, they're totally different events. They're different skill sets to win the events. And uh, the 10K mixed... That one's a much smaller field, but the buy-in is bigger, and, and the players are tougher. And the 10K Colossus is a huge field, and the buy-in's smaller, but you've got to navigate a gigantic field. And, and then you'll end up with a lot of tough players at the end anyway. So, they, yeah, they're two totally different bracelets. Every bracelet is a little different from each other, and that's fine. And I can respect that as a bracelet holder myself. But you already had a main event. 
you can't get around that. So Chad continues to hammer those questions, which I respect him for. He asked, some vocal critics suggest WSOP is just doing this for profit. What would you say to such critics? I love how Chad says some vocal critics say, you know Chad's thinking this himself. You know Chad's thinking, this is a freaking money grab. I want to say I think it's a freaking money grab, but I've got to be polite. So I'm, I, and I've got to get future interviews with Mr. Stewart. So I'm going to just say some vocal critics. It's true. There are a lot of vocal critics saying this. So Chad asked that question, and there, here's the answer from Ty Stewart. Paying customers are entitled to their opinions, and after 15 years, I just appreciate the passion everyone has for the event. But yes, the only thing I take issue with is the idea that we're willing to tarnish the event for a short-term profit. Trust me, we will not make money on the 2020 WSP main event. Now, I don't know if that's true, but if it is, then that's especially baffling. Because I did think that this is for money. I thought that they're doing this for the ESPN tele- televising of the event, where they, uh, ESPN does pay them for the ability to do this. And uh, they're getting that money, whereas before they were not going to. And that, of course, they get the rake from it. Of course, the cost of staging this is not very much because they only have to stage the final table. The rest of it is online, which is very cheap to run. Presumably, there's going to get a lot of people entering this, and they're going to collect a lot of rake from each of them because the buy-in is 10K. So I don't know how they're not making money from this. But okay, let, let's say they're not. Then that's really baffling. It actually would make much more sense if they're making money for it. If they're not making money, then this is a fail in all ways because nobody wants it. I shouldn't say nobody, but very few people want it. Definitely nobody's asking for this. It's not like there was clamoring through the poker community, oh, if only we could have a WSOP main event in some way other than the one you already had. If only you could have a second main event that we could play on WSOP.com in some way and then play in live the final table or something like that. Guys, come on, can you hold some other WSOP main event? Please, please, please. Nobody was asking that. Nobody. I didn't see that once on poker Twitter. And I follow a lot of poker Twitter. And I didn't see one person saying, you know, I'm really pissed the WSP is not running some kind of main event this year. Like, everybody has made peace with the fact that a series has already run. Maybe not everybody liked the series, but it was run. And everybody accepts it, and everybody accepts the reason for it, COVID. It's not like everyone's mad at the World Series for not running the normal World Series this year. They could not do it. It's understandable. A lot of things about life have changed in 2020. A lot of things we used to do, we could not do in 2020. We all understand. We live it every day. So if they are forcing this on the poker world when nobody wants it and when they're losing money, then what's the point? Who is gaining from this? What good is coming from this other than someone's going to get lucky and win? That's pretty crazy if true. He goes on to say, the the biggest winners certainly will be those at the final table. Poker players are good at math and somebody will do the math. We're putting up a million for the heads up. We've got production and staging costs. Okay, he's talking about that extra million-dollar WSOP uh, GG Poker champion versus the uh, the this main event champion that they're going to have. But this is uh, a weird thing nobody was asking for either. Like, who wanted that million-dollar thing? I don't understand. I don't understand that one. Like, why are they having that? That's weird too. Like, it's not like people are clamoring for that either. So if if that million dollars is breaking them which I can't see how it is, but for some reason that million dollars they're putting up is, is somehow, I thought they were taking it out of the prize pool, but if they're really just putting this up as like an added thing, why? 
I mean, I guess kind of nice they're doing it, but why? It's a, if this is an issue, if this is what's making them lose money, why are they even doing it? It's not like, again, people are saying, where is the million-dollar heads-up championship between main event champions? Where Where is that? We've never had that before. It's weird to, to, to finish a tournament and then to have to go play another tournament against somebody else heads-up who won a different tournament as, as like some kind of further championship when you've already won is weird. No one's going to turn it down for an extra million dollars in prize money, but it's weird. It's very strange. I don't know why they're doing all this. And these answers from Ty Stewart are really not saying very much. It's really not answering anybody's questions. I mean, Chad's asking the questions, but we're not getting a good answer. And he's saying, well, we have production and staging costs. Well, yeah, but ESPN pays you a lot of money, I assume, to be able to broadcast it. He said, we're operational in two states where we already have the market share lead. We fought for the resources to do this so there could be some buzz for poker to end the year and another photo on the Gallery of Champions. Why? You have a photo for the Gallery of Champions. Stoyan. So next year, if you hold the World Series normally, maybe let's say the vaccine works out great and COVID's mostly gone or all gone by the summer of 2021, then we will see 2020 main event champion, the Stoyan guy. And some people may think it's a little weird that it's not quite the same, but... We'll kind of understand. I don't think there's going to be outrage that Stoyan's picture is up there. So why do we need another one? He said, we were criticized initially for WSOP online, but it helped kickstart perhaps the greatest summer of online poker ever. We have a responsibility to market the game through this platform. Okay, well, I, I think that kind of, that last sentence is probably the answer. The last sentence is basically saying, if you read between the lines, WSOP.com has been a fail site since we opened it seven years ago. So... Since it has been a fail site, we are trying to exploit this opportunity to really bring a lot of attention to it, and then maybe finally people will start playing on it. So we already had a fairly successful online series, but now we're going to do another online series of just the main event, and maybe we'll throw in some other events there too that aren't bracelet events, but uh, we're going to do this main event on there, hopefully bring more attention to WSOP.com, and then hopefully in the future, people will be more used to playing at WCB.com and it won't be a fail site which loses money every month. I think that's what he's trying to say. I'm putting words in his mouth, but I think that's what he's trying to say, that this is an opportunity they don't want to let get away. Believe me, they're not doing this to market the game for the good of poker. They're not doing this to keep poker on everyone's minds. They're not. That's not what this is about. I have a feeling that once poker is safe to play again where people won't get COVID – that people are going to rush back to it because people will miss it. I know I miss playing live poker. I bet a lot of you miss playing live poker who have chosen not to return because of the COVID danger. So I bet they're going to get a lot of people. I bet they'll have record turnout at the first World Series where COVID is no longer an issue. I think it will still be somewhat of an issue in the summer, and it's possible we'll never be done with COVID at some point, the world's going to have to adjust like they just kind of live with the danger the same way we live with other dangers in life and just hope it doesn't get us. But uh, whatever the case may be, when it becomes uh, considered safe for everybody to come play poker again live, then I think the World Series of Poker is going to come roaring back. So they don't need this. Poker doesn't need this. Nobody's asking for this. So I really think this is some weird way to try to make WSOP.com relevant when it's pretty much failed the last seven years. Chad then asked him, how important is tradition to you and others at WSOP? Well, that's a good question because 
it's kind of a loaded question, but it's, it's loaded in a good way because what he's really asking is since this is so far from tradition, having two main events and having all of the first one live, all of the first one online and then the second main event being all online and then the final table live, but then you disqualify anybody with COVID, like this is very much departing from tradition. So how can you do this? Instead, he's just saying, yeah, how important is tradition to you? <laughs> so, and then uh, Ty has to answer that. So this is what Ty said back. He said, our history is everything. You can look at the pictures of those legends and pioneers and feel a responsibility to keep pushing ahead. It started somewhat humbly, but you could tell they were all they all believed in what they were doing to celebrate poker and provide a showcase. I was one of those guys sitting in a corporate job watching TV and wishing I could be part of it. I never forget that. So we've got to keep inspiring people to play the game, to love the game. And as long as we stay true to that, I'm fine with us creating new versions of old traditions. Well, kind of. I mean, I understand the game can evolve. I understand that they introduce different variations, some of which I don't like. But I also don't object so much to a lot of the variations. As long I, I don't like the buy-ins getting really low. I think that starts to really devalue the bracelets. But I, I, other than that, some of these little gimmicks and stuff, I don't mind if it brings more people and if it helps poker grow or help poker not shrink, then okay, I understand. And I understand this. it's also a business and their object is to make money. I give the World Series credit every year for not making it just No Limit Hold'em or just No Limit Hold'em and PLO. The World Series of Poker is the only tournament, the only major tournament series that spreads a ton of different games. So many different games are spread, even dead games they're spreading. And I give them a big thumbs up for that. As a Limit Hold'em player, Limit Hold'em tournaments don't exist anymore. I give them a big thumbs up for that. As an 08 player, I give them a big thumbs up for that. To to be able to play bracelet events in things like 08, Limit Hold'em, and uh, some of these mixed games and stuff, I, I think it's great that the World Series of Poker still does that. It doesn't just stick to all No Limit Hold'em and PLO to make the most money. So I'm very happy they do that and they haven't uh, dropped the other games like so many other tours have over the years. Because other tours did have those other games and they decided, no, you know, everybody wants to know Limit Hold'em and, and just also PLO. And, well, we'll do those, but uh, screw everything else. And I'm, I'm glad the World Series hasn't gone that way. But uh, at some point you also have to say tradition is important too. And we're not going to screw with it. We're not going to ruin the tradition. We're not going to depart from it so much to where the old product is unrecognizable or we're not going to do things which really ruin its legacy. You know, baseball, they have to deal with that too. Baseball is always having to make adjustments. And recently because of COVID, they make, they made a lot of weird adjustments to the 2020 season, which people begrudgingly accepted because it's such a weird year, but there's been a discussion in baseball like, okay, so what are they going to keep going forward provided everything returns to mostly normal in 2021? And I really hope they drop most of it. The seven-inning double headers, the stupid runner on second starting from the 10th inning, and uh, a number of these other dumb rules. The only one I like is the three-batter minimum for each pitcher to face because it's it's brutal watching baseball where they change pitchers like after every out in the 7th and 8th inning when it's a close game. And that wasn't the way it used to be. So because baseball evolved to these specialty pitchers, uh, it kind of bogged down the game and made it difficult to watch. 
And so they had to adjust back to that. And so I understand making that new rule, which wouldn't have been necessary 30 years ago. So I, I don't mind baseball making some adjustments to keep with the times, but I also don't like seeing ridiculous things being done that are really ruining and perverting what the, you know, the, the very basics of the game. And the World Series needs to be careful not to do the same. And having two main event champions is pretty bad. If, you, if you're going to have to have an online main event in a year like this, fine. I don't like the fact that it was a rebuy. That was stupid. It should have been a freeze-out. He says, well, the, the World Series of main event is, is always a 10K freeze-out. Okay, well, why didn't you do that then? The GG Poker version, why didn't you make it a 10K freeze-out? <laughs> it's, it's like they screwed it up and they're like, oh, you know what? We made a dumb version of the WSOP main event. Let's do a good version of it now. Well, no, you, you did your dumb version. Someone won it, so they're the champion. Give it up. That's pretty much uh, the highlights of this interview. There are a few other questions I'm not going to bother to read. You can read the article if you want. If you just Google Ty Stewart Poker News WSOP, you'll find it there. The article is called WSOP Executive Director Ty Stewart Shares Main Event and Poker Hall of Fame Details. So give it a read. It's an interesting interview, and there's more to it than what I read you. And Chad always does a good job on uh, his work at Poker News. But yeah, I, I think Stoyan got screwed. <laughs> Even Chris Moneymaker agrees. I know you may say, oh, I don't feel too sorry for Stoyan. He won $4 million and he's the, he's still kind of a main event champion. But still, he's supposed to be the main event champion. Let him be. Okay, I want to move on to talk about the four queens. This is We're going to have a second interview tonight, but... We're not going to because the guy didn't respond in time. Because I, I just heard about this today. So I asked the guy if he wants to come on. He says yes, then he vanished. And I have to assume he's not awake right now because he's in Ohio, to my knowledge, at least according to his Twitter profile. I have never heard of this guy before, but uh, I believe his story. Just my gut feeling is I believe it. I have no evidence what he's saying is true, but it's one of these things you read and you just go, yeah, seems right. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, he's probably telling the truth. Like you, you know what I'm talking about. You'll read some things on social media and go, ah, I don't know about this. Seems like BS to me. And other things go, yep, this probably happened. In this case, it was the latter. So here's, here's the story of what happened. A gambler named Matt Lawson, a gambler named Matt Lawson tweeted this on November 19th. While staying at the Four Queens last week, and that's downtown, it's an old hotel downtown, I was assaulted and robbed in the hotel elevator. Fort Queens has refused to accept any responsibility or even offer an apology. Their head of security needs to resign. So he got assaulted and robbed in the elevator, which is not hard to believe because there's a lot of crime in Vegas, mostly being committed by tourists. What has happened, and we've discussed this on other shows recently, because they've had to drop the prices way down to get people to come to Vegas during the pandemic, a lot of criminal element is showing up there. And this criminal element is ruining Las Vegas. Is They're ruining downtown. They're ruining the Strip. There are shootings. There are stabbings. There are fights. Violence has become the norm on the Las Vegas Strip and downtown, where before, when something like this would happen, it would be a big story. Now, every few days, it seems like you read about a violent incident, a very violent incident, at a casino in Vegas, and you just go, hmm, okay, another one. That's too bad. Where before, it would be really big news. Now, you expect it to happen a few times a week, and it's really sad. And these are not Vegas locals who are coming in and doing this. These are tourists from out of state who are driving in and are staying 
in these rooms that they get cheaply, and in many cases piling in. So like eight of them stay in a room, and yeah, you know, that's not very much money for each of them. Think of it. They, they all drive in. They, they pile into one or two cars. They drive in. They pile into a room that they got for $79 a night or whatever. And it's, it's very little money for, for for these people to stay there, which before they couldn't do this. Before the uh, you couldn't stay on the strip for that type of money. So this has really attracted a bad element. And uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of criminals and, and hoodlums who come in there who have been committing a lot of violent crime. And it's sad. And you've seen videos of it. There's been videos posted all over the Internet of the violent crime in Vegas. This is a fact. The crime has gone way up. The violent crime on the Strip committed by tourists has gone dramatically up in 2020. The cold numbers say that. That's the truth. That's what's really happening there. And I believe that one of those criminals followed this guy into the elevator and uh, robbed him and assaulted him. The problem here is... Addition, yeah, above the crime itself, another problem is the casinos don't want to take much responsibility. The casinos want to wash their hands of it. Yeah, they do, they wish it wasn't happening, believe me. But when it does happen, they want to pretend it didn't because they don't want to be sued. They don't want to admit any responsibility. They don't want the stories getting out about this. So they really, really try to minimize it, and they really, really try to sweep it under the rug because every one of these is a potential problem for them. So it would be great if you went to complain about it and they said, oh, yeah, you know, we really need to beef up security. Yeah, we're so sorry here. Let's do this for you. Let's do that for you. They won't because they don't want to even acknowledge that they don't have enough security right now for the changed circumstances. They probably had enough security for the way it used to be last year, but because it's so much more dangerous now in Las Vegas than it was a year ago, now the security that they had at 2019 levels doesn't cut it anymore. So they don't want to admit that. They don't want to have to acknowledge that. They don't want to be open to lawsuits regarding that, and they don't want the publicity for it. So what do they do for the moment? Some of these places, some of these less reputable places are just trying to sweep it under the rug. And I would assume that a cheap hotel downtown, like the Four Queens, would be one that would do it. A number of people ask this guy questions. Again, his name is Matt Lawson. You can find him on Twitter as at Matt Lawson123, Matt, L-A-W-S-O-N, 123. Someone who posts as Las Vegas Observer wrote, unfortunately, this happens at all properties. They want nothing to do with it. Matt responded, I'm seeing that firsthand. I take four to five trips to Vegas per year and never had a problem. I have one problem, a big problem, and they just want to blow me off. So he's saying that he's he's been coming to Vegas like every two to three months for years, and this is the first incident that's ever occurred there like this to him, and now nobody wants to help him. That's too bad. I believe him. A person named Chrissy asked, I don't know about the head of security resigning, LOL, stay home. Someone was claiming that, uh, well, Chrissy's saying back that the head of security shouldn't resign, that he's overblowing this. So Matt said back, the head of security called me and said they would be taking no responsibility. He told me he'd been there 21 years and there's nothing wrong with the security. He was an arrogant asshole. I believe that. Like, uh, they know there's a problem. They just, they don't want to admit it for the reasons I already told you. So can you imagine you get mugged in the freaking elevator? You want to speak to the head of security, calls you up, and he says, 
Yeah, um, that's really too bad it happened to you, but we have really good security here. This was an outlier. Nothing we could have done. We didn't do anything wrong. Our security is great. We, unfortunately, we have, we can't do anything for you. We don't have responsibility. If, if a third party does this to you, we can't see every single thing that happens on the property. And we don't have anything wrong with their security. It's very good. This was an unusual incident. So sorry, sir. Goodbye. Like, I, I, wouldn't you be pissed to hear that? If you had been mugged in the elevator and you knew security was inadequate, then someone named Chuck Frayne asked him, as head of security, how would you have prevented this from happening? And Matt said back, I would have had security at the entrance and security near the elevators. I would also close off one side of the elevators for entry only from the lobby. This happened. This has happened before at the Four Queens, so they know they have an issue. And I don't know what he means by that, but he claims there's been other incidents in the elevator there. I don't know what he means by the close off one side of the elevators for entry only from the lobby. I'm not sure what he means by that, but uh, he seems to believe that security is inadequate there. Bobby G's Gambling Times and Adventures wrote, just curious, were you intoxicated and heading back to the room at that hour? God knows I've been there, and that's why they followed you to the elevator? So it wasn't phrased that well, but basically he's acting like, he's asking him, were you just like drunk noticeably to where someone uh, wanted to take advantage of you because they knew you were fall down drunk and followed you back for that reason. Not that that's a reason to mug someone, not that that's an excuse, but you're just wondering. So Matt actually answered it. He said, fair question. No, I always wake up early in Vegas and like to have a morning video poker session with some quietness. I had not yet had a drink, but I was headed back to get my buddy and get ready for the day. He had said this occurred at 6.30 a.m., by the way. So that's why someone was suspecting that maybe this occurred because uh, he had been drinking all night, but he's just insisting he woke up early because he just wanted to be away from the crowds. Someone named uh, Faces and Aces LV asked, Oh man, sorry to hear this. I guess I won't be going back to the Four Queens, especially since they seem content to sweep, sweep this under the rug. Actually, I guess he didn't ask anything. I guess it was a statement, but Matt said, Chris, that's the most disappointing thing. All I really wanted was an apology. That is interesting. All he wanted was an apology. So he wasn't looking for money. He wasn't looking for comps. All he wanted was for them to say, sorry, we dropped the ball. Now, I think I understand why Four Queens didn't do that, because an apology is an admission of wrongdoing. If they say, we didn't do this right, then he could come back and say, oh, you admit he didn't do it right. Okay, I want this, this, and that, or I'm suing you, or I'm going to blow this up all over media, social media. But... They also could have handled it better. Even if they didn't want to take legal responsibility for it or say anything that could put them in legal hot water, they could say something like, uh, you know, we're really sorry this occurred. Uh, we're going to pull all footage from it. We're going to, uh, you know, have the police contact us. We'll, we'll fully cooperate. We're really sorry this happened. Uh, we've been trying very hard to prevent this, but the uptick in crime has uh, has created a big challenge for us. We're still evaluating ways to uh, deal with that. There's there's ways to say it without admitting your security sucks and that this shouldn't have happened. So I, I wanted Matt on here. Maybe we'll have him on next week. I want to ask, you know, I know he went to the police. He uh, He had told someone else on Twitter that he did file a police report. Uh, I... I know the police can access video footage and the hotels will typically provide the video footage to the police and don't demand warrants. They don't have to, but they usually do. I want to know if there was a camera in the elevator or maybe the Four Queens doesn't have one. A lot of hotels do have one. Interestingly enough, they don't have cameras in the hallways, but they often have them in the elevators. 
So I wonder if that would have helped or if that ex- even exists at all. And if that angle was pursued, you would think it would be. And what the police said, unfortunately, a number of people responded saying that when they've been mugged in Vegas, that the police just aren't interested, that just nobody seems to want to help them. And that's really too bad. And I, I kind of believe that, too. Uh, if you're going to Las Vegas in 2020 or early 2021, while this is all still going on with a bad element being there, you've really got to watch out. So if somebody's going to get in the elevator with you or somebody's waiting for the elevator with you and you're just getting a vibe from them that you think they look kind of dangerous, especially if they're younger, I hate to stereotype young people, but you, you know, you're not going to see many 45 year olds mugging you there, 55 year olds mugging you. Yeah. You're going to see, you know, you see someone who's, uh, uh, looks in their early twenties and kind of has the look of somebody that you could believe would mug you. And, uh, by the way, I'm not, uh, this is not any kind of, uh, racial statement I'm making. I'm talking about someone of any race that you think kind of has a, uh, criminal look to them. Don't feel bad about thinking that way. Don't say, oh, man, I don't like judging people this way. Well, if you think that way, you're going to end up like uh, Matt Lawson here, maybe worse. If there's someone who makes you feel uncomfortable, then just don't go to the ele- Don't go in there. In fact, uh, you can even make an excuse. You can take out your phone and pretend like you got a phone call. And hello, hey, what's going on? Like a, there's a lot of ways you can not go in the ele- You can quickly turn around and pretend you forgot something. There's a lot of things you can do. And then watch if that person's following you. And if it seems like that person's following you, then go to security, say this is person following me, I don't understand why. If they just go up, then fine. Then take the next elevator. No, you don't have to feel guilty about being concerned about someone. Like, don't talk yourself into saying, oh, I really shouldn't be thinking that about this person. That's not fair. It's not fair for me to think that maybe this person uh, could mug me. I, I shouldn't be judging them this way. No, you're not going to vocalize it. You're not going to say, hey, I think you're a mugger. I think you're a criminal. Just make an excuse You know, to yourself. Like, as I said, take out your phone, walk away for a second, and uh, let them get on the elevator themselves. It's just common sense. You, you don't have to pass a purity of thought test to keep yourself safe. You know, that's a, there's such thing as common sense and keeping yourself out of dangerous situations, potentially dangerous situations. You know, it could be that the person who looks dangerous is, is the nicest guy and just has a, a look that made you think the wrong thing about him. And you know what? He'll never know. He'll just think you got a phone call. He'll just think you forgot something and walked away. You're not going to insult that person. So don't – and I, I don't know what Matt's situation was. I think he was just getting in the elevator like he always does and wasn't thinking of it. And that's what I do. I've Because Vegas wasn't like this before, I, I never chose not to get in an elevator with somebody. Like whoever's waiting for an elevator with me, I've always gotten in there with him. The only exception – I shouldn't say always – once in a while, when I'm like leaving a poker room and have a lot of money on me and I don't have a box in the place, um, if I've got to get on an elevator to go to the parking structure or something, and uh, sometimes if I'm a little suspicious of the person around me, I will let them go first and you know let, make some kind of excuse. Unless there's like multiple people waiting for the elevator and they're not worried. But it's like me and them, and I'm a little worried. Like, what if they followed me out of the poker room and going to mug me, either in the parking lot or the elevator? Then I'll stand back. It's happened very few times, but that's the only time I've done it. Other than that, like, normally I just get in an elevator. I don't think about it. I don't, I've had no care about who gets in with me, other than that, where I'm holding a lot of money and I know it. You really just have to watch out. 
in these elevators, anywhere you're walking around where someone could mug you and get away with it. You've got to treat Vegas differently than you did in 2019 and the years before that. You've got to treat it like there's a lot of people here with violent criminal records who will mug me and will victimize me if they get a chance. That's the, that's the way you have to treat it because that's the truth. There are a lot of people with violent criminal records in Las Vegas as tourists right now way more than there were in previous years. That is a fact. And a lot of them are there to commit crime or will commit crime if the opportunity presents itself. So you need to watch out. All right. So maybe we'll have him on next week. We'll see. See what else he can tell us. Maybe he'll have an update for us a week later. I don't know when this happened. I don't know exactly which date this happened. It was somewhat recently. Bill Perkins is in a battle right now. Bill Perkins is beefing with people on Twitter fairly often. He's kind of an interesting and unusual guy because uh, he's definitely done some nice things. Actually, before that, let's, let's get on another interesting guy. Who isn't that unusual? I won't say he's typical, but he's not that unusual. I got a text from someone who'd uh, like to come here. Actually, I got the text an hour ago. He may not be there. He is What's there. What's happening, Jeff? Trader Rooski, I didn't see your text an hour ago. I just looked now. I'm like, you know what? Trader Rooski never appeared. He's, I know you said you were going to be around at 11, and then he never appeared. And then uh, I, I saw, then it, I noticed, like, I wonder if I just didn't see his text. So I took a look, and it, an hour ago you texted me. So it wasn't quite 11, but uh, it also wasn't this time. You were, uh, you've were you been available for an hour and haven't been here. But I'm glad I brought you here. I'm glad we have uh, a co-host now. And uh, just in time for the Bill Perkins story. Bill Perkins, he's done some very nice things. He's done some very generous things. Most recently what he's done was uh, fund the majority of Veronica Brill's legal defense in the Mike Possel defamation suit, which, of course, I'm one of the defendants as well. I'm not getting funded by Bill Perkins, but, you know, it's, I didn't expect that. I didn't ask for that. But it's nice that he's funding Veronica, given that uh, she's the least well-off of uh, all the defendants there. So that was very nice of him, very generous of him. He's, he's done other very nice things, and he, he doesn't seem like a bad guy, and I've seen some very positive things that he's done. But uh, he does like to inject himself into controversy, and he does like to create drama, and sometimes he doesn't exactly know what he's talking about, so this it, it sometimes results in a backlash. One of the other controversies he got in was where he kept talking about this huge story that he can't reveal yet, but this huge story that's going to make the Apostle story seem like nothing, that this is going to be one of the biggest stories ever in poker, the biggest scandals ever in poker, he said. And people are like, wow, what is Bill holding back? So finally he told it, and it was very run-of-the-mill and not all that interesting. It, it was. It turned out he had... Uh, uh, he did actually have a story, and there was a point of basically like a, a multi-accounting and a private online high-stakes game involving Jungle Man and some other people. So it, it was something of interest. It was worth discussing. It was worth him bringing forward, but it was not like the biggest story of all time. It wasn't even close. It was just you know, kind of an, another piece of poker drama is what it was. It was in no way a groundbreaking, amazing, oh-my-God type story. And, and he... 
postured for so long about it, and then by the time he revealed the real thing, uh, people were very frustrated that it seemed like he was attention whoring by talking it up so much when he probably had to know this wasn't as big as it was. So uh, I thought, okay, maybe he, since he was involved in it, maybe to him it was really big, and he didn't realize the rest of us weren't going to see this as something that was like the biggest story ever. So I, I dismissed it a little bit, but I did say, you know, this guy does kind of like drama, and. We're seeing it again. So this this time it has to do with the Doug Polk-Daniel Negreanu match. Bill Perkins tweeted this on November 17th. Match delayed, the match referring to the Doug Polk-Daniel Negreanu heads-up match, due to disagreement over rules. One party, Doug Polk, thinks it's okay to manually enter in hand histories to software and have frequency analysis done, and the other, Daniel Negreanu, does not. Big disadvantage that Negreanu has not been doing this. And so then he wrote, Phil Galfond time, hashtag poker. Well, what does Galfond have to do with this? Galfond was basically the arbitrator. They were basically thinking, well, and you may think, well, what does this have to do with Perkins? There's some suspicion that Perkins might be backing or partially backing Negranu's match with, uh, with Polk. But whatever it is, he's definitely someone who's like in the Negranu camp. And, and I'll explain in a second what uh, Seriously Serious posted about it. But, Phil Galfond, I guess, was tasked to be the arbitrator here. And I guess they picked Galfond because, uh, number one, they, they trust him. And number two, he's kind of like a, a nice, easygoing, neutral guy that they figured could probably rule fairly on this. So they both agreed to let uh, Galfond arbitrate this situation. Where Now, to me, immediately this seemed a little bit weird because – listen again what he's alleging, that – Doug Polk wants to manually enter in hand histories that took place on WSOB.com into some kind of uh, analysis software, and that uh, and this is after their games, and that Daniel doesn't like that. Well, I didn't think this was against the rules they had agreed to. I, t- To be honest, I don't think any – as much as I don't like any kind of assistance being used during these uh, matches, as I said, like I didn't like the charts thing that they agreed to, I think – in between matches, if they want to go over hand histories of what they've already played and try to learn from them and improve, even if they use tools to analyze them, then fine. Like that's uh, that's different than using it in real time to guide your play. There's a huge difference between using histories as a learning tool for yourself to understand your opponent better and to use some kind of automated tool to tell you what to do during the match. One is almost like a bot is helping you play, and the other one is, is just learning. So I initially was on Doug's side from just reading that description. So this is what Doug said back. He said, okay, this is completely ridiculous, and we were talking privately, but if you're going to fire off tweets, let's talk about it. Because uh, this was something that Negranu was objecting to but was not bringing publicly. Daniel was not bitching about this publicly, nor was Doug. They were like, okay, let's figure this out privately and, and have uh, Galfond arbitrate. And they were not even going to make this dispute public. <laughs> and then Perkins, who's friends with Negranu, decided to just bring it out there. So Doug was pissed. So Doug said the rules were no hit hand histories and no HUDs. That's heads-up displays. Uh, we both agreed – that and and we were both clear neither was used then he says now today daniel messages me asking me more or less this question quote data mining is against nevada regulation and i'm not entirely sure how the term data mining is defined we agreed to taking notes but does this include for example writing down how often you 
continuation beta flop. I don't think Negreanu is being reasonable here. These are very standard things. What, so, so Doug Polk cannot write down how often he continues bet the flop? What, why not? Why, why can't he write down patterns of his own play? That's especially outrageous. So what, you, you can't even analyze your own play now? And that's not, there's no Nevada regulation against writing down your own habits. Data mining, it's totally different. Data mining is using uh, automated tools to, to monitor your, uh, your opponents in real time and, and monitor tables in real time. And so I, I didn't even know it's against Nevada regulation, but, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but that's what Daniel claimed to Doug. But there's no way that getting hand histories from WSOP.com software, which obviously is, uh, regulated by the state of Nevada and using those hand histories to learn from is against Nevada regulations. There's no way such a thing is true. So Doug said, I responded by saying I viewed data mining as the automation of hands to provide data, uh, such as a computer scraping the screen to give you frequencies. I then said I look at the replayer on WSOP.com to check how many times he opened a button or three-bit my, my open each session. Now Perkins tweets, one party thinks it's okay to manually enter into hand history into software and have frequency analysis done. What? I did not enter any hand histories into software. I opened up the client and looked how many times he folded his button. So if that's true, that's really crazy. I'm actually okay if they enter into tools. As much as I want this to be a match of wits and skill, and I don't want them using any tools, notes are fine that they actually type about each other during the game, but... Anything beyond notes that they type out during the match, I don't want to see any automated tools or any, any kind of assistance during the match. I think it's totally fine to analyze past hands you've already played in between sessions. Whatever you want to do with that d- data, go ahead and use it. But here, Doug's saying he didn't even do that. So Doug said, we also have a judge to arbitrate this thing, and now Perkins is just firing off with super misleading accusations about what has happened in the match. Completely out of line. I can't believe I have to defend opening up the client and looking at a 400 hand hand session how many times my opponent folded the button. This is some of the most nitpicky bitch shit I have ever been part of. So Daniel said back, we agree that it's worth going to Phil Galfon so we can get clarity on what type of data accumulation is okay and within the rules of WSOP.com's terms of service. Good call on a referee. And Doug said, Looking forward to seeing what he has to say about this. I am sure he will love to take a breather from his own challenge to arbitrate another one. So then Bill Perkins tweeted, Correction has frequency analysis done, but not manually entered into software. Either way, a dispute. I'm sorry to have gotten that wrong. So then Bill conceded, okay, I guess he wasn't entering the software. Then Doug said, uh, all good. At first I thought this was going to be a big deal. Then I realized it was only bigger than the Mike Possel incident. So he was was mocking what... Perkins had done in the past with uh, claiming his uh, that multi-accounting scandal was bigger than the Mike Possel incident, so uh, Doug was mocking that. So then uh, Bill Perkins said back, that's funny. For the record, we have a dispute, not an integrity question here, no malice. The only thing bigger than Mike Possel is how much money you're going to lose. A- aside from that, there's very little drama, and put a-, a smiley face. So he's trying to act like, ah, okay, no big deal, ha, 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 yeah, you're going to lose a lot of money, uh, but you, you can tell there's some bitterness here on both sides. Doug was in the right here, and Phil Galfon actually ruled in his favor, not surprisingly. Will Jaffe had enough. He decided to unload on Perkins in a little video he made on Twitter, also on November 17th. Listen to this one. This is a pretty harsh little rant against Mr. Perkins from Will Jaffe. 
What's up, guys? It's uh, been a minute, but uh, it's time to have another tough convo. And this one's for uh, Bill Perkins. Look, Bill, I know you've done a lot for the poker community, like donate a lot of money to high rollers. But, you know, this is not a high roller. It's not a super high roller. It's not a home game. This is Twitter, where we get to say mean and vindictive shit to people and never have to face any consequences for it. So... You know, I don't know what's going on. You know, first you're, you're criticizing the poker community for making a bad bet against, against you. You know, laying odds on the best heads up player of all time versus a guy who's gotten heads up a few time in mixed games tournaments, um, at a WPT in 1986. And now you're, you're calling out Doug for, uh, analyzing hand histories. I mean, come on, bro. This is, this is the ultimate stay in your lane moment. Like, when people play online, sometimes, sometimes they save hand histories and they, and they look at the results and, you know, see what happened. And, uh, if you're thinking this is an issue, I mean, it just shows how bad of a bet you made, which, I mean, to be honest, is fair. Cause I mean, you're trying to die with zero, right? Like, and, and on the topic of that, I mean, I'm sure Dan Smith and Mike McDonald are really, really love that book and I'm sure it's great, but I, I think I speak for the, the vast majority of the poker community when, you know, if you really want to help us out, if you could, if you could maybe teach us how to live with zero. First, that would be great. Let me pause this before he finishes the last 30 seconds. He's covering a lot of little things here. It's not totally fair to say the only thing Bill Perkins has done for the poker community has been lose money to the high-stakes players. He has done nice things. He has done generous things. And one of the, what he did for Veronica is a good example of it. So I, I know he's trying to be funny here, but that's not really fair to say to him. The rest of it, I, I mostly agree that he shouldn't be criticizing Doug like this and sticking his neck into something he doesn't totally understand. And uh, he claimed that, that Bill Perkins was mocking people about uh, betting on the other side. I didn't see that, so I can't comment on that. I know that Bill Perkins is definitely on Daniel's side here. And as I said, he might be backing him. I don't know about Bill mocking people about it. That's what Will is claiming. Let's go on here. You, you know, you kind of made Return of the Jedi before you did A New Hope here. But, you know, that's neither here or there. It's just ultimately, bro, like, I don't like, I don't like people who think they're experts in different areas. Poker players do this all the time, but I think you're stepping out a little, a little out of your lane here, Papa. And it's just like, you know, just because you fly to the Galapagos a couple times a year and do acid with a bunch of extinct sea turtles and Dan Blazarian doesn't make you a self-help guru. Kind of just makes you a rich asshole. So, yeah. <laughs> The Die with Zero thing, by the way, I, we talked about it before on this book. It's, it's, uh, on this show. It's a book that was recently released by Bill Perkins, and the concept is don't leave anything to your kids. Live out your life to and spend all your money by the time you die and use a lot of your money while you're still young enough to enjoy it. Don't just accumulate, accumulate, accumulate and just say, hey, you know, I'll enjoy the money towards the end of my life and then whatever I don't, uh, that my kids will get. He's saying that's a mistake. He's saying you should spend your money while you're young enough to enjoy it and do a lot of the things you won't be able to do when you're older. And also you never know when you're going to die. So if you don't do that, you also may die before you get to the age that you think you're going to spend it all. And it's a mistake to leave your money to your kids because uh, that's going to harm them. And I I understood the points he was raising, and I, I just disagreed with most of them. I, I don't think that's smart. In fact, the only debate Bill Perkins and I have ever gotten into on Twitter, and it was a civil one. We didn't insult each other, and there's nothing bad about the debate other than we disagreed. But uh, he was very pro-inheritance tax because he wanted uh, 
he wants people to be encouraged to spend or donate their money before they die. So he likes the inheritance tax because it uh, pressures people to do that because they know if they don't, then the government's going to take it or take a lot of it. So we, we had a debate back and forth, and I, I understand you – know, that was before I knew he had written that Die With Zero book. But I, I don't agree with this because one's kids may not have the same abilities or opportunities to earn money as you. So, yeah, it would be great if your kids uh, could just make all of their own money and that uh, they shouldn't just receive money you've earned without doing anything and that – there are some ways that can be harmful, but uh, the, the truth is, you know, I, I, as I mentioned in my debate with Bill, and I know I'm going on tangent here, but let's say you did very well for yourself. You made a lot of money, and you uh, say, okay, one day my – let's say you have one kid, just to make it simple. One day my, my kid is going to get this, whatever I don't spend by the time I die, my kid will get. Well, let's say you know your kid uh, just isn't very – intelligent or talented they're they're not uh mentally disabled and but they just they're not somebody who's going to make a lot of money on their own they're not particularly entrepreneurial they're not very creative they're not all that intelligent maybe they have average intelligence they can hold an okay job and kind of just get by but they're not going to have nice things in life they're going to be able to kind of subsist so you have done well you love your child you know you can't live forever you know you're going to be gone before your kid uh, barring some kind of unusual circumstance and uh you say all right I Since I won't be able to have this money, uh, I, I want my child to be able to enjoy the fruits of my labor. And uh, I want my child to be able to enjoy things that they won't otherwise be able to afford. They won't be able to, you know, with, their, with what they have, with the talents they have, with the intelligence they have, they will never be able to be rich. And there, there are certain people, which, which sadly that's true. And that, that's not bad. You know, some people are, are, are completely happy living... Uh, just a very standard, basic life. And I'm not saying you have to be rich to be happy. And there's very rich people who are really unhappy. It's not, it's not always tied together. But it's also true that uh, financial problems can be uh, a big detriment, and they can also get in the way of things. They can prevent you from being able to do things you want to do, or even you have children. It can, pre- you can prevent your children from having opportunities they, they could otherwise have. There's a lot of things that... Uh, money can make better. And if you can give that to your kids who otherwise wouldn't be able to earn it, then that's good. Uh, now, you don't want your kid just depending on you and just learning that just money comes to them for nothing. And they have to learn how to manage money and respect money. And that's... So, you know, Bill makes those points that without that, that they uh, they don't learn that. And both can be true, though. You can... Your kids can learn how to respect money and how to manage money. And at the same time, they can you can feel good about leaving the money to them, knowing that they will make good use of it and they will enjoy it and they will live better and their kids will live better. But to just blow it all and say your kids can stand on their own two feet, thats uh, you can, but I just don't think that's very nice to do to your kids if you have money. So that's where I have a disagreement with him. I mean, he, we, we each have our own philosophy. I made these points on Twitter to him a while back and he felt I was very wrong. So these are dif- differences of opinion. And it was a civil conversation. Nobody insulted each other. Nobody uh, was condescending to each other. We just debated, and then that was that. But anyway, that, that's what he's referring to with Die With Zero. That's a book that Bill wrote. So, okay, let me get into what the situation was that kind of led to this in a way, aside from the debate itself, 
Dan Bilzerian was bashing uh, Doug after having a bad session, which we'll talk about when we talk about the Doug Polk versus Negranu match and how that's going in the next segment. But one of the segments, one of the sessions was very bad for uh, Doug recently, and Doug fell behind. And then what happened was Dan Bilzerian on November 18th tweeted to Doug, congratulations, heard you're killing the heads up match. And this is when Doug was at his low point in the match. Not anywhere way down, but this is the the best point Negreanu was at in the match. He was ahead by uh, like 150-something thousand. This is on November 18th. And then Doug tweeted right back to him, you want next, bud? I say let's go, but you aren't man enough to play without begging for odds. <laughs> so he's challenging Dan right back to play him heads up after the Negreanu match and saying that uh, there's no way that Bilzerian will agree to this unless Doug gives him some kind of odds as far as uh, some kind of side bet if he wins. So I asked, what's the history? Why is Dan Bilzerian popping off now? What does he have to do with this? So I didn't know that Bilzerian had anything to do with Negreanu. I didn't think those two were friends. So here's what Seriously Serious said. He said, first, we made a video roasting him, that is Dan Bilzerian, that got 1.7 million views, which we know Dan has seen and was pretty upset about. The other connection is Bill Perkins. As many people know, he's good friends with Dan Bilzerian. P- Perkins has also been hyping up this hybrid training app, it's called Hybrid, that he seems to have developed with MJ Gonzalez, which Daniel has been using to study heads-up game theory. Perkins is likely backing Daniel and apparently has over a million in side bets. He's been very contentious with Doug lately. So that that would explain it. <laughs> if, if he's got a lot of side bets on Daniel and that he's backing this app, that uh, this training app that Daniel actually used here, something called Hybrid, that uh, this MJ Gonzalez developed. This is what uh, Bill Perkins tweeted on November 5th that was shown by Sirius the Sirius. Perkins wrote, Very proud of Daniel Negreanu for taking the challenge seriously and absorbing an immense amount of knowledge in a short period of time. Still more to go, but with hybrid poker coaching, I believe he will get there. He's at the Harvard, Stanford, MIT of poker, but but studying matters. Good student. Then uh, Polk said on November 18th, if we have Perkins' blessing, we're going to start a session soon. And Perkins said, I'll start saying that I'll take 15 big blinds per 100 with Dan Bilzerian playing Doug Polk, with Dan having six months to study in the same format as the, as the Daniel Negreanu match. Dan is a good student, but stubborn as fuck and may not give a damn, so we need those big blinds. So, so basically, <laughs> Perkins is saying that he'll back Bilzerian in the match. I don't know, why does he even have to back Bilzerian? Maybe he means a side bet, I don't know, Bilzerian has a ton of money. But, but uh, that he would only agree with a 15 big blinds per 100 handicap that you subtract off the top at the end. So that uh, not only would Dan, would Doug have to win the match, he'd have to win by 15 big blinds per 100, which is a lot. That's a that's a lot of big blinds per 100 hands, 15 big blinds per 100. So that, that's kind of a dumb thing to tweet. It, it does seem that Perkins has some financial interest in this, both with the training tool and with uh, side bets. Presumably, if Daniel wins or even comes very close to winning, then they can use this to promote the training tool, so that Daniel, who has very little heads-up, no-limit experience trained with his hybrid poker tool and either beat Doug or came super close to beating Doug, who's the best heads-up, no-limit player in the world. So that, that would be a big endorsement. Of course, this is Daniel Negreanu, who's known to be very, very talented in poker, so that doesn't mean the average Joe can use the hybrid poker tool 
and become an excellent heads-up player. That just means that Daniel Negreanu can do it, which is a that's not saying very much for the average person. I mean, if, if Daniel can learn from something and become much better using some sort of studying method, I'm not going to say that the average dude could use that and also get way better. That's that's those two don't necessarily connect. Possibly, but not necessarily. If you just got like an average Joe poker player who wasn't that great, but just kind of knew what he was doing, but other than that was just very ordinary, wasn't even that good, and then he used that tool and then became a crusher, that would be, provided it was legitimate in the way they presented it, and provided the guy really was like a very ordinary player, uh, that would be a big endorsement. But I assume that's what Perkins is hoping for here. So that that was the drama going on. Not huge, but just kind of sniping back and forth. You could tell the Doug is annoyed with him. And you could tell Doug is annoyed that this little drama got brought out there. But probably not that annoyed because he knew he was in the right. Like, Doug knew he was so much in the right on that one that once the details came out that Daniel wouldn't look good. Anyway, let's get on to talk about what is going on with that match between them. I've made a few references. You might have a little bit of an idea or you may know if you've been following this closely. But let me tell you how the match is going. Trader Ruski, have you been following the Doug-Daniel match so far? Not too closely. I think I've seen you tweet a couple times. That's been about it. Yeah, I will confess, despite having some money on this, I have not watched any of this. I have only been watching the updates. So far, they are almost 3,800 hands through, and they're playing 25,000 hands. And either one at the 12,500 mark has the option to opt out. It's pretty clear that Doug will not be opting out, believing himself to be the better player. But uh, maybe Daniel will, though if he if it goes anything like it's gone so far, Daniel will not. So they they've been really trading back and forth. They've they've both had some big sessions, and uh, it's really played very close to even, which is interesting. Now, thirty eight hundred hands sounds like a lot, but the truth is, when the success or failure is defined by a few really big spots, as what happens in No Limit Hold'em, this doesn't mean as much as you think, and that's why they're playing. 25,000 hands rather than something like 5,000 hands where you really wouldn't get that great of an idea. The big beatdown that Dan Bilzerian was referring to mocking Doug Polk was the one that occurred on November 18th. And that was where they played uh, 591 hands and Doug lost $222,000. That brought the total all the way down to $155,000 in Daniel's favor. And keep in mind, this was after Doug had been stomping on Daniel in the first few sessions online. Remember, Daniel did very well in that 200-hand live session. Then they were playing all on WCB.com. Doug was killing him. It looked like this whole thing's already over. And then Daniel came storming back, had a big session of like winning like 206000 And then Doug went on to win some, some of it back. And it was, it was still fairly close, and that's where we left it last time, last week when we did the show. It was still fairly close as far as the stakes they're playing. But then this beatdown happened, the 222000 the second time, second session where Doug has lost more than 200000 in a single session to Daniel. And this changed it from uh, you know, roughly 70000 in Doug's favor to 155000 in Daniel's favor after almost 3,000 hands. This is on November 18th, not that long ago. So uh, then Daniel even got a little closer. Daniel then won 24,000 in 457 hands. 
And uh, with 34-22 hands done, then Daniel was at his peak of being up 179,000. Now, by no means is this something that Doug couldn't come back from, especially given the sessions we've seen where someone wins $200,000 or more. But people didn't expect after 34-22 hands that Daniel would be the one up almost uh, almost $180,000. By the way, this is why I bet the whole thing at 4.25 to 1, because there's a lot of variance in this, because there, there's just a number of spots where if they fall one way or the other, it can make a big difference. Well, on November 20th, just uh, earlier today, there was a swing back the other way. Doug Paul coming in almost 180K down in 377 hands, walloped Daniel for $205,000 to put himself back in the black up 26K. But look, I mean... About 3,800 hands have been played, and it's only 26K in Doug's favor, which is really nothing here. Doug tweeted, back in the green, had some very nice cooler spots back the opposite way. Feel I'm playing great. Also, just brought a, bought a Threadripper 3990X and upgraded to 128 gigabytes RAM to get deep in the lab all weekend. So he's going to be hard at work trying to learn more. I don't know if he's saying there's a little needle to Bill Perkins. Doug has insisted that Daniel has not played well. He said so recently, that Daniel is either playing a pre-flop hand style that nobody realizes is positive expectation, like a new revolutionary pre-flop hand style, or that Daniel doesn't know what he's doing, is playing really bad pre-flop. He said it's one of these two things he put on Twitter. So Doug feels that Daniel's not playing well and has just kind of lucked himself into this... uh, relative even results so far. He did admit in this last tweet, though, that he had some, quote, cooler spots that allowed him to win a lot off Daniel, where Daniel was destined to lose money. It wasn't from playing poorly. But when he said back the opposite way, he was referring to that he was the victim of those spots where Daniel was beating him. Now, both are probably true. Probably some of these big hands were ones where whoever was on the wrong end of it was going to be destined to lose a lot of money. But so far, Daniel's been holding his own. He is not getting stomped on. Daniel is playing to a virtual tie. So we will see where this goes. A lot left to be played. They are not even 20% done. They are only a little bit more than uh, 15% done. A tiny bit more than 15% done. So about 85% of the match left to be played. And we're going to see where this goes. And we'll see if there's any continuing side drama here. I'm actually happy that all I placed on it was five hundred dollars to win twenty one twenty five because there's it's like it's like a little sweat where I have someone to root for, but it's not like a stressful sweat. I don't have to like panic every day. Oh my god, what's what's going to be the result? What's gonna be the result? Ah, oh, no, Doug Paul won two hundred k. Like I, I read it, go okay, that's interesting. Like I, I don't even think of my bet very much. Yeah, I'm happier when Daniel wins, but like I, it's not something I have a lot of emotion attached to. Where if I have a lot more money, like let's say I had five thousand here to win twenty thousand, yeah, I, I would be much more invested in the results here and I would be like like emotionally like it would bother me more to see when Doug wins we're here I'm just like I'm just kind of watching I'm just kind of watching and observing and it doesn't I don't really get much emotion either way I'm just happy Daniel has stuck close so far that shows me that so far I made a good bet where at one point I thought I made a bad bet now at this point I think yeah the 4.25 to odds 4.25 to 1 odds were actually uh, I, I think that was a positive expectation bet and hopefully I get lucky and it comes through. And I think I would have to get lucky. I think Daniel will have to run better than average to win it. And if he doesn't, then I will lose. But that's 
the whole point of an underdog bet. You, you make a plus uh, 425 bet. You're not betting, believing your bet has a 50% chance to win unless you've got a tremendously good spot. So that's where that stands at the moment. I will update this every week. So moving on to our next subject. States are shutting down casinos due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the worsening in a lot of places of the COVID-19 numbers. If you remember, earlier this year, casinos were shutting down all over the place because it was considered not a safe place to be when the COVID numbers are going up. I still believe today that a casino is not a safe place to be. Later in the show, I'm going to talk about something called the illusion of security. It is not a term I made up, but it is a term I am applying to COVID-19 that I've never seen applied that way before. And I'm going to tell you about the illusion of security. And one element of the illusion of security is the scrubbing down of things at casinos, the washing of chips, the washing of machines, the spraying of machines, and just seeing the staff hard at work keeping the place clean. It feels good to see during a pandemic, but in this particular pandemic, it's probably not very helpful. It's probably performative, but not really helpful in a practical sense. I still believe casinos are pretty dangerous to catch COVID-19, and I believe the fear of this a while back, while probably more aimed at people touching surfaces, uh, turns out to be correct because there's still a lot of danger in the air there. And you need to watch out. So they have learned this and they've decided they're going to start closing casinos, which I can't even argue with because uh, they, they are pretty dangerous. I mean, and I'm, I'm pretty much an anti-shutdown guy. I'm someone who believes that even though I am personally cautious with COVID, that I feel that every adult, for the most part, should be able to assess their own risk. But if there's something that really is very risky, that's that's really fueling a lot of cases, I can understand closing it. And I can see where casinos could be that type of place. I don't feel really strongly about it, but when I see that they're being closed, I don't go, oh, this is awful, this is unreasonable, this is terrible. Other things I see closing I think are stupid. And I think people should have the option to do it or not do it. But uh, and there's some weird arbitrary things like, like in, in California where they're they're closing bars at 10 p.m. Like why do that? That's either open them or close them. Why 10 p.m.? But as far as shutting down casinos, yeah, I understand it because the the COVID numbers are getting really bad. As was feared, it was feared that when winter was coming, and we're not technically in winter, but we're into the cold weather in a lot of the country, and it's late November. And people are spending more time indoors. And as that happens, viruses tend to transmit more because people are indoors where it happens a lot more often than outdoors. And uh, that has been coming true with COVID. And that's we're seeing a lot of spread in the Midwest. But everywhere, for the most part, in the U.S. has been going up, some places worse than others. We talked about that last week. So... Here's what's going on with the casinos. Michigan announced that uh, they're going to be closing their brick-and-mortar casinos. Governor Gretchen Whitmer announced that uh, she was going to be uh, implementing new COVID-19 restrictions and that uh, they're also going to be closing high schools, colleges, indoor dining, and movie theaters, and that they're going to last through December 9th. 
at least, and possibly longer. She said, right now there are thousands of cases a day and hundreds of deaths a week in Michigan. The number is growing. If we don't act now, thousands more will die and our hospitals will continue to be overwhelmed. We can get through this together by listening to health experts once again, taking the action right now to slow the spread of this deadly virus. Now, she she hasn't been without uh, mistake. She's been very controversial about her aggressive shutdowns of Michigan. She did this uh, in the spring. In the spring, there was some embarrassment when uh, she would not let people go to the lakes or go anywhere to congregate for the Memorial Day weekend, only to see the numbers were starting to drop around then. And, said, okay, and the last minute kind of relented on this and said, okay, we'll open things up for Memorial Day weekend. Well, what happened was she wanted to go out on Memorial Day weekend too. So her husband called up the lake where they have a boat and the boat had been, uh, all the boats there had been uh, not prepared for use. They'd, they'd, they'd been, uh, all the boats had been taken off and uh, not on the lake. So he called up and said, hey, can you get my boat ready? I'm going to be up for Memorial Day weekend. And they said, sorry, sir. Uh, there's a huge backlog of people we have to do this for because the state just opened to allow to do this. So now everybody called up at once and wants their boat prepared to get on the lake. So you're in a huge line. We're not going to have it done in time. Sorry. And he said, well, I'm the governor's husband. Will that help at all? So that, then he went and reported this to the media. And this looked really bad for her because the whole reason that there was this backlog is because she took so long to open up the state for uh, Memorial Day. So then once she opens it, then uh, her husband can't get the boat ready in time. You know, the people, they, they can't get it ready for them. And then he tries to use the, the influence that he's the governor's husband to get it done specially for him, which looks really horrible. And then she admitted this happened and said it was just a joke, which, of course, he wasn't joking. That was a very hypocritical. Also, she's the one who was uh, known for one of the governors manda- who mandated COVID-positive patients were forced into nursing homes. Nursing homes could not deny them. And this killed a lot of people. So she's she's mishandled COVID in, in, in some ways, but she's been very, very pro-shutdown and very aggressive with the shutdown. So it looks like this is happening again, and the casinos are, are closing there. Uh, so they, uh, they're they going to be shutting down the various casinos over there, at least till December 9th. That, but there's other places, not just uh, Michigan and Governor Whitmer. In Illinois, where they're having a bad COVID problem, Governor J.B. Prisker announced that they're going to be shutting down the state's gaming market starting on 11 p.m. on Thursday, November 19th. He did not say when this will end, just that this is starting and will remain until he feels it needs to remain. He said that if any of the 10 casinos in the state of Illinois refuse to close, that they may lose their gambling license. New Mexico has also decided that... uh, they're going to uh, close casinos there. I think in Mexico it's not mandated. Uh, I think some of these are, are closing on their own. Route 66 Casino, which I believe is an Indian casino, so I think that they probably can't be forced to be shut down, but uh, Route 66 Casino shut down uh, already in mid-October from a COVID outbreak, and uh, Isleta Casino in New Mexico, announced that uh, starting on uh, Monday, I, I think this is Monday that it already passed, Monday the 16th, that uh, that they closed at midnight. So New Mexico starting to close casinos voluntarily, but it doesn't seem like it's being mandated. Pennsylvania has not announced a statewide mandate to close, but some cities 
have forced closures. Philadelphia is one of them. So Rivers Casino, which also used to be known as uh, Sugar House, is shutting down. Uh, in fact, they just, just shut down on a Friday night, uh, the 20th, and will not be allowed to reopen until January 2nd, 2021. And another casino that will be forced shut down by the city of Philadelphia would be the South Philadelphia Race and Sportsbook. So Pennsylvania, again, they can stay open if the city is okay with it, but Philadelphia is one that is not going to have it. In California, nothing's been shut down yet, but uh, there are curfews where after 10 p.m. that uh, bars and restaurants have to shut down. It's not clear if that's going to apply to casinos, too. The casinos in California, the Indian ones can pretty much do what they want. The non-Indian ones, like the card rooms such as Commerce, they, uh, they're they not even allowed to have indoor gaming yet. They've been having this outdoor gaming. And uh, I don't know if that's going to continue or if it's going to be allowed to continue after 10 p.m. What about New Jersey? They were pretty uh, cautious because in the spring, if you remember, three states that were really hard hit were New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Mostly in the New York City area, which does encompass those three states, uh, greater New York City includes portions of New Jersey and Connecticut. Even though Atlantic City is not that close to New York City, I think it's like two and a half hours away by car, uh, because the statewide New Jersey also had high COVID cases, even if you uh, look at the part of the state that was not the New York City area, they uh, were very cautious about reopening and did not reopen their casinos until July, which is one of the latest reopenings of casinos. It was a month later than Vegas. But uh, so far, New Jersey is not forcing any kind of shutdown, and uh, that might be because they are not getting it as badly there, maybe because it was already really bad in the spring. So, so far, New Jersey has been spared from this. Colorado is... Looking at this, but at the moment they haven't taken action yet. They put some new COVID restrictions down in Colorado, but they said that they're not going to have them apply to casinos, at least not yet. So a number of casinos uh, are closing and expect more of this as we continue through the winter, where I have to imagine the the COVID situation is going to keep getting worse, at least until uh, a vaccine becomes available which should then uh, get it somewhat under control, provided these vaccines do what they appear to do. By the way, uh, speaking of vaccine, I I will do a COVID segment later. I just thought of it, though. Some of you may know of a player who goes by Joe Tall. That's not his real name. I I think his name's like Joseph Bunovitz or something. He's he's public about it. I just forgot exactly what his real name is. I I know him as Joe Tall. Uh, Trader Ruski, do you know who Joe Tall is? I remember the name. But I don't exactly remember who he is. Yeah, I know he played at the bike a good deal, and uh, I, I even I've played with him a little bit. I, I hadn't seen him in person until I played with him, and I'd always wonder: Is Joe Tall actually tall, or is it kind of like someone named Curly who's actually bald? And uh, the answer is yes. Joe Tall is actually tall. He's not like unusually tall. I think he's kind of around my height, maybe a little taller. But uh, Joe Tall is, like when I say not unusually, I mean like he's way taller than average, like I am, but but he's not like someone you're going to see and say, oh my God, look at that guy. He's like, it's not like that. It's not like you see a basketball player walk by. So anyway, Joe Tall, the reason I mention him is not about his height. Joe Tall is actually doing a coronavirus vaccine trial. And uh, that's 
pretty interesting. He's the only I don't really know him very well personally. I talk to him occasionally on Twitter uh, publicly, but I don't really know him very well. But he volunteered for a vaccine study, and uh, they didn't tell him if he's getting the placebo or the actual vaccine. That, that's the way they study it. Is they give you they give half the people a vaccine, half the people a placebo. It looks the same to them. And then uh, they study the results for each half and see where the difference is. So he thinks he's figured out that he actually has the real vaccine because uh, he went and did an antibody test. And uh, they they had uh, four possible results you can get for this antibody test. One means a very high presence of antibodies to COVID. Two means a semi-high antibody presence. Three means a low antibody presence, but they're... Uh, detectable, and uh, negative means there's no antibodies there to COVID. So if, basically, if you've never had COVID and never taken the vaccine, you're going to get negative. If I, if I were to go, I'm just about sure I'd get negative unless somehow I had COVID and didn't know it, which I don't think is that likely. So he took it before getting on this trial. I think they made him do it and th- to show that he hadn't had COVID yet, and uh, he, it came back negative, so he hasn't. He just took the antibody test again, and it came up with a one, meaning high level of antibodies. So that's, I, I guess that's a pretty good sign because that provided he really got the vaccine that shows that he actually has a high level, level of antibodies in his system without having had COVID. So th- there's, there's a lot to be optimistic about with the vaccines that they're reporting are uh, over, well over 90% effective. We'll see if they really are, but uh, looks like for Joe Tall, they seem to be working. Anyway, uh, looking at some numbers here for COVID quickly before we move on here. We'll, we'll do a, more of a COVID segment shortly. But uh, taking a look at some of the numbers in the U.S., where there currently is a spike for sure, there were over 200,000 verified cases for November 20th. Actually, it's, it's not quite November 20th. It's 5 p.m. through 5 p.m. Pacific time from the, the 19th to the 20th, but a 24 hours period. 201,000 verified cases. The most cases were in Texas. Second most were California. Third most, Illinois. However, population is highest in California, of course, and uh, California has almost, uh, or has more than three times the population of Illinois, but yet they had almost the same number of positive cases. So that's pretty bad for Illinois. So the actual number of cases doesn't matter. You've got to compare it to population. And that's why places like the Dakotas, which have a very low population, that if you don't know that they have a low population, it doesn't look that bad. You go, oh, look, you know, North Dakota, they had uh, 1,404 new cases. Okay, that's not that bad. Yeah, but their population is 762,000. So that's, that is not good because if you multiply that out to what a California population would be, that would be a way, way higher than the than the cases you're getting in California. So the center of the country is not doing well. These are places, of course, that get cold in late November. So this is not surprising. California is not uh, a very cold place. It, it, it does have a winter. It does have a late fall where it, it's cooler than, uh, than it is during the summer. But you, you don't have it where everyone's like just totally forced inside. Though it's going to happen somewhat in California, too. Once it, once it gets a little cooler... Especially if there's a cold snap where, where there's a lot of days that the highs in the 50s and the lows in the 30s, you're, you are going to get a lot of people inside. And California has gone up. It's, it's pretty much gone up everywhere, even Florida, which isn't cold. 
So some of this is just the, the the virus is kind of making a comeback. And of course, as people travel around and you know people go from a different state to uh, to other states, they bring it with them, and this is very very contagious. So this is really a good time to avoid going out in public. It's really a good time to avoid going indoors in a place where you don't have to go indoors. In fact, the Las Vegas, not Las Vegas, the there is a Las Vegas Sun, but there's the there's Sun UK did an article that the it is believed from contact tracing efforts there that the number one place that people are getting COVID in the UK is the supermarket. Exactly what I've been avoiding since April. I realized this in April, it just didn't feel safe. Anyway, it makes sense. Like Colorado, let's take, talk about them. They just uh, had new restrictions. They, they had uh, 57, 65 cases, and uh, their population is uh, 5.7 million. So, yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot more per person than California's getting. Okay, I want to, before we go to the rest of the COVID topic, I want to talk about the limit hold'em hand I played that might leave you scratching your head. And I'm going to walk you through it, just so you can kind of understand the thinking in limit hold'em. Because a lot of people don't understand limit hold'em very well. I, I know Trader Ruski does. I know you've played a good deal of limit hold'em. But some of you don't know it that well. In fact, some people erroneously believe that Limit Hold'em is an easy game. Some people think, well, how hard can it be? You're never put to a decision for all your chips. And uh, you, you basically just uh, just call down and uh, and just hope you catch better cards. And some people think, you know, it's got to be a lot easier because you don't have to decide on your betting sides. You're either just betting, raising, checking, or folding. Now, those parts are true, but there's there's a lot of aspects of the game which are just different from No Limit Hold'em, such as you're seeing the turn in River and going to Showdown far more often in Limit Hold'em than you are in No Limit Hold'em, and you have to go through a completely different decision process as to whether you call down. And there's also a decision process involving value betting that is incredibly different than No Limit Hold'em. In Limit Hold'em, you're not going to win unless you effectively value bet, especially against good players. And you, you win a lot of extra bets from doing good value betting. In No Limit Hold'em, that's less important. In No Limit Hold'em, you're looking to more extract money when you get in your big spots. When, when you have the best hand, you're, you're looking to extract money, and you're also in some cases looking to push people off of hands where they're not willing to put in their money where you think they might be weak. And uh, so those are some skills that will allow you to be a, a very good no-limit hold'em player. But limit hold'em, one of the big things is value betting. So I'm going to run you through a hand that I played recently that may really leave you wondering what I did and why. Now, th- I want to tell you this is heads up online. Online limit hold'em does play differently than live limit hold'em. It's a lot more aggressive. You have to call down more often. And... Uh, there's a lot more swings to it. I was playing $10, $20, which is smaller than I prefer to play, but if there's no bigger game going, I'll sometimes play it. Not for long periods of time. Like I won't sit there for like mega sessions of 10, 20. It's just not worth it to me. But if I want to play and that's all that's going, I'll play 10, 20. So this is a 10, 20 heads up. And I'll tell you the way the hand went. And when I say heads up, I mean the game was actually heads up. This was not a hand that was heads up. It was actually a game that was heads up. Just me and one other guy in the game. Okay? So I am on the button. And I am dealt two cards, which I'll tell you later. But it's it's better for you to listen to the way this all went, for you to under, for you to kind of 
get the full effect of how odd this hand can seem. I raised on the button, as by the way I will do with a very, very wide range of hands in the heads-up limit hold'em. And the other player, who's the big blind, calls. So I raise, he calls. Flop is ace, three, six of cl- with two clubs. Ace of clubs, three of spades, six of clubs. The big blind checks. I bet he calls. Okay, well, that, that could be a lot of things. You, so far, you don't know which cards we're holding. I'll tell you at the end, but uh, let, let's go with this here, okay? So I'm, I will tell you, I'm betting that flop. If, if it's checked to me, I'm betting that flop with any two cards. If I've raised pre and they call and the flop is ace, three, six, two clubs, I'm betting that with any two cards if they check to me. Why? Because there's a very wide range of hands they are going to drop it. A lot of hands miss ace, three, six. So, and there's a lot of hands that are going to be afraid to check raise me anyway because they uh, there's the ace there and they can think I have it. Now, if it's a tricky player who likes to check raise with garbage, I can I can be in the bad situation where they uh, they're check raising me with junk, thinking that maybe I missed it. But uh, anyway, I bet this he called. So my bet doesn't mean much, and he knows that. My the other player, even even someone who I don't think is that great, he's not a huge fish, but he's not that. I didn't think he was that good. He knows me betting doesn't mean that much. Him calling to me also happens to not mean that much because a lot of people, they see a board like Ace-3-6 in Limit Hold'em and they think, okay, if he doesn't have the Ace, then I'm pretty much drawing live with any two cards. So a lot of times people take something off on this board even when they've totally missed it. Now, if they have like 7-9 or something, they'll probably toss it because there's nowhere to go with that. But let's say they have King High, Queen High, they'll sometimes call that and they think if they spike their higher card, there's a good chance their hand's good. Well, the turn is the ace of spades. So now it's ace, three, six, ace, still with two clubs. Now I'm going to ask Trader Risky's input in a second. So the big blind checks. I bet. And the big blind raises. So he check raises me. Ace, three, six, ace. I bet. Big blind raises. Trader Ruski, what are some hands you think the guy would have here? Now that he's he check called the flop and now he's check raising the turn. Ace, three, six, ace. They're on the board with two clubs. I mean, he could have, you know, certainly clubs, four, five, four, five with clubs. But I think he probably has, could have anything because he just tries to put you not on an ace. So, yeah, I think he could have anything. So, so but you, you think it's more likely that, that he has the, the ace there and was slow playing something or and, and realized when the no, second ace I hit? I think he would have three bet on the before the flop. Okay. Yeah, okay. So we're, we'll, 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 when I give you the results here, we'll see how accurate Trader Ruski's read on this is. So I then three bet him. Uh, I have not revealed to you guys what I have left. What, what do you think I have, Trader Ruski, here? <laughs> now you could have any two either. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? But, <laughs> but I would think. So do you think I have the ace or do you think I have junk? No, I don't think you have the ace, but I think you might have a small pair or or two large paint. Okay. So so what's interesting is Trader Ruski is kind of getting the feeling that neither of us have the ace, even though now it's gone to three bets on the turn. Well, you're both full of shit. Now, now hold on. Now, now we get to four bets on the turn. The big blind caps it. You cannot go past four bets in online limit hold'em. So I, I cannot. Wow. And the, so he's capped it now. So now I have to either fold or call. Uh, you, you still believe he doesn't have uh, anything? Ace, three, six, ace. Well, I'm kind of hoping now, but I think you got to call. I mean, if you have, you know, 
one of the two hands I said. Okay, so so I so I, I did call the river, the Queen of Spades. So no no flush is possible. Right, there is a flush. Sorry, there's a flush possible. There's the back door flush possible now, but uh, not the club flush that that uh, someone could have been hoping for. But uh, Ace three six Ace Queen with the last two being a spades and now three spades on the board. Uh, the big blind then bets. Remember, he was the one cap it. So now he's continuing his aggression by betting the river. Would you fold or call here? Uh, the, do you, or, well, you don't know what I'm holding, but do you, do you think that uh, you, you think with him betting at this point, you've got to call down very light, especially with all the money put in the pot, or you think that uh, if you don't have something, you've got, you're fucked and you've got to fold it? I don't know. I mean, I, I would think you'd have to have, you'd have to know you have something that could win. Well, so he so, bets. Uh, so he bets. He did bet. Um, so, no, no, he bets. The, he bets the river, and I ca- I called. So what do we have? Well, I'll tell you what I had first. I had king ten of clubs for king high. So no. so I flopped the flush draw. So obviously I'm betting that he check calls. That's pretty standard. But then he check raises me, and I thought exactly what Trader Ruski thought that he would have three bet pre flop probably with the ace. And even if he was calling with like a trashy ace, like ace four, ace five, or something, or ace seven, if even if he didn't want to three bet that pre-flop, that when the flop came ace three six, he's probably check raising that. So the fact that he didn't three bet pre-flop and the fact that he didn't check raise the flop, and it makes it less likely to me that he has threes, sixes, ace, and I thought maybe he has ace three, ace six, and was just waiting to pop me in the turn. But but I'm thinking that he's probably. Just check raising because he thinks I'm full of crap because there's two aces on the board now. And I, the reason I kept betting the turn was that, uh, uh, I know people will call off with a lot of shit on the, on the flop. So I figured that, uh, I, I have the club outs anyway, and I might still have the best hand with King 10, so I might as well bet it. He check raises me. I think he's full of crap. I three bet him. Then he four bets me, which I'm happy to see. And I'm thinking, please hit that club, unless he's already got a boat, but I'm still very happy to hit the club. And then I don't hit the club, and the backdoor flush hits, and, a queen hits. So if he's doing some kind of queen bullshit, then he's now there too. Now, I, I figured I had to call because I put so much money in already and there's a chance that he was just trying to bluff me or maybe he even had some other hand with clubs or maybe he had four or five of the straight. Maybe he had four or five of clubs, which really made, you know, made him get aggressive. I just can't for one more bet lay it down. There's too many possibilities that the king ten of clubs could be ahead, strangely enough. Well, right, and he could have clubs too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it so aggressive. To That's right. If right, you have the king, you win. That's what I'm saying. That either he could have clubs, he could have four or five, he could have four or five of clubs, he could have a, a five seven of clubs, you know, things like that, where he just decided to pound me because he didn't believe me. So I've I've got to, for one more bet, I've got to call it. So what does he have? Eight two of clubs for eight high. Wow. So I win that pot with king high. So that uh, that was an unusual hand, I will say. I had to actually go four bets on the turn. I, to, I put three bets in with King High. He puts four bets in with worse than King High. He bets the river when neither of us improve. I call, and I win with King High unimproved. Well, right, because in limit, they, you'll see that a lot on the river, too. They can't win, so the only way they're going to win is to bet. Right, and that's what I thought. I, I, think- thought, I thought if he's hammering this with some kind of, like, Low draw that uh, that this is beating all that. So so the king high isn't as bad as this. so someone watching this. See, so uh, Trader Ruski is a limit holding player also, so he understands uh, a lot of this. Some of you this may seem weird because you'd think with uh, um, all this raising back and forth, that with a four bet on the turn from him, that that you're dead. That you, you how how could it possibly be possible after four bets on the turn that king high 
wins. And it's not even like a weird King High where you, the, it's not like in No Limit where you get all the the money and where you both have draws and then you just wait wait for it to play out and turn out King High wins. This is where you're there's betting the whole way and a bet in the call on the river. But uh, this this is the type of thing you see in Limit Hold'em, and you've got to always make these judgment calls. And by the way, in case you think I'm a call down monkey and that I just got lucky here, uh, in other sessions, including one I just played last night, I have folded like Ace Jack with the Ace top pair on the river. Against one opponent. Uh, heads up, I usually won't, but I've had it in, in like six handed games where it comes down to me, one other guy on the river, and I've got ace, I've got a, and I'm not talking about like a, the four flush on the board. I'll have like, I have a pair of aces with a jack kicker, and I'll have a bet, one bet into me on the river, and I'll fold based on the way the whole action went down. And I'll feel good about it, depending upon who the player is and the way the action went. So, you've got to always make these judgment calls and limit hold them. Some very light call downs. And some, like this one, or this one was more than the call, this was a light, a light raise and then a light call down. And then, uh, other times you have to actually make tight folds. And you've got to get a feel for the way everything is playing out. And some of that is by opponent. Some of it is by the situation. And some of it's by kind of just knowing the way people play on certain boards. And this is something you only get with experience from Limit Hold'em. So that's, this is the type of thing which makes it more complicated than it would appear to be. And by the way, I'm not even the type of guy who usually raises that much withdraws, and that's a mistake that a lot of no limit players make. They raise, they will raise or three bet withdraws. This guy really made the mistake four betting out of position with a draw. Uh, but uh, usually, it's a mistake to do that because if if you need to hit to win, then you're just uh, spewing off money. If you're just uh, pounding it with a draw, because you can't push the other person to fold if they've got a hand too. They may not love the situation, but they'll call down and win, as what happened I did here. But uh, he probably thought he could have pushed you off the non-ace, though. Yeah, that's that's what he was thinking, and that's. But I was thinking back; he's trying to push me off the (laughs) non-ace. That's why it failed, and uh, that's like there's this battle going on in your head about what they're they're thinking that I probably don't have it either, since it's got uh, two aces on the board. So uh, the thing is here with the difference with uh, limit and, and no limit hold'em is that uh, you've got to know when to pound the draw. So I three bet him thinking that uh, if he is – here's my thinking with three betting is that I still have king high. And uh, so, yes, it would have been reasonable if he check raised me just to decide I'm just going to call it down on, on any board. Like what, no matter what hits, I'm just going to call it down. And, and hope that he's got a draw that he missed. But um, my three bet was just in case he just didn't have a pair. And if he's completely airballing me, then he's going to fold and he's not going to get lucky on the river and catch something. And uh, and if he... Uh, and I was thinking if I three bet here, then he's probably not four betting me. He's going to believe I must really have the good and back down, even if he's got like a weak ace. So... Uh, and, and the bet on the river is like... If you know the six has check value, so it's almost weaker than a check. I think you know. Yeah, the, the, I was thinking like, what is he capping and and firing into me with here? Right. What's he betting? In, unless in, you know, unless he's got something super strong, in which case, fine. But yeah, I don't think he's just doing this with the six, right? Exactly. So I was especially thinking, when the spades get there with the backdoor flush, you could have potentially called with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, right. So I, I reason that this, this does look weak. That's what I thought too. So I think I call it, this feels weird, but I've got to call this and maybe I'm going to feel like a moron when he presents ace three or ace six. But, uh, you know what? I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have to do it. 
So you're getting like twelve to one at that point. Yeah, I know. I know. I had to. So, uh, and that's a mistake no limit players make too. Is they'll make terrible call downs and it, where, where they're never going to win, thinking, "Oh, it's only one more bet." So sometimes that's the right mentality. Sometimes it's the wrong mentality. You've got to really have a realistic assessment of what your real chances are to win, and it's not always based on your actual hand strength. It's it's your hand strength based upon the way the whole hand plays out and whether it's likely to be good. So these are all things you've got to develop a feel for in Limit Hold'em in order to be a successful Limit Hold'em player, and you also have to adjust to the game itself. So we're online, this type of hand is much more likely to go down. Live, heads up, this isn't as likely. This this situation doesn't happen as much live. Even, like, heads up games don't go, off that, don't go that often live, but when they do, this type of thing happens less than online. And so you got to keep that in mind as well. And it's a lot to think about. And uh, so I'll occasionally post unusual hands on uh, – there's a thread that's called Oh My on uh, the poker community discussion forum on Poker Fraud Alert. And you'll see – I'll post uh, more unusual hands than ones that are uh, require a tough strategy decision. I, I, the last one I posted was this really odd one that was just a massive cooler where – I described this before. The queens against queen jack against fours against fives that ended up with a board uh, queen four five four. <laughs> so every freaking th- queen four and, and five was out there except for a single five in four in, with, with, on the turn. So it was quads, boat, bo- top boat, middle boat, quads, and top pair. I had the top pair. Wow. So that was uh, that was one of the most unusual hands I've ever seen as far as everyone having a piece of it. And this was a game that was only four-handed. <laughs> this wasn't even like four out of ten or four out of nine people got it. This was four out of four people got it. That was a really, really super unusual hand. So I'll post things like that from my play online on uh, Bovada or Ignition. So I just wanted to tell you guys well, about that I hand. Had, I had one hand in draft time. Let me just share real quick. In Hollywood Park years ago, with that guy, you know the guy that used to come with, like, the woman who I think might have been trans? Anyway. I didn't come to Hollywood Park much, so I, I don't know who you're was, talking this about. This guy played around for years. You know who I'm talking about. I'd, anyway. I probably uh, would if I, if I if I saw them. I probably would uh, would remember them. But I was stuck. Long story short, I had ace, ten, and diamonds. I was kind of in the middle of pocket tens and pocket aces. And then the flop comes ace, ten, one diamond. I get running diamonds. And I was just, like, stuck in the middle where I couldn't get out because I had flop top two. And then when I turned the diamond draw. But anyway... Well, it's always nice when those hands come. Yeah, I, I had one. There's this one guy who was running really bad at a table at Commerce one time, and especially against me, just against me, he was get, he was just running awful against everybody, but especially against me, he was getting super unlucky. So finally the dude, I have aces, and he's got uh, ace-queen of spades, and the board comes all spades, and he's thinking to himself, thank God this is going to, you know, I, found, I got this. So we, we put in action. Eventually I realize I'm behind, and what happens there, it, it has running trips. Oh my and god! And he can't believe it. He he suddenly just checks the tur- river. He's like, "Oh my god!" I can't believe it. He, he can't even contain himself. Like he he checks the river. Like oh, basically, already admitting he's lost. <laughs> and I bet, and he calls. I can't believe this. And I, there's some. It was like a was some foreign guy. Who, I cannot believe this. How could this happen after everything else? And he says, "What you have pocket pair?" And I turn. Yeah, you have pocket pair. Of course. And he was so mad. I was like. 
I kind of felt bad for him. But I, I never feel too bad because I think at the times I run super bad and just when that happens to me over and over. So I go, you know, totally. it's I, I can't feel bad for others running bad against me because it happens to me and nobody feels bad for me. So uh, anyway, let's let's move on to the COVID topic. Yeah, this, this has to be a little bit of a poker show. How often do I talk about poker hands on here? Not very much. You guys might be curious about Master Scaler. How is he doing? He has uh, COVID-19. By the way, there's somebody else that I want to tell you guys about who has COVID-19, but I haven't gotten permission from them to say anything about it, so I can't. I want I want to say something, but I'll probably be able to tell you next week. But I'll give you the quick Master Scaler COVID update, then we'll take a little break. Master Scaler, there's good news and bad news about his COVID situation. The good news is that the typical COVID symptoms have lightened. They're not gone, but they've lightened. He has uh, not as bad of a cough. It's not completely gone, but he has a lesser cough. He has lesser fatigue. Again, not gone, but lesser. He notices if he just kind of sits around and isn't active at all, that he doesn't feel fatigued. But the second he gets up and tries to do anything, he gets kind of tired. So the symptoms are not gone. In order to return and give plasma and get the bonus, the, the COVID bonus for plasma, he has to both have a negative COVID test and also a positive antibody test. So I told him when he gets better, we can set that up. But uh, so far, uh, he's not better yet, so he likely test positive at this point. However, he has a new problem, and I, I haven't heard from him in the last two days, so I haven't been able to ask how it's gone since then. But as of two days ago, he had a problem that started on Monday where he woke up with pain on his side, kind of near his ribs. And he said it just hasn't gone away. It, uh, it's not excruciating pain, but it's constant kind of bothersome pain. Not light, kind of like middle-level bothersome pain that is there no matter what. It's not from activity, it's not from moving, it's just there, always. And uh, he has been eating... I tried to Google this. I'd never heard of this symptom before. All the, all the weird symptoms that come with COVID, I had not heard of side pain. And I could not find it. I could not find any evidence that side pain has anything to do with COVID. It is possible this is something else. It is possible that he pulled a muscle when sleeping. It's uh, it's also possible that when coughing, he pulled a muscle. Someone suggested that on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum when I mentioned uh, that this is going on to Master Scaler. And that's actually not a bad theory, that he pulled a muscle coughing. So there's a lot of things this can be. Unfortunately, it's very difficult to diagnose that type of pain. There's a lot of things it can be from extremely minor, like uh, pulling a muscle, to, to something serious. It's, it's very hard to tell, absent of other symptoms. And unfortunately, he, there's not much we can say about it beyond the fact that he has COVID. There's no other symptoms that are coming along with it, other than the ones he already had, which have actually lightened. So... I don't know what to say about this. I told him not to run to the ER or to the doctor about this immediately unless it gets worse. But if it stays the same or gets better, he should give it some time because it's going to really either result in no diagnosis or a wrong diagnosis where they send him down the wrong path with uh, medication that's just going to make things worse. And that, that's always something to consider with medicine. The doctors always like to take a guess at things. Because people always want some action. People hate when the doctor says, hmm, I have no idea what that is. I've never seen this before. This is this could be a lot of things. I I can't rule out so many things. There's no way I can tell what this is. Sorry, can't diagnose it. Goodbye. Like People hate that response. I, I wish I got that response more often because it's uh, it's honest. 
but they like to take their best guess at it and then give you something to treat it, which can be harmful to you. So you've always got to watch out that before you take any medication or do any kind of difficult or painful or invasive test, that there's a good reason for it, that that uh, you're going down the right path. And I'm very careful about that, that uh, I don't go down the medical testing and medic- medication rat hole with trying to chase down something that is undiagnosable. So I told him, just watch this, but if everything else seems relatively normal other than what you're already experiencing, then uh, don't panic about this. There's a lot of things this could be which are nothing, and it'll dis- disappear on its own. So I, I got an update as of Wednesday. It hasn't gotten worse, hasn't gotten better, but uh, I haven't talked to him since. Uh, he he actually uh, tried to call me yesterday, and I couldn't take his call, so he's not lying there dead. I just haven't talked to him. And he has his phone off a lot. That's always what he does, even when he's healthy. So not sure where that's gone, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue. There's a chance it will be, but there's uh, I, I think that's probably not because I just haven't heard of this being associated with COVID. I said it also could be just a weird pain he's getting because he's sick, just like people will get weird pains when they have a cold. I will have it sometimes where I start experiencing back pain, and I don't usually have back pain. Occasionally, I will pull a muscle or something in my back, and I'll have a problem, or I've had occasional back spasms. But for the most part, I actually don't have very much back pain, even for someone who's tall. But I will sometimes start getting back pain, and I'll go, what the hell is this? I just have back pain out of nowhere, and then next day I'll start having cold symptoms. Like, oh, okay. Like, as soon as I get the cold symptoms, I know exactly the back. I know the back pain's false. I know it doesn't. I know it's something that will be gone before the cold's even gone. Because it's just uh, my body starts having weird pains because of the cold. So it's possible that COVID, also being a virus, is bringing on this weird pain when there's actually nothing wrong. So I haven't heard of this, but who knows. We will see where that goes. So I'm going to take a break, and then we're going to talk about the Moderna vaccine that has been announced and the update to the Pfizer vaccine, I think in response to the Moderna announcement. Then we will uh, talk about the uh, consequences of the recent uh, spikes of COVID, and then I'll give you my little editorial about the illusion of security involving COVID and masking. So that's the remainder of our show. Trader Ruski will be able to hold on for a little bit of time. There's a, a small chance I'll have to temporarily shut down the show and then continue later, but I think I'll just have to take a look at something for a few minutes and uh, and I'll be able to come back. I'm fading draft and I got a Sunday early morning tomorrow. Uh-oh. So okay. I'll be listening to the rest. Okay, well, thank you for the time you're here, Trader Ruski, and I will talk to you later. For everybody else, I will be back shortly. Good night, Trader Ruski. Thank you for joining us. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Jeff. Talk to you later. Good night. And remember, Eric Benzamokin, he is there. I had someone uh, ask me this week for his email address again. So write this down. Really write, write down his email address. As I say in the ad, you never know when you'll need it. And uh, someone asked me, about a, a bankruptcy, they said, for a friend of theirs that uh, is having financial issues and, and is in California, and can Eric handle it? I said, yes, Eric does a lot of bankruptcy work. So especially if you're going through bankruptcy, maybe COVID-related, maybe not. Uh, if you know somebody who is, you need an experienced bankruptcy attorney. Uh, Eric, he's done a lot of bankruptcy work. He's told me about it. So, okay, 
here is the ad, and I will be back hopefully shortly. And if I'm not back shortly, I will tell you that I'm going to be taking a little break beyond that. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, we are back. Let's talk about the Moderna vaccine. Remember last week, we talked about the Pfizer vaccine, which was announced and shocked the world when they said that they are going to be 90% effective, at least that's what they see so far in their clinical trials, which was far better than anyone expected out of the vaccine. In fact, even the most pro-vaccine and optimistic people didn't think that a coronavirus vaccine was going to be 90% effective, especially because the flu vaccine tends to be around 50% effective. And they've been at that for a very long time. Here, the coronavirus vaccine, while it's very, very well funded, and while they've been putting massive effort in many countries, many companies around the world are putting massive effort into developing one, more than they've ever done for any vaccine ever. Still, in a relatively short amount of time, these usually take a minimum of like three to four years to develop, often longer, in a, a less than a year, for them to come up with a vaccine that is far more effective than the flu vaccine is something people didn't picture would happen. But uh, Pfizer 
announced that, yes, from what they can see so far, they are seeing a 90% plus reduction in uh, COVID patients in those that took the vaccine versus those who took the placebo. That was very good news. They even said that uh, it was substantially higher than 90 for those that got to the second dose that they took the second week. You take one dose and you wait a week to take a second dose. They claim if you get to the second dose without catching COVID in between, then it's even better than 90% higher. So the first week is about 90%. After the first week, it, it goes up higher. Moderna then announced that their vaccine is even better. They claim that it is a 94%, sorry, 94.5% protection rate. Wow. You thought 90% was good. They're saying that 94.5 is their rate. And Moderna, trying to one-up Pfizer, said that unlike Pfizer, you do not need to store their vaccine at ridiculously low temperatures. That has been considered to be a big limitation of the Pfizer vaccine, where there have to be special freezers that can keep the vaccine at these super low temperatures of like minus 90 degrees in order for it to work. And then there's the fear of uh, it being mishandled or not stored cold enough that people can get vaccines which just don't work as well or don't work at all because they weren't stored properly. So, Moderna is saying, we don't have that problem. You don't have to store this at a super cold temperature like you do for the Pfizer vaccine. So ours is better. And ours is a 94.5% effective where theirs is only 90. So screw Pfizer. So then Pfizer came back saying, well, actually, um, you know, we said our vaccine is 90% effective. Well, it's actually 95% effective. <laughs> And Pfizer said, look, 95 is bigger than 94 and a half. So they, they tried to one-up them back. Who knows what the truth is? But it's very suspicious that suddenly theirs is 95% effective with Moderna's is 94 and a half effective. Now, it is possible that uh, this information just happened to come to light within the last few days. It's also possible that... Uh, their claim that the 90% thing was uh, conservative and that it was based upon the first dose. And they're saying that overall you're, you're more than you know, like 95% once you've taken the second dose. So it's really 95%. So maybe they uh, decided to up the reported percentage because there's Moderna claiming theirs is better. Still, I would say the Moderna one looks like it's the superior vaccine if it doesn't require that uh, crazy storage. Uh, I, I would really think that's the much more practical one to distribute. It's still not clear if this is really going to be the rate when tried away from the clinical trials group. Keep in mind that uh, Pfizer, in their, in their trial that they were talking about with the one they did, they said out of the 170 cases that they observed in the trial, 162 happened in the placebo group and only eight happened in those that got the second dose of the vaccine. And they said of the 10 severe COVID cases, remember there were 170 total COVID positive cases in their uh, study group and only eight had the vaccine. They said that nine out of the uh, 10 
were in the placebo group. So there was only one that was in the serious group. However, that doesn't mean that much because if you look, there were 162 versus 8. So it was actually more than 10 times. There was close to 20 times as many cases in the placebo group than the vaccine group. That part's good. But if one out of 10 severe cases was in the, uh, in the, in the vaccine group, well, that doesn't say much because most of the cases were in the placebo group. So even if it was one out of 20 that was severe in the vaccine group, that's what you'd expect with 162 and 8. So that part, I, I saw a conclusion, oh, that means that it's actually keeping cases from becoming severe. No, that doesn't look like that. It looks like it's just preventing people from uh, getting uh, COVID-19 to the point where uh, they would test positive. Basically, what the vaccine does is it teaches your body to fight COVID. So when you do get COVID, instead of it uh, progressing to become a disease, your body fights it off. And not only don't you feel it, but you never uh, th- that the virus gets uh, fought off to where the, you're never even testing positive for it. It never gets that far. So it's still, you know, it's it's still not a huge group of people. It's not like they tested this on a million people. It's still not a gigantic group. It's like thousands, a few thousand. So while it says something, it's not like testing 20 people. It's, uh, it's still not uh, testing a very wide group. They try to approximate real life in these clinical trials, but a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times there's a lot of stuff they didn't think of. A lot of times uh, randomness occurs. So you never know. There's also the matter of, is it going to harm anybody? And that still remains to be seen. And that's for both vaccines, the Pfizer one and the Moderna vaccine. So uh, we're going to have to see which one is the one more popularly used. I really think the Moderna has the edge right now. If they really have a, a similar rate of being effective. The one that's earlier to, uh, the one that's easier to store is much better. Moderna put out a press release. Of course, this is their release, so take it with a grain of salt. But they said that uh, their COVID vaccine remains stable from 36 to 46 degrees, the standard temperature of a home or medical refrigerator, for 30 days. That was like one of their first things they put in the paragraph about uh, their vaccine. They were then uh, saying that uh, mRNA-1273, which is their vaccine, remains stable at minus 20 degrees Celsius, which is actually only minus 4 degrees Fahrenheit, for up to six months. And at refrigerated conditions, like they described, 36 to 46 for 30 days, and at room temperature for up to 12 hours. They claim you can even leave the thing sitting out in a regular room that's 70 degrees and as long as it's not more than 12 hours has passed, then it's still going to work. And that's far better than the Pfizer one, which has to stay at uh, minus 90 degrees while uh, it's being stored or transported. So that's in their very first paragraph, which I guarantee would not have been in their very first paragraph if Pfizer did not have the competing vaccine. These are both mRNA vaccines. Remember I described those last week and on a previous show when I went over the different vaccine possibilities and techniques. The mRNA technology is a new vaccine technology that has never been used in any vaccine ever. And it basically tricks your body 
into believing it has the disease without actually injecting the disease into your body. And it, it's, it's a series of proteins that get injected to your body that uh, trick your body into thinking the disease is there. And then your body learns to fight it. So then when the actual disease comes in, your body knows to fight it. This is seen as perhaps the future of vaccines. And my skepticism was, yes, it might be the future, but is it the present? There's not a single mRNA vaccine that is currently in use. So do we really want this to be the first one? Do we want the most important one to be the first one? And the answer might be yes, because if that's what works best, then that's what works best. One advantage of mRNA vaccines is that uh, without actually injecting the disease itself into your body that might have lesser side effects, a downside is that there's not a lot known about mRNA vaccines and how the body deals with them and how long protection you really get. It's just immature technology, and there's not a lot known yet. And that's my, my skepticism does go a little bit higher with the mRNA vaccines. There are some uh, rumors going around about these mRNA vaccines, again, which are, are both of these vaccines we're talking about, the Moderna and the Pfizer. There are some rumors going around about them that you should discard and you should not give any uh, mind to and not take them seriously. And regardless of the credentials of those who claim these things, there will be people who come on there claim they're doctors and this and that. Even if they are, ignore it because there's there's crackpots in every profession. But there, there are two claims being made about the mRNA vaccines for COVID that aren't true. First of all, it's being said that there are there's parts of baby fetuses in each of these vaccines. Is that possibly true? And they even say, hey, take a look at the ingredients. It's right in there. So you'd expect you look at the label and it says, you know, this, that, comma, baby fetus. <laughs> like, like, what are you going to see there in the ingredients? Anyway, what they really meant was that if you look at one of the ingredients in the vaccine, that when you Google it, you get, you see that this was originally developed from a 14-week aborted fetus. Presumably, it was uh, a fetus that was used for medical purposes after an abortion occurred that was unrelated to the medical research. So even though this is kind of a, a controversial area of medical research, nevertheless, that's where it came from. That's where... Uh, that's where they uh, they did this research originally from. And uh, that doesn't mean there's parts of aborted fetuses in the vaccine. That means there was a basis originally for the research. So you can forget about that part. There's not parts of a baby fetus in the vaccine. The second thing is the mRNA thing is scaring people because people are saying, well, RNA, well, that's, that kind of has some association with DNA and Aha, that's the government injecting us with something to change our DNA. They're going to change who we are. It's the only way they can change our DNA is by either releasing a disease upon the people or tricking the people into believing there's a disease upon them and then using that as an excuse to mandate a vaccine to inject into them which will change their DNA and allow us to control them. Is it possible that's true? No. Uh, that's not what's going on here. Don't let the mRNA thing scare you. It is a uh, methodology, which is uh, put very simply, that uh, it is using an RNA technique 
to mimic the disease instead of actually being the uh, disease itself. And uh, it's it's very clever. It's very interesting. Where it's it's it was realized that maybe your body can learn to fight diseases without actually having the disease. They're having something that's similar enough to where your body learns to fight it anyway. So why why actually put the real disease in your body if if we can put something that uh, has a lot of similarities to it and your body can't tell the difference and learns to fight it the same way? That, that's all this is. There's nothing dangerous. You don't have to worry about the government changing your DNA. It's not possible for the government to change your DNA. There's there's no such technology that exists today to do that. So it, it's, not, it's not going to exist in your lifetime. By the time, if it's ever learned how to change your DNA, which it may never be learned how to do that, it may be impossible, but if it, if it is learned how to do this, it'll be long after you're dead. You do not have to worry about this. And there's not pieces of baby fetus in your vaccine. I know some people would be fine with it. But okay, fine. Put the damn fetus in if it gets maybe healthy. But even if you'd be very opposed to that, it's not there. If you're opposed to research that sprung from that, okay, well, good luck. You know, like, uh, truthfully, a lot of forms of, of research for uh, medical purposes, you wouldn't enjoy to see what's being done to uh, come to this. They're, they're not uh, torturing human beings. Well, actually, so they sort of are. There are there are clinical trials where people volunteer for not very large amounts of money to, uh, but to get a little bit of money to do these uh, basically be guinea pigs, and sometimes it doesn't work out well for them. That's a risk that these people take. Now it's a knowing risk; they don't do this to people without their permission. But that goes on. Uh, there's testing on animals, where uh, you know, if you're an animal lover, you'd be pretty horrified if you saw some of that going on. Yeah, and then there's the research on uh, on fetuses. On aborted fetuses, and a lot of people are uh, outraged about that, especially pro-life people. They feel that uh, if if someone gets an abortion, then it's, it's adding insult to injury to uh, to actually then use that fetus for medical research, and that all this does is uh, encourage abortions to occur. That uh, not not for the people doing the aborting, but from the uh, standpoint of, of abortion being legal, that uh, this is just uh, fueling the entire industry. If there's a further purpose to the use of the fetus after the abortion occurs, so these are arguments that some make that don't like it. And the bottom line is, this vaccine has come to exist. In fact, these two vaccines have come to exist, and if they're as effective as they are, regardless of how you feel about whatever was done to produce them, if they're there and they will help you and they will help others, then you should take them. If they will not help you, or if they can harm you or if the risk-reward is not there for you, such as if you're 25 years old, I wouldn't recommend running out and grabbing this the second it's available. If you are 75 years old, I would recommend running out and grabbing this as soon as it's available. If you're 45 years old, it's kind of a tough call, but you should monitor it and see as soon as you think it's safe and do it. But this is an important thing, obviously, to get to put an end to this and not only prevent the death, but also return us to normal life. If possible, especially if somehow this could be stamped out through herd immunity from a vaccine, which if it really is 94% effective, that would really be a huge blow to COVID and its ability to spread. These viruses die out when they run out of hosts to jump to. That's basically what they're doing there. They know that the virus can only live in a human for so long before their body fights it off. So if it couldn't jump to other people, the virus would die after one person. So the way the virus stays alive is by infecting others 
and jumping, 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 jumping. And if uh, it runs out of people to jump to, then it dies. And that's what herd immunity really is, where the people who are infected are not around anybody who can get it anymore because they've already had it. And if the virus cannot mutate fast enough to adjust to this, then it dies. And if there's a 94.5% effective vaccine, that could be something that wipes the virus out so fast in where it can't spread to where it won't even have time to mutate. So maybe this could be the end of it, even if it had the potential to mutate and become the next flu. Maybe uh, it's not going to have time to do that if there's enough people taking the vaccine, which is in question, especially. I don't know how they're going to get young people on board for this. I really don't. Uh, believe it or not, as weird as this sounds, if they really are having an issue with compliance, they actually may want to offer – this is going to sound really strange. But if they're really having a problem getting enough people to take this vaccine who are younger, they may have to offer some small amount of money if you come in. You'll get – like let's say you give $100 per person who comes in for it, something like that, to at least motivate people, especially younger people who may not have much money, to go do it, which is weird. You know, they're not going to charge anyone for this vaccine. Everybody can get this for free. But w- imagine if they actually paid people to take it just to encourage young people to do it. They'd have to pay everybody, not just the young people. But I- I'm just throwing this out there because I think they are going to have a problem with people who are in their 20s and 30s that are just not going to want to take it especially at the beginning, but even as time passes, I think there's always going to be an anti-vax contingent out there that's much bigger than other anti-vax movements because this is a new vaccine, because there's a lot of distrust, because there's almost half the population who's in an age group that is not affected very much by this, which is people under 35 and especially people under 30. So you're going to have a lot of people are going to go, you know, this, you rush this through. Who knows what this does to us? I'm not going to take it. You don't have to be like a nut to say that. That's actually the right thing to believe. That's the right approach to take if you're young. It's not the right approach for the country overall. It would be best for the country if everybody just took it. But as an individual, it's correct if you're young not to want to take it. So I think they're going to have a big problem with this. I think a lot of young people are going to go, nope, I'm not on board. (laughs) I am not doing it. I will take my chances with COVID. I think they'll get uh, a decent participation of people my age, but I think only after some time passes. I don't even think a lot of people my age are going to run out and take it. I think the old people will. I think the people with pre-existing conditions will. I think most people my age are going to go, okay, I'd like to, but let me wait a little bit longer. I think that's what, like, so many people I speak to my age say the same thing to me, regardless of their political affiliation or anything like that. There's the few who say I'm not going to at all, but most of them are saying I will take it if I think it's safe and I, I watch for a few months and everybody's fine. So good luck getting everybody to take this at the beginning, except for those who really need it. That's going to be something that we've never seen before. We've never seen it where everybody kind of is expected to take a vaccine. We've seen like the flu shot where it's there, but a lot of people just kind of choose not to, myself included, and it's no big deal. Nobody cares. Like I've never had one person give me a hard time because I did not take the flu vaccine. I took it one time in my life, the flu vaccine. That was in 2010 when my son was born. Other than that, I have not taken it. This I will take when I think it's right to take. I'd like to take it, but I'm also a little worried. It doesn't matter which of the two it is, the Moderna or the Pfizer. 
I do think it's very encouraging, though, that it is so effective. But the problem is, then this is something we're going to see in 2021. I'm calling it now. We are in November 2020. A big problem we're going to see is that people are just not going to take this at a high enough rate to put big dents in COVID levels. And you're going to have people screaming, come on, take the freaking vaccine. It'll bring the COVID numbers down. And young people are going to go, nope. And some people who are middle-aged who want to wait and see or ones who just don't trust it at all say, nope. And you're only going to have the older people and the vulnerable people taking it. It's just not going to be enough to bring down the vaccine, bring down the COVID incidents to where it's safe to go out if you're, if you're not on the vaccine. And then even people on the vaccine are catching it too, you know, like whatever, 10%, 8%, whatever it is. So they're not totally out of the woods either. It's not like it's super rare, like 10%, 8%, that's not nothing. If it was like 0.2%, then yeah, you could say, unless you get pretty unlucky, you're safe. But this is enough to where it's not shocking if that happens to you. I mean, I'm not going to feel like totally safe out there if I, if I know I've taken something that's like 90% effective. It's a lot better than zero, but I'm not going to say, okay, good. Don't got to worry about that anymore. No, I'm going to be constantly worried. Like every time I feel anything, uh-oh, I feel fatigued. Uh-oh, I have a dry cough. Uh-oh, what does that mean? Like <laughs> It's going to be going through my head constantly until this, uh, until COVID's gone completely. And we're going to have a lot of pressure to start mandating the vaccines. I can just see it's going to be a disaster. I mean, good, good luck there, President Biden, dealing with that one. You think the political divide is bad now? Wait till you see during the vaccine release and people's refusal to take it. Um, I think that's going to not even be across political lines either. You're going to have a big contingent of people on both sides, probably more on the right, but a big contingent of people on both sides, especially young people, just going, no. And you can't even blame them. And that's one problem when you have something that's very contagious to all ages, but is not very symptomatic to those who are younger. Not very dangerous to those who are younger, but highly dangerous to those who are older. We've never had anything like this before. I mean, you can you can say the flu, but it's not as contagious as this. And the flu is not very damaging to middle-aged people. That's another huge difference between the two. And that's something that people miss. Like I, I, I explain this to people all the time. When they say, oh, it's like the flu, I go, not only is it more contagious and more deadly than the flu, but the, the danger to middle-aged people is tremendously different. But I, I don't know how this is going to go. If everybody took the vaccine, and then you're going to have countries where people just take the vaccine and don't question it. Like I, I could picture a lot of these Asian countries either just mandating it and just tough luck. If you don't like it, you're taking it anyway, or just the population agreeing. Like I could see South Korea, they just like all take the vaccine with almost no exceptions. Can picture just China forces it on everybody. The U.S. is different. The U.S. there's a lot of distrust of government. There's a lot of people who want to go their own way, do their own thing. Everybody wants to be an individual. A lot of people don't want to act for the good of the country. A lot of people feel, well, I would act for the good of the country if everybody else is, but everybody else isn't, so I won't, which is reasonable. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they're ever going to get enough buy-in with this to kill this fast may be kind of a slow process because if people don't vaccinate, then yeah, we're, the, the path to herd immunity is a lot slower and you may have enough time for mutations to start occurring. Then what do you do? Then Okay, then it mutates. and Everybody got to take the vaccine for the mutated one and then you still don't have the people taking the vaccine who wouldn't take it in the first place. What do you do then? Like we've got a lot of possible problems here coming down the pike that 
we don't know what to do about when they occur because this is all new. So if you think the vaccine is just going to come out and everybody's going to get in line and take it and we'll all be better, good luck. I don't think it's going to be what occurs because we have 330 million individuals, almost half of whom know that it's almost impossible for them to die. You have about 150 million people, 34 and under, who are going to look at the stats and say, yeah, I'll take my shot with just not getting it, and if I do, no big deal. I don't want a vaccine. Then there's the thing with kids. I know kids can't make their own decisions, but I bet a lot of parents are not going to give it to their kids. They'll say, kids are not affected by this very much, so uh, if almost all kids are asymptomatic or have very mild symptoms, why bother? That's a good point. That's a good point. What are they going to do in the schools? Are they going to require kids to get this vaccine? Or are they not going to require it? They've required other vaccines, but these are vaccines that are very well researched. But are they going to require this to return to school? That's a very good question, too. Now, we might see some pressure, believe it or not, through the business world. Because a lot of businesses might decide to only serve customers who have proof of a COVID vaccine, either COVID vaccine or a positive antibody test that would allow them to enter the business. It may be even casinos will take this approach just to make everyone feel better that the only people in there are ones who are either vaccinated or already had it. And if people start finding themselves shut out, they're going to complain about it a lot. But if they start finding them shut out from everything they want to go and do, eventually they'll probably break down and take the vaccine. That might be one of the big factors that could cause people to take the vaccine. But just by itself, voluntary participation, I don't think it's going to be very high in the early stages and even in the middle stages of the vaccine. I think that the participation is not going to be as high as they're hoping, especially for the younger half of the country. It's going to be a very interesting year coming up in 2021. You think 2020 was crazy. 2021 is going to be the weird sequel to the whole thing that is going to have its own twists and turns. A lot of people believe when the calendar flips over to January 1st, they're, okay, 2020 is gone. It's going to be a great new year. It doesn't work that way. An arbitrary change of the calendar does not mean that the situation is going to get better. Had COVID started six months earlier, then uh, 2020 wouldn't be seen this way. 2020 would be seen as just a continuation of it. We'd see this COVID as a, a continuation from 2019. In the U.S., we did not experience it until the beginning of 2020, so really the whole year is associated with COVID-19. It's actually called COVID-19 because it began in 2019 in China, but it really didn't have an effect here until 2020. All right, now let's move on to a different topic. I want to talk about the spikes that we're seeing around the country and the effects of them. I've already read you some of the numbers, but let's talk about uh, what's been happening as a result I already told you about the, casino, the casinos that have been closing, but what about the other restrictions? For example, New York is going to be closing their schools, New York City, that is. Bill de Blasio announced that they're going to be closing the schools there. A lot of other places are, are closing the schools. The schools around me just reopened to in-person uh, classrooms, though you have a choice, and I actually chose to keep my son home and to continue on Zoom as he was before. But they may close that back down. We will see. Also, we just got a notice that some kid was diagnosed with COVID in the school. 
may not be from the school, may be from elsewhere, but nevertheless, a kid was diagnosed with COVID who returned to the school. <laughs> so that, I think with more of that happening, people are going to start pulling their kids back out and putting them back in the Zoom class, which my kid has been in the whole time. They just returned last week. So there's a lot of shutdowns again. There's a lot of talk of shutdowns. There's a lot of new restrictions. Some of the restrictions make no sense, such as the weird 10 p.m. curfews in California. Like, why have that? Why close things down at 10? The virus doesn't decide to infect people more after 10. It's, it's infecting people the same day or night. Uh, some people may believe, okay, well, there's certain behaviors that take place after 10 that are more likely to occur, and then you'll get COVID from those behaviors, such as people who get drunk and don't care about social distancing anymore. But all that does is shift everything. If people know that the bar closes at 10, they're going to get to the bar earlier and drink more earlier, and then they'll be acting the same way at 9.30 that they were at, it would be at, uh, at 12.30. So it doesn't really matter. I, I think it's stupid. This is really one of these things where you either say it's okay or it's not okay. And I, I think that a lot of these weird modifications are just feel-good measures that don't really do much. I think that's one of them. The Thanksgiving thing is stupid. There's been all these mandates about uh, who you can have over for Thanksgiving, blah, blah, blah. It's so stupid. Uh, California has a really nonsensical one. Oh, you can't have more than three households over. It has to be outdoors. Yeah, good luck with that in in, uh, late November where it may be cool. Uh, it has to uh, be no more than two hours. Like it, all these stupid things. And a lot of different states have different Thanksgiving restrictions. See, this, this is where you say to the people, okay, COVID spreads indoors a lot. If you have people over who don't live in your household, then keep that in mind. You may want to have it outdoors to keep yourself safer. And you may want to prevent people from coming over who are in uh, multiple different households. That just increases your risk. So be aware of all this. We recommend against it. We recommend that uh, you be very careful here as, as the numbers are going up. And use your best judgment. That's what they should put out. They shouldn't put out these mandates. Because all that happens is people want to defy them. All that happens is people just laugh at them and go, this is the government just being way over-controlling. And then you know what happens is all this hypocrisy starts coming out, and that makes people even angrier and even less willing to cooperate. So Gavin Newsom in California, after pushing this whole thing about Thanksgiving in California and all these different guidelines and mandates, uh, he was caught on camera at a dinner with lobbyists in a famous San Francisco area restaurant called the French Laundry. And this dinner had far more than three different households, a ton, a lot of people in a big, at a big table, presumably who don't live together. Nobody wearing masks. It was indoors. Like everything they say not to do, they were doing. So somehow Gavin Newsom can meet with lobbyists and uh, indoors from like 12 different households. And that's totally fine. Nobody wears masks. Like that's all cool. But you, the ordinary person, cannot have Thanksgiving dinner. You can't, you can't have Thanksgiving dinner unless you uh, adhere to all these ridiculous guidelines and mandates. I mean, it, see, the problem is these politicians will make standards that they will not adhere to themselves. And then when they're caught not adhering to it themselves, then they look stupid. And then they look hypocritical and people get mad and say, forget it. So that's the problem when you set an impossibly high standard. It's kind of like setting a standard for your child that uh, all you're going to accept from them on the report card is all A's or all A's and one B. Anything worse than that, and they're in big trouble. 
Well, what's going to happen is if they can't, if they don't think they can realistically achieve that, then they're just going to stop trying. They're they're, they're going to realize that if they can't achieve it, then getting a, you know a bunch of C's and D's is pretty much the same as getting half A's, half B's. You're going to be just as pissed off. So f it. Like the so the problem is you get you don't get cooperation when you're setting a standard so high that no one's going to be able to reach it. People lose motivation and pe- and sometimes they get resentful. And they get especially resentful if uh, they see that those making the rules are not following it themselves. And we've had so many different examples also that are being pointed to all over in, in, in uh, mainly right-wing media, which which is fine. It's, they're, being, they're pointing out truthful examples. Uh, the Gaz- Gavin Newsom thing, that Gretchen Whitmer thing I talked about earlier with, with her husband trying to jump the line to be able to get on the lake in Memorial Day, the... Uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot's party, the street party she had wearing no mask when Biden won. Uh, Bill, Blasio, Bill, Bill de Blasio did something similar in New York City where uh, he was wearing a mask, but he was there at a street party with people all standing close together, uh, spray painting uh, some mural together. And then at the same time, he's saying that people can't have Thanksgiving dinner. Like, you see these politicians doing this crap. Nancy Pelosi going for her haircut when it was closed everywhere else, and uh, she got especially open for her. Like there, there was so much stuff that has happened where these politicians who close things look or advocate closing things look really hypocritical because the truth is they don't want to live this way either. So they say, hey, I'm important. I'm special. I have privilege. I can get exceptions made because I'm very influential or I'm very rich and I can get these things done. So, yeah, I'm going to make the rules for everybody else. But these rules kind of rules kind of suck. So I'm just not going to follow them. That's for everybody else, not me. And once you do that and, you, and you're uh, any kind of high-profile leader, and you're seen doing that, and you're seen not adhering to the standards which you set for everybody else, nobody wants to listen to you at all anymore. And then everybody acts irresponsibly. And this is why there have to be common sense mandates, and you have to trust adults to do the right thing and realize that some won't, but you're going to get more cooperation if you are honest with people, tell them what the real danger is, tell them what it isn't, tell them what is best for them, and then say, I trust you to do the right thing. Please do this. Please uh, act responsibly. And you, you have to know with a large population, a large diverse population, you're going to get that certain percentage of people that no matter what you say are going to violate the guidelines. And that's the other problem. You're never going to get full compliance in a country like the U.S. In a place like South Korea, where people are raised to have reverence for authority and the government and uh, believe that uh, – Basically, you are just an extension of your country. That uh, It's almost like a hive mind sort of thing. There, it's a lot easier to get compliance. In a place like the U.S., where there's such an emphasis on the individual, and there always has been, you're, you're always going to have a certain percentage of people that are just not going to do it. They're not going to listen to you, no matter what the mandates are, no matter what the laws are. So if you set ridiculous things, the people who are going to violate it are going to still violate it. And people who otherwise would like to cooperate... They won't either because they think you're being ridiculous. So all you're doing is making people not cooperate at all. So, for example, let's take the Thanksgiving thing. If you're just level with everybody about what the safest thing to do is and what they should try to do, then you'll have people that think about it and say, yeah, let's, let me try to minimize everyone's risk this Thanksgiving. Maybe we'll invite fewer people over. Maybe we'll eat outdoors if the weather's nice. Maybe we won't have everyone here as long. Maybe we'll try to bring down risk for everybody. But 
if you put all these dumb mandates, oh, you can't be there more than two hours, you can't have more than three households there, you you can't have more than this number of people in your house at once, and people are going to go, you know what? This no, I'm not keeping my dinner to two hours. You're not you're not putting all these heavy restrictions on me. F you. I'm just going to do what I want. Forget it. I'm just, since any reasonable dinner would be indoors for more than two hours, and since that already is violating it, you know what? I'm I'm just going to do what I want. I'll, I'll violate it all the way now. And that's what happens. So that's, that's where some mistakes are with these restrictions. And that comes also as far as closures are concerned. You've got to look at uh, not just, hey, let's close as much as we can to keep everyone safe. You have to look at uh, what can we – what makes sense to close at this point and what doesn't? And not just jump to close everything before you think about it. I will say in favor of closures that with the vaccines coming soon, at least there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And if the rationale is, well, we're closing things because the vaccine's coming soon and it's going to make things a lot better, okay. But just know you're not going to get cooperation of the vaccine like you think you will. So the light at the end of the tunnel is not as bright as you think. Before I finish this segment, I want to talk about the hoarding because it's annoying. It's annoying in two ways. The hoarding itself is annoying that we already went over this. We already did this. Okay, so in the spring, people started to hoard because they were panicking because all this COVID was going on, and people were like, I better get supplies. You never know what's going to happen now. The world is an uncertain place. It's uh, we, We've got turned on our ear. We don't, we don't know what the hell is happening here, so we better have supplies just in case. And that's what, Everybody started thinking that, and then you start seeing others grabbing supplies, and you really want supplies. It becomes a, a vicious cycle where – when you see something becoming scarce, then you really want to hoard it. Where before you may not have thought of hoarding it. In fact, you probably didn't. You think of hoarding it because you see others hoarding it. You're afraid that you won't have availability. You won't be able to get it anymore if you don't hoard it. So we went through that. And then as time passed, people realized, okay, this was kind of stupid. And everybody at once kind of slowly eased the hoarding. So it went from you couldn't get toilet paper or paper towels and a bunch of other stuff to you can get it, but it's very difficult and you can only get one of them to it's, you can get it, but it's not quite as difficult. You just got to put some effort into it to, okay, it's a, it's harder than it used to be, but you can get it to, oh, it's a, totally normal. You can get it again. And we, we were back there. We were back to where there, there weren't the bare shelves anymore. I remember in March and April, shelves were bare of so many things. You wanted to get beans, very hard. You wanted to get toilet paper, forget it. You wanted to get paper towels, forget it. So many things were difficult to get. A lot of basic things. Frozen food, boy, was that hard to come by. You go to the frozen food aisle, just bare shelves. Totally bare. Everyone stocked up on frozen food because it keeps for a long time. The only things that you could get easily were quick perishables, things that didn't last long. Because people knew they couldn't store them. So if it was uh, a lot of things like milk, like fruit, vegetables, something, you could still get that stuff because uh, people didn't bother to hoard it. They knew it would go bad so fast. Anything that you felt you could hoard and store, people were uh, grabbing up big time. It was frustrating. But eventually that eased, and I think, okay, I'm glad that's passed. I always had in the back of my mind, like, I wonder if this is ever going to start again. Maybe I better keep a large amount of supplies. But even I let up. At first, I was hoarding in response to the hoarding. 
I was not hoarding at first, but then when I started seeing it happening, I was like, okay, if I don't get this stuff now, then I'm not going to be able to get it. So I've got to have more toilet paper than usual. Otherwise, if I have toilet paper as I use it, I can't just go out to the store and get more. There won't be any, and I'll have no toilet paper. So I've got to have enough to where I don't have to worry about buying it again anytime soon. Same with paper towels. Same with even things like beans. Like I've got, I've got to stock up on the things that are going to be hard to get. Hoarding creates hoarding in these cases. You don't want to have to do it, but if you don't do it, you're going to be the one screwed. And you can't just say, well, I won't do it because I'm not going to contribute to the problem. Yeah, well, good luck with that. No one's going to say, oh, okay, well, look, Todd Wattellis isn't hoarding. We're not going to hoard anymore. No, they're, they're not going to even crap what I do. I still won't be able to get it at the store. <laughs> if, I, if I run out of toilet paper and go there, hey, you got toilet paper? No. Okay, well, what do I wipe my ass with? Um, try a leaf. Like That's what they're going to tell me. So you have to hoard in response to hoarding. And that's the other thing that bothers me is people who bash the hoarding saying, you're so stupid to do that. How can you, you're contributing to the problem. How can you do that? You have to do it if you give a shit about yourself. Because as I said, these are nor, these are not normal times. And if you will not have, you will not run into availability of that item, then you're going to run out and you won't be able to get it again. So yes, you have to stock up if it won't be available when you run out. And if you don't, then you may think, oh, I'm helping the problem. Well, you're barely helping the problem. You're putting a tiny, 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 meaningless dent into the problem and yet costing yourself immense hassle. So it's not worth it. So yes, you do have to hoard in response to hoarding. And you can't feel guilty about that because unfortunately it's something where you don't have an influence over it. And if you don't do it, you're you're at a tremendous disadvantage. And the upside for the world of you not hoarding is zero unless everyone else follows your example, which they won't, nor will they even see you're doing it. So you might as well. So I hate people who shame the hoarders. You can say it's stupid that is going on, but you can't shame those who do it in response to it happening because that, that's what you have to do, or otherwise you're going to be left out in the cold. So it is happening again, and that's really frustrating, though, because you'd think people learned from last time that it was unnecessary. It's less, much less excusable this time than last time. The fact that it started again. Because, yeah, the numbers are going up again. So you say, you know what? No point to hoard because last time the numbers went up and, yeah, still all, all this stuff continued. There were still paper towels out there. There were still uh, there's still toilet paper out there. The problem is this just reminded people of the spring. It reminded people of when COVID numbers were high and everyone felt they had to hoard. So as soon as you start hearing that these things start becoming scarce, you go, oh no, it's that again. The COVID numbers are high. Okay, I got a hoard now too. And everyone thinks that at the same time and now we've got a problem again. So good luck getting uh, toilet paper or paper towels right now. And if you can, I would get them. And I would get them in large enough quantities to where you don't feel you'll need them for a while. I had a frustrating thing happen at Target involving paper towels. I had a lot of toilet paper. Fortunately, I didn't let up on that. I in fact, I happened to order toilet paper that to be delivered like a day before I heard about the hoarding. I wasn't even doing it as the hoarding. I actually did it before I heard hoarding was happening. And it, it actually, I guess it wasn't happening because I was able to order it. So that was good luck. But paper towels, I actually have been making sure we don't run that low because I was thinking maybe this is going to happen again someday. But somehow the paper towel slipped by me and it... We were at our like low point in paper towels, and I didn't notice it until I noticed the hoarding was happening. And then, like, oh shit! Now I don't have. I, I'm almost out of paper towels, and I can't get it. So I was at Target doing a, a curbside pickup, 
And I asked them, since you cannot do curbside pickup of, to- of paper towels or toilet paper now, I asked, is there any way you can just go in there and get it? You can charge me. I'm not asking for free, but can you go in and get it for me? And the guy says, yes. I go, oh, sweet. So I have a gift card coming to me, and I figured, okay, he's going to bring the gift card, and then he will bring the paper towels that I've been asking for. Instead, he only shows up with the gift card and no paper towels in hand. So I said, well, what happened to the paper towels? I said, I thought you were bringing it. He says, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. I'm the only one at the guest services desk now. They wouldn't allow me to leave and go search for it. I'm sorry. I said, I really don't want to go in there. But okay, is there a lot there? Oh, yeah. Is there like big packages? I don't want to go in and like get a package of two toilet paper rolls, two paper towel rolls. It's not going to help me. Like, do you have a lot of paper towels? And he said, uh, yes. And he said, yeah, there's a lot. I said, so there's big packages. Yes. Is there a variety? He says, yeah, there's a whole lot of it in there. Like, I, I don't know how much is in there right at this moment, but I just saw it pretty recently and there's a lot in there. And I said, okay. All right, fine. I'll go in and get it. I'll, I'll this one time. I, I haven't been inside a supermarket since April, but I'm, I'm going to do it. So he left. I went in and how many paper towels do you think I saw on the shelves? Zero point zero. For that matter, how much toilet paper do you think I saw on the shelves? Zero point zero. They were totally bare. I mean, everything. There's no way the guy could have gotten confused. I don't know what the hell he was telling me. The entire area that had both the toilet paper and the paper towels were completely bare shelves. So I don't know what he thought he saw. I don't think the guy was screwing with me. I think he just, maybe he saw it 10 hours ago and didn't realize it had been that long. I don't know what the hell happened. But not only was there nothing there, it was clear that nothing had been there for a long time and that the shelves were totally bare. There's no way he could have even gotten confused. So I walked all the way in there for nothing. And I'm not not talking about the inconvenience of my walking. I'm talking about that I walked into a COVID uh, danger place after all these months of being so careful. So hopefully that didn't get me. Now, I will say this is just one visit. So it is a numbers game. I realize that just one short visit into Target doesn't mean I'm going to catch COVID. And it was 10 p.m. on a Wednesday. So, I mean, let's be honest here. That was not a heavy traffic time. There were not many customers in there. Pretty much me, the employees, and a few customers. But, you know, it, I was still in there. It does have a system that does heating air conditioning. It's always on. And I had to go pretty deep in there to get to where the paper towels were supposed to be. And I had to interact with employees when I'm asking them, like, is it here? Am I missing it somewhere? Is it being held somewhere else? And they check for me. I'm still waiting while they're checking. And anyway, the, the conclusion was, no, we have none. You were told the wrong thing. So I, I came in there for nothing, which is very annoying. So if I get COVID from this, I'm going to hate Target forever. It has been uh, two days. I haven't felt anything, but two days, most people don't feel anything. So I will not know until about a week passes. Most people feel COVID symptoms within five days. Almost everybody feels them within a week. So why do they say 14-day quarantine? Because a small percentage of people will first feel symptoms between seven and 14 days, but it's a very small percentage. So the rule of thumb is if you think you got exposed and a week passes and you're feeling nothing, either you're asymptomatic or you don't have it. More likely you don't have it. You don't have to wait two weeks. Uh, one week is usually sufficient as as far as knowing whether you had it or not. Like a very high percentage are feeling it within seven days, and truthfully, most within five days. Two days, no. 
two days, there are some people just start to feel it, but usually it's three days, four days, five days. That's the that's the most common time frame is three to five days. And I, I mean full days, like uh, 72 hours, 96 hours, 120 hours. All right, I want to finish off with an editorial. The editorial is COVID-related, and it is about the illusion of security. And it's not discussed very often. You would think it would be discussed more by those who are anti-maskers, which I am not. I want you to know that I am not an anti-masker. You need to know this because you may get the wrong impression. Listening to the editorial is going to come up. You may listen and go, oh, my God, Druff is one of those people saying not to wear masks. I thought he was smarter than that. I can't believe he's gone over to that side. No, I'm not. I'm going to tell you right now that I'm not an anti-masker, and I think you should wear your mask when you go out, if not for yourself, at least for others. It does protect others. I believe that. It seems very likely to protect others, and it's not a nice thing to do to go out without a mask unless you're not going to encounter anybody to where you could give them COVID. Like, I'm not saying wear it on a hike outdoors. I'm saying that you should wear a mask if you go anywhere, especially indoors, out of your house. So, with that said, the illusion of security can be very harmful. The illusion of security can be much more harmful than no security. And you may say, how is that possible? And what is the illusion of security? You probably have an idea of what I mean, but let me define it more. The illusion of security is the belief that you are secure from something when in reality you are not. It is the appearance that something is protecting you when it is not. I'll give you a good example of illusion of security that has nothing to do with viruses. After the October 1st, 2017 shootings by Stephen Paddock in Las Vegas from a hotel window where he brought a lot of high-powered weapons up to his room and broke the window and shot at uh, concert goers below, they started to introduce these new rules as far as uh, checks as far as your room of what's in there, where you could not just hang the Do Not Disturb sign on your door for five days and not let them in as Stephen Paddock did when he brought his cache of weapons up there over a period of five days. And the theory was, if someone tries this exact same thing next time, we'll catch it, because we're not going to let someone keep everyone out of the room for five days. So now they do these room checks where if they do not come in your room within 48 hours, if you don't have an employee that comes in within 48 hours, that they will force their way in. And it's very inconvenient, and it's kind of a violation of your privacy, too. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm not, I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm saying it's crappy, and I hate it. Well, it's also the illusion of security, because Stephen Paddock didn't have to bring his weapons up over a five-day period. That's what he did, because it was easiest, but if required to, he could have brought his weapons up in a two-day period just as easily, because there are no suitcase checks. There are no metal detectors. Uh, basically, you, you could keep bringing up bags of stuff at different times of the day and no one's going to see you or question anything as long as you don't keep doing it over and over and over in a half an hour period since you have 48 hours to accomplish it you could easily do it with different shifts of security guards and nobody will know the difference you could easily do it so it's the illusion of security anybody who wants to commit the identical crime to what Stephen Pack did could do it again without any trouble they just would take two days to get the guns up there instead of five 
So you may say as they're checking your room, oh, I'm glad they're doing this now. Yeah, it kind of sucks that they're forcing their way in my room. It's kind of sucks they're banging at my door at 9 a.m. because I've, I haven't let it, the maid in, and now it's been two days. But I'm glad to let them in so this won't happen again. Yeah, good luck with that. It's accomplishing nothing. It's just to make it look like that they're trying to prevent it again, both for liability purposes and for the illusion that you're secure, the illusion of security. So the illusion of security takes many forms. It's not new. It's been around for longer than you've been alive. Kind of performative measures to make it look like something secure, when in reality, you're no safer. Unfortunately, we have an illusion of security with COVID, and that is the mask. Again, I'm not saying that a mask is ineffective. I'm not saying a mask shouldn't be worn. I'm saying the problem is that a lot of people have come to believe that the mask is the difference between getting COVID and not getting COVID. So if you are out wearing a mask, then you are responsible and you are protected. If you're out not wearing a mask, you're an irresponsible jerk and you're probably going to get COVID. So if you behave well and responsibly by wearing a mask, you're going to be safe. If you behave irresponsibly and one of these jerks who is an anti-masker, then you're going to be unsafe and you will get COVID and maybe die. The bad people are going to die. The good people, the good responsible people are going to be safe. And unfortunately, that fantasy has been bought into by a lot of people. Why? Because the media has been pushing it very hard. Why has the media been pushing it hard? Because Donald Trump was not very supportive of masking. He didn't say don't mask, but he didn't say mask very often. He would say it when pressured to, but he didn't put a lot of conviction in it. And he would sometimes mock people for wearing masks in a performative way. Even when he was right, sometimes people would be wearing a mask to show off they're wearing a mask. But uh, he he also uh, was criticizing masking. Uh, he shouldn't be doing it at all is the truth. And uh, truthfully, if you want to look at Donald Trump honestly, he hasn't been very supported of masking, and there have been some people who probably have not worn masks that otherwise might have had Donald Trump emphasized that everyone should wear a mask. So that is a fair criticism of him. Unfortunately, the media, who has hated Donald Trump the whole way and has tried to make him look bad the entire way, they have operated on the principle that whatever Donald Trump does, they have to completely oppose and make like the worst thing ever, and whatever he doesn't like, they have to love. Whatever it is he criticizes, they have to be for it. If he's against it, they're for it. So since he is perceived to be anti-mask, the media and the left has to be wildly pro-mask. And you may say, well, what's wrong with that? Wildly pro-mask, pushing masking very, very aggressively, isn't that good? Doesn't that push more people to wear masks? Isn't that better? Well, no, if people don't understand why they're wearing the masks and what it accomplishes. So... Because there has been such a strong masking message, because there have been people saying we've had 250,000 deaths in the U.S. from COVID because Donald Trump is not leading by example, because Donald Trump is mocking people wearing masks, that people aren't wearing it and they're dying, the message, the implied message, the strongly implied message is people are dying because of no masking. If you just mask, then it's better. We've had the media saying that Andrew Cuomo did a great job because he turned around the New York COVID problem, which was so awful in the spring, because he got everyone to mask. The message has been in the U.S. media that if you mask, 
you're responsible, and you're probably not going to get COVID. If you don't mask, then you will get COVID and you're responsible. The key to solving COVID is getting widespread adoption of masking. And that causes people to believe that if you wear a mask, you're not going to get COVID. And then that causes people to take risks that they otherwise would not take because they think they're safe when they're really not. Let me give you an example that's kind of similar to it. This didn't ever really happen, but uh, let's say people started believing that a bulletproof vest prevented all violent crime from affecting them. And let's say a trend started where people started walking into really, really high crime neighborhoods and not caring if they're wearing an expensive watch or flashing a lot of cash. They, They didn't care because they go, I've got a bulletproof vest on. So if someone shoots me, it'll just hit the vest and I'll be fine. So I don't have to worry about violent crime. I'll go anywhere. I'll flash all the cash I want. I'll wear a super expensive watch. I'll wear all kinds of jewelry. F them. I'll do what I want now because I've got a bulletproof vest on. Well, is it a fact that a bulletproof vest will protect you if you're shot in the chest? Yes, it will. But is it true that wearing a bulletproof vest will protect you from all violent crime? No. You could get shot in the head. You could get... uh uh, your throat slit. There's a lot of th- you could you, you get punched out. There's a lot of things that could happen to you that would uh, cause you harm or death that the bulletproof vest would not protect you from. So it would still not be wise to take a bulletproof vest to a high crime area and engage in irresponsible behavior that would be, uh, I wouldn't say likely, but make a, a, a reasonable chance of you being harmed or killed. So that would create a situation, if we had such a trend, that would create a situation where people wearing a bulletproof vest out into bad areas would actually be more dangerous than if this trend never started and everyone just avoided going into these areas in the first place. So if you're not going to go to a high-crime neighborhood at 2 a.m. because you're afraid you're going to get mugged, but once you have the bulletproof vest, you do go there because you think you're safe – Now the Bulletproof Vest has actually made you less safe, even though it does protect you from being shot. Isn't that interesting? So that's what's happening with the mask, I think. I think that even though masks do, at the very least, prevent people from transmitting it somewhat, and it may or may not give you some kind of protection wearing it, there's uh, contradicting studies on this. There's one from uh, the Netherlands which says no. There's been some studies in the U.S. that say yes. Who knows? But uh, whatever the case is, let's even assume it does give you some protection. The problem is if it encourages you to feel like now you're secure, now you can do things which otherwise you would have been afraid to do with no mask, even if it's subconscious, then now it has created a greater COVID danger. And it will create a greater COVID problem. It's a weird phenomenon that something which actually can protect people from COVID transmission or can stop people from transmitting it somewhat could actually be bad to have widespread adoption if there is a false sense of security from wearing it. If it replaces simple avoidance of going into COVID dangerous situations, then it's a bad thing. And this is not discussed very often. You, you usually have, in, in the masking debate, you have the smug, arrogant, follow-the-science types who tell you, look, the science proves masks work, why are you not wearing them, versus the 
anti-master conspiracy theory. Uh, it's my right not to. You're not infringing upon my rights. Uh, the whole thing's a hoax crowd. And uh, honestly, both sides of that are pretty insufferable. And what you don't have, even from the anti-masker crowd, are the people saying, wait a minute, what if this is actually causing more people to take risks they should not? And by the way, we have real-life applications of this. Anecdotal, but nevertheless real-life. Master Scaler has COVID because of the illusion of security. He believed that wearing a mask protected him more than it actually did, as did his friend Ryan, who caught COVID from him. They both were surprised that they got COVID because they were wearing masks. Why? Because they're hearing everywhere that wearing a mask equals responsible, wearing a mask equals not getting COVID. Now, the media never directly says if you wear a mask, you're 100% uh, protected from COVID. They don't say that, but it's implied. With all the strong pro-mask, you have to wear a mask, this is why we have a problem, people aren't masking. With all of that, there's never anyone in the media who stops and says, okay, guys, let me just be honest with you. The mask may help you a little bit, not getting it yourself, probably not that much. It will definitely help people not getting it from you if you have it and don't realize it. But you're still very much in danger. So don't use the mask as a security blanket. Don't believe that the mask is a license to go out and behave irresponsibly. The mask is something which is may help you a very little bit and will help others some if you have it, but there's a good chance you'll get it anyway if you're in a situation that's dangerous. So think more about social distancing. Think more about staying out of situations which are dangerous for COVID and think less about masking. Think of masking as something you do on top of that to make everyone safer. The media doesn't say that. You know why? Because they're afraid that's not a powerful message. They're afraid that if they complicate it by saying, well, it actually doesn't help you all that much, or maybe not at all, and it's going to help other people, though, and there's a good chance you'll get it anyway if you go out, and it's it's you know it's not going to do that much for you, but wear it anyway. Like, if, if they tell the truth about that, then everyone's going to go, no, you know, th- th- screw it then. It's not helping me that much. I, I don't feel like bothering. I, I feel like I don't have it, so I'm not going to wear it. Like that, they're they're afraid that's going to be the people's response. So instead, and and because Trump is not very pro mask, so it's even more convenient to be very uh, pro mask to oppose Trump and make him look terrible. So between these two things, they want to get cooperation, they want it, they want to sound responsible, and they want Trump to look bad. So all this equals pro mask, and they think, hey, okay, we're not being totally honest about this, but it's doing a good thing. It's accomplishing a good thing because it's it's pressuring people into doing what they need to do. If we get everyone to mask, then great. We've, we've just uh, improved the situation. Well, no, because if people are taking risks that they otherwise would not have taken, then it's a bad thing. So more mask adoption does not mean less COVID. And we also have proof of this on a wider scale, much wider scale. The country of Norway is a very interesting study. The country of Norway basically didn't wear masks until late August, and even after late August didn't wear masks all that much. But through late August, and this is according to the New York Times, through late August, Norway masked up 4% of the time. 4% of the people in Norway wore masks in Norway through late August. And yet, they have had a very low death rate. 56 deaths per million population. Very, very low. Less than 10% of what the U.S. has had per million. 300 deaths total out of a population in Norway of uh, 5.4 million. 306 deaths total and only 332,000 cases total. The U.S. with a population 
which which is of course way way higher. The population of the U.S. is three hundred thirty million, but the but still uh, per person, it's far more cases, far more deaths. As the the deaths they have uh, by more than a factor of ten in the U.S. per per person. But Norway didn't wear masks through late April uh, through late August. And uh, even after that, they're not wearing masks that much. So how has that happened if masking is a solution? How can we explain this? Well, there may be some factors at work we don't understand. But one possible explanation, one very possible explanation, is that they were simply told in Norway, stay away from each other, social distance, watch out, be responsible. And if a lot of people in Norway took heed, if a lot of them respected that, and if a lot of them, if they didn't have the false sense of security of the mask, then people are like, whoa, well, we were told if we don't stay away from each other, we're going to catch COVID. Okay, better stay away from each other. Better not go to parties. Better not hang out on the street. Better not uh, uh, go places indoors very much. You know, better to stay away from all, from everybody around us. And maybe that's what's kept the numbers down because people don't have that security blanket. They, they could, but they don't see people around them wearing masks. They just stay away from each other. And it is true that just staying out of situations where you're likely to catch COVID is far safer for you than going to situations where you will catch COVID but wear a mask all the time. Like, I'll I'll give you an example with myself. Even though I wear a mask when I go out, let's say I never wore a mask when I went out. I would still have a far less chance of catching COVID than most of you who wear masks when you go out. Why? Because you do a lot more things than I do that will catch you COVID, most likely. Even if you just go to the supermarket, that's uh, even if all you do is go to the supermarket and uh, and a few other errands, I don't even do that. So me not wearing a mask anywhere I go, which isn't very light, very common where I go anywhere at all, versus you wearing a mask going to these places, far more likely you're going to get it, far more. So avoiding the situation much better than masking. So if Norway was just practicing avoidance as Perlot Friedman would say, then maybe that's why they have low numbers, because they're just good at practicing avoidance. And here in the U.S. we're not, because a lot of people think once they have a mask on, they don't have to. And that is the problem with the illusion of security, is if it changes your behavior to where you believe you're secure. Another version of the illusion of security, though it's... uh, not as good as one because this actually is helpful, but let's, let's say people believed wearing a seatbelt, which does save lives, so I, I don't want to make it sound like I don't believe in wearing seatbelts, but uh, let's say people believe that wearing a seatbelt prevented any sort of major injury or death on the road. So once they put on their seatbelt, they felt it was safe to drive 120 miles per hour everywhere. What would happen to that person? They would die. <laughs> they would eventually die, Okay. Uh, who's safer? The person who's wearing the seatbelt all the time, driving 120 miles per hour everywhere, or the person who never wears their seatbelt but always drives the speed limit? I think you know. So sometimes just feeling you're doing something that's, that's going to improve your chances to uh, survive or live through something or protect you can cause you to engage in risky behavior. And that's something that a lot of people are not thinking about. And the problem is that people like simplicity. People like just easy things where they can explain in their mind very quickly 
without listening to too much, without having to delve into the reasons behind it. They they just want to think, okay, responsible behavior equals good results, irresponsible behavior equals bad results. They don't like complicated messages like, wear a mask, but it's not going to help you much, and it's going to help other people, but when you go out with a mask, it's still very dangerous, so just don't go out, but you should wear a mask anyway if you do. Like It sounds kind of complicated and wishy-washy, and people aren't going to want to cooperate, so it's much safer. Just tell everybody, wear masks all the time, and then it's great, then people will. Except if it encourages them to go more out than they were before. And that, I think, has become a problem. And if you dare mention it, it's like heresy. If you you dare question anything about mask culture, you're branded an anti-masker and accused of denying the science, and you want people to die, etc., etc. But that's not what I'm saying at all, and you know it. So think about that. Now, what am I saying you should do? Nothing. I'm not saying you should change anything. You should still wear a mask. It hasn't changed me. It's just something you should observe when you think about the whole COVID situation. And next time you hear about a friend or an acquaintance having COVID and you, you talk about it with them, maybe maybe ask them, not in a rude way, but maybe ask them, uh, where, you, you know, where do you think you got it? Oh, were you wearing a mask there? And then you can ask them if you feel comfortable. Uh, I'm just wondering, did you think that maybe, did you think that having the mask on made it uh, less likely you're going to get COVID when you were there? I bet a lot of them will say yes. I would love to see a study of people who are COVID positive asking them if they felt that going out was going to protect them from COVID because they had a mask. That the mask would protect them, not going out. But uh, I bet a lot of people who got COVID were surprised to get it because they thought they were being responsible in masking. And I bet a lot of those people would not have caught COVID if they were told that the mask is not going to help much. A lot of them would have said, okay, mask is not going to help me. And by the way, it kind of feels like it helps you. I've, you know, I wear a mask. I'll admit, even though I know the truth, I kind of feel like, okay, I've got this on. I kind of feel like I'm protected. I kind of feel like I'm not uh, getting people breathing on me. I'm, I'm kind of feeling like anything that comes out of people's mouths is going to bump against the math, mask and f- not go into my mouth, not go into my nose. Kind of feels that way. Kind of has this good feeling. You know what's another illusion of security? I mentioned earlier in the show, but maybe you skip past that segment is all the cleaning going on. You see all the cleaning going on in these businesses. Oh, they're so responsible at keeping the place so clean, so sanitized. That I guess that's good for you catching a cold or the flu, but it's not going to help you that much when it comes to catching COVID because it doesn't seem to be transmitting much on surfaces or maybe even at all on surfaces. So that's all performative. I'm such the opposite of a person who is a believer of anything performative. I hate performative things that are giving people the illusion of something when it's really not accomplishing anything. I'm not a believer in doing something to feel good about yourself, but it doesn't actually help anything. I'm not a believer in doing something so you feel like a good person or others think you're a good person, but in reality, you're not helping anything. And we see a lot of that these days. People who are very, very big on the symbolism, but not very big on actually doing anything that is productive or helpful to whatever they're trying to symbolize. And it's not really from a place of evil. It's just people like to feel they're doing the right thing. It's human nature. And I've compared this before with the COVID situation. I've compared this before to the people's feelings about high blood pressure and cholesterol. And 
a lot of people still to this day do not want to accept the fact that those two are almost all hereditary and that it's not related to behavior. You hear someone has high blood pressure. You hear someone has cholesterol, high cholesterol. So many times they get judged. Oh, I bet they're not eating well. Oh, I bet they're not exercising. Oh, I bet they eat a lot of fat in their diet. Oh, I bet there's a lot of salt in their diet. Oh, if only they ate better and exercised more like I do, they'd be more healthy. That's not the truth. These are hereditary. I'm a walking example of this. By my diet, I should have high cholesterol, and I do not. My cholesterol level is great, and I have high blood pressure. And the reason I have high blood pressure is because my parents have high blood pressure, both of them. My parents have both had high blood pressure since they were in their 40s. My brother in his 40s has high blood pressure. My sister probably will. She's a little younger, but uh, she probably will very soon. And no one in the family had high cholesterol at a young age. And what do you know? I don't have it. My brother doesn't have it. My sister doesn't have it. How do you think that is? It's not often the same behavior because the behavior hasn't been the same. It's hereditary. I'm not just talking anecdotally. I'm just saying I'm giving you an anecdotal example. But uh, it, it has been already studied and concluded that high cholesterol is hereditary. High blood pressure is hereditary and that there are small effects you can have on it through lifestyle and diet, but really nothing significant. So if you're destined to have high blood pressure, you will. Destined to have high cholesterol, you will. There's ways to bring them down with medication, but without medication, you're going to have them if you're destined to, and if you're not destined to, you won't. People hate that. People want to feel like, I'm eating well, so and I'm exercising, so my blood pressure and my cholesterol are going to be good. And when they're not... And then some guy who's constantly eating junk and never exercise has good levels of both. You get pissed off because it's not fair. You want to feel like responsible actions equals good results. Irresponsible actions equals bad results. And that's what masking is all about. You feel responsible. And you feel, therefore, the virus will pass you over. Only those who are irresponsible and stupid with not wearing masks will get it. If I can give you any advice, it will be to minimize your time outside the house other than outdoors. You want to be outdoors except for a very crowded place. You want to be like – any place that's not like super crowded outdoors is pretty safe. But indoors, other than your own house, really avoid it. Even places like the supermarket. It's a, anything you can do to avoid it. If it's a little more expensive, if it's a pain in the ass, just do it anyway. Just avoid it anyway. I hate curbside Groceries, I hate delivery groceries. They screw things up. They don't do a good job picking the dates of things for expiration. I get expired stuff given to me all the time. There's mistakes. There's bad substitutions. Even when I tell them not to substitute, I mean, there's problem after problem after problem. It's such a pain in my ass, but it's worth it. It's worth it for peace of mind. It's worth it to actually keep yourself safe from COVID. And a lot of people who get COVID, they tell me the same thing. They say, I just kind of didn't think it was going to happen to me. I went all this time living fairly normally. I mean, I was cautious somewhat, but I wasn't going crazy with it, and I didn't get it. So I figured if I went this many months without getting it, it's it's just not going to happen to me. And then it happens. They go, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Maybe I should have done things differently. And they they, they, They start to have these doubts about the way they behaved. Maybe they should have done differently. So if you don't have it yet... I'm not trying to shame those who got it. If you got it, you got it, and hopefully you got through it okay. And maybe you had no choice. Maybe 
maybe your job required you to go in still and there's a COVID risk there and you got it. If that's what happened, then so be it. Maybe you just decided you're not going to live a life of uh, sitting indoors and, and never going anywhere. And it's you just can't bring yourself to do it and you're going to take a risk and you ended up getting it. So fine. Okay, it's, it's your choice. I'm not going to shame you for it. I'm just saying that if you don't have it yet, you're really best off avoiding situations where you will get it. Even with my intense avoidance, I still have worries because there's things I occasionally have to do. And I, I struggle with things like, do I get a haircut after nine months of not getting one? <laughs> like, do I finally just break down and do it? It's one time, but I will have a person cutting my hair who's very physically close while they're doing it for at least half an hour, maybe more. And I could probably get it from them if they have it. So do I want to do that? They're seeing people all day. Do I want to do that? Even if, you know, like, I've got to go through those questions. Then things like uh, dentistry with, if like, okay, Root canal, I had no choice. I was forced into that by my uh, own body. But uh, what about cavities? Cavities, you're taking a chance they'll turn into a root canal, but do I necessarily want to fill them now? Should I maybe wait a few months? But then maybe you'll have to have another root canal. Like, what do I do? So I have to always make these judgment calls. And yeah, one of these times I may just get really unlucky and get COVID, even though I'm not exposing myself that much. But the less I expose myself the better. And that's the way I live. And I look and say, one day this will be over or improved. And if it is not, if one day we just have to accept the fact it's going to always be here at some level, then yeah, I'm not going to sit in my house the rest of my life and avoid it. I'm just going to have to uh, live life with it, adjust some things a little bit, and go back to normal and just hope I don't get it. But we're too early to resign ourselves to that. Right now, be safe from it. Almost 2,000 deaths in the U.S. reported yesterday. We have not broken the 2,000 mark since April, and we're about to do it again. Who knows how high it will go? So it is going to be a tough winter for COVID in the U.S. and in many other countries. A lot of countries struggling with it right now. Italy having a bad time. Germany having a bad time. By the way, Germany has a mask mandate, so I think that might be happening there, too. You might ask yourself, why are these places with the mask mandates, like Italy and Germany, doing so badly right now? Hmm, why is that? It's not that masks are useless, it's that they are not as effective as people have come to believe. UK, not doing very well. Spain, not doing very well. Russia, France, Brazil, India, Iran, Peru, all these places are having their struggles. Actually, Peru has improved a lot. They were terrible for a while, but they've actually improved a lot. Ukraine having a big issue with it. Just uh, scrolling through the list here of uh, countries that are being hit hard by it. It's a lot of them. By the way, don't get in one of these stupid anti-US, anti-Trump kicks like, oh, if only we didn't have a leader like Trump, we wouldn't be having this. Go, go look around the world right now. There's a lot of countries getting it really badly and Trump has nothing to do with those countries. So... You can't uh, say if only we had Hillary in charge or a different Democrat, then we wouldn't be going through this. Yes, we would. Yes, we would. Otherwise, uh, how do you explain Italy and Germany, UK, France, that don't have Trump or someone like Trump in those places? How come that's happening there, huh? Hmm. Just be smart about it. 
Just be sensible. Don't listen to smug people who tell you to, quote, follow the science. Those people are insufferable. Don't listen to people who are full of conspiracy theories. Don't listen to extreme anti-vaxxers. Don't listen to people who feel it's safe to do some things and not others, depending upon uh, how righteous they feel that the risky behavior is. So, you know, going to bars, terrible. Going to a Trump rally, terrible. Going to a BLM rally, great. If anyone who says things like that, they're full of crap and you shouldn't listen to them. Anyone who says it's a hoax is full of crap, you shouldn't listen to them. Anyone who says it's the same thing as the flu is full of crap, you shouldn't listen to them. Anyone who says that the vaccine is part of a conspiracy, you should not listen to them, they're full of crap. Anyone who says that it is something to give an excuse to the government to uh, change everything is mostly full of crap. I say mostly because there are some in... uh, government, especially in the U.S., who are looking to take advantage of this to make changes that they've been always hoping to make, but the, they, you know, COVID wasn't caused for this purpose. It's just like uh, Rahm Emanuel once said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Some of that is going on, and it's despicable, but uh, there's no conspiracy. No, the, the COVID didn't come so this could, be, this could happen. Just uh, watch out and Things that are fact-checked, always be careful about that, too. Be careful who's checking the facts, who's doing the studies, the political biases of those doing the studies, right and left. When you read any result of a study, ask yourself, do you think all the people on this who are doing this study are on one political side very strongly? And if the answer is yes... And if the study is about something that makes a point on one side or the other, uh, I think you'll have your answer as to whether you can trust that study. And yes, that matters a lot. You can't just say, well, yes, they're very biased uh, one way, but we can believe them. They're, they're responsible. No. They might be right, but uh, you also just can't trust it. At that point, it's out the window. If there's a study being done on something that will make Trump look bad, and every single person responsible for the study is an intense Trump hater, then you can't trust it. You just can't trust it. You have to have someone neutral involved with the study that won't try to direct it in uh, a way they want it to land. So beware of that too. There's a lot of misleading information out there, a lot of information which can be true on the surface until you look at what it really means and then go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm being misled here. I've been getting annoyed recently with certain things I've been seeing both in the mainstream media and in social media to mislead people. One of the things which has really been annoying me has been the pushing of the narrative that young people are in a lot of danger for COVID. We just don't realize it. On CNN, there's been these front page, not just front page, but like super prominent front page stories of these healthy 28-year-olds who came down with COVID symptoms and they thought, oh, I'll be okay. I'm young and healthy. Oh, no, I'm not okay. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I have trouble breathing. Oh, no, no. I have permanent lung damage. Ah, wow. There's all these bad stories of people who were very young and overconfident and then now are sorry they were. 
And they're meant for people to read and go, oh shit, people in their 20s are, they're under major danger too. This is, this is really dangerous to everybody. Everybody's gonna take this so seriously because everybody's in so much danger. That's what they're hoping you're gonna read and believe, but it, the, the numbers don't support it. People under 30 are just not in very much danger of this. Very few are dying. Very few are experiencing symptoms that are really bad. Very few are experiencing permanent damage from this that we can tell. That's the fact. That, that those are the numbers. And, uh, yeah, the, the articles don't directly say people in their 20s are in intense danger, but that's the implication. There, there's a major front-page story of someone. It didn't say, oh, look, a very unusual story of outlier 28-year-old who is healthy and somehow got a terrible case of COVID, which damaged him for life. Okay, that's a fair story, as long as they're very clear that this is very atypical. But they're not. They they make it look like that this person before didn't take it seriously. They didn't think that it was something they had to worry about because of their age and health. And, oh, look what happened to them. So what's the lesson? If you are 28 and healthy, you better be scared too. It's nonsense. See, that's not being honest. That's not being honest with the people. That's scare tactics in order to be browbeat into doing what they're hoping you do. They need to be honest with the statistics. They need to say to young people, a small percentage of you, a very small percentage of you, will have a much worse experience with this than expected. The very vast majority of you will have mild symptoms or no symptoms, but you should try not to get it because you will probably expose other people who are older than you or more vulnerable than you, and you might kill them. So if you care about people, don't do it, even though it's not going to get you sick. Just be honest with them. Don't don't put these scare stories out there to try to get the cooperation from from the 28-year-olds. But I'm seeing this crap and it's so annoying because they're not being honest. They're they're misleading you. Yes, they're they're being honest that a real 28-year-old, the one being profiled, really had a terrible experience with COVID and was healthy and had no reason to believe he'd end up a terrible case and he got really unlucky. That's all true. There's no there's nothing in the story that's factually inaccurate, but the message of the story is very very misleading. I've also seen quote healthcare professionals that are all over social media that are exploiting the situation for social media attention. So you have someone, I am a nurse, and I want to tell you, I'm seeing people die of COVID who are still in denial it's a real thing. They still think it's a hoax. They still think that this isn't what they're really dying of. They still think that that this is all a big trick. They still think that they're going to get better and that this is just uh, something else. And it's so sad to see, and if only they would have taken it seriously and wore a mask. I'm warning you, wear a mask. I see it myself in the ER every day. And, and, and trust me, I'm a nurse. Okay. See, the problem is these are unverifiable, first of all. Anyone can tell any story, and there's no way to check if it really happened. Second, there's always outliers. Third, yeah, there's always stupid people out there who are in denial of what's happening to them or have such crazy strong beliefs of something that, that even with it right in front of their face, even with their body deteriorating, they don't, they can't believe that they're really on the way to death with COVID. They, yeah, sure, there's people out there like that, but you have to wonder why are these people putting it out there like that? What's the point they're trying to make? That uh, this is all Republicans' fault. Uh, Republicans are all stupid. Uh, that, that we need to panic because everything, all the hospitals are getting full, that uh, people 
aren't wearing masks and this is what's happening. There's, there's always some kind of message and there are, they've always got some sort of angle to it where you're supposed to read this and think this person has so much empathy. This person is going through this every day. They're going to work, seeing people die, seeing people in denial about what's killing them, seeing people who are dying who are, are, are young and, and never thought they were in danger. And if only you could see it like they do because they're a nurse, they're a doctor. If only you could be there and see the suffering, you would take this more seriously. And this, it's hard for them to sleep at night. It's hard for them to see this every day, but they trudge on. They go back to work and they take the risk and they suffer through what they're seeing and have to deal with every day so you don't have to. And therefore, you must listen to them and you must give them a lot of attention. You must give them a lot of retweets and a lot of likes. And uh, maybe they, they'll even appear on CNN as, as one of these nurses just did a few days ago. And uh, you can tell them eating up. They, they love eating up the attention and you stop and go, wait a minute, why are they putting this out there? Like, what's the real reason? What's the real reason when they see something like this that they run? Is it really out of true concern for their fellow human? Or is this to grandstand? Is this to make a political point? Is this to get attention? Is this to get retweets? It's a lot of these things. And often not based upon any kind of real concern. If the point of a heartfelt tweet from a nurse is Trump is bad, Republicans are bad and then it's supposed to be just like what they've observed and they're letting you know and then you scroll back to 2019 and every tweet is anti-Trump kind of hard to believe the motivation is pure there. Kind of hard to believe that this is a neutral assessment or that they're doing this out of uh, genuine concern. And a lot of these are are aimed at young people, making young people believe they're so much in danger. I read one about uh, how they saw a young person take their last breath and that they couldn't, it was just so hard to sleep after seeing this. Yeah, it's it's tragic whenever a young person dies of this. Because if this didn't exist, those young people would be alive and maybe would have lived a long time. Yeah, it sucks. Is this a big problem for young people? It is not. If everybody got this the way people under 35 get it, this would not be a thing. We We, we would acknowledge it exists. We would say this is kind of annoying. There would be an acknowledgement that people are dying. When I say kind of annoying, I mean like for the society as a whole. But we would not have shutdowns. Life would be going on as normal. Everything would be different. If if everybody got it the way the typical person under 35 gets it, this would be something that is of moderate concern, but not a life stopper. It's a life stopper because of what's happening to the other 99% of deaths and bad cases that are people who are over 35. That's why this is getting all the attention. And the media is not honest about that. Go read these stories. Go read these stories about the young people and tell me if anywhere in, other than a quick mention of that most young people typically don't get this, blah, blah, blah. But other than a quick token men- mention, tell me if what the implied message of the story is. When you get done with the story, think, what am I supposed to come away with? That this was an incredibly unlucky person who was a super outlier or wow, I didn't realize this, it was this dangerous to people under 30. And if it's the latter, you're being tricked. You're being misled. You're being manipulated. And you then ask yourself, why am I being manipulated? What's the goal here? Why are they doing this? This isn't conspiracy stuff. It's common sense. When you're told to follow the science, um, that doesn't mean believe everything that's put out there by those who express concern, those who claim they care about your safety. That's not following the science. Following the science also does not mean 
you believe everything that your political party believes without question. If you do, then you're not following the science. You're, you're following your political party like a sheep. So most of the follow the science people are very hypocritical, smug, and obnoxious. And if you go look at it, they're really not following the science. If you bring up any examples of it, uh, they freak out. Next, follow the science person who, who says that to you. Ask them what their feelings were about the uh, BLM protest in June. Ask them. And if they say, well, I was against it, say, okay, sh- show me a tweet from back in June when you said that. Show me, show me a Facebook post from back in June when you objected to that because it's unsafe because of COVID. They won't be able to produce one. And I'm producing somebody here. I guess he's producing himself uh, with moments to go with the show to end. Brandon Drexel Gerson. Hello. Up oh, and goodbye. Oh, now he's back. There we go. Brandon. Hello. Let me ask you something. Is this the is this the fraud show or the Asian plague show? This is the Jesus. this is the Wuhan flu show. <laughs> hey, buddy. I'm just waking up. Top of the morning to you. Hello, Brandon. It's uh. Good to hear from you again, and uh, I, I wish you were well, earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed I missed that stench gum. You know, I, I love a good stench gum. I know you were there for the first interview. I just, I, I, I it, it came yeah. together very quickly. She just like messaged me after well, the first time, she, and I talked to her. Okay, well, she, well I hadn't talked to her in, in 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 a lot of months. In uh, well, there was a little little rumor had it there was a little bit of a tiff between the two of you. Well. Um, can't really talk about it. No, though. it wasn't a tiff. No, I'll, I'll tell people since uh, since she was big oh. on on being honest about everything. Oh, she uh, talked about her. No, no, she uh, didn't. But I'll, I'll tell people now. Um, okay. It's I'm not going to go into full detail. But when when she was experiencing uh, a lot of her issues with getting her son back, I I felt very bad for her. I legitimately felt bad for her. So I sent her a, a message on Facebook last year, and I gave her some advice. I, I purposely did this in a message, by the way, not in not. She was posting publicly on her Facebook about the problems. That's how I read about them. I could have responded in a comment, but I thought that would be kind of a dick thing to do is like give her advice, do this, do that with everyone watching. So I uh, I sent her a private message, uh, politely told, gave some advice on what I thought that uh, she could do to increase her chances of getting her son back and, and what I thought, that, without knowing the specifics, what I thought the people wanted to hear who would be ruling on this. Basically, here's what they probably want, so do it. And uh, and she didn't take kindly to it, and, and basically told me to shut up, and she didn't want to hear it. So uh, so mm-hmm. I, I, but I, you know what? I didn't get mad. I, I understood she was going through a lot of stress, and uh, so I, I I didn't I didn't even respond back in a negative way. I just said, okay, good luck. That's what I said back. And then and so I figured, you know, like whatever. Uh, I tried to help. She doesn't want my help. I'm not going to force my help on her. I get, I, I said what I wanted to say. I, I said what I thought would be helpful. She can use it. She cannot use it, and we'll see. And then I didn't hear from her for 11 months, and then uh, then she posted. I was still Facebook friends. Like She didn't defriend me or anything, and I didn't defriend her. And uh, and then uh, I didn't hear from her for 11 months. I had seen in the interim that uh, earlier this year she got her kid back, when I was happy for her. And, uh, and then she messaged me a few days ago and apologized for the uh, – uh, getting mad at me when I was trying to help back in December and told me that actually my advice was correct and that she actually used some of it and that, you know, she was thankful that me and others had, uh, were willing to tell her how it really is. And rather than just saying what'll make her feel better at the moment and that, uh, that was valuable to her and that she appreciated it. So I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm glad you, you know, thank you for saying that. And I'm glad that, uh, 
things are doing better for you. And uh, and then she, she, it was actually her idea to come on the show. Yeah, she had messaged me a couple of days asking me if, if I thought you would have her on there. I'm like, of course you would. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it was probably right before she messaged me. And, you know, I said, like, I, I understand that people can be going through a stressful situation and can be uh, kind of in a bad mood and, and respond angrily to people who are trying to mean well. So I was, I, I really wasn't mad about it. I just thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to back off. And if she, next time she wants to talk to me, she can make the first move and send yeah. me a message. Otherwise, like I, I don't ever force myself on people. If people don't want to hear from me, uh, I'm not going to bother them. And uh, at the time she, she didn't seem to want to hear from me, get my advice. Yeah. So, okay. Well, good for her. I had no idea she was going to talk about those issues. Yeah. I, I asked her, of course, before I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to put her on the spot on the show. I said, uh, I think a lot of people are going to be interested in, in hearing the story, not just about Texas poker room stuff. So maybe we can talk about both. And she said, she said yes. So, uh, so we, we did it, and people that uh, now know the story, and, and she was open about it, and that's good. So, so what's going on with you, Brandon? You safe from I'm COVID? I'm just waking up, buddy. I, I'm uh, I'm just on lockdown again. Things are getting real, real, real bad out here again. Yep, I'm everywhere. Sure you no, know. I know. It's uh. It's I haven't left the house in uh, 10, 10 or 11 days. Well, I, I've, I've yeah. been out more than you. Yeah. Well, where, where have you been? I unfortunately got tricked into going to Target, as I just explained on the show. You may have read oh, on the geez. forum. And then and then I also – no, but I, I've also uh, – um, actually, I, ha- I guess I haven't been anywhere else besides Target. But I, I went into Target, and then soon I'm going to be going back into the dentist's office to uh, get the final work done for the mm-hmm. crown put on. It's going to be quick, but uh, – most of that is all done, so that'll be a very fast process. But uh, you know, I will be a few places that have some risk, and uh, then I have to decide what to do about a haircut. I haven't had a haircut since February. Wow! And uh, hmm. it's like I got to figure. You it don't out. think you can have the girlfriend maybe just grab some scissors and give it a little trim for you? No, you know, and, and Benjamin needs one too, and you know, she's just not uh, good at that. So I, I don't. Even she doesn't want to do it. So. Nice. <laughs> That's funny. So I'm not, I'm not, we're not going to do that. And the problem is, like, right now it's spiking. Like, I should have done this before. And I, Actually, I tried to do it before, too. And then the woman I know that cuts our hair, that she was, like, on vacation. And then uh, I figured, okay, I don't want to get the haircut either right when she gets back from vacation because she'll have been places. So I, I really prefer it's after she's been settled in for a little time and is at home most of the time. Sure. And then and then everything spikes back up. Now, again, it's not as bad in California as it is in a lot of other places. And uh but still, it's, it's it is higher here than it was before. Now, will you be uh, coming out to Vegas next month to play in the second main event? Yeah, I, I can't wait to do that. Actually, yeah. That, what what if I did and then I I made the final table of like, oh crap, I don't want to be indoors, but it is millions of dollars. What do I do? And then I get tested mm-hmm. positive for COVID because I went into Target and I get ninth place money even though I'm the chip leader. What a bunch of silly little rules, huh? The, the whole thing is silly. Nobody was asking for it. Like I was saying before, the, the yeah. dumbest thing about the whole thing is everybody was fine with it not taking place. And then Ty Stewart's like, well, we're actually losing money on this. Yeah, sure. That, that, I'm sure they're holding this when nobody's asking for it yeah. because they're losing money on it. There's it, just a lot of ridiculousness. I, I see Nevada. I'm looking here for the COVID numbers. I didn't even look at that during the show for Nevada. It's bad. We have over 2,000 new cases a day. Yeah, I'm seeing that. And, you, and the population is not high, so... Which at the peak back in April and, and May was about a thousand a change a day, low thousand like eleven hundred. That was roughly what the peak was. So it's gotten really bad. Yeah, that is pretty bad because uh, Nevada has less than one tenth the population of Calif- of California. So you've got to multiply by like thirteen 
uh, to compare it to California's numbers, and uh, California's numbers are 13,000. So you, you, you kind of have like double the incidence of California right now in Nevada, but it, it's yeah. not even as bad as some other places. Some other places are much worse. So They uh, they closed two more cas- – they announced the closures of two more casinos midweek yesterday. Did you see that? No, which Talk ones? Talk about that. Uh, starting on this Monday, the Mirage – or I guess I should say Sunday – the Mirage and the uh, Mandalay Bay will only be open. The hotel, uh, not the casino. The casino restaurants will still be open, or the restaurants that are open anyhow. But the hotel portion will be closed from uh, Sunday night till Thursday at noon. Hmm. Well, I wonder what they're going to do if it gets worse and worse during the winter. And there, well, there's talk here about the governor having another shutdown. Yeah, I was I mean, wondering I don't if it's going to happen. Do it, but I know it's going to be super unpopular to put that genie back in the bottle it, it would it would definitely end his political career yeah there's no doubt about that you know, he's a first-term governor so um i mean he's already not popular here if he did that it would definitely would just end his career yeah uh, yeah i know he's really it. resisting it people but... don't want it people just want it out here the general consensus is and i'm talking people that live here retirees you know obviously business owners they want people just to be smart and take their chances they do not want government coming and telling us that they're closing things down yeah, and that's the overwhelming consensus. No, I, I can understand, especially in a in a in a town which is really one industry for the most part. That uh, sure to just have it all shut down on you. There, there's people who say I'm willing to take the risk. I want to keep my job. I want to be able to do things, and uh, I'm willing to take the risk. And you you can't say those people are wrong. Everybody's got their own belief of what they should do and shouldn't do, and uh, and that's. It's it's a very complicated situation, and sure. it's there's there's no answer. There, there, everybody has to know there's no answer to this that is going to be completely right. There's no answer that's going to have no downside. There's not one obvious answer that this is right, this is wrong, and it's it's unfortunate. And I, I was saying earlier in the show that there's a big complication that's going to come next year, a big controversy next year. You can book it already. Is going to be people's unwillingness to take the vaccine who are under thirty five. Regardless of the effectiveness rate, uh, how many people under 35 are going to go take it? And that's that's almost half the population, by the way. I, th- I think it's uh, I think you can get a very low cooperation rate with that, especially under 30, but even under 35. I, I wonder if I wonder if CNN is the reason they're pushing all these stupid cases, these stupid stories about 28 year olds getting terrible cases of coronavirus. I wonder if this is the preparation to try to browbeat people into, into uh, taking the vaccine who are in that age group. Because otherwise, I don't see who's going to take it in, in that yeah. in that half of the population. What are your feelings now, Brandon? Since you're you're close to my age, a little younger, but close. Uh, so well, on the vaccine, on the vaccine. Well, the first thing is, without a doubt, I'm going to wait a couple months and just see the results of other people. Like you know what happens to them. What you know, I mean, obviously you won't know the long term effects, but I want to see at least in the short term how sick you know. Because I'm sure you've read the symptoms that are likely that you're going to get from getting this. You know the fever, the body aches, things yeah. of that nature. So I'm gonna, I want to see, you know, what, how bad those signs are. If there's any, you know, if there's any death. Um, so I, I'm thinking probably two or three months at least. Well, you're probably gonna you know, have I'm to wait that anyway because people. you're not gonna get the priority. So you're gonna have to wait some time anyway while the high priority people get it. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I've got the same feeling. Like, like everybody my age has the same feeling. This is very, a very common feeling we have about it. Is well, this is the fastest. 
vaccine they've rushed through in terms of approval and on the market in the history of the world. Yeah, uh, by I mean, wide margin. I don't know for sure that it's it's safe. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, no, it's a super wide it margin. Is, but... It's a super wide margin too. That they, they usually take like four years minimum, and here here we got less than one year. So this right. is this is a tremendously faster developed vaccine, and uh, it's, yeah, very people are very skeptical and people. It, the toughest decision comes from our age group. The the easiest decisions are the people who are young and old. The the people in the middle are the ones who have the toughest decision. Uh, and and I'm not going to give it to Benjamin. There's uh, I, I I would be. Uh, can you imagine how I would feel if I gave it to him and it harmed him, knowing that this is for something that is almost is highly likely, extremely likely that he will either not feel or feel a tiny bit. If he were to get the yeah. disease, and I would give, and I give him a vaccine which harms him, can you imagine how I would feel after doing such a thing if that occurred? Uh, because I just feel the upside's too little for him. And I talked to his mom about it, and she she agreed. She said that uh, the standard for me and her is different than for him, and the standard for my parents and her mom are, is different than uh, the standard for us. It's just that it matters how much you're going to benefit from it, and. Uh, I, I would be very scared to have that injected into him right now, given that, that what's he going to get out of it? Yeah, I agree. So that's uh, and so you're going to have a very little cooperation from parents, I think. You're going to have very little cooperation from people in their twenties and early thirties. So, like as I was saying earlier in the show, I think that some of the pressure will come from businesses that just will start demanding people produce proof of vaccine or antibody test to be able to go in and then people will start feeling like, Oh shit, if I want to do anything, I've got to get it. I think that's, I think that's the only way it's going to happen because otherwise you're going to get a, a mass refusal of people who are younger and even some older people who just don't want it. So, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a big mess and it's something that it's something that's like, everybody's so excited about the 90 something percent uh, effectiveness that they're not looking at, what's going to actually happen, even if it really is that effective, they're not looking at the big controversy we're going to be facing in 2021. It's going to happen for sure, guys. There's no way we're going to get a mass adoption of this. No way. I can already see it. I wish there were a way I could bet on this. I should look at there. Maybe there is somewhere you can bet on this. I, I, I wish I could bet on something about the... I don't know even how they quantify it, but if I could bet on the, you'd have to find a poker player that wanted to just make and make some, you know, easy to spell out prop that with somebody. That'd probably be the best. We're not going to find the site that has it. Yeah, that had to be hard would, to spell how out. How they even grade it? Like that's the problem. Like that's, that's what I'm, even with like a another individual, it'd be hard to bet. It's kind of a subjective thing. Like, what does it mean if people don't cooperate? But uh, may, maybe if they could do some kind of. I will probably get numbers at some point of what percentage in each age group is doing it. So maybe it's betting on something like that. But I would probably take the under unless someone wants a really low under. But it's it's, it's got to be a pretty low percentage for people like under 30 who are going to take it. Especially, uh, yeah, like people under 30, I, I think it's got to be a pretty damn low. And the only way it will be higher is if school kids are required to have it to come back to school, which would also cause a tremendous controversy. Sure. Tremendous controversy. That wait till that one is, is, is pushed. Everyone's going to freak out. Like I, I can totally see this too. Like the teachers union will push it, and then the government, which always bows to the teachers union in, in all these different states, is, is going to like feel pressured to do it. Then 
parents are going to absolutely flip out saying we're not injecting this into our kids who are not going to get very sick from this anyway. And there's going to be this tremendous standout. It's going to be a mess. I mean, this could be, there could be a, a major controversies about this that make the COVID controversies of 2020 look like nothing. So that look, look forward to that next year. In case you think 2021 is going to be a great year, it's going to be the relief from 2020. Uh, think again. It can be all kinds of things happening. And we're going to have, we can already see it's going to be a tough winter for the, for COVID. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But there, there will be a new main event champion again in 2020. We'll have that. De- December 30th, we'll know who the the second main event champion for 2020 is. I can't believe they're even open up to Rio. That's unbelievable. <laughs> why would they even open that place back up? Yeah, why not hold I it somewhere mean, else? Why, why, why does it have to be there? Why can't it be somewhere else? It's only it a final table. Sense. Why not just hold it in like a Caesars ballroom or something? I mean, I know what they're probably thinking. They're probably, you know, everyone's short-sighted. They, they're they all just hinging on New Year's Eve weekend, that people just aren't going to care and they're still going to come here, which might be the case. But then after that, I mean, who's going to be at the Rio in January and February? I mean, it's it's it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's kind of a ghost town close. there anyway. It's it's a ghost town anyway during a normal year when other than the, the World Series. Yeah, I don't really understand what they're doing here. Because I've stayed there occasionally during, like, non-World Series times if it's just really cheap. And I, I can't get anywhere else that's decent. Then I'll I'll stay there, and uh, and it's like it's it's like a ghost town. I just pretty much use it as a place to uh, to, to sleep or, or go online or whatever. But whenever but like I don't do anything there. I just leave and go to the strip. So uh, it's it's dead there, and that's during a normal year. I can imagine <laughs> during COVID, yeah, in January, like who's going to come? Yeah, aren't they reopening like December twenty second? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, they're doing it just in time for the uh, like, kind of like a few days in advance of the usual heavy traffic they get between Christmas and New Year's. And I don't know what they're going to get this year, especially if COVID is getting worse and worse. We've got another month till we're there. But uh, that's that. That is well. The other thing is the prices are, are, are a little cheaper than usual, but they're still jacked up. Yeah, I haven't looked at that. What are the prices looking like for New Year's? Um, I mean, at the, you know, I'd say whatever rates you're used to seeing, probably 15% lower, maybe no, 10% that's not, lower. That's not very much. It's it's not significant, no. Well, well because they they can't because they don't want you know they don't want they don't want the, that bad element, yeah, you know, to come in here. Well, I talked you know, about so it earlier. Can't. We're we're gonna have this guy on, but he he just didn't get my message in time. But he wants to come on. This guy who got mugged in the Four Queens, and they don't give a crap over there. So. Oh, I read about it. Yeah, I read, Oh no, yeah, I read about it on, on your site. Yeah, he, what, what, he, what are the cliffs on that? The cliffs are you got mugged in the elevator, and then when he went to them, they were very unhelpful, and then. When he eventually spoke to the director of security afterwards on the phone, the guy just dressed him down about how uh, there's no problem there. Security's great. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Not their fault. Goodbye. And like a very arrogant, obnoxious conversation. Like the, wasn't he, he, all he said he wanted like some graciousness and an apology, but they were just like all they wanted to do was beat him over the head with this isn't our fault. Leave us alone. Hmm. Which I believe. I could totally believe that's happening. And as I was saying before, like I, I think that they're so afraid if they admit anything that it's like, Admission of liability, so they just they just had to totally wash their hands of it, and and, uh, and come off very callous. It's it's, it's really crappy. So, at uh, what, what's like 
what's happened there with the tourist situation and the element that's coming into the city, it uh, it's really made Vegas a, a bad place to go as as a tourist now, and uh, they've they've got to handle that too. So it's a mess, but they've got some time here until uh, we see any possibility of it returning to normal. And can you imagine what what like what is the result for the casino industry even going to be if COVID uh, never really goes away? If it always kind of lurks as a threat, and I don't mean as an outside threat. I mean, what if it's kind of just even if they bring it down to lower levels thanks to the vaccine, if there's not enough cooperation with the vaccine or whatever it is, and uh, um, we, we just and then it mutates, and you know, what if we've always we just always have it there like the flu? Is it going to like really kill the casino industry where people start saying, "I, I don't think I want to do this anymore"? Yeah. And then, like, what would what would happen to a place like Las Vegas? Like, a lot of tough things to think about that haven't been considered. You know, before. so I'm looking right now. I'm seeing a room, uh, and this is not using my you know my login or any kind of discount I would get. Um, it's actually cheaper than I thought it was. I'm seeing a room on Caesars right now. On New Year's Eve for two hundred ninety four dollars a night for Caesar's Palace for for tax and uh, resort fee, but for Caesar's that's Palace, pretty cheap. Caesar's Palace, wow, that is, that is cheap. Two ninety four, and that's just not me logging in. You know, that's just you know going to a site and just like anyone would, and not putting in any information, any player's card. Yep, two ninety four on the thirty first, and on the thirtieth it's one oh five, and on the first wow. it's one thirty two. I'm surprised with the thirtieth. The thirtieth is usually almost as expensive as the thirty-first, and usually yeah, they require bucks. usually they require a two-night stay starting the thirtieth, and they jack both of them way up. So this way, they they force you to get two expensive nights if you want to stay there. Uh, and they also didn't want to check people in on the thirty-first. I think they they stopped the check. They may not even let you check in on the thirty-first. I'm forgetting, but whatever. I don't know. No, it's a two-night. It's a two-night. Well, it's a two-night. Uh, you know, minimum stay. So. You you have to book at least two nights. You can't just book one. They won't let you even book the thirty first. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No. I I, th- I think in previous years you couldn't even start with the thirty first. Like do the thirty first and the first. I think it had to be the thirtieth and thirty first. Oh, uh, okay. I'm not sure about this year, uh, but let me look. But but even so, like the thirtieth was expensive before. Now they had to make it one hundred five at Caesar, which is amazing. And this is in this is in November too. Like sometimes at the end, when they're not selling well, they'll get desperate and lower prices. But here, they're more than a month in advance, and they're still charging these much lower prices. It shows you how much everything's changed. I'm trying to put in just the 31st and see if it lets if it populates prices. Nope, you got it. It says as soon as you click on the 31st as an arrival date, it says please choose an earlier day to arrive. Yeah. Okay, so it's still like that, but but still, if the thirtieth isn't that expensive, it's, it's not that bad. So that uh, that's interesting. It, that shows that they're already getting very weak booking. So they're charging this little already. This, that they've got to get. There must be very weak response so far. That sure. I, I wonder. I, also, like I don't know what they're going to do about. Uh, what are they going to do about New Year's? Like, how are they going to even have New Year's? They can't have the crowd out on the street. They had before. What are they going to do there? Just no one's allowed on the street. <laughs> How's that going to work? Yeah. Like what, what? It's hard to picture New Year's. Where? How do you have New Year's without a crowd? Everyone going to watch from their rooms? Are they going to really? I like- don't think. I don't even know. If, I, I don't 
they haven't even announced it if they're going to have fireworks. Oh, there may not be fireworks. Okay, then what's everyone going to do? Yeah. I guess it's yeah. sitting in casino gamble, it. I guess. Well, this is what everyone's waiting for. The governor has said in a couple of days he's coming out with new measures. So that's why everyone's speculating if another shutdown's possible, if it's just going to be maybe closing gyms again and, and you know, non-essential businesses like you know, tattoo parlors. So everyone's on pins and needles waiting until early next week when the governor is going to make his announcement here. Uh, I mean, I'm not on pins and needles, but you know what I'm saying. A lot of people are that are going to be affected by it. This will this will so be actually one of my first New Year's in a long time. If I, my very first New Year's in uh, 11 years where I, am, I have not traveled somewhere for New Year's. The last time was uh, the New Year's from uh, – oh, no, no, 10 years. It was the, the New Year's from 2010 to 11, I was home, and that's because we had a little infant who was uh, like – Two months old. That was the reason I was home on that New Year's. Who had an infant? I did. 10 or 11 years ago? 10 years ago. How old is your son now? He's 10? 10. Jesus. Wow. Where's the time gone? That's incredible. My son actually wants to... It just seemed like the other day you're on the, the radio with the guitar and the song with the girl. Yeah. Now, now he's he's 10 and he, he wants he wants me to... to Get an old MacBook for my sister because he wants to try to make an app for for the iPhone. I don't know if he can do it, but he, he wants. What to, kind of app does he want to make? Uh, I'm not even sure, but he wants to attempt to make an app. He wants. I mean, is he, does he know that much about computers that he could even get that started? Uh, he get it started. Uh, he he's uh, he doesn't have the base knowledge required for programming, but. Uh, like he watched YouTube videos and copy what they're doing and then try to modify it. Like that's kind of like he, he's, he's done a few things in like game Roblox like that. So he wants to take a shot at it. I don't, I don't think he understands all the complexities involved, but uh, yeah, he, 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 wants well, he needs a MacBook to do that. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah. For the most part, I mean, there's ways around it, but it's, it's not as easy. So if my, my sister has an old MacBook somewhere. He wants, he wants to yeah. get that. I'm not going to buy him one just for that, but uh Anyway, yeah, he's he's ten years old, and that was that was when he was a tiny baby ten years ago. That's when I didn't go out, and that's when I had that weird night on Bodog before it became Bovada. On it was With actually the King High versus the Eight Deuce. No, that was that was last night or two nights oh. a few nights ago. No, this was this weird night where I pl- I got my ass beat for six K heads up at a thirty sixty game. This is ten years ago, and. uh the guy I was playing wasn't even, he wasn't a big fish, but he wasn't that great. It was just like, I ran super bad. I lost 6K heads up. I thought, what a horrible night. And my uh, girlfriend didn't feel well. She was still re- recovering from the pregnancy. It's only two months later. She still didn't feel that great. So she went to bed early. She didn't even see the New Year's or anything. Benjamin, of course, is a tiny baby and was sleeping. So I'm sitting here alone. Got my ass beat. And then I watched like the ball drop on TV or whatever. Opened up Bodog again right after midnight. A game was running, like a, a six-handed game, and everyone was just playing awful, including and remember you could see names back then, so you could see who you're playing with. There were good players in the game who were just playing absolutely terribly. And some fish there, and some actual good players playing like fish. I was the only one playing reasonably in the whole game, and I go, "Oh, everybody got drunk," and. Everyone was so awful, I won 11K at a single 30-60 six-handed game. 
So I got back the 6k, I lost plus another 5. I never would have pictured that happen, but everyone was playing so horribly at that table. And I was like, oh, I've got to start playing after midnight on New Year's every... Uh... You won almost 200 big blinds? Yes, at one table. How long? Like over a few hours. You, you wouldn't believe how badly everyone was playing there, including people who normally win. Everyone just got super drunk. That's weird. They get drunk and then play on the computer? Yes, they, they got drunk and they're like... Well, it's it's the new year, and what do I do? Huh? Let's go play some poker, and then they get on, they get on there. I couldn't believe how badly they were all playing. And this is when you could see who they were. So I like I was I sat down the game. I go, oh, like I see like two fish here, but like there's three good people who play very well normally. No, they all sucked. I was like I couldn't figure out first what's going on. Like oh, it's New Year's. So I made sure I made a point to check it every time after on New Year's. Even for my hotel room, because the game was so... Un- I didn't see anything like that ever again to that extent, but I did see some games that were, like, better than usual after midnight when people were drunk. That's funny. So, uh... Mm. I, I even went down to... Uh, one of the years I actually went down to Bellagio and played there after midnight. And uh, the game was... That was also a funny one where... <laughs> there was this fish to my left, and uh, the board... It was like one where there was a, a like a backdoor flush possible, but a one card straight that would make like the Broadway straight, like a, a queen makes the Broadway straight, and but also a, a, a backdoor flush hit the river. Mm-hmm. So the guy bets on the river. I have, but this guy was very passive. So I, um, um, what was he? Was very passive. He was just like a fish, and he was like a weird play style. It wasn't he was passive? He was just a very weird play style. So he bet the river, but I actually thought there was like a a better chance that he's betting with worse than the straight than uh, uh, than him having the flush. So I raised him, and he showed me the straight and folded. And I had the straight myself. I didn't have the flush. So he actually laid down the straight for one bet. Jesus. And showed it to me. And I was like, this is, this, is a, this is a New Year's type of hand. If I can limit hold him, that's, for those of you that don't know, that's like a horrible play. So, uh, unless it's someone you're like 100% sure would never raise there unless they had the flush, um, it's a horrible fold, but he made the fold. Wow. And showed it to me. So, yeah. And it was like a pretty big pot. Like it was a multi-way pot. Like by the time we got to the end, it was like just me and him for one bed, he ra- for one bed raised, he folds. It's like so many weird things I've seen on, uh, on New Year's. But yeah, this, this time I'll definitely be at home. Definitely not going anywhere. Now, since you mentioned Bavada, how's the, uh, that one guy that was kind of giving you trouble? Oh, he, like, no, this, he, like, uh, he's, 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 he's still, he's still putting a beat down. Not as much. Like the last two weeks he hasn't been doing as well. He's not losing, but he's kind of like, there's, there's more nights where he kind of just spins his wheels. But, uh, no, that, that guy still wins and I've seen some of money on there. I, boy, do they have fast cash outs though. I mean, this is like the old days with Net Teller. How fast they are Listen, now. it's funny you say that because I did a cash out. Uh, you know, I, I listen. I don't show any of these sites. I mean, I you know whatever. But I did a cash out a couple of weeks ago for the first time. I was playing. Uh, I started playing PLO on Bet Online. You know, I try to stay away from these illegal sites, but being home so much now, and you know, I've talked about this, it just doesn't really cut it on uh, the, the the fail site here. So anyhow, Bet Online, I request a cash out, and literally. Within about three minutes, the money was in my Bitcoin wallet. I was stunned. I was stunned. I'm like, three minutes? So, I mean, it could have even been two minutes or one minute. 
You know, because I, well, I that even beats what, what what I got. I, I, mine took about an hour, and I was shocked. There was a lot of money I cashed out, though. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a thousand dollars. I don't know how big yours was. You don't have to say, but like it wasn't like mine was a thousand dollars. Like mine was mine was a five figure cash out, and they just like bang in an hour. It's there. Mine was mid 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 fours. Okay, that's still pretty good. So the three minutes is crazy. Well, it was more, <laughs> and that was also more of a test. And plus, you know, I don't even know. I, I just can't keep thirty, forty thousand on these sites. I do, I just don't feel comfortable doing it. Well, you know what was my motivator to do it was. I, mean, uh, I, just, uh, it, it, I had a funny motivator of all things. Like I did have more than I needed on there, but I was kind of waiting for like the right moment with Bitcoin to do it. And I I started seeing it go up, and I just had this feeling that it's going to be moving up from. Uh, I was just watching the pattern of the way Bitcoin was going, and I said, "This is hard to predict, but this really has the look of." It's going to just move up and get to uh, like really just move up and eventually get to close to twenty thousand and then event and then fall again. But it was like sixteen five, sixteen six already had gone up a few hundred uh, to that from like low sixteens. And I just I really had the feeling this is going to be moving up. So I hit the cash out button and I really did it for that reason. I just wanted to get some Bitcoin that way, and I want I was going to cash out anyway. And then I thought it was going to go up. So I hit the cash out. I went to sleep. And then I woke up. And I wake up and, the, and Bitcoin's gone up like $1,000. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so what's that? You see where it's at now? I like I saw it like eighteen six before the show. eighteen seven. Yeah. So that's – Yeah. So I, I, I did well on that one. I, I, I called that one right. Of course, I haven't sold it yet. So if it crashes, then I'm, I'm dead. But I, I be, my nightmare will be though if it, like if if it hits like the nineteen the high nineteens range while I'm sleeping, and then it has a big crash, and when I wake up, it's down to like seventeen or sixteen. Yeah. That that, that but I've never seen anything like this where it was in minutes. It was in within minutes. It was in within minutes. Like literally within minutes, I had the money in my wallet. My, yeah. Well, that's interesting that you got this because I don't know how many cash outs you've made on this. I know you're more of a recent player to bet online. I've been on. You know, Bovada Ignition for a long time, so I figured they're doing it for me very fast because I'm a. They've done so many cash outs for me over the years, and there's never been a problem with you know che- cheating or colluding or or bad deposits or anything like. Like they can trust that when I am cashing out, it's because I just legitimately beat the game, so they don't have to do any reviews on me. Obviously, they're not doing reviews in an hour, so I, I figured that I just must have some status on there, like any kind of regular. Obviously, winner. they're not doing reviews in three minutes. No, I, no, that's what I'm saying. So I'm wondering why they gave you credit so fast, that why they were so sure that the win was uh, was something they could trust. Usually that's what they want to do is a quick review to make sure everything's okay. And for a player that's like consistently winning and cashing out and they never have a problem, it makes sense. For someone who's newer, you know, like I don't know. But yeah. Well, and then the other thing that was interesting is I was doing some reading beforehand and I don't know, it was in – one of their marketing pages, it might have, I guess it was on their website. It was somewhere, and I read Bet Online, known for their ultra fast cash outs. So I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting because I'd done a cash out the week before on America's Card Room, and it took it wasn't long, but it was like 24 hours. Or, you know, it was like a day. And I did it, then went to sleep. The next day, I woke up and it was there. So I was just curious what that meant, and maybe that's something they're known for. But you're right. I don't know how, unless they kind of pre-screen things. I, I don't know. Yeah, my That's last cash question. out there from – and I'm not playing poker there. It's from sports. So my last cash out there was – it wasn't minutes. It was probably – it was faster than I expected. It was like six hours or something, and I was still happy with that, obviously. But uh, yeah. um, like I wasn't expecting that fast, but they – and it was a, a large one too. But I – it wasn't minutes, but that's that's very interesting that these places are doing this now. Uh, yeah, I've never seen anything like that. 
in terms of that speed. Well, that's so. that is good. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have much more. I'm going to shut this down pretty soon. Is there anything you'd like to bring up? They haven't brought up. No, yet? I got to start my day anyhow. I just happened to wake up earlier and saw you on. And well, what about my little uh, Trader Ruski? Was he on tonight? He was on. He it was. He told me he'd come on at eleven. Then he uh, he didn't, and he came on. He t- texted me at twelve thirty. I didn't see it. I brought him on at one thirty, and then uh, uh, I actually. Nobody. Got- I actually got it. I had to pause the show. Well, I didn't have to pause the show. I thought I may have to pause the show. I'll tell people now what it is, whatever. At the time, I didn't say specifically. I got a text from my girlfriend who was in bed, and she said that she thought – it was like at 2.30 in the morning. She thought Benjamin might be awake, and I had to go uh, check on that. And if he was, put him back to sleep. So I told people – so I said to Trader Ruski, I got to put on the Eric Benzamokin commercial and go check. And if Benjamin is back awake, then I had to pause the show while I get him back to sleep and – I said, "Will you still be here?" He said, "No, I'm too tired. I got I got to get up early tomorrow." So that was the end of him. Have you seen that Ben Samakan? He's got this Asian flu. Well, I see. I don't know if he, he wanted that known. That, that's the announcement I didn't want to make yet. I made Why? How would I not know? No, that? I'm not blaming you. I'm just telling you. you know, he didn't tell me not to. He didn't tell me. I always want to make sure it's okay. I, I'll, I'll well, edit it. Delete it from the, the what happened? I'll, I'll, I'll edit it. Yeah. I've, uh, yeah. For those listening, well, li- for those still listening live, you, you've, I think he'll be okay with it. I just. Um, he said, "I had asked him. Yeah, I didn't hear from him tonight, which is a little disturbing. I, I was. Uh, um, he told me as of a few days ago that. Uh, oh wait, there's someone else. Maybe we can call though. There, there's a. He told me a few days ago that mm-hmm. he uh, w- wasn't that bad. It was kind of moderate. That he was definitely feeling it and feeling sick, but he it wasn't like horrible. But then uh, I didn't want to bother him every day. Then I noticed it had been like." a few days since I last asked him how he was. So I messaged him today at, uh, it was almost 9 PM. So maybe he's asleep already, but, uh, I said, how do you, how are you doing? He just didn't respond. So I, he's probably sleeping. He, you know, people sleep a ton when they have this. So I, I hope he's just sleeping. I hope, uh, Eric is okay, but, uh, We'll have to remove this from the archives. Well, I can say something, but now I don't think I should because if, you know, maybe it's, a, you know, supposed to be on the download. So, I don't know if it's supposed just, to be. I didn't ask him if I could. He said he would come if he felt good today. He would come on radio, but I wasn't sure if he wanted me to announce this without uh, him coming. See, he he didn't say not to. I just I just don't like revealing these things until people say it's okay. Yeah, whatever. I he, in all likelihood he doesn't mind, but I'll, I'll I'll edit this anyway. If you're listening live, you got you got a little bonus here. It's a secret. It's, it's a secret you must all keep here. Uh, if I'm gonna try to make a call though to somebody else who just texted me. Try to make a call. I, I didn't expect this person to be texting me right now, but they are. Good chance we won't, but some chance they'll answer. Hello, Master Scaler, you're on the radio with. Uh, what? You're on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. It is. We're still on, and I saw you texted me, so we have uh, Brandon on here as well. Brandon. Yeah. What's up, buddy? Hey, I'm I'm uh, ailing but recovering. Uh oh, that, that that doesn't sound good. He's on what? He's ailing but recovering. He said. Uh, now you said you're in the text that your side still hurts. It's it's almost all gone. Oh, it's almost all gone. Okay, once good. Once it once it started going away, you know. Um, I've been just sleeping crazy hours, just just 
I want to knock this out, you know? Well, you didn't get much sleep when your side was hurting a lot, right? No. Okay, well, that's good. See, I told you it's probably going to go away. So it's it's uh, it, it probably was a pulled muscle. How do you know? You're not a doctor. I just have a feel for these things sometimes. Uh, the uh, Someone suggested on my site something Can I didn't I think of. Can I say something really quick? Yeah. President-elect Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Okay, thank you. So... I was oh, going to say, yeah, go that's not a good reason to interrupt me, but I was going to say that uh, someone on the site suggested that you pulled a muscle when coughing. I know you woke up with it, but uh, th- that was a good suggestion. Yeah, I, was about, I, was, I, I was at a concert in my dream, and then I woke up and my side was just killing me, and it okay. like interrupted the door. The dream. It, was, you, it was actually, by the way, when you have this illness, you have really different kind of dreams. It's very weird. I've heard that from some people that they've had weird dreams on it. I have heard that very too. weird dreams. Not everybody, but there have been some people who've reported that. But the the side pain I've never heard of, and I couldn't find it on Google. So I think the suggestion that you pulled a muscle in some way in your sleep, uh, or or sometime when coughing, and you just didn't feel it until the next morning, I think that's very possible, and that's why it's it's slowly getting better now because that's what happens with pulled muscles. It's almost like that squeeze song. I don't know what you're talking about, but... Pulling muscles from a shell is an 80s song. Okay. Well, I'm glad that's improving. Well, the young listeners, they don't know what that is. Go on. I'm glad you're improving. Uh, I heard you're still coughing on this call. Is it, How much of a cough do you still have? It's still a little bit there. I, yep. I noticed when I eat more recently, the cough's still there, and when I haven't eaten in a while, it, it fades. Interesting. Now, I was reading an article about some guy who had this in March, and he said he still, you know, has breathing problems, like the lung, which you mentioned. Yeah. But another thing he has is sometimes he's, he has trouble concentrating, and he used the term foggy brain. I'm really afraid this might affect my brain. I, there have been some effects on people's brain, um, and sometimes this can – sometimes you're – trouble concentrating, trouble thinking of things can come from other issues. I had this issue two years ago when I was experiencing uh, the severe anxiety and depression. That was one of the things I had with it was uh, and it, like I would think of things and I'd have trouble coming up with words, coming up with names, uh, trouble concentrating. Uh, I could sit down and, and write something normally and it'll come out okay, but it was harder. And everything, like, I, there was a, a substantial difference in the way I would think, too, like, in, in the ability to think. And uh, I'm really worried that I'm going to get that, and I'm worried that I'm going to have psychological problems in the next couple months, because one out of three, or one out of four people that recover from this get a psychological now, problem they've never had before. I'm just so worried now, that Ken, even when I'm quote-unquote recovered, I'm going to have all these prevailing illnesses, you know. Yeah. I'll need to file a bunch of, you know, BS, you know, lawsuits like the Trumps to try to Knock them all out. You well, know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who you're going to yeah. sue, though. But uh, I want to say. Well, actually, Brandon's going to say something. Brandon, what do you want to ask? Yeah, Ken. Uh, we got a. You know, there's an interna- interactive uh, chat that goes on during the the fraud show. We have a couple questions from the chat. Are you taking questions, Ken, or no? Yeah, I'll take questions, but it doesn't get all answered. Right no, okay. <laughs> well, this one's from our user Asian Girl One Two Three in the chat. And she says, "Is she really an Asian girl, or is that just a I mean, guy that we, likes them?" No, it's an Asian girl. She says, "Okay, all Ken, right. it's it's well known from listening to the, you on the show for many years that you are a frequent masturbator. How has <laughs> I'm not answering that? <laughs> now, hold on, this is what the question. I'm just reading the question. 
How has this Asian flu affected the frequency of you masturbating? I can't answer the question because I don't recognize the term Asian flu. That's a, that, those are right-wing talking points. This isn't Salem. Well, this isn't OANN. This isn't okay. Newsmax. And this isn't Fox. So if you want to ask the question in a non-right-wing framing, then maybe okay. I'll answer it. Okay, so. Ken, it has been well-documented from your time on these fraud shows that you enjoy masturbating frequently. How has the COVID-19 pandemic affected the frequency in which you masturbate? I'll stand it, by for your answer. It's gone down. It hasn't disappeared, but it was like eight or nine days where I didn't do it at all. And then finally, I, I think on Tuesday at about 3.17, I, I said, I want to know if I'm still functional. And I was functional. So well, you, you, know, couldn't be, but, you couldn't feel that, that bad if you can do that. Because I know when I've been very sick, uh, I, I haven't had an interest yeah. in doing that. Yeah, well, it was like about a week and a half where I didn't do it. Did you hear the first part of my answer to Asian girl one two three? Well, I, you know, I yes. heard it, but I'm I'm just I'm surprised you did it at all, given how you've been feeling. But okay. I wanted to see if I wanted to see if I was functional, so I just you know <laughs> fantasized about you know lesbians and yeah. Now, Ken, this is a, another question from Asian girls. It was just her last follow up. She said. Ken, thank you for your answer. Always been a big fan. Is eight or nine days the longest you've ever gone in your adult life? Uh, after my dad died, I didn't do it for a while because I was afraid he was watching from heaven. But mm-hmm. um, uh, it's, it's up there with a long, you know, dry streak, you know. But... I don't want to be known as a, as a master or an amateur baiter. I want to be known as, as a multi-variable, you know. Uh, I want to be, like, complex, you know. I don't want to be seen as a black and white. I want my areas of gray to show without, you know, yeah. Well, I, I, I do have to say that uh, I, I actually have uh, gotten... Are there uh, any other co-hosts on the show? With no, no, it's, it's just us two, no, but I, I've actually gotten uh, a message from... Did the guy from, from New York fall asleep? No, he, he was not on tonight. I've, got, I've gotten yeah, a... Really? Hold what on, happened? Ken, Ken, I, no, I've got something else to say here. I, I've actually gotten oh. a message from uh, a corporation about this. Uh, the Starbucks Corporation said for some reason they haven't had to clean their bathrooms as much recently this week. <laughs> Hey, you keep having bad jokes like that, you'll end up like Kevin and Bean. <laughs> they, they did fine. They're they're okay. They they may not be on anymore. Actually, yeah, hey. they're, they're 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 very well off. But yeah. Hey uh, Ken, you know what I Ken, mean. this yeah. is really funny. Uh, you probably recall this was oh man, six years ago, maybe five, seven years ago. You came to Las Vegas and you Is that the one time I met you? I think I met you once. You've never met me, unfortunately. I'd love to meet you, but how come I never met him, Todd? I thought I did. You never met him. I'm not sure why you just haven't. Okay, it just it hasn't worked. Okay, out. well, one day, so, go on. Yeah, okay. So you came here like five or six years, maybe seven years ago, and you did this ride share with these two other girls. Oh and... yeah, that was when I was still friends with Stephanie. She's crazy. Yes, and I don't know if you remember one of the girls. Her name was Marisa. Okay, and she was the Greek girl. Like, she was really, really pretty. To this day, she still messages me 
I, I don't even remember how she got my number, but somehow in all... How did she get your number? I, never... I think she came on radio to talk. I taught had her on radio. Yeah, she right. She talk. came on radio, exactly. And, and in fact, I just heard that episode recently. I was just turned on the call to listen line, oh and there it, there it was. I happened to hear Funny. this episode, this part of the episode. So, so this, this is day... one of those two... Because I remember one of those was black and one was not black. This is obviously the not black this one. Is okay. a, this is the white girl. She's Greek and Spanish. <clears throat> and... Yeah. She had big breasts. I'm just trying to describe her. So even so, anyhow, a friendship was kind of. I was wondering what happened to her. She lives in in Long Beach, California, still. Okay. To this day, she messages me uh, six, eight times a year, like about once a month, and we're you know we're friendly. We're you know she has an OnlyFans page now that she started for the first time during this. Oh really? uh, I had had no idea you're still talking to her. Amateur porn. So if you're interested, (laughs) well. I don't. Do you do Instagram, Ken, or what? What do you do these days? Is it Facebook MySpace. only? No, only MySpace. He's the, the one user on MySpace who's still there. Wait, is that serious? You still are only stuck on that? Yeah, it's I, like I'm uh, almost at a million connections. Okay. Well, she doesn't have that. I was going to give you her contact information so you could, you know, reach out to her. Well, yeah. How, she about, how about you have Todd uh, give have Todd give you my email, and he can give my email to her. Okay. I don't really I do, do Instagram, Facebook, sure. Snapchat, you know, TikTok. So, yeah. So anyhow, I, thought that was, I thought that was funny that uh, – well, what year was that? Was that 2000? It was – well, I think it was late 2012. It was, yeah. It was late 2012. It was eight years ago. Jesus. A very long eight time ago. ago. And in fact, uh, um, yeah, that was uh, that was a crazy well, thing. I, I was I part got, of that story. I got a phone book for Vegas, and it was – it was the green and white colored edition. I was yeah. I, I was very uh, I was part of that story. Unfortunately, it was it was my room. I'm glad that Todd didn't lose his seventh star. Let me see how good I am. The room was at Paris. Yes, that's how good I am. It was at Paris, and, and Stephanie threw a wine glass at at Ken, which yeah. broke on the wall, and and it was my room that I had gotten them, and I was and then there was some. Oh, go- Stephanie was mad because those girls had nowhere to go. She said. Well, you could stay in the other bed. I was just trying to be nice. And, and, and Stephanie, hooked up, with, Stephanie hooked up with a guy there. Stephanie had sex with a guy who was only with her, not because he liked her, but because he actually wanted to get to me, not sexually, but because he thought I was a rich poker player who could about, fund his business ideas. About oh, the black guy, or he's half black, half white. Or yeah, something. whatever. <laughs> yeah, she so, met him at the Paris uh, buffet. By the about, way, in, in, in Vegas news, the Circus Circus buffets turned into a food court. Go on. Yeah, so about four years ago. And the Rio's opening December 22nd. Yeah, we, we talked about that already. We talked about that already. Let's go on. So oh, about I'm four, sorry. I didn't about hear the four show. years ago, she called me and told me she was at Red Rock. And she asked me to, you know, if I was nearby, and I actually was. I was at home. But I went there, and I had coffee with her. We sat at the food court at Red you Rock. You actually met her? Yeah, I met her. I spent like an hour with her. Yep. Oh, and wow. We've been friends ever since. Like, you know, like once a month, she'll message me and... You know, ask me, you know, whatever. We just keep in touch. Don't talk on the Does phone. Does she remember me? Oh, absolutely she'll remember you. Every so often she'll ask how you are. Like, how's that guy? Well, she calls you, like, the crazy guy from, you know, I don't know if she remembers <laughs> your name, but she knows she a thousand she, percent. Does she still talk to that black girl, or they no, lost touch? They lost touch. Hmm. Amicably, yeah. or, or is it like a fall? No, they out? weren't really. They, it's funny. They weren't really close friends then. They had just kind of known each other when you had met them. They weren't like they just wanted friends. to kind of get a ride, and they just yes. arranged. The oh, I didn't know that. Day. See, I didn't know that either. And what's amazing I didn't know that either. Me, I thought they were like good friends. And what's amazing to me, she's not even thirty. 
Still, like, like, <laughs> just to show you how young, like she was just twenty one. Right, she right. So that, that's that's so crazy. The eight years have passed. She's still not thirty yet. Yeah, I know. Right, she's like twenty nine now, and I'm like Jesus. I wish Christ. I could like, say that. Like, and she's gotten a boob job, so she probably would look a lot different than. But anyway, we become really good friends. Like you know, for does eight she have years, kids or she has uh, she has two kids. Which she had then. Out of, I assume out of what? No, she already had them. She had them eight years ago. They got how, how old are they now? Two, uh, but she was never married. I don't think they were like they were like one in three back. So they're like now you know nine, eleven, something like. She hasn't had she hasn't had any more since. But when you met her, Ken, oh, she had two good. kids. I don't know. Were the kids with her back then? Do you no, no, no. It was just, I don't know if they were with her physically, like at home, but she was. No, the kids were not on the trip. Yeah, okay. they, they weren't on the and trip. Yeah, she was, she had the kids out of wedlock, but that, you know, that doesn't mean she's not a good person. No, I, no, I was the one she, who, I drove oh, them. I'm not condemning her. I just, I vaguely, I thought the black girl had a kid. Maybe they both had kids. I drove, I, I drove them back with, with Ken in the, I, I drove them to LA and they, they took a, a bus back to Long Beach from there. Oh, yeah. Right, hold on. I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to send Todd a picture of her. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. I, I, she's definitely bigger in one area because she's got a very – she got one of those boob jobs or I just don't get it. Like, I mean, it, Don't it's most so people big. only fans, they do like kind of nudity or amateur It could be anything you want. Thing. It could be lingerie. It could be nudity. Well, I assume that's what she – well, I assume she's something in the sensual, even if it's super soft core, you know? Oh, but they're so big. To me, it's just I, I ridiculous. It. Yeah, you should tell her I say, what's up? <laughs> uh, hold on. I'm going to send a picture to Todd. Something tells me she never got a column, should we? But anyway, don't tell her that. I mean, I'm not that she doesn't know already, but I don't want to imply anything. Okay, hold on. Oh, wait, Todd, when you drove me and those two girls back, Stephanie had to drive back on her own, right? Well, yeah, and I, I, I was – that's why you guys all came with me. She came up – you and those two girls came up with her, but after the, the way she behaved, uh, nobody wanted anything to do with her because she was crazy. So Stephanie I, was, just, was just erratic and crazy. And, and not only that, she, I don't think she was willing to drive them back. So, like, the, the whole – I either just had to ditch them there – like I was gonna drive you back no matter what, even if Stephanie was gonna do it. But, but uh, like I didn't want those girls to be like. No, I, I felt bad for them. I, I, I didn't want to strand them. They didn't have any money. It's I, I not didn't. Like they had the money to go get a greyhound. I, I didn't want to strand them there. They were broke and they were. Uh, they, they just wanted to get back home, and uh, I, I didn't want to strand them there. They seemed nice, so I said, okay, you know, it's not that much trouble for you. Yeah, the thing I don't understand about that is why do they. Go to Vegas and they had no money to really get there. Get they had some they had some inaccurate view of Vegas that they were going to go there and, and like win money in the casino with very little to start with. Listen, you're talking about but, girls. But they they don't know how to gamble. Listen, they just hey, look- in the last in the last five years, I've personally have met three people from Todd's website that came out here with less than two hundred dollars in cash and no credit card and planned on staying for like multi like for four or five days. Less than two hundred in cash and no credit card. I've, this is from Todd's website, and I've met these people. So people do have very diluted view, view, uh, views of. I mean, I, I one guy from Todd's website came and he slept in his shed in downtown. <laughs> you got to have a cushion. You got to have a foundation. There's no cushion in that shed. A lot. A lot of people come to Vegas without a real plan or without really thinking why they're doing it. They just go. Mm, that just. Seems like where I want to go. And then they go, by the way, we don't have to edit this now. 
Eric Benzamokin has just given me permission on text. For some reason, he's awake now, too, to say that, Listen, yes. Is that the lawyer that's representing you? Yes, that he has COVID-19. He's a friend of the family. He has, he has COVID-19, and he... he Can you uh, ask him a quick question? Can you ask him a quick question, the lawyer? I, I don't want to bother ask him. This, I'm, going to, I'm going to say the question, and it's the one-word answer. Is he more of a Brennan or a Scalia? <laughs> Is he more of a Brennan or a Scalia? I'm going to say Brennan. Yeah, you're, you're correct. I hope so. No, he Scalia is. He's, he's, a, no, he's on the left. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't agree politically. But but he's a very nice guy. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I like him a lot. That's kind of cute. He's got this. He's got this COVID, and he's listening to the front. He is. Show. No, he he actually just texted Brennan. He actually he he answered you, Ken. Yay! Yeah. Brennan's my. Second favorite justice for the right, behind listen, back, uh, probably William to, Douglas. William Douglas back. said, "Fuck stare decisis." If I'm going to do something to help the people, I'm going to do something to help. Listen, the, I love William Douglas. Okay, that, that's, Sorry, getting, back, getting back to big breasts. Todd, I <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, you yeah, sent yeah. it to me. Okay, I'm going to take a look here, and you can send it to Ken too, so we can see what she looks like now. That's a recent photo. Okay, but well, with oh wow. I thought that girl was long gone from the ethers, man. I, well, okay, let, let me, let me, I'm going to give you an immediate criticism. Also, hold on, hold on. And also, just so you know, there's no chance in hell that, I'm not saying, you know, but you could be honest in how you describe her. She doesn't listen. She doesn't know the name of the, even of the website. So you could talk freely. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm not saying be mean, but you know, she, she's never going to listen. So you would never hurt her feelings. So what do you think of those pictures I sent? Well, okay, I, I'm going to give, uh, I, and I also, hold on, hold on. One more disclaimer. I've not right had now. Any, I've had no sexual relationship with her. We're purely friends. Okay. He, he did I've not. never sent her money. It's, I'm just telling you. So it's, it's just a plutonic thing. Okay. So first of all, I have an immediate, uh, criticism. Not about how she looks, about the, the pictures themselves. I don't believe them. I think that these are so highly filtered that these don't really look. What is that background noise? Yeah. What is that back? What's going on here? That's terrible. I'm sorry. terrible. Let me fix it. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. What, what was it? What is? That's awful okay, radio. Better now. <laughs> it is awful radio. Okay. okay. So what is your meeting? Okay. So my well, yeah, of course everyone uses filters. No, no. But the problem filters. is the filters have gotten so crazy. If if I were dating now, I would be just going nuts because women my age especially do it. But but this woman's obviously not Don't near my age. Don't your age. No, Simple. you're not. You're you're not understanding what I'm saying. Women use filters on these dating sites. To such a that's Instagram. That's Instagram. Uh, well, no, even on and, and Instagram and like all over the place. Even like, even like, like you know the 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 uh, you know Hinge, Bumble, Tinder, the yeah. dating sites. Well, no, you know? but but and Instagram too. Okay, Brandon's right. What I'm saying here is the filters have gotten so crazy that it's gotten to the point where a lot of them look nothing like the what the filtered pictures show. So you can see a girl who looks like really hot, and then you see the reality, and there's a tremendous difference. A tremendous difference to where you might as well be looking at a picture of somebody else. And and what's even worse are on these dating sites uh, where women in their forties are using heavy filters, and and they look thir- they look thirty, and you go, wow, this woman looks incredible for forty five. And then you see the real picture, you go, oh, okay, that that, that yeah, she looks forty five. Now so, Todd said Todd said guys don't do filters; they just use old pictures. Yeah, yeah, guys don't aren't big on the filters. Guys are still kind of old fashioned. They just they just post up the old pictures, but. Uh, <laughs> The the women are so the way, bad with the filters. Look like an old picture. I've lost over thirty pounds. Go on. <laughs> thirty pounds since when? In the last few months, I went from like two forty. Last time I weighed myself was two ten, but I'm sure I've lost weight. No, I'm sure you lost a lot of weight from this from this uh, COVID here. 
But uh, I, I might even be under two hundred. You could I mean, be. Really You're, now it may not stick. A lot of times, you, what you lose from this is water weight, and it comes right back. But uh, no, it's good. You've lost weight. Well, I've been trying to lose weight, so no, I, it good. might actually stick. That, that's good. But what I was going to say here is, so these pictures are super heavily filtered to where, I, like, I, I even feel weird commenting on them. And she she looks a lot better in these pictures than what I remember eight years ago. But I don't but believe so. They're filtered. They're but they're filtered. so they're so filtered. Yeah, I I, I can't. Uh, I, I want to see the real her. I, I want to, and I don't remember like really well what she looked like, but I, I, I would still like to see the uh, the non. So weird. Version. They went down and looked at the slot machines at the Paris. And they didn't. They spent like a couple, like a dollar. No, I think they like, ran like twenty dollars through and lost it, and that was that. I think it was like that. It was like this is why they went all the way here. Is like they didn't know what they were doing. Oh. You know. Well, they were twenty-one. They'd never been here before. They, you know, they. People have weird, idealistic, you know, things, thoughts of how Vegas really is versus, you know. I mean, listen, I've seen people come that I've brought here, and they've lost $100 playing blackjack, and they've tried to go to, like, a, a pit boss and get, you know, a competent steakhouse. <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't work that way. Like, this isn't... No, uh, they're idiots! This isn't... Uh, what's the show? What's that movie with Vince Vaughn and, uh, and Fabrio? Oh, my God. What's that? that? The casino movie. Their famous movie. Um, uh, swingers, swingers, yeah, right, right. Remember, it's not really you know, a Vegas movie that was in L.A. Well, I know, I know, but it had. I like <laughs> the Vegas scenes, which are actually shot in Reno, believe it or not. But um, yeah. Oh, so, really? but yeah, so yeah, so we're friends, and you know, she. I don't necessarily agree with her lifestyle. Like, you know, she. I don't know. She's one of these people. I mean, I mean politics. Let aside, me guess. All that, she smokes a lot of pot. Is she a pothead? She smokes a lot of pot. Um, oh God. But she's one of these individuals that think that the government should be supporting her more than they are. Oh. <laughs> Meaning, like, financially. Like, you know, well, she struggles. Like, she's, you know... And I'm I on get the it. left, like she's, so I'm not going to really pursue that. She, well, I know. She's a single mom, and she doesn't... You know, I know there's not a father in, in her life, or, you know, or, or husband, or, you know, for the kids. But, you know, she's on, like, Medicaid for her and the kids. She gets food stamps, welfare, and that's fine and good if, if you need it, but she's been on it for eight years now. I think it's commendable that you still so, talk to her and that you didn't just abandon her like, like, a, like a, you know. Yeah, I had no idea yeah. about this. This is the first time hearing it, Brandon. No, I had no idea. Secret. I just never, I've never thought of it till, to, you know, until now. But Todd, you anyhow, didn't know he was still in touch with her? No, I had no idea. But we don't talk I thought politics. this girl was just totally gone. No, we don't talk politics. It's more just like what's well, going on in Long Beach. What's, what's no, going on in Long Beach? It's more just like you know, you know, we talk about cultural stuff, or you know, you know, we know. Oh yeah, like 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 pop culture. I can do that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so can dumb more... down a conversation like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, sure, but yeah. So you know, like I said, we've been talking all this time. I mean, maybe we've gone a few months and eight years without ever communicating. It's kind of yeah, it is kind of odd. Oh wow, you should tell you should tell her that you spoke to me. I. I'd really love to. I'd like to maybe. Well, ha- I would actually maybe will, go out to Long Beach and and hang out with her if she can get a babysitter. Well, you know, you know the truth. The truth that you can tell her this: you can say that that Ken has COVID, so that when he's better, she won't be able to catch it from him. Yeah. Well, so listen, worry if I'm not Ken, wearing a mask. Well, I'll wear it if Ken, I legally have to. Ken, yeah. remind remind Todd to email me your email, and I will put I'll put her in touch with you because you know she doesn't mention it all the time, but. She's mentioned you in the past. Yeah, but but, but just because you, you do are. that, I don't want. But, but 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 still, stay in touch with her yourself. She really, maybe <laughs> well, she just needs like not, someone who's like a casual friend. 
I'm not handing her off to you. I will stay in touch. Okay, with good, you. good, good. She's my friend. Big it's been eight years. Okay, cool. Eight years. You know? Yeah. Sure. So well, it doesn't matter. She doesn't have a college degree. You can still talk to her. About I don't care about that. Topic. No, she doesn't. She doesn't even have a high school degree, probably. But I, I don't care about that. I'm oh not God, you got to take the GED then. Okay, go on. I, I don't think OnlyFans requires a GED. I think you can get by with. By the way, it. this thing is for the lawyer that Todd knows. Uh, former uh, Bush Attorney General William Thornburg. He never had a bachelor's degree. He's act- no, no. Let me start over. He had a bachelor's degree. He never went to law school. He just took the bar and passed. That's very rare, but. Technically, you don't have to go to a law school. If you can somehow pass the bar on your own, you know. I didn't know that. I didn't know you could actually be yeah, a lawyer but, without but the, uh, the, yeah, law school. The Richard Todd. Thornburg was an attorney general under – he's also a former Pennsylvania governor, too. He never got a law degree. He just took the bar and passed. Wow. The question to Todd, though, and maybe you said it and I didn't hear you, do you think her breasts are too big? Um, let me take a look. Let me go back and take a look at this picture. Well, she's here. trying to make money on the OnlyFans thing, you know. Um, well, I know, but they, they got in this, in, I, I can only see in one of the two pictures. I, I can only see in one of the two pictures, but I would say no here. This in this picture, I see. I don't think they're too big, but maybe in okay. a different picture, I would think so. I don't know. Right. So she probably hasn't talked to that black girl in like eight years. Not, like, no, they're not. Friends. But they weren't friends. So that makes sense. Yeah. By the way, did you all see that Donald Trump Jr. got this uh, COVID now? Yes, I saw. Yeah, that. and so did and so did so did Florida Senator Rick Scott. I want to add, yeah, there's sorry. more Republican senators that have had COVID that have acknowledged that Biden's the president-elect. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> I just want to add that. I'm sorry. Well, I've acknowledged it, Ken. Yeah, you've, I, I, I don't know if you... Well, well I, I will say, though, the Republicans did pick up about a dozen House seats so far in the Senate. I think the Democrats will pick up the Senate, but I think they're going to win both the Georgia seats. But, Brandon, you don't follow politics at all, right? I know he follows it. Uh, by, by the way, I, I, I just got a, I got a message from from Eric Benzamok and the attorney, and he said as far as the uh, being able to take the bar without going to law school, he said that's a Texas rule, but in California, you can do it if you intern under an attorney for five years. So, like, I couldn't even if I had the ability to pass the bar, I couldn't become a lawyer just by passing it uh, because I haven't you don't been inter- to take the bar because in that movie Catch Me If You Can, which is a true story, the character. Actually, did study for the bar for two weeks and passed it. That part was. Wow. The, but that was. That, that, but the thing that that story took place in the '60s. A lot has changed since the '60s. Yeah, I know. I know. Just you know, I, I never saw that movie, but he did. Re- but the real guy really did pass the bar after Frank Abagnale. Yeah, his name's Frank Abagnale. He's still alive. Yeah, the real. Oh, he's really? He's a security consultant. Yeah, Frank Abagnale. Oh, oh wow! I didn't know that. Yeah, maybe he's friends of Jordan Belford. Maybe he is. <laughs> Well, by the way, by the way, and speaking of Vegas, there's a couple of Vegas channels on YouTube I watch. I like that channel, Jacob's Life in Vegas. Have you ever seen that? I've never heard of it. The problem you is some of these, I, 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 tr- I try to watch some of these occasionally, and they're stupid. I can't get through them. There's Jacob's Life in Vegas, and there's another one I like called Not Leaving Las Vegas. Have okay, listen. That channel? Listen. Oh, I have, listen. Did you all know? No, it's okay. I started, I tried to watch one episode of the show. Jeannie tells me there's this reality show, okay, that's still being filmed now. And it's in the, uh, the, the Cromwell, which has been closed. So apparently Caesars needed some income. So they sold the rights to, I think it's CBS or it's one of the big networks. 
And they've been, listen, they've been keeping these people quarantined inside the Cromwell for eight months now, since like April. What's you guys the reality show about? It's about like, it's a love thing, you know, like Bachelor. I don't know, the women and men, and they, they, they're dating and they're not well, it's dating. It's a dating show. It's like a, yeah, it, I mean, but I think it also has, you know, other aspects of people being together in quarantine and, you know. Also, it's like Big Brother. I, I yeah, I guess. I, let me see what the name of it is. Hold on. So, so what? I well, tried Cromwell watching it. And it was something else. Was the Cromwell Imperial Palace before? No, uh, Barbary Coast. Yeah, it's Barbary Coast. Yeah. Oh, Bill's Barbary Game Coast. All temporarily. Okay. Hold on. He's, I think it used wrong. to be considered a locals' hotel, and now it's not a local. It kind hotel. of, but it, it it was very center strip, though. It's it's right across from Caesars. Yeah. Okay. It's called it's called Love Island, and it's still it's still being filmed there. And they have a cast and a crew wow. that have been in the Cromwell quarantined and secluded from the world since the end of April. That's and crazy. That's it is wild. crazy. So the whole time, like, Todd, I'm sure you thought Cromwell was just closed. Like, no one's in there. Nothing's going on. They've been filming a reality show in there. Yeah, you told me a few yeah. months ago about this. And I, oh, I, I, didn't, did. I, no, I didn't know before this, though. And then I looked it up, and it turned out that it was originally supposed to be on an island. And then because of COVID, they couldn't do it. So they changed it to being on a, at the Cromwell, where, where everyone's a, just uh, quarantined in there. Yeah, it's very strange. So you said you tried to watch it, and it was fail? I mean, you know what? I, I have tried because of mainly girlfriends in my life that have said, you please watch this with me or – and I can't get into any of these kind of reality shows where it's, you know, you know what I mean? It's, oh, Brad doesn't like me. And it's that kind of thing, you know, where it's just pretty women and good looking guys. And, you know, they're supposed no to. No substance. Yeah, there's no substance, right? Well, not so only I'm that, it's, 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 no it's also I'm not, wor- it's not authentic either. It's like a, a very, yeah. a, there's so much contrived. Yeah, I can't get into it either. So I'm the worst person. Is that the resort because, world coming along? Oh, you know what? It, I, I drove by it, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago. Um, I had to go somewhere, and it's, it's on the way. It looks fabulous. I mean, it looks gorgeous. It's funny, though. Well, I heard that other of... hotel's not going to open. What was it going to be called? The Lure? The Lure got delayed or something? I have no, I have no idea what you're talking about. The what lure. was that the hotel that they were supposed to open, and then they went bankrupt in the last recession, and... Then oh, you're talking about called... the Drew? Yeah, the Drew. The he's Drew. Talking, yeah, he's talking, he's talking about the Drew, yeah. The Fountain Blue. No, yeah, well, what's Drew. going on with the Drew? Is that still being built? What? Still being built, and ironically enough, uh, one, probably the most famous gaming CEO slash poker player of all time left his longtime job at MGM Mirage to take the same job with... Well, Drew maybe slash. there, there was, there was. He is taking that job, but there's rumors that he was going to be forced out because of some issue that was going on at MGM, and that I heard the Drew might never open. I heard they're really there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that's just totally stalling. But, 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 but Resorts World is coming along, like that's moving along. But the Drew is not. That Resort World I, is going to be right on par, if not better. Then Bellagio and Wynn and Ari. It's going to be that kind of place. It's yeah, going to be a high oh, end. wow. It's going to be a high end. Uh, five you know, star, five diamond. It, yes, yes, it will. And, and I think I think it pro- provided that Vegas doesn't get totally ruined by this uh, pandemic. Well, that, well, you heard that Sheldon Adelson might be selling the Palazzo, the 
Yes, we, and the, yeah, we, we've, yeah, we've we've talked about that. What I was going to say is, I, I think Resorts World is one that's not going to be a fail. Provide like in normal times, it totally wouldn't be a fail. It would be it would definitely be a major player in Vegas and uh, and no, and as, just, long, as, as long as as long as Resort as long as the high end Asian you know gambler, the baccarat player, eventually makes its way back to Vegas, it will be it will, it will be amazing because that's a kind of you know that's a kind of revenue and, and players that they're going after it's i mean it's an asian themed because you know what i mean it, it, yeah it's it's kind of like a casino like if you were you know if you step foot in macau i kind of imagine it'd be similar to what what you would see well and they and have ken, they have others ken, too ken, they're they're, they're the ganton group ken ken the ken what are you saying ken no. ken what? what resort worlds is paying china six million a year i think it was for five years was the lease to bring in a baby panda they're gonna have a panda on display here in, oh in, wow! Thirty in, million dollars for one goddamn panda? It's six million or five million for six years. Wow. Six million for five years. Whatever it is, God, I hope they a, treat it well. A baby panda in a, you know in a you know an environment you know I don't know what you'd even call it but, you know sanctuary whatever in the hotel that I'm pandas sure I, don't stay babies they grow up. Well, I know that, but I'm saying it's going to be a baby when it's here, and I'm sure they didn't announce this, but I'm sure they're going to charge people. You know, twenty, thirty bucks a pop to see it. I, mean, I can't imagine. But look at a panda. Well, Shut you know, up. Ken, uh, his favorite bear is a polar bear. He loves polar bears. Shut up, Todd. Ken really loves polar bears. No, I don't love polar bears. I don't like Coca Cola. If if ever there's an opportunity to give Ken anything polar bear themed, make sure to do it. He's he's no, no, no. Please don't. Very, do very, please very don't. enamored with polar bears. It's not as much of an antichrist as a raisin, but it's still no thank you. <laughs> well, this is a surprise that we we had. Uh, both Eric Benzamokin is up, and uh, he's uh, presumably not healthy enough to appear on the radio. He said, uh, "He said fever, fever is oh no, it was, oh no, he did it. That was today. He said fever is less consistent and not really coughing anymore. Body aches are still really bad. Well, I think that's progress." I hope he's staying away from his wife and kids. He I is. I want them to get it. No, he is. He told me he is. And uh, yeah, it's it's too bad. He actually uh, told me he caught it in Vegas of all things because his dad lives in Vegas and he was uh, visiting his dad and uh, unfortunately. Oh, with some of the divorced family. Um. No, it's. Uh, Where's the mom? No, his 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 mother passed away. So. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. My 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 apologies. So of all places, even, even Mother it. Nature will do a Rule Twelve v Six once in a while. So from all places, he got it from Vegas. That huh? was a legal yeah. reference. Well, yeah, he got it. From Vegas. Does like, he have an idea how he got it here? Like, was he in a hotel? Was he in a restaurant? He, he in a restaurant with his dad, and uh, that's uh, Jesus. Unfortunately, how it happened. Yeah, that's what's. Uh, his dad Can you name the restaurant? Can you name the restaurant? I, I don't. I don't. I, I don't. I don't even know which restaurant. I. I he may not know either. Uh, see, I think he went to two did. or three. I, I don't think his father got it. He, I think he's still listening. He can tell us if his father got it. I don't. So I don't think. Know so. for sure that he got it there then. Um, because he, that was the only place he went to, other than just staying with his dad. So, hmm. it, it. I mean, it's probably his dad lives in Vegas. It probably was like you can figure out by the timing where you've been, and if it's only been one 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 type of place or one place, then it's pretty clear that's that. But uh, yeah, it sucks. It's unfortunate, and he's he's the same age as me. So I was thinking, okay, well, is his dad? And I'm going to ask him a question because I know his dad's Israeli. Is his dad Labor or Likud? Yeah, uh, you have to ask his dad that. 
Maybe he can. I don't know if he's listening right now. But he doesn't have to ask his dad now. He already knows. I'm actually Moretz, but Moretz is very fringy. That's (laughs) for the left of labor. You've never even been to Israel. You've never been to Israel. No, but I follow politics. You know, I was supposed to be in Israel in April of 2020. I was supposed to be in Indio in April 2020. Indio is not that exciting, but... But it's Coachella. I was supposed to be in Israel for the first time in 31 years, and uh, I ended up not going. It was the second time my Israel trip's been canceled for different reasons. So it, oh no! It, something's keeping me away from there. I've, I've only been there oh, once. Humanity. I've only been there once, and it was in '89. <laughs> so that's it's been really? a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's changed a lot since then, and I've changed a lot since then. So I would. Yeah, we we all have. I, I would like to see it again as an adult rather than a seventeen-year-old. But uh, yeah, that's how I feel about Hawaii. I want to go as an adult, and also back east. When was the last time you were in Hawaii? I was fourteen. That was the only time I was. Oh, in really? Hawaii. So you went to Hawaii before I did. I didn't go till I was twenty-seven. I but went I, to Oahu, Maui, and the Big Island. I didn't like the Big Island. I like. Oh, really? I really, no, I, I like Hawaii the Big Island. You just have to. Uh, you just have to know what Big to do. Big Island was boring to me. I just like the Wahoo and Maui. You, you need to Maui have a, the Big Island. Like you need to have a car for sure. And my parents had a car. We went and, and you need to go to the right places. And there's actually some uh, interesting beaches there too. I remember we saw like a volcano or some yeah. There is a volcano thing, or I, I remember that. You know, one of the best. Uh, Snorkeling I've ever done was on the Big Island of I've Hawaii. I've never done that. I did that at uh, it's off of the the Hapuna Prince and the which is next to the Mauna Kea there, and it, it was really good. It was it was it was a little shallow. That was the only problem, but at least when I did it. But there was tons of fish, very big variety, and most importantly, there were a lot of sea, giant sea turtles swimming with you there. I'd never swam with the giant sea turtles before, but. Uh, like a lot of them, I'm all over the place. Snorkeled. I don't like being in the water because I don't like getting cold. But it's warm water. Well, maybe I would do it. I'm just afraid of dying. Well, that's a... well you know what? Let me tell you all something. Can you all hear me? Yeah. So let me tell you all <laughs> yeah. something since everyone's kind of having their moment here. And I did not say this, you know, for any other reason. I just hadn't been on radio. So, okay, about a month ago, uh, maybe a little longer five weeks ago i have an aunt it's my dad's sister and she lives in south florida she lives on her own and up until recently she was you know in very good health she's almost 80 she's seven no 77 78 so about five weeks ago she ended up falling in her place and she broke she broke her femur and she lives alone and this is, no, this is pretty fucked up. And we call her a couple times a week, you know, every other day just to check in on her. And look, you know, she knows we live out here, obviously. She she likes living on her own. She's lived in South Florida for 70-something years. She doesn't want to move out here. You know, she's happy with her life. So it's not, but anyhow, because of that, you know, living on her own in her age, we have to check on her, you know, like every other day, just talk on the phone, even if it's brief. So we couldn't get a hold of her for two days, Okay. So finally, I, I'm talking to my dad about this. I'm like, you know what? You just have to call the police and do like a welfare check. Like, you know. Or, so anyhow, uh, we call and they send like the Miami-Dade fire rescue to her unit. 
and you know they're knocking on the door and they can hear her like screaming or moaning or whatever you know could and you know she's on the floor you know she broke her femur she was on the floor for about almost three days okay oh wow that's too bad so so they kick the door down and they get her and you know they diagnose that you know she has a broken bone they take her to uh aventura hospital you know nice hospital and they have to do surgery and put some pins in her uh, femur to secure it, maybe even like a metal bracket, whatever it is. So surgery is fine. There's no complications. And, you know, the doctors call us and they're like, listen, you know, relatively speaking, through with all she's been through and everything else, you know, her age and stuff, she's in good health. Like she has no other problems. Like you know, her lungs are clear and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like all the pre-op work that they did, blood work and everything showed that she was fine. So... Anyhow, they uh, end up uh, releasing her or transferring her from the hospital to a rehab facility because she can't walk. Like, you know, now she needs to build back strength up in, in her leg and all that. So she's doing good. Yeah, rehabilitation, you know. Yeah, like so she, yeah right. So she's doing physical good. Physical therapy. And, right, exactly. So she can't walk. She's in physical therapy now. She's out of the hospital, but, you know, in a rehab place. What do you think happens? She catches COVID. And oh God! Now, now she has pneumonia, and she's basically fighting for her life. Um, and the next like oh. four or five days are going to be, you know, critical. She's been off and on a ventilator. She's getting oxygen twenty four hours, but the bad part is she has pneumonia. She would have totally recovered if it wasn't for that. Yeah, yeah, oh, she was. It was just a broken femur. Jeez, I mean, you know, that's, that's which horrible. is bad for like, which is bad, of course, for someone that age. But just surgery was successful. Like, and listen, the yeah. thing that's fucked up is. You know, she's 77 years old. That was the first time she'd ever even been put under in her life. She'd never had any kind of surgery in 77 years, you know, other than maybe like a dental thing. But, you know, never a broken bone, never an operation. Wow. And she made it through that. Like, you know, she made it through a surgery, and they said she was fine. And, and now the, the, this COVID is completely... So, so it's believed you know, that she got it at the rehab? She a thousand percent got it to rehab because she was tested before, and she didn't she didn't come down with it until about ten days after she was there. And there's and there's been multiple outbreaks at the rehab. Place. Oh wow, ten days! It's a surprise because I was just saying earlier in the show, um, yeah. it's it's it, most of them show up after a week. Yeah, like within no, a week. That it. is, she a hundred percent got it there, not at the hospital. Yep. What a terrible yep. situation. Well, you know what? what? Okay, so this is what happened. We got a call about I don't know two weeks ago, and. I, you know, I guess they're really paranoid about getting sued because they're calling us now with everything. But they called us two weeks ago and they said that uh, her roommate or, you know, someone in her room, like, you know how, I guess, in this place, there's like a, a nearby bed. Right, right. There's a nearby bed with a curtain down the center to give her roommate had tested positive. They moved the roommate out of the room and, you know, isolated her. And my aunt was tested and she was negative. And then a few days later, she tested positive. Uh, so yeah. obviously from that. Yes, obviously from that. So um, she can't even talk. Like, you know, she tries to be on the phone with us, but she just can't talk. Like, her words are just, like, grunts. Like, she just can't. Like, I don't know if it's her vocal cords or what it may be. But she can hear us. Like, she's coherent. Like, she can listen to our voice, and it calms her. But, you know, and the thing that's fucked up is even if my dad wanted to go down there now to comfort her, you know, which he he would. He can't even visit her. So there's no point in him going. I won't let him go. Yeah, I like to do that. Uh, my dad is two years younger than her, 75. Okay. And he doesn't want to get this thing, so he's been doing real good. I mean, for, you know, since March, he barely goes out as well. So anyhow, it's fucked up. It's, you know, it's his only sister. You know, it's his parents, obviously, are deceased. 
And it's you know it's a yeah. trying time. Yeah, it's really too bad. Sorry, sorry to hear that. Yeah, she's not she's not married or anything. She's like widowed or divorced. Yeah, or... yeah, she's widowed. Yeah, she's alone. Okay, but again, it's not like she's been abandoned. Like she just you know has always lived there, and she loves you know she has her friends. They play bing. You know what I mean? She she has her little circle there. Like and she just yeah, loves South Florida. Are, yeah, she doesn't. You know, she don't want to come out. Yeah, right. Exactly. She don't want to ever move out here. She's been out here. You know, she comes once a year to visit and, you know, plays the slots and, you know, enjoys the restaurants. But anyhow, so hopefully uh, I'll have some good news. I mean, now is probably the most critical time because of that pneumonia. I mean, that's, that's really yeah, unfortunately, yeah, right. unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately that's, that's how uh, a yeah, number of, a number of people, yeah, that's from yeah, pneumonia. So, yeah, yeah I, 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 I really hope I this. Never had, I, I caught it much younger, so I, I'm not But the point I'm making it, is but... it's. It's ironic she goes in there with a broken leg, and that's something that, you know, people that age don't recover from all that well to begin with, massive surgery, and she recovers from all that. Like, she was on the road to being great, and now this thing, you know, she picks up, you know, in a in a rehab facility, and it could be the end of her. So. That sucks. Yeah. But we're staying positive. But, I mean, well, you know, she's fighting. To be determined. To be well, well it, what, what, the pro- some of the problem is here that uh, the testing – not only are there false negatives, but uh, also one can test uh, negative because they they just caught it recently, and, uh, and and so they you can be tested if you just caught it that same day or the day before you're going to test negative, and then you know two days later you're you're going to start being contagious, so that may be what happened there that her roommate when they came when she came in was uh, tested negative and either the test was false negative or she had just caught it. So it didn't show up yet. So there's a, unfortunately, like the testing, it, it can slip through. It can slip through in a lot of ways, and it's that's unfortunate. So it's really too bad that she got it that way. And the, of all things, when the, she you know, breaking, of course, breaking anything at that age is is not good. And there's people who don't well, even survive you know, that. Uh, the old, the the second oldest U.S. senator who's 87, uh, Charles Grassley of. Iowa, he has it, and so does the oldest member of the House, Donald Young of Alaska. He's been in Congress since '73. He has it, so that's like well, oh, both almost ninety. You know, that's why I kind of say, you know, said the story because for people out there that you know that aren't really uh, giving this much credence or thinking it's serious, you know, and it might not be for you, but for people that are older, let me tell you, like, although she can't talk. You can just tell she's completely miserable. Like, she probably would choose death now if given the option. I mean, she can't walk. She can't, you know, she can't breathe. You know, she can't eat. I mean, it's been like this for two weeks. She's miserable. Like, she would want, you know, I know she, I mean, I know it's sad to say this. You know, that's my aunt. I love her, but I know she wants her life just to end now, you know, because it's really bad, you know, what she's gone through. And it's been like, you know, it's been 10, 12 days now. So just for people that are listening, like, listen, you know, this is my aunt. Like, you know, this is what can happen. So just this is why you don't want to infect your parents or, you know, people or you anybody. care about that or, or, yeah, or anybody, because this is what could happen. I'm seeing it firsthand. You know, none of my well, other... Well, it's all over the any... country spreading, sure. even in the Dakotas and yeah. Wyoming. I don't... I mean, even these little states, it's, it's just spreading, read, you know? Yeah, I read today, the, it's funny you said the Dakotas, I read today the, the state with the worst... Um, backlog or whatever term you want to use in terms of hospitals at almost max capacity is North Dakota. Well, that's because they North have Dakota. the high, they have the highest uh, per yeah. capita caseload right now. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's my point. Just you know, for those that really don't think like I don't have any other real, real close friends or no one in my family had had it. She's the you know first and hopefully only, God forbid, not going person to get it. 
but it's the first one that's truly affected me. And I'm just I'm every day talking to her or talking to her nurse, you know, hearing her updates. And it's bad. Like it's, it, 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 you know, it's really, really bad. She's not getting better. They're doing everything they can, you know, they say, but she's not getting better. She's kind of not getting worse, but she's really just been the, the status she has now on oxygen. It's a lousy status quo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so, she has to get, well, hopefully she'll get better, but, I mean. You know, that's the thing. I don't yeah. even know, like, you know, I talked to a nurse this morning, and I'm like, it's been, you know, almost two weeks, like, and she's like, with older people, it can be a lot longer. Like, you know, meaning she can still test positive for a month. Whereas, like, you know, which is kind of strange. Like, remember Donald Trump? He was in and out in four days, and, you know, he's roughly well, the same age as her. Well, special medicine for him, you know, that mafia right. medicine they gave him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm still so, wondering if eventually we're going to get that to the general public and go, yeah, oh, yeah, this is what we gave Trump, and it works well. Like, maybe we're not just well, free, man. They also need that goddamn vaccine out, which is... Hey, I think Ken, there's several vaccines that are... Yeah. Um, if, if you don't want to say, you don't have to. And forgive me if it was even said, but Todd had posted about your condition on Poker Fraud Alert, and he had people guessing how you contacted it, but I don't remember it. Well, I, I, I didn't reveal it for a certain reason. And Okay. Uh, well, so. Ken, is it? can you tell us how you got it? I visited a location. I visited a location... Where three people had it, and and I and none of them knew at the time, obviously. And you weren't and you weren't wearing a mask. No. Okay. Oh, I thought you so were wearing you, a mask. He said I got confused by. It. I thought I thought you were wearing a mask and felt like it was probably okay. Why did you want this? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I normally wear a mask, but I I felt okay because nobody in this in this inside setting was wearing a mask. Oh, okay, so so just, that that part I didn't know. But I let down my guard. Why did you want to talk about? I, I'll, I'll, I'll explain I later. There, there's like there's that. a reason for it. As a, the reason why he doesn't want me saying it, so it's I'm not literally say a it. legal reason. I can't. Oh, say. okay. All right, no problem. So it's now... one status versus another status. That's... Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you guys something. I'll start with Todd. Uh, well, actually, I'll start with Ken. Ken, what are you doing as of right now on Thursday for Thanksgiving? Do you have any plans? Uh, no. I I'm not really close with my immediate family. Um, back in the day, I would usually just go to a buffet or something, or before that, I would go to that free thing they did at the Laugh Factory on the Sunset Strip, but, oh, I definitely don't have plans this year. I want to, I just want to knock out what I have. Maybe I'll get tested early next week if my symptoms are gone, and I want to see if I have the antibody, but I don't have Thanksgiving plans. Um, maybe I'll watch a, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving in my head or something. <laughs> That's funny. All right, what about you, Todd? Here, I'm, I'm gonna th- I'm, I'm, before I do, I'm gonna throw a caller on the air. Then I'll answer this. Right. Let, let's see who this caller is. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Drew. You guys were talking about COVID, right? Yes. Who, who's this? Um, I posted Drawing Dead on the forum. Sometime. Oh, Drawing Dead. Okay. Oh, I know who you are. Okay. Hey, this is Drexel. How you doing, Drawing Dead? Hey, how you doing, Drexel? Um, I had COVID early on, like I posted. And it wasn't anything. I pretty much just sat around, got drunk, played Call of Duty. My stepdaughter, my kid, everybody I know in Wisconsin has it right now. Nobody's sick. Weird. It's that... so weird. Now, now how, yeah. how, 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 mildly sick. How, how, how old, drawing dead, how old are you? I'm 34. Okay, well, well that, that explains of, it. <laughs> what, part of, what part of Wisconsin are you from? Um, south of Milwaukee. Okay, cool. I have, uh. Oh, you're from the 414. No, three one four. 
But he's not even. That's not. That's not, that's no, not even the area code. Four one four is Milwaukee. No, four one four is Milwaukee. Oh, four one four is Milwaukee. Oh, yeah, you're I have, right. Uh, I have some family that actually live. Three one four St. Louis. Go on. I I have some family that actually live in like the Nina Appleton area. So. Okay. okay. Yeah. No. Right where that. Yeah. Me and my wife run five. So have you time. gotten this? Have you gotten it yet, or yeah. you you haven't gotten? No, he said he got it. Yeah, he, 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 it. He said, he said it barely affected it. it barely oh, affected him. He said he was yeah. drinking and he drank and played Call oh. of Duty and yeah. But wow. but you're you're 34. That's the big difference. The 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 age you are and the age we are. It's it's a very large difference as far as COVID is concerned. Ten years is it's yeah. more than ten years. Well, for for I me, it's 14 years. And uh, I'm 50. I'm I'm 50. It's I'm I, I, 50 in COVID is way worse than mid 30s. Yeah. There's no comparison. I'll agree with that, but. I know probably 10 or 11 guys that have gotten it in their 50s, and only one really got sick, but he also has, like, breathing issues. Like oh, he has crazy listening conditions. So he was in the hospital for, like, nine days. But if well, everybody I'm else, not like, that bad. I think from what yeah, I read, you guys, you guys can tell me if this is accurate, but I'm reading a lot of how it depends what kind of strain you got that, that you know, how – symptomatic or asymptomatic you become yes there a, yes there are there are different of, yes there are different strains and of, yeah there are some worse versions of well, it my and, main symptom is i was coughing a lot i was tired and lethargic you know but i've always been able to breathe i haven't had to go to the emergency room or you know i just been like trying to sleep as much as possible and just knock it out i don't drink or yeah. anything and they call of duty's too uh conservative for me but <laughs> yeah um <laughs> hey drawing dead well, when you're stuck in the house Everything closed. There's nothing to do. <laughs> hey, drawing. Dead, I, watch, I watch a lot of YouTube. I watch a lot of. I, I have very narrow interests, but there's a lot of what I like. I can find. So. Drawing dead. What's the political landscape like where you are? Meaning, are, are people understanding about you know the face masks and just the the government intervention, or are people more outraged and they want to ignore it and and rebel against it? How are people taking just the government interaction where you live and around where you live? Everyone is unbelievably upset about it. Like, they don't want face masks. They don't want to deal with it. Everybody understands it. But as more and more people, like I said, almost everybody I know has had it. And nobody's really gotten sick. All they complain of is fatigue. But so it's kind of like, how do you be scared of something like that? But at the same time, you have to recognize that it is a danger for everybody who is old. If you give it to your parents or grandparents, they're really in major danger like older older yeah, people you know but like i got a, a little like bar with some food close to the house i go in there there's tons of old people in there they don't care they're not wearing masks like honestly okay. once you walk in the places once you take it off no like, wisconsin's a very no divided place. state as we saw in the election but i don't want to go there <laughs> yeah well what is okay what, what are your feelings on it uh drawing dead I mean, do you think people should just? Do you think people should just be able to take their chances and not be forced to wear masks, or you know, do you think? I think that... people should wear masks in public. I mean, come on, it's like how hard is it to wear a fucking mask? Sorry, you know. Yeah. Man, it's I don't that know because personal. It's a personal liberty thing, and then it's like you are like doing something to keep other people safe if you don't know you have COVID. But the mask affects so, other people. And well, that's what he, that's, what, that's what he just said, though. He just he just said that. But yeah, that's I agree with that. that. That's why it's not a you can't. It's not strictly a libertarian personal liberty thing when it affects you know third parties. That's 
you know, that that's the conundrum. I'm not sure if you heard earlier drawing dead on, on, on the show I, when I was doing the segment about it, but my concern, and this is not really being expressed anywhere from what I can see, but I think it's it's something people should think about. My concern was that the mask for many people creates a false sense of security and that uh, people go out believing, since I've got this on, I'm probably not going to get COVID, so I don't have to worry that much. And and I think that uh, that could actually be causing more cases where even if it's helping people not, not get it as much, that uh, it's not helping people as much. Socially distance. Right, well, yeah, so I think there's too many people who think, well, I've got the mask on, I'm good now. And I think I think the media hasn't done a good job conveying that uh, the mask is, is only a minimal help to you. And that is mainly to stop spread to others, but even that they can give it to you if they're all wearing masks that you just, you really just need to socially distance and, and be careful and not take the mask as something that's going to keep you from getting COVID. And I think that that hasn't been communicated well to people and that that could be causing more cases. And, and you can look at places like Germany and Italy where there's mask mandates and they've got it very bad over there. And I think it might be, that could be part of the, the reason. Mask? Is you gotta wear it properly. A lot of people, it only covers the mouth and not the nose. That's the problem too. If you wear a mask and you don't cover the nose, it doesn't do anything. You gotta cover the mouth and the nose, or you might, or or it's worthless. So I, I actually, I was just thinking about this, Joe. It's so funny you say that. I was just in the gym. I'm leaving the gym for my workout. Everybody's wiping down every piece of equipment they use, like freaking out, washing their hands, using hand sanitizer all the time. No one wipes down the actual plates of the weights. No one, like, there's all these little spots, like the handles on the treadmill that nobody's wiping down. And then they go up there and they touch them. And I, I personally think, like, the washing your hands and hand sanitizer thing and wipe every surface down is what really causes a false sense of security. But that, that, too. I mentioned that, that, I mentioned that, that earlier that in the show, to too. I mentioned earlier in the show, too, that since surfaces are not really the uh, the main form of transmission, in fact, may not even transmit it very much at all, that uh, all the cleaning that you see businesses doing is performative and actually not accomplishing anything other than making people feel safe when they really shouldn't feel safe because the real danger comes from other people breathing, other people talking, and it being spread the around through the, through, the, through the air conditioner and yeah. the heater. Isn't it the air drop from your spit when you're talking and stuff that spreads it? That, that's one of yeah yeah it's it's the air droplets from it's 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 a number of things it's it's the droplets from talking it's from coughing and sneezing it's from uh it, and also from being spread around through air conditioners and and heaters that circulate the air so they they can go a farther distance so it's all these things inside it, it it's a big problem and not really surfaces and I'm just afraid that uh, the masks give people this sense of security okay I've got this on I'm protected I can I can do things now. And and some, it, this is a case where it may actually be better for people to be more scared and more. If I, I think ideally people would wear the mask and socially distance as if they don't have it on, but unfortunately you don't see that, and, and the media doesn't do a good job conveying it because they're afraid to convey it. One because they want to make Trump look bad, and two because they 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 are, they are afraid the message is too complicated. Otherwise, they don't want to say, "Well, the mask doesn't well, help you that much." But much longer, so that sh- now we should stick to the science and data. But I, I don't think I think they're going to have the same message. I think it's going to be the same thing when Biden's the president. I think they're going to say, say the same thing: wear the mask, wear the mask, and say, "Hey, what's the harm in that?" Well, the harm is if people believe that protects them and, and they take more risks than they otherwise would. And by the and by the way, all, all the right wing people who are afraid of Biden, Biden says he's not going to shut down the economy, and he said that several times. <laughs> Ken is the Biden spokesman here. Biden is a Biden is a very pro 
business moderate. He's okay, not they, they sh- he should he should hire you. Can so. he should hire you to be so, a spokesman? Um, I've I've had a few people be asked to come into work and just wear their masks who are positive. Wow. Like, yeah, they're like, "Can you come in?" No. Okay, Why so, like, so I, let me. I, I can't. Why well, are you? Do you have symptoms? No. We'll come in anyways and just wear a mask. <laughs> oh, you're 100 percent right. So let me tell you. <laughs> let me I'm, tell I'm you this. Head. This is an interesting story. Trade. I don't think Trader Ruski would care that I'm relaying it. So Trader Ruski calls me last week, and I don't know who that is. Todd, do I know him? Just, oh, okay. just let him know. He's another host. Go, go on, Brandon. Okay, so okay, yeah, go he, on. He, he, yeah, he. He's a real nice guy. He's been on this show for years. Todd's met him. Anyhow, so Trader Ruski calls me last week and tells me that his dog needed to have a tooth pulled and, and some other minor stuff. And he had just, Trader Ruski had just moved to the area that he lives in. I think it's like the Santa Barbara area. Yeah, it is kind of, it's north of there, but yeah. Yeah, okay. So he goes to this vet. He's never been there before. He reads the reviews online. They're good. He goes inside and nobody including the vet the veterinarian the assistants the 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 uh, hostess or you know the, the none of the, no one is wearing a mask in this veterinarian office and he's blown away he doesn't understand he's like i mean what and i said to him did you ask him he's like i was just too shocked like so he goes in there and there no one's wearing masks the whole office staff they're just not wearing masks it's like they're all in you know together in cahoots like you know just with this anti-mask platform so he asked me, he's like, what should I do? They got good reviews, but, you know, I don't know if I feel comfortable. Like, you know what, just find another veterinarian. You know, if you can find one that has comparable reviews, go to another veterinarian. So he finds another veterinarian, and he goes there yesterday. And he, you know, he sends me this text, and he's like, LOL, talk about, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum. This new veterinarian that I went, they wouldn't even let me come in. No humans are allowed inside the vet. You, you know, you have everyone's wearing masks. You have to drop off the animal like through the secure door, and then you have to sit in your car or wait, you know, outside. And Benny, I was just more just stunned that there could be a business. And I'm like, you know, I don't know the laws in California, but I have to imagine you guys have a mandatory mask policy, right? Businesses can't operate there without. It's not optional, is it? Uh, it's mandatory in a business like that. Yeah. It, just, okay, so anyway, it blew me away that that was even going on, that a whole entire office would just be on the same page where no one was wearing masks. I mean, it, it's I, I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, they should. No, I know they that, should. but just the legality, like, okay, what I mean is required. Here, they, I, here, they literally have a patrol of people that go around to businesses in Vegas that have been reported to not be in compliance. And they've literally revoked business licenses. Well, I can I can tell you, yeah, I can tell you this. By the way, the governor of Nevada has COVID. Yeah, Sisolak. Yes, he he has COVID. So once and no and no no one's been able to state where he got it from. By the way, he once once a week there's an article. Once a week there's an article in the paper that lists, and it's usually like you know five, seven, maybe ten, the businesses that literally had their licenses either suspended or revoked. For non-compliance, and every week it's still there's still seven to ten that are popping up that people just would rather, out of principle, have their business shut down than comply with the law, which is just mind-boggling to me. That's crazy. Yeah, that, that is. And so, what happened? The reason this is happening is because certain localities have decided that they're not going to 
push very hard consequences upon those who uh, don't comply, where they instead, if they find out about it, they go there and they just kind of advise them to change behavior. And uh, only if they just repeatedly refuse to change will they take action, and sometimes even not then. So some some localities where they don't agree with the mask mandates, they've decided that even if it's the state law, that they just won't enforce it, and then there's really not much the state will do. Uh, in Las Vegas, it's different than that. And uh, so they – in California, I'm just telling you that's what happens. And around the country, there are other places that will – cities that will basically defy the state law – and there's not much the state can do about it. So, where they can't, well, well, the, the state technically could, but they'd have to uh, put the effort into doing it, and they don't feel like doing that. So that's that's basically probably what's happening with with the vet. They, they probably know that there's not strict enforcement where Trader Ruski lives. Yeah, I mean, Todd hasn't even been in a casino since February. I have not. That's since very early February. Is that the Super Bowl weekend early last February, time. and all the closing started in mid March. So. More than a month before, you said, I'm not, I'm not going to a casino. So. Well, that's why when there's a lot of revisionist history about what people knew about COVID, and it's true, there's a lot less known back in January and February than there is today. But uh, there, there's, a, there's this kind of revisionist history that some push that Trump knew everything about it and nobody else knew anything. And so um, because Trump didn't reveal everything he knew – that uh, that's why nobody else was suggesting the right things to do because only did, Trump had that you, information. And did you see? I'm sorry. Did you see Trump's outlandish statement today about the vaccine? No, I didn't. I didn't see that. He said today that if it wasn't for him, Americans would have to wait four more years for the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not four more years. Well, he did, he know he 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 exaggerated something that uh, was semi true that. He did, he, you know, that the Operation Warp Speed did actually help the uh, development of the vaccines. Now, I know that uh, Pfizer, uh, they didn't take the money, but uh, uh, other vaccines. What was the other company? There's two big ones. There's Pfizer and the other one. Well, the Moderna is the other one. But Pfizer, I don't know if Moderna took the money, but what, what, uh, what the government basically guaranteed these companies that were going to do the research on it that uh, they weren't going to lose money. So if they if they do the research, they can get paid up front to do the research, and if this never translates into profits for them, the company doesn't lose money, so they're not taking a risk. So if the if the vaccine doesn't work, or if a, if a different company's vaccine works out better, and, and, and that's the one that, that everyone uses, that these companies didn't just waste a shitload of money doing research for, for, for naught. So they basically, the government said, uh, we're, we're going to pay you to do research up front, Pfizer actually turned down that money, but Pfizer will take the money if their vaccine's used and it ends up being sold. They just didn't take the money for the. Why did Pfizer turn down the money? They just didn't want to be part of it. They, they didn't. They didn't want uh, the government to have a say in anything. They wanted to do it their own way. They wanted all done privately. But but uh, but the thing was that uh, so Trump did offer that, and that was helpful. That that it got a lot of companies on board that otherwise may have been hesitant. Now it's possible they may have anyway because of the huge payday. Whoever's vaccine gets used is going to have a gigantic payday. But but it did incentivize. It really did probably incentivize more to get involved because it was uh, it was a guaranteed free money to do this research. So now of, co- of course, money. if there had been one more stimulus package, I think Trump might have been reelected. Uh, I don't I don't think so. But yeah, it was. I think it would have made just. I think it, I, just, I think it would have gotten a couple more points in some of those close states if there was another stimulus package. And I think when I saw the last deal go down, I said there goes his reelection, and I was right. I knew that was going to be the factor. But. Yeah, well, 
Um, I, I will say here that, uh, so he did something with that. Obviously, the four or more years thing is not true, and Pfizer would have gotten there anyway because Pfizer decided to do the research on their own and uh, w- without that money. So that's that that's not true. So, you know, a lot of times Trump will treat, tweet stupid things like that. But what I, what I was saying before that is that uh, the, the problem is that uh, people have revised what people really knew back in January and February. There were a lot of things that weren't proven but were suspected. So, like, it, it wasn't proven in January and February that it was going through the air, and it, and the surfaces were thought to be much more of a culprit than they actually were by, by a wide margin. But it's not like everyone was sure that it didn't go through the air, and then, oh, my God, we found out it did, and Trump knew beforehand, and, oh, my God, how could he have hid this? I knew this. Uh, I always bring this up to people. I said, if this was something nobody knew except Trump, how did I know? How, how did I stop going to commerce on January 27th? How did I decide after my Super Bowl trip to Vegas in very early February that that would be my last casino I would enter? How come I knew this before all these uh, top-ranking Democrats? The, the truth was I didn't know for sure, but I knew enough about it to where I knew this was a risk and I knew it was a, a very high possibility that it was tra- it was commerce he stopped sooner because of all the chinese nationals that yes well, that right that was the first place i stopped because i knew it had a lot of chinese nationals i knew where that came from and then and then i decided about a week later that you know i shouldn't be in any casino so i stopped everything so that was uh that that was in early february and i was still going to supermarkets then but then in, in early april i decided to quit doing that uh, as well and so so the thing, but i'm talking about january and february i already suspected that something was going on in the air and that uh and that's not a hard thing to suspect because that happens a lot with with the flu and and with colds so it's not like everyone was blindsided by this and uh the, the truth was the airborne that, quality yeah the, the, the truth was that nobody knew what to do about this and uh there were a lot of things that could have been done differently but only in hindsight and you, you can't just look at uh Trump and, and and blame him for it. There, there was uh, the Democrats really didn't have any ideas at the time that would have been helpful. And had they Trump had, made a lot of mistakes, had they had any ideas that would have been helpful, then they would have vocalized them very loud and said, "Hey, Trump isn't doing this. We want to do this. Trump won't do it." They didn't say it. In fact, they spent most didn't, of didn't the U.S. Post Office want to send masks to everybody, like multiple masks and. Trump killed that program. I mean, that's stupid. Why would you kill that? You but know? people I mean, got mass N95 masks. They didn't have enough to send. They didn't have 330 million N95 masks. Well, they still don't. Even masks doesn't have to be an N95. I mean, but people got masks. Like it wasn't a thing where people would send masks. And I mean, that could have prevented a lot of. Over 250,000 people have died, you know. I mean, well, but I told you, I think that I have a feeling that the masking thing uh, may not be preventing deaths because it's making, for every de- person it saves, it's, it's also maybe killing additional people who are going out with a belief that it's protecting them. And, and, uh, and, and you know what, another thing that no one really talks about, I think another thing that stalled progress, obviously you know, a lot of it's patchworks is done at the states and the local versus the federal, but Trump has some weird animosity with Anthony Fauci. And I think he just doesn't like to listen to that guy. And he's like a big, you know, MD scientist. So it's like, he's just like whatever Fauci said, he wanted to do the opposite. And that really slowed progress. Just for but but, but, but see, I ask people that there isn't really what wasn't done. Like, what, what, what should we have done that wasn't done? I don't re- like uh, that would really have saved lives. I don't see it. I don't see what. Well, no, some of the Republicans like Trump because he, he, he shut down the, the, the visitors from China like Listen, January, it's all it's I all guess. fucking it's all politics. There's nothing. There, you know. Listen, it's how can the, you know? How can you know? Because 
it's just you could be a reasonable mind. You could have a reasonable mind and and just think about it. What I mean, stopping short of keeping the nation shut down longer than it initially was. There's nothing any other, and I am a thousand percent agreement with Todd. There's nothing any other, uh, you know, president administration could have done that would have vastly changed the what, where we are now. Impossible. Okay, it's just it, it. It there's no blueprint for this in the past. There's nothing to look well, at. Why does the U.S. <laughs> why does the I U.S. Mean, have way more deaths than any other country? It doesn't. No, that's not true. If you look at the if you look at the numbers, there's a lot of countries in Europe that are just as bad as the U.S. or very terrible. close to. I you mean like Italy and England? Yes, and and, and England and France and and, and now Germany. Italy and now Germany's getting and hit also, hard. You can look at you can look at a lot of these other countries like China and Italy. You know, for instance, they had much, much, much more strict lockdowns than we ever had. I mean, they had Maybe we everything have, at least well, for a little while, maybe yeah, like a you month. Know what? You say that on. now, but you say that now, but people were were you know protesting and going crazy when we had I our was, brief lockdown. Protests were the right wing. That no, but that came later. Right? In Feb- the thing is, in February there wasn't uh, in Jan- late January, early February there there was not uh, an appetite for lockdowns from the left either. You know, and, and the hold on, hold on, one more thing. And, and again, you know, I'm just trying to be as neutral as I can. And the irony was when Trump wanted to shut down the borders and not let anyone get here. Now it likely wouldn't have made that much of a difference because the virus was already here. We saw it. What, what initially it was already worried. here. That, yeah, that, it was that in Seattle. Right. But I'm saying when he wanted to lock down the borders and not let anyone in here, everybody was up in, in arrears. Oh, it's not American. It's not constitutional. I mean, it probably would have made a huge difference, but it certainly would have slowed it down. Like, I mean, it wouldn't have hurt. Yeah, it would. It, it, no, he's he's right that there was. There was and I was going to say that, that in February but the you thing can't that be, you can't put people in cages. In, 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 Fe, in February, the biggest thing the Democrats were doing was complaining about xenophobia. That that was that was the concern. Yeah, is, absolutely, is, is people are absolutely. being xenophobic. Well, the, actually, the biggest thing in February was the impeachment hearings. That's the no, thing. but that too. But I'm saying that the I'm talking about with COVID that the biggest thing they were doing the Democrats were complaining about xenophobia, and so it's revisionist history to say we wanted to follow the science, we wanted to attack this in February, and Trump wasn't letting us. That, that's not what happened. That's not the way. And you can go back and look there. That's not what happened. That's why I always ask people who think Trump handled this so badly at the beginning. I say, okay. Then you tell me what the Democrats wanted to do in February that Trump said, no, we're not doing. And then we had a bad result because of that. And, and you, you, you're, they're not going to be able to come up with it. And then I also say that – and they say, well, Trump knew more than the, than the Democrats did. I said, but how come I knew not to go to the casino on February 2nd? How come I knew? Am I, am I psychic? Like how, how come I knew this? And the Democrats are all we, – we just didn't know Trump had the information. They, they had enough information. They didn't, we didn't have what we have today. But, I mean, listen, Todd. You're Todd. You're a smart guy, but you don't need to, you know, toot your own horn here. Anyone that has a TV or in access could have read the nightly news back in February and saw this thing was on its way. I mean, it, it didn't take a rocket scientist. Yeah. I knew, you know, and I, I was telling everyone that would listen, it's going to get bad. You know, nobody paid attention. Then it started with what was it, Seattle, where the nursing home, yeah, was yeah, there. and then it just went like wildfire from there. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 anyone should have been able to know. Any educated person that follows. World events. I knew. You knew. And I the mean, truth I'm was, sure that Florida had it really sure bad parents, early too. I'm sure your parents knew. We, sure we were we were knew. we were destined to have this happen because of we just had no no person who was an adult during the last pandemic was alive when this started. 
Everybody who was an adult when the last one happened. Spanish flu. Yes, everybody who was alive and and an adult during then. No, I think I read an article that there was was one person still alive from it. No, but they weren't an adult then; they were a kid. Oh I'm no! Saying yeah, someone right. who was an adult was no single person was who was an adult during the last pandemic was alive uh, dur- when this one started. Yes, and the, correct. So there, there was that weird situation where two brothers died of, of one from ni- the nineteen twenty and one from this in twenty twenty. One one died as an infant and one died as, as like a hundred year old. But uh, I think they were twins. Actually, that was, that, that was really weird. But. It, it, we did, as you said, we didn't have a blueprint from this. There would have, you know, if, believe it or not, one of John Tyler's grandsons is still alive, and he was the tenth president. Go on. Uh, weird. This is not, that's crazy to think about it. Go on. So the, the the bottom line is that no one would have done this in any manner that would have prevented this from happening. It would have been very similar, no matter who was in power. Uh, the the Democrats did a good job of blaming it on Trump and helped them beat him. So, I mean, they props to them for for utilizing this to get him out of office. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think Trump would have won if there wasn't coronavirus? He would have won one hundred percent if he was. If there's no coronavirus, because uh, he was looking. The economy would have been better. He was looking blah, great. Blah, blah. He was looking great in January, and then uh, it all fell apart thanks to COVID. And and then it's, it still wasn't. A, what about George Floyd and all the BLM protests? That actually, I think that actually, I think that actually helped him because uh, people didn't like the way the Democrats were were treating the whole thing in the riots, and people d- didn't like that. So I think so it was strictly the virus. It was strictly the virus. Yeah, opinion. it was the virus and, and and everything, all the fallout from it, and and the economy, and all that 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 happened from it. So it was the virus. That was that was what did him in, and he still didn't lose by that much. He'd have done one more stimulus package. He, uh, I think he still Mnuchin loses anyway. Pelosi should have made a deal. Oh, well. I think he still loses that, anyway. That's, so that's... Uh, well, I think he might have won. He might have won with that. So. It would have been squeaking it out, possibly. Okay. Possibly. I can't guarantee it. But. Well, this, this has been... A, we've been on a very long time, and uh, we've been how on... Late, a, how late does this show go till? Well, the, well, I'll say one thing about Brandon. He's a night owl like you. He doesn't fall asleep on the show like that guy from New York. The guy from New York, is, he usually isn't on because we start too late for him. Oh, so he's not a co-host anymore? Uh, once in a while, but he's he, we usually start too late for him, so he's already asleep when we start. That's the problem. Yeah. Trader Ruski is... Uh, well, how he, many co-hosts are on this show? You, Trader, Trader Ruski is from California, so he'll he'll come on either when it starts and fall asleep, or, or he'll wake up like early, very, very early in the morning or in the middle of the night and come on then. I'm not a co-host. Oh, okay. I'm a special guest host. Yeah, yeah a Brandon's a special guest host. Yeah, I know. You haven't been on here most of the times I've been mm-hmm. on. Yeah, he's been on more. I asked, you know, I asked, I asked Todd about you privately. I go, "How's Brandon?" <laughs> oh, nice, thank you. Well, see, now you get well, to talk no, to him. I really do, don't I, Todd? Yeah, don't I? Yeah. So, Ken. By the way, Ken, is the guy from Wisconsin still on hold? No, no, he just he, he hung up and texted me. Thanks for having me on. We just okay, we nice just. Oh, okay, that's weird. Sorry, All right. So, Ken, I am going to touch base with you this weekend or early next week, and I'm going to get you Marissa's uh, contact info. So you guys yeah, I'd like to talk to her, but I'm not going to pay for her OnlyFans. I want to, I'd, I'd want to talk to her normally, you know. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean Todd can give you my email address. It's yeah, I, I will do. I will do that. Right. Okay, sounds good. Well, I'll say, Ken, I'm glad that that you, you sound good. Uh, I always wish only good things for you, Ken. So I'm glad you're doing better. Oh, that's better. great. You've never, you've never been a bully, you know. No, I've always liked you. What do you mean? How could you're I? You're like not? an Anton Yeltsin. You're harmless, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, so, I'm sorry, we never, we never he fully, was an actor. We never fully answered this, so I'll, I'll go back to you, Ken, and then we'll, we'll ask Todd. You, Ken, you were saying normally on Thanksgiving you go to a buffet, but this year obviously you won't. So what do you see yourself doing this Thursday? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, do you I cook? I don't know if I'll have any symptoms, like, Ken. I don't, are, are you, you, I don't know. How are you eating right now? I mean, are, do you have your taste still, or you lost that? with? The, I, I never lost my taste. I you know, like some frozen dinners and someone got me some stuff from the market and someone else got me a little stuff from Costco and okay. I'm just eating at home. And Todd, what about, never Todd, what about you? Do either you or I know you don't, but does your baby's mama, is she a good cook? Can she pull off a Thanksgiving for you guys? What are you all going to do? No, we're actually going to uh, have my parent. We, my parents are going to come here, and they're going to bring food. And uh, this is the one place my parents yeah, feel your safe. Yeah, parents come here during a pandemic. Well, because my parents feel safe to come here because they know the level of caution I use. So hold on. Are they okay. bringing food to cook, or are you all ordering out from a, a restaurant? No, right believe here? it or not, I, I'm going to uh, violate my usual caution for the takeout. They do takeout, but I, they're, they're actually less cautious than I am. But uh, they, they do takeout, and I don't, but I'm going to... Uh, allow it this time for Thanksgiving to not put the burden on people to cook. And uh, So you're going to get like an all-inclusive meal and bring it home and heat it up? I bet you, I bet you're going to do Brent's Deli. No, it's not Brent's Deli, but they're, they're, going to bring, they're going to bring a Thanksgiving meal here, and the only thing that's not going to be fully cooked is the turkey. That's going to be a partially cooked turkey that they're going to finish here. Yep, the same thing we're doing here. We already put in an order. We're going to pick it up like... Turkey, like 10 different sides. And yeah, that's, that, that, and right. That's what we're doing, yep. and, and, and I... By the way, I don't eat I don't eat turkey anymore. I'm pescatarian. <laughs> I will I will occasionally do some like if my parents are coming, then I'll do a takeout. I've even I've even almost broken down and gotten a takeout pizza, but I, I just can't bring myself to yet. It's Can uh, you break down and get your son in In and Out? He's been craving In and Out. No, I haven't broken down on that either. I know my, my son keeps asking me for In and Out, but. Uh, Maybe, maybe it, I know, I know. Maybe at some point I'll break down. I don't think there's a lot of danger with the takeout food. I just feel a little uncomfortable. Like, what if someone coughs on it or breathes on it or whatever? Like, then you eat it. It just kind of seems like you'd get it because, like, you, you'll get a cold that way. So I know this isn't a cold, but uh, well, I, I, you know, I do what we talked about months ago because I do the takeout because I can't cook. I mean, you know, it's not good. So when I order things, I nuke it. You know, twenty seconds, fifteen seconds. I mean, that's going to kill anything. No, no, I read about it. There's actually there's actually some belief that it's not, that it doesn't do it. Well, <laughs> I mean, you listen, order, you order like those food delivery, like DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats. I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I mean, when you I don't, don't have well, food you don't here. cook, so you're not going to use yeah. Instacart for like markets. So. No, I mean, I cook basic stuff, but if I want, you know, you know, a, a steak or some fish, I don't cook fish at home. I don't cook seafood at home. And I try to eat, no, you get you know, it from a restaurant. Yeah, right. I try to eat healthy. I try, you know, to eat a lot of fish and a lot of, you know, I can make salads here, pastas here, but I, I do eat a lot of seafood. I can't cook that stuff. So I, I, that's that's probably the, I don't know, I don't know how much of a risk that is ordering. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. That's why, I, that's why I don't do it. And every once in a while, if if it's just better to do that because my parents are coming or whatever, then I'll just I'll break down and say, okay, fine. And uh, yeah. and actually, when I go to Costco, I, I do also kind of violate a little bit for Costco because Costco has those chickens, and uh, so I I, let, yeah. I I do get the Costco chicken, but uh, it, so with it, the five dollar is it five? Yeah, well, it's a little bit marked up from Instacart, but yes, that uh, 
and then they, uh, but the, yeah, that sits there very hot inside of the container for a long time before it gets to me. So I, I, I think probably that's safe. But uh, yeah, how how how's the you gentlemen? How's your weight these days, Ken? Have, since all this has started until now, have you lost weight or gained weight? Oh, I think I said that on the show. I've lost probably about at least thirty. I've lost thirty pounds in the last couple of months, and I don't know. I haven't weighed myself in a couple of weeks since I got COVID, but I'm wow. sure I've lost more weight. Thirty Everyone's pounds. Everyone's saying I look thinner. Wow. What about you, Todd? What's what's your weight holding at these days? Uh, I've I've I lost a good deal. Not thirty, but I probably lost like sixteen uh, from between like March and the next. Uh, three months, and then uh, then it kind of stalled, and then it started to creep up again, and then uh, so I, I picked like a half of it back, and then it just dropped a few pounds back again for unknown reasons. What so. was your last weight? Like two nineteen. So, that's, oh, I'm that's... way less than you now. Okay, before well, I was way more than you. Well, no, before before the. Uh, and me and Todd are the same height. We're both six two. But but around the the time when the COVID started, I was like two thirty one. So I've gone down. Yeah. And I was disappointed because if you remember, I lost I lost thirty two pounds in in like a month or less than a month from from the super high metabolism okay. I had through the anxiety, and and then I kind of threw that weight loss away and and i gained back two-thirds of it and i was glad to see that uh, some of that that was one of the good things from COVID is it knocked off some of the weight just because i wasn't getting the fast food anymore and uh, i was also just eating less so it it uh, the problems I've, I've been eating like a lot of candy and stuff lately so it's 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 kind of brought wow, it back up when you were six two and 145 pounds well that's that's never going to happen again unless i get cancer or something yeah, well, I'm, I, remember, I remember when I first met you, you were like 6'2", and what did you weigh when I met you in January? When you met me, yeah, I, I think I was, prob- I was probably around 145 to 150. I was very skinny then. And you were 6'2". It was crazy. In fact, well, that, our first meeting involved who's, who's, who's taller. Yeah, well, you know, Ken, we can figure out the day. It was in late January. I could figure it out by looking at a calendar, but we're going to be at the 30-year anniversary of when we first met. Yeah, that was. I, I can figure it out because it was at the, it was the. I think it was January twenty fourth, something like that. It was. It was like the mid twenties in January on a Friday, and it was in that off that ride. Yeah, day. but it was a ninety one. So that girl that sat in the back seat and never went the way back. She wore the Letterman jacket. She was pretty. Yes, yeah, she was. But uh, I wonder. I wish she was. I was so sad she didn't come the way back. Well, do you think you think you'd like her today, thirty years later? No. Okay. If Ken, I married her like young, I'd still be with Ken, her. Ken, Ken, Ken only likes younger women. See, Ken and I, we, we have a disagreement there because I, I don't, I'm not uh, obsessed with the younger woman thing. Like, it's, I, I wouldn't, I don't like older, but like my age has always been fine. And uh, Ken, Ken is very big on the younger women thing. Yeah, legal though must be very legal, <laughs> very legal. But Ken, Ken doesn't like women who are 48 or 46 or anything like no. that. Even though it's still younger than him, he just is not into that. But the problem is, it gets harder. Well, I want to have biological children, so. Oh well, it's not just that though. It's not even just about children. You're right. If you want children, that that's not going to work. But uh, you, you know, a big mis—I don't want a Down thing either. You know, a big well, a big misconception is that women can have children through their mid to late forties and in their fifties, unless it's like yes, it can it can happen in rare cases. 
but for the most part, once you get to like 43, it's done. And uh, in fact, IVF clinics will refuse to use your own egg if you're 44 or older. They, if you're willing to pay. Oh, wow. Even if, you're, even if you say, I'm only going to do this and I'm only going to pay you. These are expensive. They make a lot of money. But they, uh, even if you say, I'm only going to do this if you uh, use my own egg and I'm 44, most of them will say no. Because the, the chance of it working is so low because most women by 44, their eggs have deteriorated to where they're not viable anymore. So they have eggs. They're just not good anymore. And uh, so that's so like for a woman, 47, 48, to get pregnant and carry the baby to term is very unlikely. First of all, very unlikely they'll get pregnant at all. And then if they do, it's almost always a miscarriage. And and also, if it's not a miscarriage, there's a pretty good chance it's going to be a Down syndrome or some kind of other problem. So, uh, but but the truth oh, is, God. the truth is, if if like if you have sex with a 48 year old woman, uh, the chance of you getting her pregnant is about zero. Yeah, and the, but I'm not attracted to them. Well, <laughs> you, you also have to consider who's attracted to you. That's the other problem. I understand, but <laughs> so um, that. See, I, I wasn't attracted to, to women of that age when I was younger, but but now once I got older myself, then it, it changes. In fact, well, I get. In fact, I've gotten less, much less attracted to women under twenty-five. That's your choice. That's just what's happened. I, I really, they, they just kind of look so young. They look like kids to me, and I, I, I don't have that much well, of an attraction to women of that age. Even, anymore. even, 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 even the poor man settled for someone younger but age appropriate. Yeah. So you know. Well, it might be time for you to do that. So, okay, we're we're going to shut this down here. I hope you guys got your dose of Ken Scaler. He sounds healthy. You couldn't tell he has COVID from listening to him. Though it's, it's been a long time. It's, you got this. I'm on, in, I, I've I've had it for over. I mean, I was diagnosed a little a week and a half ago, but I've probably had it for over two weeks. Well, yeah, he got symptoms on November second, so it's it's been in the morning, November second, so it's been nineteen days. So that's that's a long time. I was about to ask Todd. I didn't know you had the radio show going on now. When when do you think I should go get tested again to see that I'm negative and also about the antibodies. Well, like no, I can tell you, you, you should do this when, when these symptoms go away. Like what? When I'm never coughing again? I'm always going to cough. No, when, when you feel yeah. like, you're, you basically you feel like you're better. I don't mean you don't cough one time in the day. I'm saying that if you, once you feel like you... I'm like, getting, I feel like I'm getting close to that. Well, okay. When you feel like you're, you're actually better to where you can, uh, uh, to where you just aren't sick anymore and you can go normally without coughing and, and all that, then you can get it. Uh, you can go get the test again, and I mean, you could get it now, but uh, I, I still think you have. I don't know how the test will show, but I think still think that you have it at the moment because of uh, you have enough symptoms. I was thinking maybe like Monday or Tuesday, like maybe. After I don't know about day. that. We'll, we'll have to see where this goes. You, you, you can. There's no harm. Oh, okay. If you want, you can do it. I can set one up because it's uh, it's free, but it's I, I don't right, well, I, I don't think you're better yet. Like I, I I would not be comfortable seeing you right now. I actually told Ken I can at least I can see him when he's better from this. But right now, I would not feel comfortable seeing him because I still think he. But you can get COVID a second time, especially if it mutates. Antibodies uh, can disappear after four. Oh yeah, yeah. Months. But I'm, I know. But in, in the mo- for the for, for a while here, I, I feel you're safe to see once the symptoms are gone, and then uh, then you also have to see if your lungs are okay. You have to see if you can walk around without being tired. Which uh, what, what about right now? Like, well, you... I don't know that yet. I hope. Oh God, I hope that's not. Enough. Well, right now, if you try to I walk do around, do you, do you do you get winded? Do you feel tired or no? I don't really walk around that much. I'm mostly just laying down. I okay. don't even try. You know? Well, you have to wait till you're better to determine this. It could just be fatigue from still having it. So I just don't want the permanent lung damage. I also keep hearing the brain changes. I keep. Hearing I don't think you're going to get the brain changes. But you're, no, because you're not. You're not experiencing anything like this. I you, people start 
just notice things that aren't working. If, if everything with your brain is normal, which it sounds like it is from this conversation, then uh, you're, that's probably not going to happen. The lung thing, you're just going to have to wait. But also the enlarged heart's another thing. You could have an enlarged heart. And the, the most likely thing, to ha- if you're going to get one, the most likely thing is the lung damage, and that, that does happen to a number of people who are around your age. And you're just going to have to wait yeah, till you're better. One guy used to run ten miles a day, and now he can't even go one mile. Or yeah. Something. So that, that's happened to a lot of. I, I know several now people. What does this, this happen to reading that a certain percentage of people after this virus will develop mental illness from this? Have you read this? Yeah, you, like one out of three, one out of four yeah, will get a mental insane. illness. Like a Todd, month have you known about this? Um, I, I I haven't seen the that new much. Study from Harvard released last week that said. One out of I thought it was, I read one out of five, but whatever it is, it's, it's a high percentage will develop a form of mental illness. Due now to it could the, be mild. There is a continuum. It could be yes, very mild. But that's still. correct. But some of them won't. Some of the conditions won't be mild. That they'll be severe. That's insane. Well, I'm hoping I don't have a, a mental illness beside what I already have. But the question is, will, will you see signs of this, like while it's happening or towards the end of it, or like I, it's hard for me to believe that someone will exit this. Where the symptoms go away and they feel completely fine, and then three months later, bang, they've got mental illness. I, to me, this looks more likely they would be like a PTSD sort of thing, where where a bad experience with it can kind of stick with you, and then you and then it, it creates a mental illness that you'll never quite get rid of. Uh, I I can speak to this because, uh, of course, I didn't have COVID, but what happened to me two years ago caused some permanent psychological damage, which I can live with, but it's 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 not it's never going to be completely gone. And, uh, so, so, but, you know, could you say I have mental illness? No, no, not really, because it's, it's, it's such a mild version that it doesn't hinder day-to-day life. So, um, you know, sometimes I'll be lying in bed and I'll start feeling it and we're things like that, but, but it's, uh, it's, it's not hindering day-to-day life for the most part. And, uh, so it could be something like that that people get, like kind of a PTSD type thing, uh, or, or some but I would think this might be damage that they would feel. I'd have to read about it. This is my guess that they would feel as it's happening, not like you're fine and just bang one day you wake up and there's mental illness three three months later. Uh, and it could be. I'd have to read about what is if they even have a theory of what's causing it. I I, I also do know that if the brain chemistry gets thrown off, they can really screw you up. And that's what happened to me. My brain. See, I didn't have it from anything bad that happened to me, like like I didn't in my life. I didn't have depressing events occur. Nothing like that occurred. It was totally normal, as far as the events in my life. Now, other than a certain chemistry per- of your brain. Other than a certain person on the forum uh, faking his death, but aside from that, uh, no no events oh. were happening were happening in my life. Yeah, that that happened on Poker Fraud Alert, but uh, that that had nothing to do with this happening though. A- anyway. Uh, when, when my brain chemistry got thrown off from a physical cause, that's what caused the massive deterioration of uh, my perception of things and, and of, of my mental health. And once I was able to restore that brain chemistry to what it was before, uh, other than the permanent damage that going through this caused me, it basically put me back to normal. So I'm wondering if there's something with COVID that maybe throws off the brain chemistry, but I would I would really think this would be something you would feel as it's happening or well, right. You still have it. I have I have a little bit, 
left of it, but this is not, it's not a brain chemistry thing. It's more of a, it's kind of like a. I'm saying you would feel, you'd start feeling it while someone still has COVID. That's what I would think. That sounds like the the Harvard article sounds like a few months later, people start getting the mental illness. It is possible that there's some weird thing going on where there's something that, that it lingers in your body, the COVID, and then at some point throws off your brain chemistry. And if that happens, then, uh, then yes, you're going to start having issues, and and it's really weird. I I always thought that as long as you can rationally think things through, as long as you you can, uh, as long as you're just uh, like totally nuts and you can just rationally evaluate things, that there's no way you could have mental illness. I, I learned that that wasn't true firsthand. Well, because, you can get depressed though. Because what my what I can describe to people, and maybe there's something similar here going on, is that the I could rationally think of everything, but then my emotional reactions to it, the way my brain determines its emotions was completely off, completely messed up and uh, in, in so many different ways. And it, it was, there, there was no way the two weren't connected. It was, it was no, I, I could think rationally, but my emotions were not connected to that anymore. And, uh, and that's the best way to describe it. And there's no no way I could take control of it either. There was no way I could just override it. And and uh, so it felt very helpless that this was just uh, this really had control over me. And while I wasn't acting crazy, I wasn't uh, a danger to anybody or to myself, and I didn't want to kill myself or nothing like that. Uh, I really had no control over my kind of like feelings or emotional perception to anything. And uh, that's the best way to describe. And then an incredible feeling of stress constantly even though i couldn't explain it like a very 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 intense feeling of stress on my brain 24 7 and that's what burned off all the weight all the weight by the way so uh that so yes if 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 your brain chemistry gets messed up by some physical cause then then yes you can start having you can start having mental illness problems and that maybe this is an after effect that happens months later however i haven't heard of this happening like the one in four one in five surprises me because i'm not hearing about I got a lot of press. I got a lot of publicity. That's a big. That sounds like a really big deal. As I'm telling you, of the people I've talked to who have had the uh, had COVID, none of them have reported this to me. What they've all, the, the, but I've I've spoken to a lot of people who have had after effects that are physical, where either either fatigued or they have lung damage to where the lung damage is anything slightly. Uh, active anything that requires any kind of physical activity even like going up the stairs sometimes like anything they suddenly get very tired like like they just did something very difficult and then as far as exercising forget about that like like they try to exercise and if they were used to exercising a lot before they try now they get so tired so quickly they like they barely do it so sitting on a chair they're not going to feel like they can't breathe walking around the house they'll probably be okay but like anything beyond that they start having problems like things become incredibly hard that used to be easy. So that's I've heard about a lot from people who have had uh, COVID, especially middle-aged people, and that's what I'm most fearful of because that seems to be the most common after effect of COVID of people my age. Uh, but but uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you don't get that. I think all these other things seem at least at least in my observation, I haven't seen anyone else with any anything that has occurred like this other than. Two people in their fifties, one who was fifty and one who was like uh, uh, like fifty three, who I kind of loosely knew but wasn't friends with, that that died of COVID, that I kind of like knew from Facebook, 
but I don't. I didn't even know them well enough to know if they had any kind of pre-existing they have conditions. Pre-existing conditions? No, I see. I didn't even know them well enough. I just, I like. I, these are people I talked to, kind of like in a group setting on Facebook a lot, but never got to know too well. And then, and then they died. Almost fifty. That's my age. Yeah, I know, but but I didn't know enough about them to know if there was other factors involved. Pre-existing conditions. Yeah. But. Uh, he also might have been really overweight. Was he overweight? No, no, neither the two of them. Neither neither of them were overweight, but they may have had other conditions I didn't know about. So okay. I, I don't I can't speak about well, those. Because like, I'm still surprised that Chris Christie survived it. Well, he he apparently had a hard time with it though. He had a pretty major case, I mean, but you're not not only is he in his sixties, he is so fat. Yeah, you know, I know. He had, he had a pretty I major case. I picture of sweating and having trouble breathing. I, I'm just shocked he survived it. Herman Cain didn't survive it, but Chris Christie did. Or Herman Cain was like in his mid seventies. Yeah, he was much older. It's it's definitely much. I went over this on the last show, and uh, if, if really the uh, the old the sixty five and up age group, they're comprising like uh, like three quarters of the deaths, and then uh, and and yet they're a smaller population because especially seven seventy five and up, that's a much smaller population segment because uh, a lot of them are dead anyway. So that's uh, yeah. so it's really that, that the death is mainly happening to those groups, and under thirty five, it's almost not happening at all. And under twenty five, it's you know there's fewer than five hundred people in the country under twenty five who died of this. Yeah, I know, but and they might have pre existing. They almost all have pre existing conditions. So that's uh, so under twenty five, you really and, and very few of them have, seem to have permanent damage under twenty five. So why people, that's why these kids are still going to college parties because oh, it's just going to be I'm not going to feel it, but then they can give it to their their parents and. Yeah. grandparents, but they don't think about that, you know. Yeah. So anyway, I, I as far I, I wouldn't worry Ken too much about uh, all these other things. Uh, the and mental health, I, large part, and the I wouldn't I I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. These are all possibilities, but the real thing that you and should the psychological thing. The only thing you should really be concerned of that's like a decent possibility is the lung damage, but the fact that you didn't have breathing problems makes it less likely you're going to get it. So. You'll just have to see I when uh, you'll just have to see when this is better. If you can do your walking like you were doing before, and if if you can, you do a ton of walking. If if you can, if you can come back and do the walking and don't get winded uh, more than you did before, then you're fine. I hope so, but who knows? Yeah, well, hopefully that, that's I don't know. now you see why I'm putting so much effort to avoid it. I I don't want that any of that crap. So and, and I, I, I I I'll tell you though, I was a little worried that it could bring back on. The condition I had two two years ago. That's another concern I have that others don't, but that I just oh, about. Oh, if you get COVID, you'll get what happened two years ago to yes, that, racing back. Yes, that I could bring it back. Yeah. So I after. Oh no, that'd be horrible. Yeah, that's another fear I have of it. So I really just uh, don't want that. That happening. would be a radio Hindenburg. Yeah, that would be awful. So, and I, and I also yeah. if it, if it were to bring it back, I'm not sure if I could get rid of it again like I did this time. So. We'll see. Anyway, okay, well, this has been on forever here. Very, yeah, i got to get going, guys. I, gotta I, I have to get going also. So for those of you who are yeah, listening. i got to get going, too. Okay. Brandon, it was good talking to you. Hey, I'll have Todd give my email address to you, and I wanna, I'd want i love to talk to that girl again, but Ken, I'm not going to pay for our OnlyFans. Ken, let me ask you. I, I got you. <laughs> let me ask you. I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, violate a privacy thing here, but I see your phone number on the Skype here. Is that a... Uh, is that a cell phone or a home phone? It's that a cell you're phone. Using now, it's a cell. Okay. It's well, a cell. Ken, can I text you when 
we're off the show and have you just text me back uh, your email, then I, we don't even have to go through Druff. Yeah. Uh, too invasive. Oh, oh, go through Druff. It's so fun. <laughs> okay, he'd rather you I mean, go through me your, for some I reason. I have your number right here. I know. Okay. I know. I see. That's, that's but I don't weird. want to bother. I'm too tired of text right now. I'm going to go to bed right after. Well, just, the, okay. Right. I'll, I'll just, I'll just uh, yeah, send it to you. Fine. Okay, well, well, thank you guys for coming on. You know what? People always enjoy. I, I, I asked some listeners what how they feel about sometimes these long conversations at the end of the show, and uh, and people like it. People enjoy just kind of the banter for the last. They don't few. think it's meandering and just dead air. Well, if they if they do, they can turn it off. See, there's no there's no nothing more oh, on the that's agenda. True, yeah, it's America. Yeah. yeah. Hey, can you all believe? Not next week, but the week after when we do a show again. It's going to be in the middle or the beginning of NBA training camp already. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It just ended. It's going to restart. Uh, Can you imagine the rash of injuries that especially the players? This is going to be bad. This is going to be a terrible season because how do you? Oh, I, mean, I heard Dwight Howard left the Lakers. I yeah, he went to that. Philly. Yeah, he went to Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm sure but, but you all just signed uh, a really, really, really good player yesterday, Todd. Did you see who you all picked up? No, I actually didn't see that. Who they get? He picked up from the Clippers of all teams, Montreal Harris, oh. who is a really, really good two-way player. Um, and he left the Clippers. I think he got like $18 million for two years. And you all got uh, the point guard from uh, from OKC, Dennis Schroeder, who's a definite upgrade from Rondo at this point. Yeah, he is. He's got a young, young – I mean – if anything, I and think he doesn't those... have COVID like Justin Turner. Well, what's what, you know what's what's too bad is that uh, I, I've I, the NBA mostly drove me away though with the, with the obnoxious in your face messaging. I just uh, me too. I like me the, too. like baseball. That God, it, it's a black league. They're not going to support Republicans. I don't. I don't care who they support. I just don't want this obnoxious in your face messaging. They can I vote agree. for who they want. I don't care about yeah. that. I agree. Okay, because you know that, that demographic, even if they're wealthy. Does not like conservative. They don't have to. I don't care who they vote for. That doesn't bother. I don't care what their politics are. They they can they they can support whatever things they want. I just don't want the in your face uh, stuff going on. And the, baseball, they did it at the very beginning and then dropped it. And that's uh, so that didn't drive me away. And uh, I'll isn't take LeBron. Isn't LeBron James big on that in your face on yes. social causes and on the yeah? He's 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 super big... into that, which which is unfortunate because. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a social a, justice warrior. It's, it's unfortunate because LeBron James is one of the all-time great NBA players, and especially to maintain the level of play he's been able to do with, at, at his age is amazing. But uh, he, he's become he's, – he's always been unlikable, and now this makes him more unlikable. And I, I know he thinks since he, he grew up poor and he, he wants to kind of relate back to the community where he came from, you can do all that, though, without the – Obnoxious in your face messaging, and there's a lot of hypocrisy I with how they're just trying to be true to himself. Well, the, the other problem is they're very they're hypocritical because of of China. They're 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 too supportive of China, and they're afraid to say anything bad about China, which is is a horrendous uh, human rights violations and all kinds there's of other no bad NBA things. team in China. No, but they 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 work with China, and they're they're very supportive, and they'll never say a bad thing about them. They'll bash the U.S., but they'll never bash China because they want to kiss ass to China. Which, given the way China behaves. Towards both the U.S. and its own citizens, there's there's a lot to hate about China. So Are anyway, those college players from UCLA, like they played basketball in China and they were stealing stuff and they had to get bailed out or something. No, I, was I, that ball kid? And, oh really? Huh? No. When was this? It's like a few years ago. Oh, oh I think even recently. No, I I thought, I thought okay, I thought you meant something that just happened. Okay, so no, it was like that one Lamola ball and. 
Yeah, yeah. UCLA play. It was all over the news. No, I know, I know. I remember it was a while ago. But uh, I think Trump helped get him out, and they didn't even thank him. Or yeah, something. that's right. That's right. He got. He thought they weren't appreciative enough. That's right. Well, yeah. well. Okay. Anyway, we're we're going to be done here. So thank you guys for coming on, and uh, we're, we will. Well, thank you. So is the whole show over? Just yeah, no, the whole show. So I've been on since like ten something. I've been on forever. You've been on the air for nine hours. Uh, like eight and a half, yeah. Eight hours, yeah. Like, like eight hours and forty-five wow. minutes. Or so, yeah. You now you're getting overtime. I wish I, I'm getting. Yeah, I'm getting. Uh, I'm getting a hundred times pay right now. Hundred times zero. Exactly. The, the only the only income I have from this show is that there's a uh, there's a banner from Amazon. I think it's not appearing for mobile logins for some reason for some people. I got to look into that. But there's a banner at Amazon that when people click, I, I get money if they order something. I don't get to see who they are. I only see what was ordered, and uh, and I get some percentage. But uh, that's it. Now, listen. Last question, and we'll, we'll go here. Ken, if both options were presented to you on Thanksgiving Day, would you take apple pie or pumpkin pie? You can only have one. Pumpkin. All right, Druff. Oh, that's a tough one. Because I, there's a lot of Druff, people. Druff, Druff, text in my email address. I, I, I will do that. But Druff, why is it a tough one? Because I like, I actually like both a lot, and uh, it actually might depend. It's a very tough choice because I really like both. There's some people who don't like pumpkin pie. There's some people who like apple pie. I actually like both a lot, and uh, I think okay, it would so depend it's, upon it's, which it's, one. It's I probably it's get pumpkin. It's pumpkin pie with homemade sweet cream on top, or it's apple pie with. Alamode vanilla ice cream. So, and they're both made by like Wolfgang Puck or some amazing <laughs> pastry chef. So they're both of the high. I, I'd have to, I'd have to pick the whatever I hadn't had more recently. So in this case, would it be on Thursday? It, in this case, it would have to be uh, apple pie. It's been a while since I had that. And you've had pumpkin pie recently? I I got the, a Costco uh, apple uh, uh, pumpkin Wolf, pie. Which Wolfgang pie? Wolfgang Puck would be sick to his stomach hearing. He would Costco he would be. Pie. But but I it, wow. it was still a pumpkin pie. So. Yep. Wow, right, Ken? Wow. <laughs> oh, sorry. You guys are funny. All right, listen, this has been a treat. We should, Ken, what, right, what time Tom, are you Give her my information. She'll pass it to the girl uh, in Long Beach. What time are you normally awake when you're not with the COVID? What are your normal hours of being around? 9 a.m., 10 a.m., I don't know, normal. Uh, well, no, because I'd like to have you back on this. This was very good banner, the three of us. Okay, well, that- I'll be back on. I'll be back mm-hmm. on randomly. I never plan it. It just kind of happens. Okay. Maybe we'll add Trader Ruski to the mix uh, since Ken has Ken has never talked to him. Uh, talk. I think he has. He just doesn't remember him. It's hard to believe I he would. I remember the guy from New York. I remember the guy from upstate New York. No, it's not, it's not him. Guy. He has a squeaky voice. He's like the nicest guy in the world. He, Yo, buddy. Talks like that. Oh, I think I might have talked to him. Yeah, okay. Yo, but he didn't leave an impression on me one way or the other. He kind of no, didn't really say that's much. Not good. All right. <laughs> He's going to be sad well, to listen. hear that. He listens to every show. He's going to hear this later. Okay, I'm okay. I just don't remember. He's going to say, I didn't leave an impression. He's no, gonna... no, I'm just saying it's like Switzerland. I'm just neutral. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, by the way, Ken, uh, before we go here, I, I, you'll be glad to know I... I Swiss Miss Girl a Club Bang? Yeah. That's so weird. I, yeah, it's, now that you brought this up, Ken, there, there's actually a girl who... who <laughs> I don't... There's a girl who looked like Swiss Miss, 
at a club that Ken took me to. I hardly ever went to any clubs, but Ken took me to some club, and there was a the, the girl that Ken, Ken pointed out she looked like Swiss Miss, and she really did. So when she walked by, I said, oh, it's Swiss Miss, and she got so pissed. She got in my face, and she said she, she wanted to fight me. I was like, what the hell? This is some like little blonde girl. She wants to, like, what am I going to say? Yes, let's go outside and scrap? Like, what the hell? I was like, uh, she was really furious about that I called her Swiss Miss. Maybe people had you before. You been told that before by other people? Maybe. She was super sensitive about the Swiss Miss thing. What did she think I'm going to say back? I'm like wanting to fight me. Like I'm going to go out. And, okay, I'm going to go fight with some small blonde girl outside. Let's let's go take it out. And there was another girl there. Who looked like a cat. <laughs> and uh, here's Remember the that? yeah. Here's the other thing I wanted to say, Ken. I, I told Benjamin a story recently about about all the game shows that both of us attended to. We're not going to tell the story again here, but all the game shows that we attempted to get on and were selected for, but never appeared on, and that whole thing. And uh, I told. Benjamin, the whole story, he had never heard all this before. He was very fascinated by it. I, I even... Yeah, we tried out for, uh, we tried out for Love Connection, like, in 1990. No, but that, no, that was, that was just along with you and I was just screwing around. But I'm talking about, like, <laughs> later on in, uh, in, in oh, the 2000s. With the, oh, with the porn star, yeah. Yeah, the, the, like, we, we could have, uh, like, we were actually selected and, and, and I even showed him the, the, the opening to Married by America, which I was offered to be on and I turned down and I, I told him the whole thing. And he, he's like, he couldn't even understand why I would have even like why anyone would consider being on Married by America. He said, "What the the audience chooses who you marry? Why would anyone do that?" He wasn't even understand. I said, "That's exactly why I didn't appear on there." Well, he's like Generation Z, so you know. Is he even Generation Z? I think he's the yeah, the tail end of Generation, oh, the generation. Z. The okay. tail end. Yeah, no, he he doesn't he didn't understand any of that of why, but he thought the story was was interesting. He he keeps wanting to hear old stories from from me in the uh, in, in the past, so I've been telling him them. As, as long as they are not, uh, it doesn't involve anything sexual or anything like that. I can't tell him that stuff. Oh yeah, he doesn't know that exists yet. But but, uh, but anything that that doesn't contain inappropriate material that he wants to hear, I'll, I'll tell him. I also watch out that I don't say anything that like 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 that he's going to want to imitate and uh, stuff. I don't want him to do that. I may have done. So anyway, yeah, I totally forgot about the Swiss Miss girl. Right? Like, <laughs> I haven't thought of her in a very long time. That, that you was, think the lawyer's still listening, or do you think he fell asleep? I, I don't know. He's he's you know he's got COVID like you do, but he's got it worse because he hasn't had yeah. it for three weeks. Who's this? The, the, the Eric Benzamoke. I'm at the very tail end. Uh, can so. we call him by his right name, please? I'm trying to do the Ben Samakan, and you say Benzamokin. Can we? It, you, it's hard. It's hard to make the adjustment. It's hard to make an adjustment. I'm just. I did it, Ben Samakan. It's just it's just hard. Huh? Oh, you're used to his real name because he's actually helping you in a case. So when he talks Ken, to the lawyer, Ken, for yeah. a number of years, every time Todd said his last name, he pronounced it wrong. He would call him Eric Benzamokin when his real name is pronounced Eric Bensamakon. So Todd did not know he had been saying his last name wrong for a number of years. Eric, oh, for wow. whatever reason, I don't understand this. Only recently, after years and years of listening to it mispronounced and being the only sponsor on this their fraud show, told Todd that his name was being pronounced wrong. No, no, he, no, no. It wasn't even like that. It was that he didn't want to tell me at all. It was that I, I, I said I announced that I was one of his clients, and then he says, "Yes, you are a client now of the Basamakan Law Firm." I go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on a second. What do you mean, Basamakan? You're saying I've been saying your name wrong all this time?" And then he said, "Yes," but oh, he didn't. Wow. Want, but he said he didn't want to, He didn't want to. Uh, uh, he, he didn't want to correct me. <laughs> I was like, okay. I well, think could, Ben Somicon should attend Comic-Con. <laughs> he, he might have. I don't have to ask him if he's attended Comic-Con. 
He might have. Well, just because it rhymes. Not because I, I, I have no interest in comics, but, you know. <laughs> I, I think it's got, you know, I've never been there, uh, but uh, any desire I would have had to go uh, has long gone away because it's gotten too big. It's like it's, it's gotten too big, and everyone just goes there to uh, pat themselves on the back. Oh, I'm such a geek. Oh, I, 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 I appreciate... Uh, uh, things from geek culture, like all all everyone wants, one wants to do is uh, kind of like pat themselves on the back for being a geek. It's stupid. It's like it's. It, it, I, I would find it very off putting. It, it feels well, too. They go there to cosplay and to go to panels. Well, that's that's all. That's all part of it. Like it's all part of it. Like I find all Ryan that stuff annoying. Reynolds or whoever's there. I find know. all of that stuff very annoying, I, and I find it. And I find it's very off putting. It is. It's off putting. It's annoying. There's a lot of pandering it's going very on. Sweet. Yeah, I just I just can't get into that sort of thing. It's it feels too unnatural yeah. to me, and and I don't have that much of an interest in a lot of that stuff anyway. But even if I, I I have kind of like a mild interest in some of it, but but not enough to like I've never thought any time in like any time recently or even semi recently. Oh, I want to go. I never even had an intense thought, desire to go there ever. But if if I would have my gone, it would have been a long time. I've never my biggest event that I've never gone to, and it's forever too late is. Hot seat with Wally George. Yeah, that I wish I that I wish I went to. That I wish I went to. Oh, that would have been amazing. That would have just been like, oh, to be in the audience for that. Yeah. That, oh God, that would have been incredible. Yeah. Back in those days, like like the, the current me wouldn't have fit in very well there. I would have been way too old. But but for the but like back in those days, no, I, but we I would, would have totally. Fit no, we would have fit in in those days. Have... You know, we were, we were the right age then. So okay, Th- thank you for coming on, guys. I'm we're gonna shut this down. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. Uh, Thank, thank you, Brandon, and, and Todd. Pass me my information. I want to. I, I will. Do, I will do that. Goal. I will do that. Okay. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Now, but now, but Ken, right. I do good, have your good number. Good morning, here. Ken. I do have your number here, but you don't want me to ever use it. Is that kind of what you're saying? <laughs> well, I'm about to go to bed. I don't want to. Well, think no, about I wouldn't be right now. But I'm just saying, like, say on a Wednesday afternoon, if I got nothing. Yeah, going that's on. fine. Go ahead. Oh, that's okay. fine. Okay, so I'm you can text. You, you have permission to text Ken. That's good. That's what I want. Like it's a Wednesday, and I'm like, I want to shoot. I thought you were gonna do it right now, and it's like, no, I'm not we don't ever do about, that. I mean, we have an unwritten rule, Ken. After radio hangs up, we don't communicate for at least twelve hours. We've been doing this for about oh, eight years. Okay. We don't no text, okay. no Twitter, no 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 Instagram, no nothing, no TikTok, nothing. Twelve hours. And so Snapchat, now which Todd up, doesn't understand. Yeah, so I wouldn't hear from Todd till at least seven thirty because it's an unwritten rule. We don't just don't do you that. like go to bed really late and wake up really well, late? Well, well, well no, Brandon just got up. For, for me, it's easy to adhere to because I just go to sleep shortly after this, and then I can no, sleep. Ken, I went it. to bed at nine thirty last night, and then when I called in this morning, I I just woken up. Okay. Oh, you're up. I'm on for a, a different while. schedule okay. now. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been up for about two hours, three hours maybe. I don't know. Okay, I thought you were like a, like Mister Night Owl. I used to be, I but the the virus that kind of changed things so. I'm waking up early so now. Now you go to bed at a normal time and wake up in the morning. I do, Ken. I do. I wow, because Todd can't do that. And either, well, his son has trouble going to bed early too. So no, he got that from his father. It's in the genes. So yeah, I know that he's going to have that forever. <laughs> well, listen, uh, mother's not thrilled about that. Folks, have a great Thanksgiving, all of you. And, all right, happy tea giving. Yep, yeah, and we'll do this again real soon. There, all right. You want to cue All the music? Right, okay, tell us? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna finish off here. You may not be able to hear me over the music because of Skype's limitations, but I've never heard the music to this show, so I'm gonna listen to the music. Can you hear it, Ken? I guess he can't even hear it. Okay. I hear it. Oh, I, Brandon can hear. It. I don't think it I goes can't to Ken. Hear you. Yeah. 
Well, nobody can hear me except for you know, all, all the listeners. All the listeners can hear me. And we're going to be back. Um, you know, we're, we're going to just do it. We're going to do it the day after Thanksgiving. Black Friday. The actual Black Friday. Not the poker Black Friday, but the, actu- the, the actual Black Friday. Such ahead of its time. See, Brandon's talking over me, so he doesn't know that I'm talking. But anyway... Black Friday, we're gonna have it. We're gonna have the show on. We're gonna have the show on uh, Friday, November twenty seventh. And normal time nine whatever nine something at night. Yes, rest in peace, Alex Trebek, as he's saying. And he was the goat Canadian. He had good health care. I guess it wasn't good enough. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I, I think I'm free that day. I'm definitely not going to any stores on, on Black Friday. Watch out for the Black Friday sales, because a lot of the Black Friday sales are fake. A lot of them are actually, the stuff's more expensive than it actually is normally. Or it's, or it's equal. So be careful. And, uh, see, I, I, there's not much I can say. I'm being distracted by all the talking behind me, so... Brandon doesn't know what I'm saying, so he's just trying to mutter things in the background. And uh, Ken is occasionally piping up, too. So I can't say anything too profound here. Just just come back next week. We will have a show on Friday. And we should have the Friday after that, after that, after that. And uh, who knows? One of these days we're going to have our, our video show again in December before 2020 is over. Remember, we have a, a new chat room. So next time you can go in. and You can even go in afterwards and see what people said. You can scroll back. You scroll back somewhat. I put that feature in, too. Okay, that is all for this morning. It'll be archived later tonight. Don't expect it right away. I'm sick of this show for now. Good night. Good morning. And shalom. Peace out.